Welcome to the, can't believe I'm saying this, but 200th episode of X-Lapsed. It's a, uh, it's a biggie. Uh, we got a long show today, so I will try not to waste too much more of your time with an introduction here. But since this is such a long episode, and um, I wouldn't blame people if they couldn't make it all the way through it, at least not in one, you know, 12 or so hours sitting... I want to make sure that I begin by thanking everybody for uh, all of their support and joining me in this uh, silly little journey uh, to reacquaint myself with these books that I I loved so much uh, for most of my life at this point. It's been, you know, over 30 years of ex-fandom here, and uh, uh, as you know, this whole project stemmed from uh, a brief time, uh, relatively speaking, where I stepped away from the X-Books around uh, 2017 or so. Came back a couple years later. Felt like I missed many, many, many years in just those two years. So, been doing my best to uh, get unexlapsed here, and here we are, two hundred episodes in, two hundred comics discussed, uh, all from the current post-Hoxpox era. And again, I can't uh, stress enough just what it means to me that there are folks on this uh, journey with me here, uh, contributing to the show, sharing their thoughts, uh, challenging me with theories. It's it's really made something that I thought was just going to be a little, you know, a 12-episode thing where I talk about Hoxpox and then just put it back in the drawer and... Maybe if I decided to follow up on the X-Books in a year or several months later, I'd I'd do that. But uh, it became something more than that to me. Um, It became part of my daily life here. Uh, I'm to the point where I, you know, set an alarm for when it's still dark out so I can get scripts done before real life begins and getting a show out, you know, every single day going on almost, I mean, we're three months shy of a year of, uh, of daily shows here at the channel, so... Like I say, that and a couple bucks will get me a cup of coffee at a gas station, but hey, it's something I can say I did. Uh, What's going to follow here is a discussion of a book that we were supposed to talk about way back in episode 112. This was going to be the second part of our X of Tens uh, coverage here, the X of Swords handbook. And I figured, since this is, you know, dry, (laughs) it's basically... A recitation of bits and pieces of Wikipedia-type stuff, only without the citations. And uh, I will mention the fact that there are no citations in this thing a lot during this episode. So uh, I guess consider yourself warned. I'm going to repeat myself a whole bunch. Um, It's just, you know, the way this thing works is we've got segments. We have different hosts for each segment. We've got uh, 12 segments, 12 entries in this handbook. And I figured... 
you know, who would want to listen to just me for all these hours? And I figured, nobody. Who would want to do that? So brought in some folks, some friends, uh, some new friends, some old friends, just a great group of folks who I can't thank enough. Uh, When I sold this to them, I said, yeah, you know, we're just going to take a look at one of the entries in this this handbook and, uh, you know, maybe set aside 10 to 15 minutes. You know, I'm figuring, you know, how long are we going to talk about brew, right? (laughs) What is there to say about brew? He's got two pages in this thing. It's going to be a pretty quick little bullet point talk. But, well, uh, turns out that I cannot read a clock, much less a calendar. So these segments went quite a bit longer than 10 to 15 minutes. So thank you to everybody who took part for... uh, for hanging out with me. It was a a lot of fun. Uh, These are going to be very tangential. Um, We're going to talk about different bits of X history. We're going to talk about things that stood out to each of us uh, along some of these characters' arcs. Uh, We're going to even go into things that uh, are going to be a little bit off the beaten path here. Uh, There's a segment later on where we go into discussing the movies, and you guys know how much I love the movies, right? I, I've never seen one. So it's a, you know, it's it's some fun information here. It takes it into some places where this show doesn't usually go. So uh, I guess uh, sit tight. I'm going to do my best to um, timestamp each of these segments here in case, you know, in case maybe you don't care about a certain character or you do care about a certain character, you'll be able to find out where to go or find out where you left off if you uh, decide you want to take you know, a week and a half, two weeks to get through this uh, absolute beast of an episode. Now, one last time, thank you to everyone who's listened, who's shared, who's reached out, who's been a part of this. I really can't put into words what it means to me. It really, it just, it makes my day uh, each and every day, and it makes it a little bit easier to step up to the microphone every day where... You know, some days it's a chore, some days it's not a chore. That's just That just comes with any, you know, hobby or endeavor. But uh, knowing that there are folks out there who who enjoy this really, really makes it uh, all that more worthwhile. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to I'm going to stop right there because <laughs> uh, we got a long way ahead of us here. Let me introduce the book and then I will send it over to our first segment here. This is, of course, the X of Swords handbook. Number one had a November 2020 cover date. Head writers and coordinators are Mike O'Sullivan and Carl Farmer. Writers, Anthony Cotoletta, Patrick C. Duke, Darren Jensen, Luke Kirsten, Rob London, Chris McGava, and Stuart Vandal. Designs, Tom Muller, Rodolfo Mataguchi, and Jay Bowen. Head of X, of course, is Hickman. Edits, Brian Overton, Maya Loy, Lisa Mantelbano, and C.B. Sabolski. with many, many special thanks here. Let me see if I can get through this without butchering too many of these names. Trisha Albano, Tobia Brunello, Chris Buckner, Tom Brevoort, Sean Keebler Byers, Ronald Byrd, Russ Chapel, Jeff Christensen, Katie Santa Anna Farmer, Mike Fischera, Antonio Gavino, Gerard McMenemy, Roger Ott, Jacques Port, Marcus Raymond, Mark Reimer, or Reimer, Jacob Rougeman, uh, Al Shorge. I'm sorry, Al. Uh, George, Nick Smiles, Jordan D. White, Douglas Walk, uh, Jeff York, and Christian, I'm sorry, Kristen Zelazko. I almost made it through all those names, didn't I? Well, not really. Cover price, $4.99, and this one went on sale October 14th, 2020, and I cannot tell you how happy I am to be done with this book because it's been sitting on the top of my read pile since... Well, the end of October, or early November, at the at the very earliest, and 
it's been it's been in the hopper. We've been ready to do this one for a long time, or preparing to do this one for a long time, and I finally, finally get to put it back in the box and hopefully never, ever, ever look at it again. Now let me go down the roll call here. Uh, talking about Apocalypse is our friends at the Longbox Crusade. Brew will be covered by Evan Bevins. Brian Britton will be covered by Jesse Starcher. Betsy Britton, Ed Moore. Cypher is Dayspring, a new friend. Uh, he's from the Power of X-Men podcast. Damien will be chatting up Gloriana. Walt Neeland will be talking about Gorgon. Jeremiah will be talking about the island of Krakoa. Jody will cover Maura McTaggart. My Moratory and uh, Questerday's partner, Chris Bailey, will be here to talk about magic. And we're actually going to go deep into the four-issue magic miniseries as part of that. Uh, finally, Mark Radelich will be talking about the life and times of Wolverine with me. Uh, we wrap up with the X-Men bio, but that is all by my lonesome. So we got many, 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 many minutes of content here. Um, I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, been it's been a project to put it together. I Again, thanks to everybody for their patience with me and uh, their flexibility because I couldn't have done it without without them. So thanks, everybody, one last time. And let me send it over to the horns, the return of the horns, <laughs> and uh, to uh, the Longbox Crusades discussion of Apocalypse. Hello, everybody. It's your old pal Weasel Skull here. And I'm joined with two of my compadres, the founder of the Longbox Crusade, Pat DJ Cristados, and Jared, my brother from my actual mother. And we're here to go off the cuff and talk a little bit about Apocalypse from the X-Men. Why are you doing this, you might ask? Well, our buddy Chris, Chris Sheehan from the X-Lapsed podcast, is putting the show together, and he asked us to talk about the villain kind of an anti-hero now, Apocalypse from the X-Men. So we did a little bit of research, went back in the old uh, time machine and looked up some of the old Apocalypse stuff. And that's what we're here to do today, talk about Apocalypse of the X-Men. So we'll start with Jared. I'm sure he came well prepared. Jared. Yes. Apocalypse of the X-Men. What do you know about him? Uh, I believe Apocalypse was played by Loretta Swit on several seasons of MASH. I think you're thinking of Hot Lips Houlihan. Oh! Hot Lips Houlihan. Oh, I'm woefully unprepared. No, no. This is the guy that was like, the horror. The horror. No, that's Apocalypse Now. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not this? No. Crap! What are we doing here? (laughs) Um, Pat, save us! Apocalypse! Apocalypse, Pat. What do you got? What do you got on Apocalypse? We're talking about a guy who's been around for quite a long time in the X-Men universe. Mm -hmm. I don't know him too, too much, so it was very interesting to kind of read more background on him. On our off chat, we you had mentioned that kind of started to know him from the Age of Apocalypse, Mm -hmm. uh, that series that went on in the 90s for a little while. That's where I first started to get to know him or, or to see him. I was very interested in reading, though, these pages in the handbook uh, that gave more background on it. How about you, Jason? How, what's your... Yeah, I went in here all, you know, big-headed thinking, yeah, I know Apocalypse. I'm an X-Men fan from way back. I've been reading X-Men forever. Of course I know Apocalypse. And then I read all the stuff in this handbook, and I was like, I don't know jack about this cat. And <laughs> he's got, like, a son, and then, like, he 
had a life in a pocket universe and all this stuff that came out. My memory goes back. It starts right after Angel got his wings pinned in the Mutant Massacre storyline by the villain Harpoon. And he ended up losing his wings. And he went into this bout of depression. And then he ended up being, I don't know if recruited is the right word. It's almost like Apocalypse almost has like this vampiric Dracula power to go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, when you read through the history, I I know where you're kind of going. He's got this because he's been around since the Egyptian time. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really cool. And it takes me back to that time of Egyptians and the pharaohs and all that. I really like that kind of a history. Things come out of Egypt that moved us along forward here and that. And just the mystical feeling we get from there. Um, Yeah. It reminds me of the fifth element. And in the beginning of that movie, you have, you know, they're undoing something of, of Egypt and you find some mystical force going on there. And so it reminds me of that movie and it reminds me of Stargate 2. Yeah, Stargate is a good on. one. Yeah, 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 that is a really good comparison. Yeah, I was going with more of the element of his recruitment of his horsemen. He always has the okay. four horsemen. And Angel was the one that I remember getting recruited as the horseman death. And that's where Angel got those big metal wings oh, yeah. that could, oh, okay. could shoot the blades and everything. That was Apocalypse. It turned him into one of the horsemen when he was at his low point. He had actually lost his wings in the Mutant Massacre. So it was a big story arc where the X-Men and X-Factor were trying to get him to come back to the good side, I guess, for lack of a better term. But that was kind of the first memory that I really had of Apocalypse. But I like that you brought up the Egypt aspect because my memories of Apocalypse, the history of it going back, he was a slave building the pyramids, but it turned out that he was a mutant. And he evolved. And so he's kind of a combination of his mutant powers, which is basically his ability to transmogrify. And he's got enhanced strength and endurance and near invulnerability. But he also has been on a quest for power. And his, uh, I think the handbook mentioned that he made a deal with the Celestials. So he has like advanced yes. weaponry, too. So he's kind of like a mutant version of Dr. Doom a little bit that's that's mm. got kind of like this innate ability, but also just advanced weapons. He's kind of a blend of like a Dr. Doom and a, a little bit of a Kang the Conqueror type mm. vibe, all mixed sure. up with some mutant ability. So it makes him very formidable, a very tough opponent. And the other interesting thing that I like about it is kind of like... You know, for those casual folks that like the MCU, you know, people say like how Thanos, he's a villain, but you kind of understand it. You kind of get him. And I kind of feel the same way with Apocalypse a little bit. Apocalypse is, he's a survivor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He knows he should have died. And he knows that if his race is weak, then, you know, that they're in danger. So he puts people through the paces and only the strong survive. Mm-hmm. And that makes him, you know, it's like, ooh, it's kind of a grim concept, but in a way, you kind of respect it once yeah. you understand his history. Yeah, he's definitely been a guy that's been around a long time and has seen a lot of stuff come and go. And yeah, it's just like an unsung hero in a way. I know, yeah, he's may have some evil schemes and plans going on, but I'm sure, you know, he's doing it from the heart. 
Yeah, I mean, he's doing it for the benefit of mutants. In a way, he's kind of like Magneto a little bit in that regard. The two of them, and they've crossed paths from time to time, but the two of them are pretty similar in the fact that they're not going to bend the knee uh, Mm -hmm. to anyone. And in fact, they want to be top of the heap at the end of the day. Was there anything from the handbook that you found particularly fascinating? What I do like in the handbook is at the end, they have the levels of his skills, his intelligence. You know, out of a ranking of one to seven, his intelligence is a six. His strength is a seven. So he's a very strong guy. Mm-hmm. Very strong, very smart. Speed is a five. Durability, a six. Energy protection, a six. And fighting skills. I, I'm not sure what the grays mean on here. That maybe can bump up on that, but it, it goes from a three to a six on there. But I thought that was really cool to have some stats like that. Being a D&D guy, I find that interesting and can go, okay, well, this guy, who can he go toe-to-toe with, you know? Yeah. What's his weaknesses? And so I really like that part of it. How about you? Yeah, I like that part, too. I was going to ask you, because I, I looked at that and I was like, three for fighting? I don't know about that, because... This is a dude that's been around. He's kind of like, he's older than Wolverine. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Wolverine has just, you know, 100 plus years of fighting experience that just makes him a natural fighter. This guy's got like thousands Thousands of years of of fighting experience. So I would think that, yeah, but maybe he's just getting old. You know, you feel the pain a little bit. (laughs) No, I think probably what the great area means is because I remember reading in the stats, and I kind of remember this from the comic books as well, that he needs to recharge. So so if he goes for a long time, he probably weakens to the point where he is more vulnerable and his fighting skills go down. Uh, When his battery's full, though, man, he's got full life. (laughs) You do not want to go toe-to-toe with him. Yes, that was mentioned in there. I found that interesting, too. Again, keeps going back to that lore of ancient times, the like Thor's father, you know, having to sleep for a while, getting his power back up to a... And I really like that. Again, I just find the Egyptian lore history kind of fascinating, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what they accomplished in that kind of a time frame. Yeah, it does really blend that historical time period well with the fictional comic book character. And I liked your analogy earlier to Stargate as well, because that's essentially what he did. Yeah, he he became worshipped like a god, Mm -hmm. you know, and was captured in history. What do you remember about the horsemen? Anything that stood out to you about the horsemen? How he always had the four horsemen. He had like war, plague, death, and famine. I don't remember a lot about it. And that's what I like about doing this and reading along with Chris and, and reading my my own X-Men reading is learning that. Mm-hmm. But having the four horsemen, you know, the plagues, the, the different stuff goes back to that time again. Uh, that yeah. Egyptian kind of a you know, biblical kind of a feel for that. So I, I think that's really interesting. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's it really is cool how he, they kind of tie those those other boss characters before you get to the big boss of Apocalypse to yeah. the, you know, to the biblical plagues. And then, again, it was really cool seeing Angel get turned into Archangel, who was yeah. actually a pretty cool-looking character, too. I mean, yeah. he, was, oh, yeah. he was pretty tight. Well, what are your thoughts on Apocalypse, Jared? What do you well, Pat, know of I'm him? glad you asked. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You've been I don't know anything about Apocalypse, but I will say this. I also not a big X-Men reader. Mm-hmm. So there's a void there. What I did know about him 
coming into this initially is what Jason already mentioned. I did know that he was the guy that made Angel from a lame hero to an awesome hero. <laughs> he turned him an archangel. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. And that ties to me to the Marvel role-playing game that Jason and I always enjoyed. Because regular Angel sucks. And <laughs> Archangel is pretty powerful. And what are you going to do, Angel? I guess I'm going to fly. Fly, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I had some sort of offensive power. <laughs> I got to be honest, when I was a kid, I was always like, well, he's basically Hawkman without being tough. Um, <laughs> the so, Not the cool anyway, <laughs> well, I want to bring this back to Apocalypse. So, you know, I was reading at that age, young age, uh, those stories are familiar with. I'd faded out by the early 90s when Apocalypse kind of came big on the scene. I think that's about the time, if I'm not mistaken, it came on the scene. So, my sole best source of Apocalypse information is the X-Men movie, Age of Apocalypse. Okay. Which people in general, or maybe comic fans in general, like to poop on, but because I don't have serious ties to the X-Universe, I rather enjoyed the film. And then what I do know from the cursory reading that I did <laughs> of this entry is that they did a pretty good job representing him in the movie. They got his Egyptian history right. They got his slave background right. They got kind of his attitude. Seems like they got that right. My biggest question about him is I've never been 100% clear on his power set. And hearing you guys talk about it, it still sounded wishy-washy. It's like, he can kind of do things, man. And to me, that's always been like, I, one of the reasons I don't gravitate towards him. It just It's like, it's his power sets. Maybe he's had too many writers, or I, I don't know. If anybody can clearly define what his power set is, I would really appreciate it. And, and I know it's probably in the entry that I was supposed to read. Now, there is a little bit of a deus ex machina feel towards him. Because he does have his mutant powers, which are pretty clearly defined. He's got enhanced strength, endurance, and near invulnerability. He's strong. He's got he can a make great, his mass big, or he can adjust his mass. He can transmogrify. Uh, so if you can kind of imagine a cross between Mister Fantastic and Colossus, that's your your basic power set. But then where it gets a little bit wonky is that he has also cut deals with celestials you know the marvel kind of supreme beings of the universe and they've given him weapons and powers themselves which aren't always clearly defined and they kind of you know oh i've got this now and so he's able to build like you know vast arsenals he's got spaceships and so i think, like, I think that gives him in a writing sense gives writers and people the ability to kind of use him and kind of give them stuff that they need to move the story or yeah help, it that, help the story along which is all right because you're like oh well they got him from celestials or he's you know got this certain such a power yeah they can pretty much adjust on the fly yeah yeah but you know his weaknesses is, is that you know he's very old and he does need to either do the all sleep or whatever it's called. The, you know, he he needs he needs to take his power nap, or he's uh, <laughs> got, he's got to take another host. Yeah, um, that's what I was picking up from the movie. That I think he was going to use Professor X as his host in the movie. If I if I remember correctly, I remember he got into his mind, which ended up being a bad idea. You know, mind fights. They're lame in comics, but they're kind of cool in a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The mind <laughs> fight didn't go really good in there. <laughs> Again, that's just kind of been my biggest problem with him. It's probably what 
from the Celestials angle, it's like, I, I don't know. He, he's just always been a little nebulous. He's like, he's always what you need him to be. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is what is he it, is. Is a bad that can be around for quite a while or mm-hmm. either be a hindrance or a, a help yeah. a little bit. So kind of feel like he is analogous to like Thanos or Darkseid to where mm-hmm. they're just kind of always what you need them to be. Yeah, he, yeah, he is kind of the uh, dark side so, of the of the X-Men universe. I would say that's a good that's a good. And you know, where would you rate him in the. In the pantheon of X-Men villains, you know, you got Magneto as kind of the top dog there. Would you put him, you know, right below Magneto, on par with Magneto? You know, just not one of your favorites down there near Toad? Or how would you <laughs> how would you rate, rate Apocalypse? I guess I wouldn't put him as high as Magneto. You know, I think he can be a pretty conniving kind of a, a guy. And I'm really anxious to see what his role is in this new, you know, Dawn of X that's going on right now. So where this comes out with, you know, X of Swords, I'm really interested to see what's happening with him. You know, he's on Krakoa and he's helping them. Uh, you know, he's part of the the mutant team now because all you know all the mutants are together. So it's like the guy hasn't lived for this long for a reason. Yeah. You know, he's got a plan. Well, it's interesting, too. And I don't know how deep we want to go into this. You know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't been keeping up on their reading in in the X-Universe. But Pat is absolutely correct. Right now, the mutants have created their own nation on the island of Krakoa. And under these new laws, pretty much all sins of the past are forgiven. And so... Now we've got Apocalypse living side by side with Wolverine and Cyclops and, you know, all the mutant heroes. And as a matter of fact, he's a pretty powerful member because he's got a seat on the government. And so he's got some influence. Then we also learn some new secrets about his past here. And I don't know how deep we want to go into that. You know, so currently um, this should kind of catch us up where Chris is, is heading. Uh, there's a lot of new secrets, new revelations about Apocalypse that have come out in this new storyline. They're just really fascinating and really have engaged me as a reader with his character again. Right. Yeah, and I'm interested in uh, learning a little bit more about him as we go through this series. So I've been enjoying doing our X-Men read on Crusader Chronicles. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this future reading with Chris on X-Lapsed. Jared, any final thoughts on Apocalypse before we roll on out of here? All right. So, Apocalypse. Uh-huh. I saw him in a movie once. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. Good for you. No further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, thanks for hanging out with us. If you like what you heard over here, go check us out on the Longbox Crusade Network. You can uh, find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Pat, where can they hit you up? You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And Jarrett, where can they find you? You can find me at Yard Sale Artist on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or at your local blockbuster video, renting X-Men Age of Apocalypse on VHS. And thanks again to Chris for letting us hang out on his show. Lots of fun, and uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Alrighty, episode 200 rolls on, and it's time for another bio. And this one, uh, I mean, we're going to talk about some very important people today. And uh, I don't think you get any more important than the true MVP of the X of Swords, Festival of Swords event. 
Brew. Brew. Uh, yes, Brew, uh, the guy with the egg that we saw in that issue that I hated a lot. And to do this, I brought on my pal and uh, frequent uh, a frequent appearance uh, fellow in the mailbag, uh, Mr. Evan Bevins. How you doing, Evan? I am doing good. Uh, always excited to, to talk about Brew, and uh, <laughs> I don't know if his impact on the Festival of Swords can be overstated. It's true. It's true. I mean, if not for him, then I don't even know if we'd still be reading. It's uh, it's pretty wild stuff here. Um, well, hoping for a maggot appearance. So. <laughs> well, you'd have to wait a little while for that one. Yeah. But uh, now, since we are talking about brew here, um, do you have any? I mean, this might sound silly, but do you have any brew memories here? Uh, it's something I'm asking everybody who's coming on, like. These characters, do they have any kind of particular meaning for you? Are there any stories featuring these character, this character that sticks out or stands out to you? Yeah, Brew helped me get back into the X-Men regularly for a while because uh, I, you know, I, 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 th- I think I've said in the mailbag a, a few times when I stopped and, and would come back every now and then. But it was Wolverine and the X-Men that oh, was yes. my first um, – I think until reading along uh, with the Hawks, Pox, Docs, et cetera era was mm-hmm. my longest return to the X-Men. And um, it wasn't Brew initially. Um, I, I know I always uh, I always laugh and nod when you talk about the uh, the disconnect between what covers what's on a cover and what's actually in the issue. <laughs> but it was the cover, I forget which issue it was, but Wolverine and the X-Men, the one where Quentin Choir who was not a character I, I really liked uh, before, was slumped against the wall having graffiti. Do you remember when Wolverine was cool? Me neither. Yes. On <laughs> that was and one was, of the first uh, Regenesis ones, yes. <laughs> and I was like, this, I, I have to check this out, because the idea of Wolverine running a school is so so weird, and then this cover, and I bought that, and I, I'm and Brew was one of the, I always liked the, the oddball characters. Sure. Um, and just the idea of a brood that's this friendly little guy in a suit wanting to help people, just the exact opposite of everything a brood should be. Um, he, you know, uh, Krakoa as the lawn or Krakoa Jr. or, or how, third, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever iteration he was, um, just that, that weird cast and – you know, people in roles that they shouldn't be in and Deathlock as the guest teacher who just stayed around for the whole run. And, uh, it, but, but yeah, Brew, Brew was one of the breakout characters there. And, um, you, and you know, even the idea of him being everything a brood shouldn't be, I had forgotten until uh, I read in here about Professor Starblood. Oh, you know, yes. the guy that, that showed up because Brew was against the natural order and then kept kept coming back, you know, in an era when we had uh, new and recurring ex villains, sure, <laughs> uh, put us to guys in suits, and so that that was really uh, that that was um, really where Bruce shined to me, especially in those early issues. Uh, you know, um, yeah, he, he got a little feral later and, and wasn't himself, and then I was uh, happy to see him, which I figure we'll talk about later, pop up in in Avengers later. Just uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a whole part that I missed out on. I I didn't realize that he, you know, had this friendship with Tony Stark and uh, was part of the what are the agents of Wakanda. It's Wakanda. Yeah, that that yeah. was a fun uh, a fun series um, that I, I got to. Uh, actually, uh, Comicsology made a bunch of uh, Black Panther comics free. Free. That's Jeff- right. Away, and I got um, I, most of most of the run of that on there. 
Um, and so, yeah, I was, uh, I'm always glad to see, uh, see characters. I like pop up, you know, uh, I know you've, you've talked some about people being, uh, kind of, or elements and characters being taken away from the X line, but it seems like brew wasn't really being used much. So, uh, sure. I, I was glad to see him back, uh, sure. in, in any capacity and agents of Wakanda was just filled with weird outside of black Panther and the wasp weird characters that, you know, somebody likes, but couldn't sustain their own series. But, yeah. but that, um, I think, it, I think it was Jim Zub that wrote that, um, who he just found really cool ways to make these guys work. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Jim Zub was a, a big name when I started coming back to Marvel and it felt like he was writing everything. Yeah. Like <laughs> every Marvel does that. Sometimes they find a writer and it's like, okay, give them everything. And, uh, then they, they go through them and then they, they do some of this stuff like, a Cullen Bunn before him. It was uh, like yeah. every book was Cullen Bunn, and that wasn't my favorite time to be a comic book fan. But um, hearing you talk about Wolverine and the X Men, it's funny. I've uh, I've been talking a lot about Wolverine and the X Men, going through these bios, and um, it seems to me when I talk about it with other people, it's a story that either they they know and they love, or they never heard of it. It's so weird how it like it's it, it, there's no Oh yeah, I heard of that. I never checked it out. It's like that was a thing, or yeah. I loved it. <laughs> and and it seemed like, of course, that was when I think that was that was post schism. It was. But, um, I, you know, I I was reading. I didn't really I didn't really follow AVX except what Wolverine and the X Men did with it. But I <laughs> I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I had to read the, the other stuff. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure it would have helped, but it it really stood stood on its own pretty well. I, yeah. I think when they got to Battle of the Atom, I kind of checked out because I just that was the only one I was reading. So I, um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't feel like like buying all the all those other parts. But yeah. I, I went back. Those are the only issues I don't have. I went back and and finished out the run um, at cons and, and and bargain bins. But uh, mm-hmm. that was that it, it was just a financial thing because I, I I loved that that run. Oh, yeah, that was an absolute blast. A definite highlight of the past 10, 15 years of X-Men. Jason Aaron just just, just murdered it. It was great, great stuff. I was uh, – because he handed it off to Jason Latour for uh, the second volume, and I think that might have been the Battle of the Atom era when Bendis came in and uh, he was bringing in like – like a Molly Hayes from the Runaways from 20 Years in the Future and just like weird, weird stuff. Um, Shogo and a Sentinel Iron Man hybrid. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Before he was de-aged to uh, Goo Goo yeah. Gaga. Yes. <laughs> very, very strange stuff. But we're going to talk about Brew in a minute. Uh, we're going to talk about the bio, but we really don't have a whole lot to say. Brew doesn't have the kind of a pedigree as a Wolverine. You know, Wolverine... That's going to be a longer segment because there's a lot to talk about with Wolverine. (laughs) Um, The X-Men segment, there's a lot to talk about there. Brew, he's only been around for less than 15 years now and has appeared for maybe half of that. So so rather than just diving into that right now, I did want to talk to you about this brave new world we're in, this post-Hox Pox Docs era where we've had multiple shoes drop, as I like to say on the show here. I want to know your first thoughts when House of X number two or Maura McTaggart is a mutant. Um, what were your thoughts when we uh, when when that was revealed to us? Well, at, at first I was just like, wait, she's what now? <laughs> How 
yeah. how's this going to work? But they, um, it, I mean, a lot of times I have my, you know, ideas I like or don't like, but to, but to me, it's always about the execution. So mm-hmm. I was like, more as a mutant. I mean, come on. But I, I thought, I thought that was executed really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it had me in, interested. Um, I'm still waiting for, for more about Mora. I, I haven't mm-hmm. sent you my, uh, my message on, on Marauders 18, but, uh, the, Oh yes. The yes. That was, that was great. That was um, wonderful. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, still waiting on, on that, but, um, and, but, but yeah, I, w- I was curious to see how, how it all fits together. And, um, I, it, it, it also was kind of a, a, a bit of a misdirect because once they set up that world, I mean, it's, it's all possible because of Mora, but then we, we kind of leave Mora and she's always just sort of hanging, hanging mm-hmm. over it. Yeah. So I, 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 I like it. Um, I mean, the stuff I haven't liked, it hasn't been a, been a deal breaker. They haven't, you know, they haven't done anything that, that's ruined it for me. The stuff I don't like most of the time is part of the story, you know, sure, uh, sure. The, uh, even, um, you know, like, like with, again, going back to Marauders 18. Now I don't have to. Now I don't have to send you this message. <laughs> the, you know the the brutality that bugged me through 17 issues. Now now it's coming back. Now there's a there's there's an impact to that. It's not yes. just a throwaway. A yeah. Yeah. The 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 Crucible. I I think I've said before. I think the Crucible is uh, a horrible way to live and conduct a society, but it makes for a heck of a, a lot of good stories. Certainly. So um, yeah. So I'm I'm. I'm in, in, enjoying it a lot. I'm probably gonna, uh, you know, Marvel Unlimited is a great thing, but I'm gonna probably when uh, Duggan starts with a new number one, even though it's rewarding some bad Marvel behavior, I'll, I'll probably <laughs> at least pick that one up and tag along if I don't uh, if I don't jump on Hellions, so I don't have to keep waiting for it first. Oh, Hellions is a book, and it Hellions is some wonderful, wonderful stuff. Now, I, I, I totally agree. The execution of the Mora reveal here where it's like it's not linear, but it's linearly told. It's very, very weird the way it, it actually all comes together. It all works. Um, I know for folks who were listening to the show for the first 12 episodes, I apologize, first of all. And second of all, it's like uh, I know I was very, very precious about like – well, what does this mean? Was, was Executioner Song in her third life? Was Extinction Agenda in her fifth life? What? When were things happening? And then people were telling me, like, chill out. It's okay. <laughs> Just breathe because everything matters. And I'm like, but how can it all matter? Because more is here and she's there and she's here and she's there. And then it all played out. It's like, wait a minute. Okay. I get it now. I get it now. All these things were just lessons learned throughout past lives that – haven't happened here. They're just things that she knows. So, okay, I'm cool with it. <laughs> I'm cool with it. Something that I was iffy about, and I'm still kind of iffy, mostly due to the execution and the abuse of the of the tool, is the resurrection protocols. What was your thought upon reading, I think it was House of X number five, the dead mutants from, uh, from the Orcus Forge, they're brought back. And the end of that issue, all the bad guys come over and join up. So that was a huge issue. What were your thoughts receiving that issue? Let's see. Well, the 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 resurrection. I mean, I was I, I got to admit I, I I was just blown away at first, just with mm-hmm. you know kind of I mean wow they're 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 really going for it here. Yeah. You know it it, it wasn't a fake. It wasn't like oh we sent some clones out here and you know. There, there's ways they they could have copped out. I mean, I 
I've always been kind of, and it, it, it's dumb to say you're a longtime comic book reader and you don't like people constantly coming back from the dead. <laughs> but but, but it, it's also one of those where I'm a I'm a little bit uh, uh what, what what's the word word I'm I'm looking for I'm a little bit Petite? fickle on that because <laughs> like, I will I will argue that we didn't need Hal Jordan back and we didn't need Barry Allen back. Mm-hmm. And Connor Hawk was a darn good Green Arrow, but I loved Oliver Queen, so I was like, "Yeah, bring Ollie back, absolutely." Sure. So you, you know, it's just it it it, de- it depends on on your taste, I guess. You know, leave everybody dead except my favorite characters. That's right. <laughs> um, so, it, but I mean, I I think they're doing some some interesting things with it. I, I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten more of the other than Nightcrawler talking about souls in X Men number seven. Mm-hmm. You know. I expected a lot more of the, you know, the Star Trek transporter debate. It's like, well, if you're disassembled and reassembled over here, is is your soul Are you the same? really? Yeah. And there, there's actually, um, I was going back and reading the um, the IDW um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, okay. and there's actually a discussion in there with uh, Donatello and this alien scientist. Or one of the reveals in that is that the turtles are supposedly reincarnated sons of this ninja master that Splinter is also the reincarnation of. And Donatello is like, well, that's just ridiculous. And the guy's like, but we have teleportation. And when you come out on the other side, you're the same person. So there has to be something we don't understand there. Uh, that, that may be way too much of a tangent, but it, but it made me think about what we've been talking about with the, with the resurrections. Because, sure. you know, is if it's the same genetics and the same memories – is that all you are? Yeah. And I, man, maybe uh, you know, you were telling me about Way of X. Maybe we'll we'll get it into some of that. But um, it, you know, I, I I think they haven't haven't ignored that. Maybe they haven't explored it as much mm-hmm. as I want them to. But uh, I mean, you know, they they haven't closed any any doors yet. So maybe I'd like sure. to see them do some more stuff. But there's still room room to do that. So uh, absolutely. I didn't like it at first, but I uh, they've either handled it well or haven't handled it so poorly that I've lost interest. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The uh, the first time I saw it um, was I bought I bought X-Men Volume 5 number one. Uh, this, I didn't buy Hox Pox. I just found out, okay, new X-Men number one had legacy numbering on it for whatever reason. They, they stopped <laughs> that real quick. But um, I'm like, okay, I, 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 I tweeted out, I'm ready to have my heart broken again. <laughs> and uh, I bought the thing. So I bought it. I, I looked through it. Didn't really understand what was going on. Didn't know why they were all on the island because I didn't read Hoxpox. The next week, I'm like, okay, uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. The next week, it was uh, Marauders and Excalibur. I'm like, okay, I'll pick up the first issues of these. And from there, I just started stockpiling. But I opened up Excalibur, and in the opening pages of the first issue, uh, that weirdo Jamie Braddock comes emerging out of a gold ball. And I'm like, what in the hell is this? Because I didn't know anything about the resurrection protocols. All I see is like they have eggs, they have hatchery. What in what is this? So I didn't understand anything to the point I was so flabbergasted by this scene that when I read it in House of X number five when I started doing the show, it was like all new to me. I I was like, (laughs) oh, oh, and then I I remembered the scene with Jamie, and it's like, oh, oh, that's what they're doing. Okay, that makes more sense, but uh. I was worried uh, about the things that we talk about on the show all the time, you know, things like how do we walk this back, the devaluing of death. And I think 
I think we're going to start to address that pretty soon in, in on paper. So that is a uh, that's definitely a good sign. I think that's uh, a long time coming. Yeah, I got I got to say I was eased into it. I I started reading it in more or less real time. So <laughs> I read House of X number one, and I'm like, oh. The mutants have an island in their own country. Well, that's original. Uh, <laughs> yes. Only done that three or four times before. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was like, I mean, the, you know, the, the, this is cool. This is interesting. But I don't see what what's the what the brave new world is here. And then yeah. Powers of X is just, you know, wait, what? And then Funny. House of X number two. And I'm like, OK, OK, I, <laughs> I'm I'm interested to see where this is going now. So, yeah, I, I, I was kind of eased into it. Gotcha. <laughs> is I, I, I mentioned this on a different segment uh, that might still be yet to come. I don't I don't know what order these are in. So it might have happened, might not have happened. But um, it is. We, we are just all over the place here. Um, I was uh, thinking, like, how much fun this would have been had I been like with a cohort, you know, like mm-hmm. when House of X one came out, if I was there with everybody you know, theorizing and just being like breaking it down and putting together like fake ass annotations and just like, how, where does this go? How does this go? Where? And I mean, I was there a year and change later by myself, you know? So I'm like, wow, this blew my mind. And everyone's like, yeah, grandpa, that was a year ago, you know? And it's like, ah, damn it. So I I was kind of on my own. (laughs) I didn't have a lot. I I had had one friend I knew who, who was reading it. Um, but I, I still that, that's that's one reason I, I enjoy the show and the mailbag so much is because I don't um, I only know like one or two other people, you know, not not through your show that, that are reading it. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I do have a coworker who um, I who for whatever reason can't stand Jean Grey. So occasionally I like to bring up Jean Grey. <laughs> Look, look she gives. So every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out some stuff like so this is what the X-Men are doing now. <laughs> and she just looks dismayed, and I'm like, no, 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 it's it's actually really good. She goes, I don't think I want to read about the X-Men negotiating tariffs, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that is part of it, but that's it's, not it's everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's true. There, there's some governmenting, but uh, so so yeah, I uh, I, I, know, I know I immediately uh, I messaged my uh, a friend of mine. I think it was after House of X number two going. So is this what they're doing? The, uh, the X-Men are just going to be in an alternate reality and uh, they're just going to do whatever they want. And it's not going to affect Marvel. And he's like, no, 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 this this is the continuity. So he, he kind of talked me down from there. Yeah. But then uh, then I sort of fell behind and then hoopla and everything. And then I was looking for podcasts and I'm like, oh, hey, Chris is reading Hawksbox. Let's uh, let's see what this is about. And been along for the ride. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I and I appreciate that. Absolutely do. Um it's been a weird time. It's been a very weird time here. And um, this episode that we're recording right now was supposed to be episode 112. So uh, it's episode 200. Uh, I've mentioned it a time or two before I moved. So uh, the, the house is the house of C is uh, is everywhere. You know, uh, there it's it's stretched across several homes um, because we are very precious and can't decide where we want to live. So um, it's a mess. Now, this was supposed to come out before we talked about X of Tens. We talked about X of Tens 80 episodes ago. So what were your takeaways from the story that this handbook was going to kind of massage us into? What were your takeaways from House of from X of Swords? Well, uh, it, it started out uh, confusing and uh, a, a little creepy. You're not wrong. The summoner is, is creepy. <laughs> 
uh, other than uh, I may have mentioned once or twice my my disdain for the Wolverine in Hell story. Um, oh boy. Maybe. But other than that, <laughs> I I like the build up, and then we get to the tournament, and I'm not sure what happened. I, <laughs> and I mean, I am a guy who unironically, unashamedly declares Unbeatable Squirrel Girl as my favorite comic ever. So I <laughs> I don't need things to be deadly serious, but I was primed for deadly serious. And we got, um, you know, uh, this battle is a wedding and uh, we're going to have a what a, a three legged race and a puzzle contest. And, uh, <laughs> and Brian Braddock refuses to shoot a kitten in the face. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm like, that should have been stuff I liked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I was, I was just not I was just not in the headspace for, for that. Uh, usually I appreciate a zig when there should be a zag. Sure. It, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't yeah. bad. They just didn't have me on board till till the end. I mean, Gorgon's just a dude with a sword, but I thought they they did really well with his his sacrifice, and sure. they they got me back on board toward the end. And then uh, I can't remember if this was before or after, but as we were talking about before you started recording, if Brew was ever going to show up right there with wave upon wave of weird freaky armies, you know, just everybody mm -hmm. escalating at the end. That I'm like, oh, and then Chris will have to acknowledge that the egg story was was wrong. <laughs> it, it, at least he may not like it, but it was necessary. Yeah, it, it served a purpose, <laughs> but not yet. Um, yeah, so, no, you're dead on you know, right there. Yeah. I have a handbook with Brew, but uh, I yeah, I, I'm not sure why he why he made it into this edition. It's true. It's true. No, and you're 100 percent right. When when Annihilation was there and everybody was just uh, just hopping on each other, menthy demons all over the place, Cyclops and Gene bring the mutants in. There's just a big battle. Had Brew come in with his brood, uh, which he is the king of now, right? Mm -hmm. It would have made perfect sense. And yes, I would have had to be like, okay, that's why we had that story. <laughs> <laughs> be two issues, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it certainly didn't, and it didn't need to end in a little joke. But it, we needed this. This actually makes sense, and it actually helped the the Krakoans. I was going to call them the X Men, but we found out there there were no X Men, so we're the, the mutants, the Krakoans. But uh, with all that said, here let's get into the bio. Here it's not much here, not much. Um, I I figure. I assume he's only included in the handbook. Uh, you mentioned off the air that maybe it's because there's never been a brew entry in a handbook before. That's a very good possibility. I thought maybe it had something to do with sword. Um, like, cause I mean, he was part of the first sword miniseries. I, I, I mean, they found him with Abigail brand and astonishing X-Men, right? I believe yeah. that was his first appearance. Um, yeah. so I thought maybe it was a swordy thing. Um, we know that there was the uh, the big hiatus last year. Um, mm. This was supposed to be a summer event. It was pushed back to the fall because of the because of the COVID hiatus. Maybe things changed. We know between the free comic book day special and Exosword's creation, things changed. They modified the art. They removed some characters, added some new ones in. So things were kind of fluid. Things were just uh, kind of wibbly. So maybe there was a brew end game here. Maybe they couldn't pull this out before. Before the handbook went to print, maybe they said, hey, it's done. <laughs> Send it. Who cares? Uh, it's only going to be some some, you know, weird guys in a podcast wondering why this is here. And uh, who cares about them anyway? So <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll get into it here. Yeah. Now, 
as mentioned, during the later bits of Astonishing X-Men, that was the, the Joss Whedon one, but this was way after Whedon left, uh, the team would go into space to assist S.W.O.R.D. And um, at this point, Abigail Brand was Hank McCoy's significant other, and S.W.O.R.D. was under the attack of an escaped Brood Queen. Now, the Brood were near extinction at this point, and so Beast said, like, hey, how about you implant all the X-Men with larvae? Um, and he figured he could safely remove it to ensure the Brood would not go extinct is the thing here. Seems like a stupid plan, though in fairness, uh, he was trying to raise a new breed of kinder, gentler brood, which uh, worked once, apparently, right? Well, there <laughs> Just... was a reference, um, sorry, it, there was a story a long time ago, um, it was a sequel to the the Claremont Australian X-Men versus the Brood, where um, it, it was a follow-up on that, and I just remember Bishop saying, this this just popped into my head that there that in his future there were factions of the brood mm-hmm. that were not as bloodthirsty and that like were benevolent. Oh, how um, so I, you know, now, are is was that is something a callback to that or was it just coincidental? Um, you know, <laughs> who, who knows? But but just as you were saying that and I was rereading that, I'm like there there was precedent even back to. I think that might have been late nineties. Um I think that you're they right. did the X Men versus the Brood thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. So, so you know, maybe maybe it's uh maybe it's part of the long game. <laughs> We're giving the editors a lot of credit here. Uh now one of these broodlings was our friend Brew here, the, the mutant brood. Um now Brew had been severed from the Brood Hive Mind, and after a battle he would return home with the X-Men. And uh he would be among Wolverine students at the Jean Grey School post schism. As we mentioned, wonderful series. If you guys have not read Wolverine and the X-Men or not even have heard of it, which I'm finding people haven't heard of it, <laughs> look it up. I'm sure it's on Unlimited. It's gotta be, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. check it out. Yeah. It's 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 wonderful. Um I, I, and I've said this a few times on this episode alone. Um, I compare it to uh, the Justice League International kind of, where it's there's silliness, but there's also heart and there's also seriousness. It's just a wonderful blend, almost almost sitcommy drama. It's it's great. It's excellent, excellent stuff. And it does now, it does different things with the X Men while still feeling like 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 the X Men. The it's classic X Men, yeah. yeah. It's not repeating and playing the greatest hits. It's doing different things, but it's not so far beyond anything that you don't recognize. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, like, if you think we're talking about, like, Ecstatics, which was a fun series, too, but maybe it was too far out for some people. It's not like that. (laughs) It's very traditional. Now... Brew, he's back on the, he's in the school here. He'd be targeted by Professor Xanto Starblood, who I completely forgot about. Uh, he saw Brew as a danger to the order of the galaxy since he wasn't acting like a stereotypical brood. Um, now, Xanto would infect Kitty Pride with a microscopic brood and then attack the school. I don't remember that either. Uh, Brew, upon seeing this, would fly into a feral rage, kind of going back to form, and he beat the holy hell out of Starblood until Beast pulled him off. And uh, Brew was uh, left, you know, because Brew has a conscience. He can communicate, and he's like, wait a minute, what happened to me? So he's worried about his more bestial side here, and uh, that's something that would weigh on him. Uh, Later in a story, and another thing we've talked about a lot on this episode is there are no footnotes. (laughs) There There are no little notes saying, for this story, see this book. Because we're about to talk about some fairly fun stuff with Brew here. Um... 
he would he 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 forms this friendship with Iron Man that I didn't even know about. Uh, here he helps Iron Man and Abigail Brand. This is during Avengers versus X Men, and uh, we later find out that Brew kind of has the hot pants for student Id Ankankwo, uh, who is Oya, the uh, the mutant Oya, one hand hot, one hand cold uh, from. I think she was from Generation Hope, if I'm remembering correctly. You have any familiarity with Generation Hope? No, I I, I missed out on that. I uh, I was reading X Factor during Messiah Complex, and I, okay. I had a coworker who was buying all the other books, so I I, gotcha. I did get to read that. But uh, yeah, Hope Hope was one I, I I picked up on later. So I I first met, and I can't even say her. It's Oya, right? I, I Oya, can't, I, I think it's Oya. So I pronounce every name wrong. So. <laughs> Me. But, yeah, Wolverine and the X Men was the first place I, I I knew I knew her from. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, that 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 was uh, you know she she and and Brew uh, were were both new to me there. Gotcha, gotcha. Now while he was having the hot pants for her, she was having the hot pants for Quentin Choir of all people, and Brew was heartbroken and decided to leave the school. And then he was immediately shot in the head by Kid Kilgore of the Hellfire Tots. So um, he was left for dead, but Beast would stabilize Brew in a coma. And unfortunately, when he'd awaken, he'd be back in his more feral and dangerous state. His humanity had just been gone. And so we'd get scenes of him being led around on a leash by a guilt-ridden Oya, because uh, she felt bad. Um, Which makes sense from a story standpoint, but but I missed, uh, I missed Brew being Brew. Absolutely, absolutely. Brew is... Brew is, uh, to me, kind of, he reminds me a lot of Beast, like where Beast is like this hulking form who you would never expect to like have the teeny tiny glasses and just and, and sound like Kelsey Grammer. Right. So you have this like this little monster who's like, oh, would you like a tour of the school? It's like that's adorable. It's it's yeah. we need that kind of stuff here. Now, Oya is upset, of course. Brew was shot in the head. He's been left in this feral state. So she joins the Hellfire Tots in an attempt to find out who shot Brew. Now, Beast would take Brew back up to Sword and attempt to try and restore his personality. And there he would enlist the aid of Mr. Xanto Starblood, who I do not remember at all. I, I think they might be pranking me here. It's like they're just putting words here. <laughs> he, he's real because I think the... Uh... When he infected Kitty with the brood, mm-hmm. there was a whole misdirection from the cover and for most of the issue that she was somehow mysteriously pregnant. Oh, oh, yes. OK, I remember it now. It was another one of those really striking covers. Um, I remember that now. OK. Yeah, but, but but yeah, I, I couldn't have told you his name until I went back <laughs> through and read this. I'm like, oh, yeah, there was that guy that did that thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Santo Starblood. Now. Beast tries to get him to help, but Xanto refuses. He's like, hey, Brew is acting like a brood. Order is restored here. Everything is cool. Um, During this, Xanto and Brew would be teleported back to the Jean Grey school by a Hellfire tot. Uh, Quentin Choir then decided to head to the Hellfire to rescue Idy, but she'd refused to leave because she hadn't yet figured out who shot Brew. Then she found out it was uh, Kilgore, and she'd attack, Brew would attack, then the X-Men would come to settle everybody's tea kettles, right? Then, a scene I don't remember, Brew would attempt to eat a Banff. Uh, I, do remember, I do remember Banffs running around the Wolverine and the X-Men uh, campus. Uh, yeah. This is, I, I think Nightcrawler was dead at this point. 
And because uh, this was right after he either died during Second Coming or Messiah Complex. So this is yeah. right, right after that or a little bit after that. And this is before Amazing X-Men, so he wouldn't be back yet. But um, Brew would try to eat one of these Bamfs. And this gave him a vision of Nightcrawler, which somehow restored his softer and more gentle personality. Story yeah. I don't remember, but I want to revisit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's, it's like I, I remember, I remember Brew coming back to normal. I remember Bamfs, but I, I don't remember that incident. <laughs> exactly. Now Brew would become a tour guide for the school, and uh, he would wind up giving tours to a pair of Shield agents posing as potential new students. And I was afraid that I was uh, spoiling myself on Generation X Volume 2 here. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not Nathaniel and Benji, is it? But I don't think it is. Uh, now, Quentin Quire figured this all out, and he brainwashed the agents because that's kind of what Quentin would do. Here's a fun story. Drew would then help Tony Stark to get a Stargate working with relative ease. Here's Tony is struggling to get this thing going. Drew walks in, taps a few buttons, and boop, it's done. And then they have a fun outing through space. Where's the footnote? <laughs> exactly. I, I I literally flipped through to the end of this going, oh, that's, I want to read that because yes. that makes sense with him showing up later in Avengers. Exactly. And I, I mean, maybe they figure we can all uh, Google it now, but yes. I mean, that, that that's what I, you know, I, I grab up these handbooks when, whenever I can, you know, I do, um, I, I, I uh, occasionally write columns about, uh, the uh, source material, if if Jesse Starcher won't uh, sue me for using that, <laughs> uh, of of uh, the the comics that a lot of shows and movies are based on, Certainly. and um, I, I I prefer the handbooks to the uh, to the wikis to uh, to 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 do the research, and um yeah I immediately flipped to this because I'm like yeah I want to I want to see Brew hanging out with Iron Man and uh, it's not there there at all so we'll have to google it maybe if i remember to we'll put it in the show notes because that sounds like a, a hell of a fun story um just him and tony hanging out in space together yeah I, I, that's just so cool um now brew would go on to join black panther's agents of wakanda on the recommendation of tony stark and kitty pride you know this better than i do because i am just finding out that the agents of wakanda are a thing actually you told me about it a few months ago and i i'd never heard of it before what is the agents of wakanda Basically, when uh, and and th this was Jason Aaron, so I imagine that may be why Brood why okay. Brood was in it. Um, when he took over the Avengers, uh, he instead of Avengers Mansion or Avengers Tower or Hydro Base or the Avengers uh, RV and campground, um, <laughs> he he set them up in the corpse of a celestial in a mountain uh, at basically the North Pole. Okay. And, so and Black Panther figured uh, it, because Black Panther's the the leader now of the Avengers. Gotcha. And he figured, okay, we're gonna we're gonna need some support staff, and it's probably not gonna be enough to just have Jarvis dusting the innards of a Celestial. <laughs> and so he they they did an issue that was uh, I guess in in TV parlance kind of a backdoor pilot for the agents of Wakanda. Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got Gorilla Man from Agents of Atlas is like the head of security. Okay. Um, Brew is their IT guy, um, gotcha. basically trying to decipher all this uh, this uh, celestial tech. Um, and uh, he's got Kazar doing stuff that I never knew Kazar could do. Um, <laughs> they wanted they wanted somebody to go spy on Atlantis, and so uh, Kazar jumps out of a Shield agent's flying car with nothing but a knife. And spends a few days <laughs> in Atlantis, 
and comes back and gives them all the intel they need. Well, that's great. Um, so, um, and then uh, they, they had a few others. Um, Wasp mm -hmm. is, is is on it. Um, basically, this, these are the is this Janet who, or the daughter? Yeah, okay. it, it, it's Janet. Yeah. Um, so, uh, John Jameson, Man Wolf. Um, oh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Fat Cobra. Uh, if you from the Iron Fist series, um, Okoye from uh, you know from from Black Panther. Um, oh, trying wow. to think. Um, Red Wolf. Uh, yeah, this it's just basically these are the people who you know gather intel uh, for for the Avengers and also end up handling stuff when when the Avengers are uh, are unavailable. So they they had some really. There were usually two issue stories, mm -hmm. um, and one of them that that Brew featured uh, he heavily in um, that they they went over a little bit in the uh, in the bio here was entitled "God Loves Moon Kills." Oh God, <laughs> that sounds insane. <laughs> Something was wrong with the moon, and uh, and Brew and I think Gorilla Man were up there and uh, had had to radio for help, and so uh, Wasp and Man Wolf and and Mockingbird uh, okay. showed up, showed up to help. So I mean, it, it it is it is kind of a cool idea, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, rather than having. Um, you know, just just seven core Avengers or whatever that sure. that they they would need help, and you know maybe you do need more than uh, Jarvis or Henry Gyrick or Dwayne Freeman to uh to to, to help you out. And uh, so you know it it, it is is kind of a, a cool idea and makes a certain amount of sense. I I don't know if the series is going anymore. I know I got eight issues of it mm -hmm. um digitally, but just I mean. Just kind of a, a fun thing and a, a catch-all with characters that are interesting, but maybe couldn't sustain their own uh, their own series for long. Well, except you got Black Panther on there. I'm sure, sure it, the technical sure. title was Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda. Okay. So, um, it, just just a, a, a neat way to uh, you know explore some different corners of the Marvel universe. Oh, that sounds wild. That sounds uh, that that's one of those concepts that shouldn't work, but I'm sure it works very very well. That sounds very fun. And Jason Aaron wrote the uh, the Agents of Wakanda too, or was that Jim Zub? That was that was Jim Zub. Uh, Jason Zub Aaron. Took, wrote, uh, okay. I want to say it was Avengers number thirteen. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody thinks that that sounds cool, but doesn't want to dive, uh, doesn't want to commit to eight issues or eight plus issues of Agents of Wakanda, I believe it was Avengers number thirteen, kind of the uh, kind of the uh, cooling down period between their first two big uh, stories. There was one with the gotcha. Celestial. That, I forget what the second one was, um, but uh, but but yeah, just just kind of one of those um, slow down and re reset issues. Kind of showed gotcha. you the, the the cast of characters that that was assembled, and then that grew into the series. Oh, very very cool. Yeah. So if uh, if anybody out there, I'm sure that's on Marvel Unlimited as well, because that's uh, yeah. probably what two or three years ago, huh? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I mean, who knows what volume number Avengers? <laughs> exactly. Eight hundred and seventy-four. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say thirteen, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll get that to you for sure, and you can oh, uh, fantastic. You can share it on the group or something like that. Excellent, excellent. And uh, that's basically it. He then Krakoa happens, and yeah. he eats an egg. The the, the one thing I, I I will say that excited me the most when I went back and read this. Mm. Is that um, it talks about um, a, at the end of term festivities, it says that Brew is moved to tears when Quentin graduated. Yes. 
So why is he still a student in Generation X Volume Two? I keep I keep wanting to say that, and then I'm like, just Google it, just look it up. Don't make you know Chris and Damien and everybody tell you what happened. Just look it up. It's right here in black and white. He graduated. I don't. Maybe that's how Generation X Volume Two ends. I. I... I don't know. But I, mean, I remember him graduating in Wolverine and the X-Men. That's now, right. He did. Don't get me wrong. Quentin could certainly use some uh, some more instruction and some remedial <laughs> classes. But, it, I was, uh, you know, it's I mean, and there's all these continuity glitches and changes and stuff. But I, I for some reason, every time I'm reading along with Generation X, Volume 2, I'm like, no, he's not a student anymore. <laughs> Give me a line saying, hey, you cheated in, uh, you know, alien biology and you had to come yes. back. <laughs> so he's 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 still a student and somehow Paige is now a doctor. <laughs> oh, boy. But uh, Paige was not in a good place at the end of Wolverine and the X-Men. She no. was like, I think she was ready to date Toad. And he was like, no, I'm not going to let you sink this far. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord, I forgot all about that. I got to reread that. That is that is such a damn fun series. Oh, man. That that's got to be a a reread sometime soon. That's oh that is a blast. But uh, that's Brew. <laughs> that is Brew here, and uh, he would go on to bring the Brood Army into uh, the Annihilation Wave uh, at the end of uh, X of Tens, right? And uh, single-handedly win the war, right? Maybe 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 Ewing will uh, get him in that uh, Guardians uh, sword crossover you're you're chomping at the bit to read. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it. I hope it ties into Snark War and uh, and the planet Zack Soxoso and uh, oh boy. Yeah, how, and the Zen Rooks. Boom Boom not involved in Snark War. I just. <laughs> when, the first time I saw Snark War, I'm like, did Bendis write this? <laughs> it, just, it seems like something that he would have written, but. Uh, but that'll do it for Brew, unless, unless you have anything more to, to add to our uh, our little friend here. No, no, I I, I think we have pretty much uh, exhaustively covered the history of Brew. Um, the life of times. I, I I hope I hope there's more. Uh, I'm, yes. not, I'm not sure how I feel about him being the the king of the brood, but uh, if comics do nothing else, they uh, tend to snap back to uh, <laughs> back to basics a lot. That's, so that I'm is sure cool. See him being uh, delightful and wearing a suit and tie and. Uh, <laughs> Just helping out whoever needs it uh, before long. Yeah, we'll have a Generation X Volume Three, and he'll just be standing at the door, and Glob Herman will be walking in the background. It'll it'll be Shark Girl will be you know walking down a flight of stairs. It's everything will be back to the way it needs to be. But uh, yeah. I want to thank you so much for coming on to the 200th episode. How about you tell folks where they can find some of your work? Okay, well, I I got a I've got a blog going finally. I I ha- have to give a Give give you a, a little bit of credit. Uh, I'm thinking, man, if Chris can put out all these shows daily, I, I can write something, right? <laughs> and, uh, no, I mean, but but, but seriously, you know, I've enjoyed and, and even even some of the other stuff. Just uh, you know, kind of the way you approach single issues. I didn't I didn't want to want to copy it or anything, but I'm like, this is fun. This is this mm-hmm. this, this is neat. I I can I I can have some fun with this, and uh, I I've uh, I've written once or twice about uh about Dawn of X topics. Uh, some mm-hmm. things that I uh, that I even tested out on on you with uh, all yep. new all deadly X Men, um, so that's at asterisk fifty one dot blogspot dot com, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, let's see I I do uh, I I have uh, written a web comic that you can find the first two issues of on Webtoons 
support group about a support group for people with lame superpowers. Oh, in case wonderful. your doesn't go the way they show up uh, in the comics, <laughs> issue three ought to be up there. Uh, and uh, issue four is scripted and partially drawn, so we'll we'll see uh, if real life uh, quits getting in the way of that at some point. Very very uh, cool. And we'll have all the uh, links to to uh, to Evan's work on uh, on the sh- in the show notes and at uh, Chris's on Infinite Earth. So everything will be there, easy, just uh, clickable links to to find all the good stuff. But uh, I want to, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming here for uh, for the X Lapsed Gala, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the Festival of X Lapsed, um, the 200th episode. Yeah, I didn't have to dress up like uh, all those Dodderman. Uh... Yes. Yeah. Costumes. I, I, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna get my Steve Martin arrow through the head, like uh, Emma <laughs> Frost wears in, in the cover of those things, and it'd be all good. But um, I also want to thank you for for being uh, such a big part of X Lapsed, um, sharing ideas, uh, sending in, sending in feedback. Just uh, all the discussion is, I, 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 I am not exaggerating at all. It helps keep me going. Um, it really helps make this show as engaging and as fun and as uh, just a, a pensive, you know, it, it, thoughts. It's just a great discussion. So thank you so oh. much for being a part of it. Hey, it's a blast. Thank, thanks for doing it. And thanks for uh, for not getting annoyed at uh, three messages about the same uh, episode and issue. <laughs> oh, no, no. The more, the better. I, I love hearing from you. I love hearing from everybody. And uh, it's it's that's like my favorite part of the show is, is just – Shooting the breeze, talking about stuff that we we've we've read, and just I mean, if 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 nothing else, the Hickman run here will go down for me as a discussion-heavy era. You know, there were eras I enjoyed more, but and this is something like when we cover an issue of Hellions, it's like I love this issue, but that's a good news, bad news thing because what am I gonna say I, other than I love this issue? With the Hickman run here, there's just so much food for thought, and um. It, and there are a lot of very, very talented creators in here. Um, uh, of course, Zeb Wells, Jerry Duggan, who's taken over the flagship. So many great ideas, so many awesome characters. Um, we're going so far from tradition, but at the same time, it feels more traditional than it's felt for a very long time. So much to talk about, so much to bat back and forth. And there are things that I don't see. There are things that that some listeners may not see. We're just filling in blanks for one another. Even in this very episode, not to uh, not to lead the cart here, not to put the cart ahead of the horse or whatever, but in reading some of these, triggered some uh, triggered some ideas and discussions. And we're just like, wait a minute. Well, if this happened, then doesn't that mean this? You'll you'll hear some of our uh, hot takes during the Maura McTaggart discussion. It's it's very interesting stuff that we missed out on the first time. And it was just, it was just in co- having the conversation back and forth. It's like, wait a minute, that means this. Oh yeah, and it's I'm great. looking forward to it. Oh, and this episode was supposed to be like an hour and a half long. I think it's going to be more like eight or nine at this point. But uh, hey, it'll get you through. And uh, hey, it's... I, uh, I, I need, uh, I need uh, listening material while I'm mowing the lawn. So uh... there you go. I like being in people's ear while they're having, uh, while they're doing their chores and going about their day. It's a, it's it's a great feeling, and I and I say that with all honesty. It is a a wonderful feeling to be part of people's day, uh, as I as I like to say. But thank you again so much, Evan, and uh, I'll let you get on with the rest of your day, and uh, we'll get on to the next segment. All right, thanks, Chris. 
Okie dokie, episode 200 rolls on with the first of our two Captain Britain entries. We've got two Captain, well, we have one Captain Britain, but uh, they're both in here as Captain Britain. It's uh, Betsy and Brian, so uh, we're doing Brian right now. And to do so, I've got my friend Jesse Starcher with me to help navigate this, uh, well, this fairly thin bio that we get in the handbook here. Uh, thank you for being on with me, Jesse, and how are you doing today? Oh, Christian, I don't know about me helping navigate. I certainly do not have a map <laughs> and have any ideas where we're going. Uh, you'll be the one uh, teaching me under the uh, learning tree today. Uh, I, I, you know, I know a little bit about Brian Braddock and and Captain Britain, especially mm-hmm. after having discussions with you on the uh, Claremont to Claremont podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I said, when we first started doing that book, Excalibur, that was the first time I had really jumped into those characters sure so so this is going to be something new for me to experience and learn because again this is a character that i just i never really had a chance to dive into Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's uh, i think a lot of folks of our vintage are uh maybe don't don't give brian the uh don't hold him in such high esteem uh because I mean, he didn't have his own book when we were growing up. He mm-hmm. was in Excalibur, which was like always like that X-Men book that we didn't read. You know, yeah. Uh, it yeah. was it was a, like 50 cents more expensive. And you only recognized a couple of people in there. Brian's not a mutant. And I mean, it just seemed like a, a weird thing, a very weird yeah. thing. And it wasn't in America. <laughs> and I exactly. mean, as weird as it might sound, it might there. I mean, the world is a lot smaller now than it was in 1991. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing things that happened, uh, you know, across the pond. And it's like, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a problem with relating to it, but it's just like it feels less urgent, maybe. I don't well, know. You remember the line of Marvel UK comics? Oh, we're going to talk about them a little bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember distinctly like looking upon those with disdain when they were on the shelves at the comic mm-hmm. store or at the bookstore, wherever I went. And just because I was like, Marvel UK, I mean, why do I want to spend my money on that? Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're right, though. I mean, this is something that a little bit of a blind spot just because culturally I was I, I, for some reason I was averse to it. I don't know why it was stupid, <laughs> really. But, you know, I'm I, I, so that's why going back and enjoying what we've done so far talking about Excalibur has opened my eyes a little bit. And I have a feeling I'll be talking about. Uh, some of the Marvel UK comics myself soon, but mm-hmm. yeah, man. Um, yeah. So it's Captain Britain. Uh, what do we got? Well, what we've got here is, uh, well, the entire life and times with this character here, but before we get into that now you're on here for a particular reason, and it's because you haven't been following the X books here. So I just, I decided I wanted to like kind of blindside you with everything that's happened since Jonathan Hickman took over here, just to get your reaction to, how different things are nowadays. Oh, um, yeah. Now, Jonathan Hickman's run started with Hoxpox, right? House of X, Powers of X, the two miniseries that were one. You know, they alternated. So you, or they alternated mostly, but then they were like two in a row of this, two in a row of that. It was 12-part story. And in it, the X-Men have relocated to the island of Krakoa. So they live on Krakoa. Okay. And... And in order to make it so Krakoa is acknowledged by the rest of the world as a nation, like a sovereign nation, Krakoa grows magical medicines. There are three magical medicines. One, like, can stop Alzheimer's and um, 
any sort of mental uh, distress. Okay. One is like the world's greatest um, antibiotic, and I think the other one is a cure for cancer. So wow. you ha- yeah, so you have these amazing drugs here, and Professor X is like, we'll let you have them because they just grow here. We'll let you have them if you recognize us as a sovereign nation. So that's okay. where the X-Men are right now. And you remember Maura McTaggart, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we knew her as like a human ally to the X-Men, right? Absolutely. She, she's not that anymore. Oh, uh, no. She's actually a mutant with the um, with the mutant ability to be uh, reborn and like repeat her life over and over again, but okay. keeping the same memories. So she's in her 10th life right now, but has all the memories of her previous nine. Uh, okay. All right. Hold on. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, is this something – she wasn't a mutant before, was she? She, uh, wasn't, she was not. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. And so, yeah. yeah, I obviously have missed that. Yes. Uh, yes. There was a, it was in House of X number two. Uh, Maura McTaggart shows up. Professor X reads her mind and he like freaks the f out. If I if I made a Doctor Who joke, would that go uh, like completely? <laughs> I wouldn't uh, get it, but maybe a listener would. <laughs> I could, well, I just think that does she have like when she has when she dies and comes back, does she like glow a bright orange or <laughs> is she just what happens in the rebirth process? I, I'm curious. Her life just starts again. Okay, so yeah. it's not like she's lived for like a, a linear thousand years. Okay. She's lived the same lifetime over and over again. All right. So like in her first life, um, she didn't know she was a mutant because her her power her power manifested when she was a teenager. She felt very very sick, but she exhibited no powers until she died, and then she was brought back. So that was the okay. first use of her powers. I'm so yeah, so she lived for I think she died at seventy seven years old. And she was born again, started her life where she was born originally, and had memories of her entire lifetime. That's actually a pretty cool It's interesting. Yeah. It is very interesting here. So she, like, made different decisions. She realized, like, okay, uh, I married this one guy in my first life. Maybe I don't do that my second life. Yeah. And so she doesn't. And uh, then she sees uh, – you're familiar with the Grant Morrison run. Uh, you've seen some of that, right? The X-Men? I think so. Yeah, yeah. We're talking uh, – oh, my goodness. That Grant Almost Morrison, about 20 years ago. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about there. It, during that run, one of the things that Morrison did was that he had Professor X come out as a mutant on television because up till that point, people didn't know he was a mutant. He was just the guy with the school. So he came out as a mutant. And in Mora's second life, she was watching that on television and was like, wait a minute, maybe I'm a mutant too. So she hops on a plane to go meet Xavier and the plane crashes. Oh. So then her third life, fourth life, fifth life, in some life she's with Xavier and it doesn't – and the, uh, humanity changes quite a bit. It becomes something called post-humanity. It's a, a melding of machines and biology basically. And the mutants are taken out. And the world turns into a hive mind. It's very high concept stuff that kind of goes over my head uh, most of the time. But she's Damn. trying to stop this from happening. Okay. So in some lives, she's with Xavier and then finds out, wait, that didn't work. So then the next time she goes with Magneto and then uh, gives Magneto all the information he needs. And instead of actually trying to save the world, Magneto goes, 
huh, I'm going to take over America. And he does until the Avengers kill him. So it's her whole nine lives leading up to right now is a learning experience. It's all these lessons learned in one of them. She's with apocalypse. She wakes apocalypse and she's with him since he's all about survival of the fittest and her whole mission in her lives is survival. Um, She had a run in with the, uh, with the, with the brotherhood of evil mutants. This is the mystique and destiny version, like the uh, days of future past crew Uh, destiny, a precog could see everything about Mora. She knew everything. She's okay. like, I, I know you've died. I know you come back. And at this point, Moira had started, um, she had created a drug to cure mutantum. And Destiny's like, no, no, no. We're not letting you do that. And so she says, uh, we're going to kill you right now, <laughs> knowing you're going to come back. But if I get even the whiff that you're going to do this, that you're going to do this mutant, uh, this mutant cure again, I'll kill you before puberty and then you'll never manifest your, uh, your powers. And she also tells her that you have 10, maybe 11 lives. That's what I was going to ask if there was a limit. Yeah. She says 10, maybe 11. We're in the 10th one right now, which means maybe destiny screwing with her. Maybe Mm. 10 is it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's infinite, but now we have this, this self-preservation in mind for Mora here, where she is complete, she's hiding under Krakoa right now okay. in a place where no one can find her. And uh, another big thing about this era is the resurrection protocols. Now, this is exactly what it sounds like. Mutants don't die anymore. Well, they die, but they come right back. Okay. So they have, uh, you're, you're familiar with the Bendis run. Um Gold balls. Do you remember gold balls? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <I> do. <laughs> gold balls. Uh, he has a new name now. It's egg. And okay. he creates eggs. And that's where these husks of the dead mutants grow. So it's a group called the five who work in the hatchery in Krakoa. So you have Hope Summers. You have Tempest, another one from the from the Bendis era. Uh, Proteus, uh, Maura McTaggart's son. And uh, Elixir from the Academy X kids here, their powers combine and they can create life. So if Wolverine dies, bada bing, bada boom, he's in a gold ball. Professor X is always walking around with a Cerebro helmet on now because he is backing up the data on every mutant. Exactly what I was going to ask. Okay. Like, how how do we, we've got a, a, a reborn mutant, does it? their personality yep. slash mind and everything. Okay. So he, he downloads them into those husks. Basically. I, okay. Yep. That's right. it. And I mean, we have a lot of questions and we talk, we've been talking about it on the show for ages now, but uh, they're actually starting to address it on the page talking about souls. Like, do they have souls? Are they the same person? And um, there've been some very interesting questions that, that have been asked here. And uh, what are your thoughts so far on this new, uh, this brave new world? Well, it's a lot different from the 90s <laughs> X-Men that I was used to. Uh, even, uh-huh. like I said, with, uh, <laughs> with, with going into uh, the Brian Michael Bendis run, uh, where I stopped about you know a few issues in, or however many issues it took to, got, to get to Battle of the Atom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I didn't expect it to stay the same in any way. Sure. I mean, I know how comics works, but wow. Yeah, things it's are a wild. little bit different. It's wild, it's wild, for sure. And another thing that Krakoa can do, can do is grow uh, seeds that turn into t- 
teleportation gateways. So they have teleportation gateways all over the Earth and, and, and into space. So all they have to do is step through a gate, and it's a mutant-only thing. Only mutants can access these things unless they're a, a human can if they're given special allowance to and if they're accompanied by a mutant, basically. Okay. So we can be anywhere at any time. We don't die anymore. And, uh, and oh, also, uh, Professor X w uh, welcomed every mutant in the galaxy to live on Krakoa. And so people like Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister and uh, Exodus and every Eve Omega Red, they're all living on Krakoa. Um, so... Got their, they, you want to stay away from that part of town, I would imagine. <laughs> well, actually, Mystique, Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, Sebastian Shaw, they're part of the uh, Krakoan government. Okay. Yeah, things have changed. Yes, a little bit. A wow. little bit here. So, right, um, <laughs> Let me ask a real quick question. It's probably sure. going to date, date myself in regards to probably one of the last few things I remember in regards mm -hmm. to, to mutants. Did... I remember at one point we were down to like very scant 98. Yes. Okay. Uh, it has that resolved itself or are we still at that level or what's the deal? I'm so glad you asked that because uh, <laughs> that was going to bring me to my next point. Actually, mutants are back. You know, um, Hope Summers was born. She was the first mutant to, to be born post M day. Uh, and slowly but surely mutants have been showing up again. So, I mean, we're looking at the Marvel Voices anthology books. They're uh, they're the ones that like you have uh, Indigenous Voices um, Legacy. We have Pride coming out in a few weeks, and they're basically anthologies. And sometimes the X Men are in them, and it feels like I'm reading an old school X Men Unlimited from the '90s because it'll just oh, be yeah. we're in a neighborhood and here's a new mutant. <laughs> it's like <laughs> wow, it's 1994 again. How about get that? that first appearance. You got to. You got to. <laughs> so, yes, the mutants are back, but there are still depowered mutants. You know, there are still X amount, hundreds of thousands. Right now, the, the population on Krakoa is 200,000, give or take. So a lot of mutants. Mm -hmm. And we have like uh, like some of the uh, Academy X kids who were just depowered. They made up something called the Crucible. Now, this is a huge thing in this current era. The Crucible is kind of what it sounds like. It's an arena event. So the first time we went to the Crucible was when Sam Guthrie's sister, uh, Arrow, uh, she was a mutant who was depowered on M-Day. She had, uh, like, wind-based powers, as her name might suggest. We're hearing these whispers about something called the Crucible and how you have to, like, put in to be part of this Crucible. And Arrow is accepted, and she's told, yes, the Crucible is tonight. You show up there, and uh, we'll take care of you. We're going to give you a gift. And that gift is being killed by Apocalypse in front of a roaring crowd. Oh, for Pete's sake. And then she's reborn in the hatchery with her mutant powers returned. Ah, okay. All right. So that's a biggie. That's okay. a biggie, and that's something that uh, that we're still. I mean, I, I get listener mail on that a few times a week because it's <laughs> it's huge, it's huge. So like, I'll ask you here. The crowd is basically all the people that we we know and love as the as the X Men. You know, mm -hmm. there is everybody from Professor X to Magneto to Strong Guy to to Wolverine's son to X twenty three, all in the crowd. And wow. Apocalypse is killing a young girl 
Yeah, wow. While they're cheering it on. Not. And they're, like chan- I- and they're chanting mutant, mutant, mutant. Okay. All right. So that feels like a, a strange form of like extremism or something. You know, it's like, yes, you know, they. It's culty. Yeah, it's very culty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I am. Wow. I don't know. There's probably a <laughs> lot of. There's got to be a lot of questions as to whether this is right. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it, you would think that the people that are in the crowd that you just named off would be the ones going, you know, should we be doing this? Yeah. They were usually the ones that did. Mm-hmm. I, the only they, one who sees through it is Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is the only one who's like, why are we doing this? Because well, that even makes a, sense to me. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. there's even a scene very, very recently where uh, Apocalypse, he's he's kind of off the table right now. So Magneto is the one working the Crucible, and he's enjoying every second of it. <laughs> like, because he's turned he's turned good. You know, he's he's a good guy now. He's not killing yet. He will. I don't be know. Soon. You are like stoking some fires there that shouldn't <laughs> have been yes. even ignited. Yes. So like, you have Magneto, and you're like, hey. You want to get away with murder? Wow. <laughs> and he just like rubs his hands together. Okay. Oh, yeah, I mean, in. if I have to, I guess. How else are we going to get these? These people want it. Yes, they oh, wow. need it. So wow. Nightcrawler goes in and he's like trying to stop this from happening. And Magneto overpowers him and just drives a blade right through this poor depowered mutant. And um, Nightcrawler is just there like with his head in his hands and... Uh, he's approached by Dr. Nemesis, and he's like, so what do you think? And Nightcrawl is like, you know, I'm not even mad at Magneto, because that's Magneto. He's like, what I'm troubled by is that the crowd is lapping this up. They're just cheering, hooting, and hollering. It's like, you know, it's like Goldberg's at Hogan, right? I mean, just people <laughs> yeah. just on their feet for they this. Yeah. They did. Yeah, so this is the world we live in now. And... <laughs> And the story we're going to discuss, or that we have discussed on the show, but the story that is the reason for this handbook, X of Swords, we call it X of Tens on the show, we call it the Festival of Swords, because Jonathan Hickman thinks it's clever to use the letter X to mean ten, Mm -hmm. so it's supposed to be like ten of swords, but I'm not going to call it that, because no, it's it's X. (laughs) we're, We're almost sure that he's going to be like, hey guys, since 1963 you've been reading Ten Men. Um, we're just waiting for it. We're just waiting for it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's I, I have heard in uh, just listening to other podcasts, uh, some people talking and discussing this storyline, uh, not in depth. And, uh, I, you know, obviously yours is out there and, and I have so many podcasts that I've got to try and get through at some point when oh, you're sure. done with this one. I'm going to start the first one and go all the way through. <laughs> You've been doing this daily, which yep. is. <laughs> Wow. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's yeah, it, it, I've heard the whole House of X and House of Ten, whatever. Uh, now we're at X of Swords. So, man, oh, man, it, this is uh, this is a journey for sure. I've, I've learned a lot so far. Excellent. Excellent. So we will we'll get into Brian's bio here. Um, we've got bullet points. Uh, anything anything you want to jump in with, please feel free to. Okay. But uh, we're going to get into the uh, to the bio here. Now, Brian's story actually begins before he was even born, because his father, James Braddock, was sent from Otherworld 
and you all know me, I hate Otherworld, um, but he was sent there from Otherworld to the 616 from by Merlin in order to sire a champion. And so he and his wife Elizabeth would have three children. First, they had twins, Brian and that weirdo Jamie Braddock, and then their little sister Betsy, who, you know, we know as, uh, well, we know her now as Captain Britain. We I can used tell to know you that. her. Okay. I, I, I was just going to say, I didn't know anything outside of Brian and Betsy. Mm-hmm. I did not oh, yeah. know of Jamie. So, Jamie uh, is a nut. Yeah. yeah, that's what I learned here as I was reading. <laughs> we uh, we get a little bit of insight into Jamie, uh, and I'm sure there's plenty more because this is obviously uh, Brian's biography. But mm-hmm. my goodness, that boy's troubled. He is. He is indeed. Now, um, Brian would work at a nuclear research center, and the place would be attacked by Reaver. Now, Reaver is a dude named Joshua Stragg, not the Reavers that we might know from the Outback era or... Yeah. I guess even the current year Marauders variants on the Reavers that we've uh, that we've seen post X of Swords. I had to hop onto the internet to make sure. <laughs> I, I was like, wait a second, a Reaver? No, the Reaver. No, wait, the wait, Reaver, there wasn't yes. the Reaver. And I mean, this this takes uh, this is something that I think every single segment of this show that we've complained about is the fact that we have all this great information here, but they don't tell us where to find it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Hey, give us give us a, an issue to go to. I mean, of course, that's a UK issue. It's going to be in the middle of like like Spider-Man and Zoids number 15 and a half or something. I mean, <laughs> all those weird numberings that they had back in the 80s. But help us out. Right. Please, please. Now, Brian would be mortally wounded, which becomes a theme with him. Uh, what also becomes a theme with him is that Merlin and Roma would come to him and uh, they made him that Captain Britain offered. You want the Sword of Might or the Amulet of Right? And he would take the Amulet, of course. And thus, he was transformed into Captain Britain. Now, this is probably the briefest way anybody ever summed up a seminal run on a character. It's uh, Brian would discover that he's not the only Captain Britain in the multiverse, but rather he was part of the core, which glosses over the entire Dave Thorpe and Alan Moore runs. So... Uh, <laughs> In a sentence, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, now, folks who've been uh, familiar with the Chris's on Infinite Earths blog, I was doing an X-Lapsed Origins uh, uh, series where I was taking a look at these early Captain Britain stories, the earliest, uh, you know, uh, times we were in Otherworld, the first time we ever saw Saturnine, all that stuff, the Fury, uh, Mad Jim Jaspers, all that stuff is there. So if anybody wants more than this one sentence, you can find it there, or you could, you know, just read the uh, the source material there. And uh, now soon after this, Betsy, the little sister, would manifest her mutant abilities. Uh, Brian would meet Megan and the two would hit it off real well. Mm-hmm. Then uh, during a time where Brian refused to work with RCX, which is Research Control Executive, they'd lure him out of Britain because he was no use to them. And uh, they would be like, hey, you got a sister and uh, eh, why can't she be Captain Britain? And uh, so they put her in the role. Brian would have a pretty rough homecoming. He found out that his weirdo brother had become a slave trader and uh, also that his sister replaced him as Captain Britain. And so he would renounce the title at this point. This would be short lived uh, because Brian would retake the mantle after Betsy had her eyeballs removed in a battle with the Slaymaster. Ouch. Yes, uh, she'd get a you know pair of artificial peepers and she would wind up joining the X-Men. This was a. Uh, I think this was New Mutants Annual Number Two was Betsy's first appearance in the states. Okay. Now, following the fall of the mutants and the apparent deaths of the X Men, Brian and Megan would found Excalibur. 
Now, this would include the supposed remnants of the X-Men in Nightcrawler, Call Me Kate, and Rachel. After this, Brian learned about Psylocke's body swap with Quanon because, in case you guys didn't know, there was a time where Psylocke, or where Betsy was in uh, Quanon's body. That's uh, right. I, yeah. I think I, I remember that clearly. Yes, and, and it's something that, even to this very day, we cannot get like a page of Betsy without them mentioning it. It is just... <laughs> Like, I, I know, I know, I, I might not be the sharpest bulb in the drawer here, but it's like, I get it. <laughs> I, one time, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. And they're, they're, they're still fighting all the time, too. So, because, because uh, Quanan is back, too. She, she's back. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And right. she is now Psylocke. So, Quanan right. is back. She has the Psylocke name. So, she's basically the Jim Lee, you know, purple suited ninja, right? Yep, yep, yep. But now she's actually an Asian woman in there instead of a British woman in an Asian body. Okay. And Betsy is, you know, she will she will become Captain Britain herself here. Okay. Now, uh, Brian would get lost through time. He would return with a lot of knowledge that might be coming down the pike here. And he would take the name Britannic. Mm-hmm. Probably because it was more 90s sounding than Captain Britain. I'm guessing. <laughs> That's my guess as well. I, I, uh, I mean, look. We understand Brian's a real smart dude, mm-hmm. all right? There is the Encyclopedia Britannica. There you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, and there well, was I learned a large... what my mandible was. <laughs> <laughs> there is a large ship called the Titanic. Mm. Uh, so, you know, and, and Brian's pretty large. I, I don't know. I'm pulling this all just out of the ether here and trying to make sense of it. But, hey, there you go. I think you hit it on the head there. <laughs> now, we get to the end of Excalibur here, where he and Megan would get married. That was Excalibur 125. From here, Brian would go on to briefly rule Otherworld. Now, after a time, they were called back, and after a battle, Megan was believed to be dead, or at the very least, indefinitely missing. Mm-hmm. Now, we jump ahead all the way to Secret Invasion, where uh, Brian would join up with Pete Wisdom's MI-13, He'd die and be resurrected by Merlin again. Uh, that, right, that I was say, are we catch, yeah. uh, keeping count here? Because I think we're at two at least. Well, actually, we glossed over one in the Alan Moore run. Three. So, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> at least three times he's been killed and brought back to life by Merlin. <laughs> uh, he would help defeat the Skrulls, this time wielding the actual Excalibur sword. So there's something. Um, MI-13 would move on to way more boring things, like stopping Dracula from starting a vampire nation in the UK. Uh, and uh, that's the exact same thing that's... Well, not the UK, but Dracula is back at the vampire nation thing in the pages of Wolverine right this very minute. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're hanging out at Chernobyl right now, the uh, Dracula and his uh, and his vampires. So. All right, at Chernobyl. At Chernobyl, yeah, because okay. that's, you know, no human's going to hang out there for very long, so. Nope. It's, 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 I guess that's clever enough. I would say, I would say still, so, yeah. I'm not a fan of the vampire, so it's still kind of boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, he would be reunited with Megan, who had changed, uh, who had managed to escape hell somehow. Uh, she was also now calling herself Gloriana. So okay. Megan is no more. I guess Megan is still her real name. But uh, even, even her, uh. She has a bio in this very book for reasons that I have not the foggiest, and they refer to her as Gloriana in that. So I want to know, does do they cover the name change? 
You like, know, they might. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious as to whether she explains or they explain yeah, as to like, why. She got, just decided she needed a change maybe here. I mean, I'm done going by my first name. Okay. All right. Yes. That sounds good. Just pick one. All right. <laughs> now, um, Brian would go on to join the Avengers because it was the late 2000s. And at this point, everybody was an Avenger. Oh, yeah. He would then secretly join S.H.I.E.L.D. because it was the early 2010s, and at this point, everybody was mixed up in S.H.I.E.L.D., so there's that. Then he'd get mixed up in some of your very favorite stuff, the Marvel UK stuff. Oh, boy. Yes, they brought back relics of that early 90s attempt to make it a workable imprint here. Motormouth and Kill Power and uh, Death's Head 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now we're talking some... Of my language, at least, uh, Dark covers Angel. I saw. Yeah. <laughs> Dark Angels on the... Oh, my... Wild Child? Wild Thing. Uh, wild Thing. There you go. Wild Child. <laughs> I know. I, there, I knew I was getting that mixed up with something. Wild, wild Thing. Looked like Aeon Flux. Yes, she did. And... Now, this, this was a story that um, Kill Power and Brian's old elf pal Jackdaw would be corrupted by demons. And they would attempt to, uh, stop us if you heard this one before, invade the Earth. That almost never happens in the Marvel Universe, right? Uh, I love this demon's name, uh, and I would love to hear you pronounce it, if you can. <laughs> what is it? Because I, if you can't, it's it's like oh. on the order of Naastra. And, I mean, Sim was easy enough. Now, I'm repeating demon names that I remember from Inferno. I, that, I pronounce that Nastir. I love it. That yes. sounds great. That's exactly <laughs> what we're going to go with. I don't know, of course, you know, my young brain when I was trying to put that together, I just stuck with that. So the this one right here, I would have loved to know what my 11 year old brain would have came up with, um, because it's like uh, it starts with an M or something. If I remember right, I'm looking through here just trying to find it. Do you have it in front of you? I'm flipping there right now. Here. I, uh. I wish I could. Let me give me a second. I will find it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll tell you a little bit about Nastir while you look it up here. Please do. This um, is the horse-faced demon from yes, Inferno. Yes, from Inferno, though, who stole all the babies. He is currently held captive in limbo by magic, who is torturing him by having uh, little imps play. You remember recorders back in, like, elementary school? The thing that I have, you, do, you would I have on, right? three children. Oh, so, so you're, yes. you're well familiar yeah. with uh, the B-A-G, B-A-G. Um, so she has... These little imps tooting uh, the uh, Proclaimer song, I Would Walk 500 Miles oh, at Nest Here for Eternity. Uh, and it's it's probably just because of the events of Inferno yes. that's made her so mad. <laughs> yep, so that is that is his uh, lot in life now where, like, uh, young Cable – oh, because Cable is a kid now. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Cable is a uh, like a teenager at this point. I, he's probably going to be an old man again pretty soon, but uh, – He's, he was a teenager at the moment, and he went down to Limbo to try to get some information. And Nest here was like, "I'll do whatever you want, just get me out of here." And he's thinking that <laughs> he's thinking like like they're pulling his fingernails out or something. And no, no, it's just like doot, 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 uh, for eternity. That is horrific. I mean, I, honestly, I I've I've endured probably two or three hours of that. So whoever wrote that is clearly <laughs> a parent and knows exactly what they're doing uh, to get across the fact that. That is torture. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know who decided a recorder was going to be an instrument. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. 
<laughs> I, I never see. I never had to experience that in school. Uh, they never gave them to me, and they. And, I don't know if my school was just too poor to own those and decided we weren't <laughs> going to do that, or they were like, listen, we want to take some sympathy upon the parents, and we're just never going to there do it. There you go. But this school district <laughs> I'm in now, different story. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, those were uh, not pleasant to listen to, but uh, now they would win. The, this is the, the, the Marvel UK resurgence here. It was called the Revolutionary War. Uh, it was a sort of kind of event. Um the heroes win the day, because of course they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian would go on to form the Braddock Academy, a UK-based school for young superheroes at this point. And I believe some of the students of the Braddock Academy uh, would be part of Avengers Arena. Do you remember Avengers Arena? Uh, yeah, I think maybe. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was like a takeoff of Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Yes, yes. Okay, I remember the, the uh, reading that. Didn't that involve Darkhawk? Yes, he was there. Um, like there were like thirty young ca- young heroes yeah. there. It was a, uh, it was basically arcade, having fun. Like yes. arcade took all these kids to an island and it's like, hey, kill each other. And uh, it's a concept that never should have worked, but it was a it, lot of fun. I did, I did remember reading that. Got that one from the library and really, and I didn't know what I was getting into, but really much. Oh yeah, enjoyed. very very bizarre, very bizarre and and very very fun. Uh, a, one of the things that came out of Marvel now that uh, that I still remember fondly, which isn't much. Well. <laughs> to that. Um, now then, Secret Wars 2015 would happen, and uh, the the multiverse would be collapsed upon. The Captain Britain Corps were no more because, I mean, how can you have a core without a multiverse? So, no Captain Britain Corps for now. Brian would lose an eye and then be cast out of Otherworld, and boy, do I wish that were permanent. Well, the other world thing. I'm I'm happy he has his eye back, but the other world thing. I, I wish it was forever because I, oh, I, I I I'm sensing a dislike for other world. That's just oh, my boy. end. It's like every time a story gets going in these books, it's like, oh, what's happening in other world? Uh, oh, I don't want to go to other world. Let's find out. Yes, let's spend let's spend 18 issues of Excalibur there. Mm. No, and 22 parts of X of Swords there. No, mm. no it's it, it, it. You know, there's a time and a place, right? Uh, we talked uh, off the air about the Alan Davis Otherworld, which was more whimsical and funny and silly, and just there was an underlying sinisterness to it, but it was like it was more fun. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. it's now it's basically the uh, the D and D handbook, where it's like this is where the druids are. This is the vampire sector. It's like come on. <laughs> Oh boy, like we get like a map like out of D and D, where but but less detailed. So it's like a glob of circles, and it's like, well, this circle is uh, Malekith, and it's like, I, who cares? Not a fan, huh? No, no, not much at all. Uh, now, uh, what is it? The uh, upon his return to the six one six, Brian would join the Illuminati. Oh boy. Yeah, the Illuminati. That was a, I believe that was a Bendis concept. And the angle there was that there was a secret society who was like behind the scenes for everything. So these were the smartest. Yeah. Professor uh, X, Namor, uh, Mr. Fantastic. Just uh, a fun story as like a concept, but like actually having it as part of the shared universe is like a little, little troublesome. (laughs) Yeah. One of those things that's hard to walk back, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these guys are supposedly pulling the strings on a lot of things. And uh, I remember I wasn't 
reading faithfully Marvel continuity at this point. Okay. I knew that, you know, Secret Wars was about to happen, and mm-hmm. I, I had to get myself ready uh, to kind of understand what we were getting into and what led to this. Uh, sure. So as we were going through this bio, you know, this kind of filled in a little bit of a hole for me. I knew who the Illuminati were. I remember hearing hints of the map makers and yes. the Beyonders and you know, Beyonders, obviously a name that I'm going to recognize from the original Secret Wars and, and Secret Wars, too. Um, but, uh, you know, this kind of fills in a, a few holes for me. So, if, you know, I didn't want to interrupt you, but go ahead. Please no, continue. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, Secret Wars was one of those things that um, you know, that's another Hickman thing. It was yeah. one of the X-Books right now. And I wanted to be in on it so bad. And I just couldn't. I, I pre-ordered everything that was X-related. So you, they canceled everything for Secret Wars. So every comic was canceled. Oh, wow. And all we had were these miniseries. So yeah. like, there were no X-Books, but we had like a four-part miniseries called Years of Future Past. And I think there was 90s. There was one called 90s X-Men, if I remember right. X-Men 92. X-Men 92, yep. Then we um, had, um, what was it, uh, ES for Extinction was one. There was Inferno. There was uh, Extinction Agenda was one. This was like Marvel saying, hey, every event we had, mm-hmm. uh, how about how about a little bit more? <laughs> Basically. Yeah, we had uh, – in the other books, we had like Armor Wars. We had Future Imperfect. Uh, Marvel was, Zombies. Yep. It's insane. Yeah. Insane stuff. But uh, – I wanted to be in on it, but then there were like crazy delays on like everything. To to this day, Mark will quote Mark Radlich. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll quote the pizza quote, and I don't know if you've ever seen the quote or seen the video. I don't I don't know if there's a video. I think there is a video. But mm-hmm. anyway, they talk about how they what their plan was, and they were like, well, we're going to take you know, the ultimate universe, I believe this is what their plan was, was to take the <laughs> ultimate universe and the 616 and put these two slices of pizza on top of each other and let the cheese and everything melt together. Uh, so to this day, Radulich will bust out the pizza quote. <laughs> I don't I think that's just because I, I mentioned that one interview at one time. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the pizza, every time I think of Secret Wars now, I got the pizza in my mind. That's kind of what they did, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. uh, like I remember the end of Secret Wars was like, like old man Logan showed up in the six one six, and he he was like in the middle of Times Square, and then you see Miles Morales swinging past. So it's like, yeah. okay, so everything is here now. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, that's fine. <laughs> now, the multiverse would eventually be restored by Mister Fantastic, I believe, in Secret Wars, uh, one of the very very delayed uh, issues. So. Stands to reason that we could have a Captain Britain Corps back at some point. That's right. Then we have Secret Empire and Cap Hydra. Are you familiar with the Cap Hydra story? I just saw a meme that I (laughs) shared on Facebook from however many years ago, and it had Dr. Manhattan (laughs) sitting alone from the quintessential, I think he's sitting on Mars all by himself. Sure. And it's just four panels of him sitting and looking at the reader. And Mm -hmm. then a little word balloon pops up and it says, Hail Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the, the what I put on there was like, it's a rough week for comic fans. So this was the point in which, <laughs> you know, Captain America said Hail Hydra. And there was, you know, a, I mean, a, a fallout, correct? Oh, is that huge. It yeah. was huge. Explore. This is the same event, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. 
Yes, all absolutely. Right. It all went up to Secret Empire here. It was, it was ultimately, you know, they figured out that um, Captain America had his history tampered with by like a, a sentient cosmic cube called That's like right. Kobic or something. Yep. Which I mean. It doesn't get much more comic booky than that, but I don't know that that's a terribly satisfying ending, considering like everything that all the feelings that people had going into it. Oh wow, was it fire out there? Yeah. I mean, it was rough. now I wasn't reading it. I just Neither, remember either. I could stay on top of it just by watching my Facebook feed and oh, yeah. the, the people that I knew that read comics really had a passionate opinion about Absolutely. that storyline. And Secret uh, Secret Empire was like the first – it felt like there was actual backlash where – like, I mean, Marvel comic events ship in crazy numbers. They don't necessarily sell in crazy numbers, but they ship in crazy numbers. So, like, if uh, your neighborhood comic shop gets 30 copies of King in Black number one, the Venom thing, mm-hmm. most of those are going to sell probably. But – Back when Secret Empire hit, like the comic shop would get 30 copies and 29 of them would sit on the shelf. Ooh. It was so bizarre because it was around the time of, if I'm not mistaken, it was around the time of Heroes in Crisis okay. over at DC. And yep. um, Heroes in Crisis got pushed back a couple of times. So I order my books from DCBS and sometimes when I have something ordered and it doesn't come out, they cancel it. And so I walk around with my head in the clouds thinking, hey, I already ordered that. And then realize, oh, wait, they canceled it. So I want to get it. Yeah. yeah. So I rushed to the comic shop on the day that that came out. And it was the day that one of the issues of uh, Secret Empire came out. And the uh, the comparison between the two was ridiculous. I mean, no people kidding. were buying Hero, Heroes in Crisis, which was I thought was garbage anyway. But nobody was buying the Secret Empire. So I, I was thinking, like, I wonder if this is something widespread. And so I popped into other shops, not for this specific reason, just because I go to shops all the time. But but I made sure to, like, pay special attention to the new release wall here. And there was one store, uh, Samurai Comics, in Mesa, Arizona, um, probably about a 45-minute drive from me. So when I hit the used bookstores over there, I'll pop in there because I'm in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. The Secret Empire books were literally toppling off the shelf. (laughs) Oh, no. Like, like, you know how, like, the spine of well, the spine has staples in it, so it's thicker, you know? Oh, yeah. It was, like, tipping out, like, ah. like folded over on itself. And it's, like, <laughs> it's like, wow, or, I've so never seen something like this. Were, like, actively avoiding it? Yeah, ah, it geez. seemed like it. It seemed like it. Man. Yeah, very, very bizarre. Um, now, Brian Braddock does factor into this because he would join some European heroes in Paris in order to defend and free that city. I don't know what happened with Secret Empire. I did not read any of it. The X-Men didn't get involved in it, as far as I know, so I didn't even need to go back and buy any of it. So, safe and sound. Um, Now, Brian and Megan would have a child. I believe this was X-Men Gold Annual Number 1, which was the either the 25th or the 30th anniversary of Excalibur Number 1. This cover is basically an homage to Excalibur Number 1's cover, uh, X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue were a couple of teams that they, they kind of chased me away from comics. Mm-hmm. I uh, I went running at this point. But in this issue, they had a child uh, that we call on the show Valeria Margaret Thatcher Braddock. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's basically Valeria Richards, uh, you know, uh, Reed and Sue's daughter, who's super smart, super yep. genius, walks into the room using, you know, $50 words here. And uh, one of the listeners of the show, Damien, is in the uh, 
He's either in the UK, England, or Great Britain. I don't know which is which, but he's there. And he thought it was funny that they named her Maggie because I guess the name Maggie has a connotation over there due to Margaret Thatcher. And so every time I mention Maggie now, I call her Valeria Margaret Thatcher Braddock. (laughs) (laughs) This is her, and she is very, very intelligent. Uh, The family would move into the Excalibur Lighthouse. Then War of the Realms happened, which is something that I only own three issues of because they tied it into the Uncanny X-Men legacy numbering before uh, all that fell apart. And then we go into the Krakoan era where uh, Brian is no longer Captain Britain. Uh, Betsy is now Captain Britain. Brian was uh, taken by Morgan Le Fay, which might be one of the more boring things you'll ever hear today. Um, And he was taken into Avalon, one of the kingdoms of Otherworld, where he would become basically her knight. Yeah, I I read that Black, was the title The Black Knight? Not to be confused with... Dane Whitman, yeah, not not (laughs) Dane Whitman. But her black white, black knight, um, and there he would choose the sword of might rather than the amulet of right because yeah, he was under interesting. And, and I mean, there was a little bit of soul searching after that because after they beat Morgan Le Fay, and uh, they did beat her, and then Apocalypse took her to his lab and started to dissect her on Krakoa. Okay. So that's a thing, or maybe yeah. it was in Avalon. Maybe it was in Avalon. But Apocalypse uh, is like I, I read that, and it was very small. But yeah. his, uh, <laughs> you know, his fascination with the magic from other world. I mm-hmm. he apparently says that, Oh, by the way, this is our mutant right to, yeah. mm-hmm. to wield magic. Is that yes. what he's just trying to say? So Absolutely. I, and, and now he's going to dissect Morgan yeah. Le Fay. Okay. <laughs> he's taking her apart. And that actually is uh, what leads into the, uh, the X of swords event here, because other world is viewed as like a hub. And, um, Krakoa, as we knew Krakoa uh, three years ago, was just that weird island from Giant Size X-Men, right? Yeah. That's all we knew. Mm-hmm. Well, Otherworld post-Hoxpox is a millennia-old island. It used to be called Okara, but then a giant sword split it in half. So we have two islands. One's Krakoa. The other one is Arako. Arako had demons on it that spewed from a, a chasm uh, the uh, called Amenth. So Apocalypse was alive at this point on Krakoa and would send Arako through this chasm into another dimension with the demons on it. Okay. So he is, you know, he protects Krakoa, sends Arako into the chasm, and he wants to get back to Arako, which is basically the entire story of X of Swords here is the is the feud between Krakoa and Arako. It's, we call it the Festival of Swords here because it's basically that. Saturnine goes, you take 12 champions, we'll take 12 champions, and you'll each take a sword and you'll fight. Okay. That's what it is. And uh, they, I think there's only actually two sword fights in it because <laughs> there, are, there are fights, even including Brian. It's like, we're going to race through uh, Jim Jasper's uh, you know, marketplace, and oh. it's him running. Uh, that's – okay. And Challenge I, accepted. Yeah, and there was one where it was him pitted against an evil, um, an evil, well, not an evil person, but a more serious character over from Morocco, and the contest was to kill a cat, kill a kitten. Oh, and Brian's come like, on. I can't do it, and then he lost. So it was there, well. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you win by losing there, right? Yeah, it's, I was uh, going to say so. My one of my questions going mm-hmm. out of this was, you know, is 
everything all dark and dire throughout this? Or is there some humor and levity uh, at all in these stories that are being told? Humor uh, is interesting because Jonathan Hickman doesn't have it. Okay. He tries. <laughs> he tries. So he there's tries. an attempt. There is an attempt, but the the humorous books, and actually the books that are most worth reading are the side stories here. Like there's a book right now called Hellions, which is phenomenal, okay. written by Zeb Wells. It's hilarious. Mr. Sinister like leads a group of like oddball mutants and havoc. Uh, these these are their whole mission statement is they all have trauma and they're going to fight things as a form of therapy. Right. And Mr. Sinister is hilarious all throughout. Uh, I never thought because Mr. Sinister isn't the Mr. Sinister of the 90s anymore. He's a very flamboyant and sassy individual. Oh, really? And oh, I, I, when I first saw it, I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> he's not too sinister. Oh, but now, holy cow. And he's got like this weird fixation with his cape. So it's like he's wow. always showing off his his flight, his cape and he runs into Jamie Brad the weirdo Jamie Braddock once and they make a deal where Jamie'll give him passage through uh, Otherworld if he gives him his cape and then like in the, the very next panel you see Sinister without his cape and he's all slump shouldered it's it's very <laughs> bad <laughs> oh it is great Zeb but Wells you said Zeb Wells um okay. he he did a run on New Mutants back around 2010 or so. He did some really fun stuff on, I think, Peter Parker Spider-Man back uh, mid 2000s. Okay. Uh, really, just a, a wonderfully funny writer. Um, Jerry Duggan, another. Uh, he does uh, Marauders. He does Cable. He's going to be taking over the flagship X-Men book when that gets relaunched uh, next month or so. So uh, he is another fantastic writer. Uh, Leia Williams is on X Factor. And okay. she is the one who did the recent, semi-recent Gwenpool miniseries, which I gushed over. Okay. Never thought I'd I'd dig a character like Gwenpool. Yeah. But yeah. holy cow, it is, it's funny, it's heartfelt, it's amazing. It's and, great uh, to see, you know, it's great to see writers take characters that you're like, oh man, there's no way yeah. what you're going to do with this character is going to work. And then you watch them make it work. That really yeah. solidifies a just a creator a writer in my mind as being someone that i will be paying attention to later on down the line absolutely yeah they respect the characters and mm -hmm. uh and they do them service which we don't get very often because unfortunately the flagship book x-men here uh, the one that's written by jonathan hickman it has a lot of good ideas in it but that's all it is oh. it's a lot of one-offs uh we don't have Right now, there are no X-Men. There haven't been any X-Men since Hoxpox. Uh, we're getting our first X-Men team of the past several years in July with uh, the Jerry Duggan book. So that's the first X-Men team. Hmm. This wow. entire Krakoan run, it's just been Krakoans. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird time. It's a very, very weird time. And uh, I think that's probably – well, Brian right now, he is no longer Captain Britain. He is now Captain Avalon. This oh, is, so yes. he's changed his name. Okay. He has. This is post X of Swords, but since we covered X of Swords like a hundred years ago on the show, we could probably talk about that. <laughs> um, Betsy uh, was able to reinstate the Captain Britain Corps. Uh, they all have purple hair now because they're all her, not oh, Brian. Nice. So okay. <laughs> we have uh, we have a core of Betsy's. Um, she had her body shattered into a billion Betsy bits during the uh, <laughs> the X of Swords event, but she's better now. She's better now, but um, 
Captain Britain, Brian, he uh, he would take uh, the role of Captain Avalon for the Kingdom of Avalon in Otherworld, which is now run by Jamie Braddock. Jamie Braddock is now the King of Avalon. So. And I assume, is he, has Jamie at least seemed to have, I want to say, righted his ways, or does he seem no. like he's, okay. No, he's insane. He is, All right. <laughs> he was, he's actually been, because he... He was put into that position by Apocalypse because yeah. his Apocalypse figured, huh, okay, I can control this guy. Mm. And then uh, after, at the end of X of Swords, Apocalypse leaves. He's gone. He goes to Amenth uh, through the Chasm. So now we have a, an inmate yeah. really running the asylum. Absolutely. He doesn't answer to anybody. He doesn't have Apocalypse staring over his shoulder. He's just King Jamie the Weird. And mm. uh, he's a... Uh, He's he's in Otherworld doing the silliest stuff. He's stealing horses. I mean, he's doing some stupid crap, but uh, he's there. <laughs> and Brian is his knight as Captain Avalon. But uh, yeah, that is the life and times, uh, quick and dirty life and times on Captain Britain. Uh, what did you learn? Oh, man. I Everything since <laughs> past, like, I think the second paragraph of that bio and... Uh, <laughs> There is a lot to be learned. Uh, I, you know, just like you said, we skipped over a good bit that I oh, knew yeah. was there as well. I hadn't read, but it's it's not in there. Yeah. Um, man, you know, he's had quite a life. Um, mm-hmm. I was just looking at his, you know, you look at his, the way he appears now. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking at him with the Sword of Might in that handbook and just uh, how actually he looks more human he's not as jacked as he was back in the day uh so he's clearly gone through some appearances and uh changes and i'm sure that that might have to do with the fact that he uh you know he died a few times that you can lose a little bit of weight and probably some muscle mass now he's a dad Oh, that's right you get a dad bod going (laughs) and it happens you you can't exactly stay physically fit too much uh but yeah there quite a bit man again like I said, this is a this is a character that I only had the opportunity to start reading when we started covering the mm-hmm. uh, Claremont run, or excuse me, the uh, Alan Davis run on Excalibur, and that's kind of where I was, and I just never had the chance to read much about this guy. And I'm honestly trying to think of his appearances in books that I have read, mm-hmm. uh, and the most faithful I was reading mutant books at any time uh the excalibur or captain britain may have had the chance to pop in was probably 90s x-men you know and it it may say you know starring excalibur on it and it was just kind of like a surface uh surface type of deal whoever the writer was to get these characters in and get them out um but yeah you know his legacy quite the legacy as a matter of fact um one of the biggest things that stood out to me in regards to the bio itself, uh, I would say was probably just how how, how involved he was in regards to the secret wars event that I didn't know. Oh Um, yeah. That where he supposedly had helped them get the body of the living tribunal. Like like the corpse of the living tribunal. Yeah to try and make their way over or at least survive whatever this calamity was. And uh, 
but yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there was so much here that I mm-hmm. didn't know about this character. Almost, there's almost some spoilers in there too for me from when I'm reading back in the '90s Excalibur, and I haven't got that far oh, sure. uh, <laughs> in regards to. Oh, hey, Megan and him are going to get married. Wait a second. <laughs> you know, last time I checked. Uh, he was breaking legs on Nightcrawler. <laughs> His Nightcrawler was <laughs> sniffing around him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, this this looks like a good time. Uh, you're going through. Uh, so what what are the characters? I'm just curious. Which characters are you going through in regards to? Why did you pick the characters you did for this? Oh, this is all from that uh, the the X of Swords handbook here. Um, we've got uh, Apocalypse. We have Brew, who doesn't even show up in the story. Oh. Uh, we got both Braddocks. Uh, we got Cipher, Doug Ramsey, uh, Megan, Gorgon, uh, Krakoa itself, Mora McTaggart, Magic, Wolverine, and then there's a whole encompassing X Men uh, section here. So which you're covering every character. That's everyone. Okay. Everyone. Gotcha. Yeah. So it'll be. This is. I, I thought this was going to be like a two-hour show. No, it's going to be like an eight-hour show, <laughs> but uh, wouldn't as be the an, first as, time for me. I was going to say you you've covered that ground before. Yeah, we've we've uh, we've tromped that uh, that that trail. Yes, so it's a uh, it's going to be a biggie, and uh, it's going to be uh, hopefully not as dry as the handbook was. <laughs> because the handbook was a little dry every now and again. But uh, uh, unless you have anything else you want to say about Betsy's beautiful blonde British brother Brian Braddock, uh, I. We'll send it to you for uh, for plugs. Right. Well, first off, Christian, thank you very much for having me on here. Well, I, I, yeah, man, I, this is this is a blast talking about some uh, some fun characters that number one, I haven't had a chance to go back and really read up on, and boy, have I learned a lot today. So, <laughs> uh, plug wise, yeah, hey, I I hang out over on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. Sheehan's over there more than I am anymore. It seems like. <laughs> um, I. I have a show over there that I started in 2014 called Source Material. I'm, uh, it basically deals with – it's kind of like a book of the month club, uh, except it was it's going every week where we talk comics. Uh, and we've done things from just single what-if issues all the way to uh, stuff that uh, – we're talking Watchmen. We're talking V for Vendetta, uh, all sorts of – Great comic book uh, stories that we've had the opportunity to talk about on that show. So if you get a chance, Sheehan's been over there and he has been guest hosting, co-hosting, whatever you want to call it there, while I've been essential. Uh, (laughs) And uh, yeah, you can go over, check that out. It's on the Rattlich and Broadcasting Network. It's on W2Mnet.com. If you go into any podcatcher, just type in W, the number two, and the letter M. And then you should be able to find it pretty easily. It's called Source Material. Also do a 90s comic book podcast called the Unspoken Issues Podcast that is in cahoots. We'll just say it's a it's a part of the Unspoken Decade. So if you enjoy 90s comics, we have a podcast out there that we do strictly for content for that website. uh, And we have done that's just strictly usually single issues of 90s comics. And the last one that we actually, the one that's upcoming, she and you'll love this. All right. I'm editing it tomorrow. So I don't know when this is going to air. Most likely it will have aired, but the plan is Wednesday, June, whatever Wednesday is. What is it? June 2nd. <laughs> June 2nd. Wednesday, June 2nd. Dean Compton and myself got together and talked about WCW number one. All right. Okay. Now, have you ever read any of the WCW series? 
there's a cosmic treadmill on that very oh. issue. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we had a ball talking oh, it's a about blast. And we really, I just couldn't wait to talk about the logistics of trying to do a wrestling uh, comic book when two months later, your star has left the company. Uh, yeah. Lex Luger leaves, and I'm like, how are they going to handle this? But anyway, uh, yeah, Unspoken Issues, you can check that out. Uh, you should, it's on the W2M network as well. Uh, that, that show actually got us kicked off of YouTube. Um, what did you guys do? We got a strike from World Wrestling Entertainment um, because the theme music we used for that episode was the American Males theme. I'm writing that down. Because, <laughs> I mean, what funnier song could there be for oh, a wrestling that... show? So oh. we, we hit it up with American Males, and it was up for like five minutes. And uh, not only did we get the copyright strike, but we got taken down. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty insane. Like we we because both of our email addresses were like attached to that, so we couldn't even access our email for like a couple of days. No, it was, oh, it was ridiculous, and it's oh, Man. it was a uh, it was annoying. Well, I I do know that we my plan was to sort of kind of incorporate some stuff in there uh, when I do the post edit, but maybe not now. Because uh, oh, I, I think we use other theme music in there too, like when we, because like as we would get to each character, we would I would do a bio, so it's like Johnny B. Bad, and we'd hit Johnny B. Bad's music, and then I would talk about him. But uh, it was just the American Males one that they got us. They were like, that one, nope, that cannot stand. <laughs> <laughs> we will not have that on here. Yeah, they are weird about that protection. Yeah. Well, they're bad. They're very bad about it. I know the WWE. I did. Uh, there was a commentary. You can edit all this out if you wish to do oh, so, no, no. but okay. there was a commentary that Pat Mullen and Mark Radlich did over the brawl for all between, uh, I think it was, oh no, it was the final event, which was uh, Bart Gunn Bart versus Gunn. Uh, um, Papa Shango, sure? not, pa- not Papa Shango, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, somebody like it. Uh, but yeah, they, so I put that on there and immediately they're like, nope, no, no, you cannot, no, we do not want any of that. Should have known mm-hmm. better. I put, uh, you know, I just put the commentary and maybe the video. What's the problem? I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, you could uh, go ahead. I was going to say you need to do the riff tracks thing where it's just the audio. Just and then the people, audio. People could put it up in another window and get them both. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, you can follow me at Stiznarki if you do so wish on Twitter. And at some point I'll be coming back to the Source Material Comics podcast. Again, Christiana, can't thank you enough for going over there and helping Mark Radlich out and doing some shows with him. So I turn it over to you, sir. <laughs> very, very good here. So thank you so much for being part of this 200th episode extravaganza here. It really, really means a lot to me. And uh, all your links will be included in the show notes and on chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. So if you don't have a pen handy, you don't have to worry about running to get one. It'll all be there, clickable, and you can find all the good stuff that way. But uh, I think that's uh, all we got to say about uh, Brian Braddock. So I will send it over to the other Captain Britain, his beautiful sister, Betsy Braddock, I guess. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) All righty, we just finished up with one Captain Britain. Uh, How about we do another? Uh, This is Betsy Britain, of course. And uh, in case we don't mention it throughout the next, uh, you know, several minutes of conversation here, there was a point in time where Betsy Braddock inhabited Quanon's body. I don't know if we're going to mention that, Mm. but it's something you all need to know. And uh, to help me navigate the many bodies of 
Brian's beautiful sister, Betsy Braddock's whatever. Um, we're going to we're going to bring someone in here, a pal. My friend Ed is going to come in and help us get through all this Michigas. So how are you doing, Ed? And thank you so much for being here. I'm doing pretty well. And just so that we get it out there here at the mm-hmm. top, in case we don't mention it again, uh-huh. uh, Betsy and Quanon had this body thing going on. So I mean, right, let me get a pen. I got I to gotta write that down. Oh, OK, yeah, so it's, we'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah. Oof, OK, because, uh, yeah, we, got, we we want you all to know that. And um, Marvel doesn't really emphasize this too much. So uh, kind of goes under the radar. We just want to make sure you all know it. But uh, before we get into the bio here, which is what it is, um, these bios are kind of uh, not great. But uh, before we get there, I want to ask Ed about his uh, when did you when did you meet Betsy? Well, when did uh, when did Betsy first enter your uh, your line of sight? Um, back in New Mutants Annual <laughs> Two, which I oh, believe her first was US her appearance. first. Yeah, 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 I was um, I was actively reading. The X books, which you you only needed, I believe, one hand to count um, <laughs> at that point. So maybe even just a couple fingers or three, Perhaps. not like yeah. even your whole hand. But so yeah, as as she was introduced um, and then moved to the X book for kind of shepherding, um, mm-hmm. I, I was actively reading the books. So I, I was there when she when she first became an uh, a, a person of X. Oh, very cool. Did you have any, uh, maybe not back at the time, but have you learned a lot about her Marvel UK stuff? Her, uh, you know, the old, uh, the stuff that would be in the the shorts, you know, all the Marvel superheroes and daredevils and uh, all that crazy stuff. There were snippets that would come through Mm -hmm. as I have been reading over time since then. Sure. But um, actually uh, the beginning of, Uh, Last year uh, when we had nothing else to do, basically Mm -hmm. sit around and read because we Mm -hmm. couldn't. Yeah, Um, I started a a personal project that I refer to on Twitter and and update on Twitter as my complete X slash adjacent read through. Oh, very cool. And so what I've been doing is I started. I had already been reading X-Men from issue one because I was reading along with another podcast that is Mm -hmm. going through the Marvel Universe. And I thought, well, now is my time to, as I'm doing that, branch out and read other appearances and initial appearances that were brought into the X-Books and things like that. So just recently, I've been reading Captain Britain's um, appearances that – a little bit had to do with his sister, and mm-hmm. I'm about to get into the book um, Daredevils. Okay. And and I think that from that point, they'll really pick up this uh, family aspect of she and their brother. Oh, his name, Jamie. Um, that yeah, weirdo Jamie, Jamie Braddock. Yes. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> they'll, they'll start with Daredevils, and then I think right after that is like a, another volume of the actual – titled captain britain book yeah or yeah, soon there, after there, yeah there are two volumes of that because uh i think we just got a solicit for an omnibus version of the captain britain book and it was it was so nutty going through all the books that are included in it yeah really as, it's as like his, hulk's comic yeah <laughs> it's weird for, for six <laughs> six weekly issues and then yep. yeah very but, so yeah so to quickly answer your question at that time, no, but recently, yes, I've been going back and picking up her 
true origins in the um, Marvel UK books or the, the British books, whichever. And, and those are a lot of fun. Um, they, uh, I, I started uh, that X-Lapsed Origins series over on the blog, which I kind of fell off of because I ran out of the, the books that I wanted to discuss. But uh, that was going through a lot of those early Captain Britain, other world stories there. The Dave Thorpe run, which uh, wrapped up the Marvel superheroes run, I believe, or maybe Alan Moore took over right before Marvel superheroes ended. And then that went into Daredevils with uh, with the rebirthening of, uh, of Brian after uh, the Fury you know, right. Just yeah. decimates him. Yeah. A lot of fun there. Uh, that's that's some really great stuff that holds up a lot better than I thought it would. I really was expecting to go in there. I, I, I bought it because it was it was back in uh, probably around the turn of the century when Alan Moore did the uh, they did the Alan Moore collection and they forgot to, like, do something that he wanted done with the Indicia. Uh, it was Joe Quesada and, and Bill Jemis era, and they were trying to get Alan Moore – like they, they were given the olive branch, right, trying to get him back in the fold here. Uh, yeah. They did a lot of good work in bringing people in, like uh, Neil Gaiman would come in, Jeff Johns would come in. Uh, they put Bendis on the books. Uh, you know, they were able to really reach out and uh, you know flesh out the Marvel bullpen once again after you know Bob Harris did what Bob Harris does. So we had a potential for Alan Moore to come back. And they worked together to put to put out this this collection, this trade collection. And one of the parameters to do so was like, oh, you need to put that there's ownership to Alan Moore and the Indicia. And uh, Joe Casada said he forgot. So mm-hmm. the story was that this trade was going to be like yanked uh, off his shelves and taken out of print and uh, get it while you can. So I ran out and I bought it. Not really expecting to, you know, pay too much attention to it, but uh, I opened it and it totally, totally sucked me in. Uh, it's really, really good stuff. Convinced me that that, you know, the purple monster, the Fury, was the scariest thing on the planet somehow. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was excellent. Um, now, do you have any Betsy stories that stand out to you, like over the years here, from you know, from way back in the start to? present day uh what what stands out to you about betsy braddock probably two um really come to mind quickly whenever i think about her or or read of an appearance in a book um Mm -hmm. that she's in the first is the x-men issue where she fought Sabretooth by herself yes joe maguara on the cover right yeah for the entire issue and that was way early that might have been like her one of her first uh, like years worth of appearances in the X books. I mean, mm-hmm. that was way. Early. Um, and the other story and don't don't really ask me hard why, <laughs> because I would just fail utterly to explain what the draw of this story is now in retrospect. But the Crimson Dawn story. OK, that was that was a it was that was a miniseries, right? It, it was it was finalized in a miniseries, but gotcha. it was also kind of an ongoing Throughout thread the in the book. Yeah, yeah with uh, her and Archangel. Mm, yeah, well, she got that like line that like tattoo on her face, right? right yeah, the like okay. it looked like a like a, a Shazam lightning bolt yes. over her eye almost. Yeah, um, and and I I set that up the way that I did because now it was and and still of course it it remains so very. 90s Marvel X. Absolutely. 
And if you like that, then that's not a problem. If you're not a fan of that, then that is a problem. So, you know, where, wherever you stand, it it was written in and drawn in the style that was Marvel 90s X-Men. Absolutely. It absolutely was. So, uh, but those those two stories probably come up, you know, almost automatically whenever I, I think. Yeah, I, I when I think about uh, Psylocke, I usually I think about her. Uh, it's it's not even like a really happening issue, but uh, when she and Warren went to the Hellfire Club for like a dinner party, like uh, probably around three, oh. uh, no, maybe thirty something X Men. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I know the the book you're talking about. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I remember 30. that one being a lot of fun. Um, Again, I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but it was one of those where it was very early in my comic fandom, um, or at least my maturation of comics fandom, where I was starting to see these comics as more than just, you know, uh, people in bright colored costumes punching one another. It was, uh, you know, something different. It was low key. It was I, I was either Lobdell or Nisiesa. If it was volume two, it would have been Nisiesa, I'm thinking. But it was just different. You know, and we were getting a lot of those kind of stories, those quiet issues that were between big events or just after something big would happen. We'd get these little issues where we would get to know our characters. We would find we'd kind of take the pulse, right? We would get to know them, right. where they're at now, what's on their mind now, something we really don't get anymore. And it's unfortunate because, uh, I mean, we've got 200,000 mutants on Krakoa right now, and uh, we can barely tell you what's going on with like five of them. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, back in yeah, the day, it was um, a, yeah, that was uh, kind of that era's um, baseball slash softball game. Yes, it was definitely an evolution of the Claremont, uh, you know, downtime issue for sure. Yeah. Sure. So uh, those those were always good, even as a fan, to kind of catch your breath after they yeah. have been wherever for six or seven issues in space or uh in hell or limbo or whatever then you get this this rest issue mm -hmm. yep you could just uh, take stock it's and they they were always just so uh you know we talk about that nebulous concept of heart right but those always had heart right uh whether it's you know jubilee helping professor x to rollerblade with the last five yes. minutes that he can walk yes <laughs> yes <laughs> awesome stuff and that 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 one in particular is interesting because uh, that's when I discovered previews catalogs and I, and I was buying them because I, I thought I was a big shot. You know, it's like oh, I, I know all the inside scoop here. And uh, that Uncanny X-Men solicit was like, you know, uh, Professor X takes his last walk across the mansion. I'm like, oh, my God, right. <laughs> yeah. that's what it meant. And then, you know, you read the issue and it's like, oh, that's what they meant by that. But. It was amazing. It was amazing stuff. It made you feel like you were a family with these characters here. These were friends that you knew and uh, definitely not something we get now, unfortunately. No, it's not. I, I guess that doesn't sell. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the only so... time we do that is if it's just static shots of faces repeating uh, talking. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise, everything is is, you know, gunning full speed ahead actiony because i you know i suppose those issues sell more than the non probably yeah you're probably right and that, that's that's a shame i mean 
the X-Men have been, you know, they were they were soap opera before, you know, soap opera was cool in comics. And yeah, definitely. Definitely one of the reasons, you know, you think about the X-Men and the uh, New Teen Titans, right? Just totally killing it in the, you know, the soap opera milieu, right? And it's just, it's just a bygone era. We just don't, don't get that anymore. And I'm trying to think of the other, the other Psylocke story that I, I go back to is probably the, uh, the Dark Angel saga in Uncanny oh, X-Force. Yes. Okay. Which was, which was um, one of those things where... Like I've looked at it in in recent years, uh, like ah, oh, you know, I remember loving that. I want to give that a look again. And then I realized it's like 15 issues, and I'm like, how did I stay? How did I stay enraptured for 15 issues of this thing? But it was wonderful. It was really really good. They wound up like in the Age of Apocalypse for a minute, and yeah, wild wild stuff. But uh, I remember Betsy having to having to do something to uh, Angel, which we're gonna probably get to during her bio where. It, uh, you know, it, it undid a lot of stuff to Angel, but it also uh, undid some bad stuff to him as well. But those are what I usually think about with Betsy. Otherwise, I really don't have much use for her. Uh, anybody who's listened to the Excalibur issues episodes uh, knows that uh, they're not my favorite. And Betsy, unfortunately, is almost emblematic of it because... The entire book, you know, it's it's branded as a team book, right? I mean, it's supposed to be a team book, but it's all about like, well, Betsy has to prove herself. Right. Yeah. Still, <laughs> it's, we're like 20 issues into this thing, and she's still like, I belong in this in this role. And it's like, okay, well, okay, you only had to say that once. You, we're fine. You got our vote. Just do stuff. And. and- you know, the, the interesting thing is, as far as her character, um, since the advent of the new um, mm-hmm. international X-Men characters, has there been someone since Betsy that's been introduced that has been around like she has? Um, hmm. You know, we that, had Rogue. Uh, okay, well, Rogue came out. But she was a villain. Yeah, oh, she did come before her. Yeah. Uh, You know, Betsy, the New Mutants Annual 2 was, what, 88? 86, 87, 88? Yeah, Yeah. somewhere there. Since then, Mm -hmm. we've had mutants come and go. Sure. I mean, we all remember Lifeguard with Extreme (laughs) X-Men. And Slipstream. (laughs) Uh, Slipstream. There you go. See? Um, Thunderbird 5? Yeah. (laughs) she, She came in, and she has really stuck. If you yeah. think about it, it's true. It's true. Like Multiple it's... iterations of X-Men. Yeah. Exiles, X-Force. Mm-hmm. She she is a, a an integral, although not appearing part of Excalibur, yeah. although now she is. But I mean, yeah. the original and but yet she probably is one of the least um, respected X-Men. Sure. By by the, the fans. I could see that for sure. And, and you know, it's like, like, well, but wow, why she's, you know, she has such such a dearth of story. But then if you look at how uh, how narrowly used she has been, I think, or how um, unsuccessfully used mm-hmm. even, I, I think that's why it's like. Oh, yeah. Betsy, too, is is on the team. OK, that, you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, she's been around longer than 
really anybody else except that original group. And then, like you said, Rogue. Yep, it's true. It's very true. I wonder how much of that is backlash to the, uh, you know, the purple Jim Lee costume. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was it was a product of its time. I, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can't you can't necessarily blame her for that. And and oh, actually, truth be told, she outlived that, didn't she? Absolutely. She absolutely you know? did. So but yeah, there's maybe maybe she just flat out doesn't get the respect from the fans that she has earned. It's a very good possibility. It certainly is. I, you know, it, it makes me wish that there were, I don't want to say better writers, but. Uh, writers. Well, you know, just somebody who cared enough to to really write her story is what yeah. what you would need. You have had those writers for virtually everybody else. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. As I mean, if you think back, I mean, who who defined Betsy, other than, other than Claremont, and he's been gone for the better part of many, many years. Yeah, way long. So, yeah. Sure. And, you know, he any anything that he did has been pretty much scrubbed by now anyways. More or less. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah. And I mean, as we as we've been going through this, um, this handbook here, it's almost like mind-boggling how little the, uh, the I mean there there are mentions of things that Claremont did of course but it's so glossed over yeah like, we're skipping like entire decades worth of stuff here to get to the current year stuff it's so bizarre <laughs> it's it's like I guess we're not in Marvel Legacy anymore we don't need to worry uh, yeah about that's that yeah they, <laughs> no. they they highlighted those and and those things but why you know why? Why are you guys showing us these particular snippets, yeah. not the interstitial parts, not the before this part? Not you know. So mm-hmm. there obviously is some kind of agenda, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure what it is. Maybe all these are trades that are still in print. <laughs> you never know. That 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 definitely could be a a possibility here. It's it is very weird though how um how bits of all these characters history have just been glossed over or scrubbed entirely just omitted while uh, some of the things that are mentioned in this book are not important like to, to jump ahead to uh the the discussion on there's an x-men entry just like the last six or seven pages of this thing is just about the x-men mm-hmm. they skip over the entire decade of the 1990s but they mention who the PR agent for the X-Men was when they went to San Francisco. Huh? Okay. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> like, why? You skipped over an entire decade where millions of these books were sold. But we need to know the name of the PR agent who uh, helped to clean up their image when they went to San Francisco. Right. <laughs> I just don't know. But, you know, moving into current year stuff here, I'd like to get your opinion on this brave new era we're in here. It's something I've been asking the folks coming on. Uh, just getting your state of the union since since Jonathan Hickman took over, since Hoxpox, since we found out about the uncanny lives of Mora X and uh, the resurrection protocols, things like the Crucible. What are your thoughts on some of these fairly heavy topics? OK, uh, let me get something out in the open immediately. Let me sure. stand behind the curtain here so that I don't get hit with the apples and the cabbages and things like that. 
<laughs> I am not a Jonathan Hickman fan. <laughs> I just I I am not I am a fan of some of his concepts, mm-hmm. but I am just not a fan of his execution. That's that's definitely fair, and I and I I I mostly agree with that. Yeah. Um, the House of X mm-hmm. that was entertaining. That was interesting. Yeah. The pow- powers of what ten, right? Is that what we say? What powers of X here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yes, Pox. That's even better. The Pox series, uh, not so much. No. All of it. Now, I do find intriguing the concept of Moira. Sure. Um, I, of course, well, not of course, but there, there's a part of me that kind of is repelled by retcons. Okay. And this, this, as far as Moira is concerned, isn't a small retcon. No, no. I it's, mean, it's altering the character and, and the the X Men in general completely. Yeah, this yeah. It, it if if you look from her point of view, it completely changes everything that has occurred since probably the initial sixty three issue run. Sure. So, I, you know that to me that make okay. I um have been reading comic books. I'm 53 years old, so I've been reading comic books for a good 45 plus years. Continuity is my reward for having purchased and read books down through the years. Certainly. So when somebody stomps on or heaven forbid, they just take a big shite on it. (laughs) I become offended by that directly. Mm -hmm. You know, that that is that is a, a, an affront to me as a fan who has supported this concept for however many years. Mm-hmm. So anything, any kind of retcons are are difficult for me to take to begin with. And then the bigger they are, the less I like them until, you know, some things I'm, I just I refuse to acknowledge and I just mm-hmm. move on. Sure. So. That that seems to be a a way that a lot of uh, more current writers and more current being the last probably 10 to 15 years of of just comic books in general, not just Mm -hmm. X-Men. But sure that they'll come and they'll they'll find this little sliver in in a storyline in the past and then they'll insert their creative wedge in that and just tear it open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And. Everything that I'm doing occurs here, and so everything after that is now different. You know, sure. they have changed everything that happened since then, as far as the um, presumed straight line of the story's continuity. Absolutely, no, so, absolutely. I was worried about that myself when we first got into that. It was like, what does this mean? What's what's real and what wasn't? <laughs> Exactly. You know, and now I I don't go so far as to say, well, you know, those books that I bought are worthless. I I Mm -hmm. wish I'd never bought them or, you know, there there are some folks that that they they go off that edge when things happen. Yeah, Um, I'm not. I'm I'm sitting here next to a big metal rack that has 30 long boxes of books in it. And 
most of those I will never get rid of and I will read again. So, you know, changes like that, they, they don't bother me, but to a point. Sure. So, sure. um, okay. The, the, the concepts that, um, Hickman has thrown in, particularly that of Moira, which it seems like we're heading to maybe a, uh, some sort of final point, um, in her story. Mm hmm or certain aspects of her story, it seems, with uh, things that have been said that are coming up for the X-Men throughout the summer and into the fall, it feels mm -hmm. like. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it, how it ends, because I, I think that is what we are seeing. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we're seeing also in, in Hickman's involvement. You know, I, I would imagine that here soon, his involvement with the X-Books will be running down and he'll be moving on to, you know, bigger and, and better things. That's certainly what it seems like with him leaving, you know, the flagship book here. And uh, like uh, the book he's going to be doing is uh, is Inferno. And that's it, right? Right. As far as we have been told. As yeah. far as we know. Yeah. So he's like when we started this, he was doing, you know, the flagship book and he also was on New Mutants for a little bit. And he did the giant sizes and uh, he did uh, he was at least in, in the bullpen for the Empire stuff. Right. And uh, now it's just one book that uh, I don't know. I, I'm guessing it's a mini. Right. It's it can't, it can't be an ongoing. Right? Yeah. No, I don't figure it's an ongoing. Yeah. So it's interesting that uh, he might be winding down. Yeah. So um, as far as the uh, the the next probably big issue um, that, that the the X-Men have incorporated into their storyline is the uh, resurrection protocols mm -hmm. now here um it, it's anyone okay um let's see let's see anyone that has gone through the protocols mm -hmm. I, I can't see how you can really make an argument for that individual being anything other than a clone that's a toughie, right? That is uh, the the original is gone. Your yeah. your your VHS original is gone, and this <laughs> is your copy of your buddy's copy of your copy. <laughs> right? it's I a mean, fourth it, generation. It, exactly. That's the way to think about it. At some point, before the resurrection protocols were in force, everybody was the original VHS tape. Yeah. But now, many, and particularly many of the primary X-Men, are at least a first, if not a second or third generation copy. It's true. With no way to get back to that original, because that original does not exist. Yeah. All that exists are the copies, and the subsequent copies of the copies, etc., etc. It my dictionary definition says that that's a clone. No, you, you raise a good point there. Do you think that everything that we're seeing is actually happening the way it's being presented to us here? Uh, we've, we've talked about theories of like, this is going to end with all the original X-Men, like in stasis below Krakoa, you know, okay. this is everything that we saw was just something that Krakoa was doing to, to feed itself or to do whatever, I guess. But all the originals 
are just going to be in, you know, they're going to be in the hole with Sabretooth, basically. Like, do you think that might be where we're headed? Something like that? Because, I mean, I mentioned, I, you know, this is one of the lines I say a lot on the show. How do we walk this back? Uh, well, it, that is very possible. And if you think about it for a minute, we, we have a precedence for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was called Powers of X, was it mm-hmm. not? Yes. We saw from Moira's point of view, the, um, in essence, the Marvel Universe, repeat and repeat and repeat. Only we saw it from 80,000 feet as it was yeah. occurring. Sure. Now we are standing with it as it's occurring. Mm-hmm. How do we know this isn't one of those that we are just zoomed in on? That is a very good point as well. And and reality, right? The 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 Marvel six one six is back away from us, watching us read and interact with this as it's going on, as we were reading the comic book Powers of X before. And so hmm. all they have to do is close that book, get the next issue, and open it up, and we have restarted wherever they want it to Decide, restart. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's it's going to take something like that, something that huge. Because yeah. I was talking about this in, in another segment for the show here. Like, we were talking about the cheapening of death and how, yeah, I mean, it's comic books. So is there really a cheapening of death? Well, yes and no. Because, I mean, the... The creators and the powers that be have been very irresponsible with deaths uh, for the past almost as long as I've been reading comics, right? At least the last 20 years. Right. They've been very irresponsible. But I think about a recent issue of X-Force where we have Beast, a character who's been around for 60 years just about, has never died yet, but dies. Yeah. He doesn't die in battle. He doesn't die making a grand sacrifice. He doesn't die heroically. He is dead because he's replaceable. He's viewed as being like, well, we'll just grow another one. No big deal. And uh, and he, he suffers a stroke and they decide to kill him because his, his mind is jeopardized. That feels like it's not so much a cheapening of death because, as mentioned, death is cheap. But it's like it's it's almost a cheapening of life. You know, this character's been around for longer than many of us have been on the planet. And to take him out just like that for his first time ever, his first ever death was just uh, one of his partners you know, breaking his neck because uh, he was a liability. It feels like, I don't know, it's it's a toughie. Well, you know, you, you wonder. It's like, well, all of these creators, writers in particular, mm-hmm. that have written beast before didn't have to resort to that great point so this particular creator and i'm not trying to cast any aspersions at all Mm -hmm. but does that mean that this particular creator is so uncreative that that's the best that he could think to do it's funny you know because i just thought we have a we have the crutch here. Oh, the resurrection protocols are definitely a crutch, but they're oh, also yeah. like a meta crutch because it's not just a crutch for the characters in that they can be replaced. It's also the writers can be like, I can kill someone. Oh, I can I can write into any corner that I want 
Exactly. And I can just kill everybody off at the end of it, and I'm out. I'm I'm good. I can, you know, <laughs> I, I have the reset button right there. Exactly. Exactly. And it's you know it's not like a uh, uh, something that will draw attention or it it now is simply part of pun intended no pun intended <laughs> the mutant DNA. Yeah. Yeah. We just expect it now. Yeah. I mean, oh, well, they'll just be resurrected. Yeah. And so it's like, well, so what is the point? What I mean, why did you have to kill them if you know that in five pages they'll be right back? Sure. A little bit younger, you know, since they're <laughs> since their last backup. But sure. Uh, what? That, yeah. That reminds me of that. There was an issue of Marauders like early, early on where uh, what was it? The. uh Oh boy, I don't remember the shrinking guy who snuck into Pyro's uh, body to come back to Krakoa. Um, it was like some sort of uh, like an Ant-Man alike, but an evil yeah, version. Yeah, Black Ant or something like that. It was, something like that. Something the, like that. The evil Ant-Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he comes back, and uh, and it looks like he kills Emma Frost and Bishop and stuff like that. But it, it turns out that it's all just Emma putting those thoughts in his head to kind of put him off guard. Right. But when I saw that happen, I'm like, oh, Emma's dead. No big deal. She'll be back. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, OK, yeah. So, you know, they'll have to get along without her for a little while. It, it takes, yeah, you know, whatever they've said, pages. it takes however many days. And, but but she'll be back. Of course. Of course. It, it is. It's weird that that's like where the mind goes to. It just really speaks to. I don't know, just the rules of all chain. There are no rules. Uh, yeah, like, basically. That's yeah. and that's kind of unfortunate because as the next group of creators how do you one up that right yeah how do you come back how do you it's yeah i sometimes will make references to like pro wrestling and stuff and back during the 90s things got a little crazy in wrestling where you know the violence was amped up to the point where if a table wasn't lit on fire during a match like it got booed because right. that's how amped up we got and it was it took many, many years to walk that back to being something special again. Right. Like here, I mean, uh, we, uh, you know, God help the whoever comes next. Right. Uh, who, oh, yeah. I mean, it's because everything will be a let it, it's not going to be wall to wall death. And I, I, I don't know that we're it's almost like we substitute death for story now. And every story is predicated on something having to do with death. It's. It's strange times. It's very uh, yeah. strange times. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And I mean, speaking of death here, um, an another one that we talk about, you know, even to this day in the mailbag, it comes up very, very, very regularly. The Crucible. When you read X-Men number seven for the first time and saw what The Crucible was, what were your thoughts? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I just, I don't like that at all. You know, I... I it, it that just morally, you know, yeah. my that that interact directly with my my personal morals in a way that I don't agree with. I, I just sure. and and not only that, but it's like no, and and this uh, this situation, uh, Jean and uh, Danny. Mm -hmm. in their duel mm -hmm. yes. it was it was written to be this this 
wonderful, beautiful, and you can tell the sarcastic tone in my voice, <laughs> this wonderful, beautiful experience. I'm like, no, yeah, you, <laughs> person A, know that you are going to kill person B. What? How? Uh, yeah, I'm just like, even in, in, a, in a bigger sense, you as a creator, mm-hmm. this is what you want to create with your um you know talent and yeah. my usage of that word of course is debatable <laughs> whatever that's fine <laughs> but it's like that you know you have an opportunity and this is what you want to create is is a justification of one character killing um arguably murdering another and yeah. and making it this grand beautiful multi-page just that's what you want to do it's, wow. it's a toughie. It is that... definitely, yeah. When we first learned about it um, in X Men number seven, I, 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 yeah, I wasn't sure what to think about it because it is exactly what you're saying. It's a, it's a stage show of murder, and uh, we have a roaring crowd just uh, hey. eating it up. <laughs> exactly. Can, can you say uh, Roman Jews and tigers? <laughs> I mean yes. that you know that th- this is the 21st century scene mm-hmm. replicating that. Absolutely, it absolutely is, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy with the way of X series so far. Uh, I've only read the first issue at this point, but uh, it really um, it, it validates us for having these sort of like that doesn't seem right, you know, opinion. It's like this mm-hmm. is this is brutality. This is. Uh, and it's like, uh, just like what Nightcrawler said when he interrupted the fight in that issue, he was like, I- I'm not mad at Magneto so much. That's just Magneto. But this crowd is going nuts. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and I, I remember when we first got into, you know, the, the Crucible back in X-Men number seven, like a lot of the, a lot of the thoughts and the theories that we were throwing around is like, okay, Krakoa has got to be screwing with these characters somehow. Okay. It's just gotta be. That, that was a lot of the mail was like, it's like, well, it's gotta be. It's gotta be Krakoa doing something, <laughs> because this isn't the way our characters would act. You know, this isn't the way. Professor X is standing there while while some one of his followers kills another one of his followers. You know, people who put their lives in his hands as a mentor and as a leader and as a father figure, he's watching them die. It's. And not saying, no, don't do it, or, or hey, maybe be a little bit more gentle, or, hey, we could do a lethal injection, or, I mean, whatever. It's like, no, brutality. Just taking these people apart, and uh, it's a tough one. It definitely is a tough one. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm not – that that probably is the um, aspect of Krakoan culture at this point that I am uh, least – a fan of yes it, it's it's definitely one of the more challenging and i mean there's just so much food for thought there it is it's something i, I mean we'll get more mileage talking about that than the uh the hellfire fashion show probably oh yeah definitely. <laughs> but it's uh it's definitely something and it was one of those shoe drop moments i think where like going back to my old catchphrase, how do you walk that back? It's even the next writers come in and it's like, well, here's uh, you know, here's Carrie, here's Storm. 
oh, well, here's Storm. And uh, well, didn't she kill Callisto not too long ago? Oh, man. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. But she asked her to. <laughs> it's, wow. it's crazy. I, I don't know how you walk that back unless there's some there's either a cosmic light switch or a cosmic toilet waiting to flush or flip this all out to just clean it all. And yeah. yeah. And and, you know, who knows that could it, that could be the plan from the beginning. You know, if yeah. this turns out to be some sort of uh, fever dream, hallucinatory existence, matrixy kind of mm-hmm. world that we're we're voyeuristically engaged in then okay there as all of these other things seem to be an easy way out Mm -hmm. taking a step back well it all being this dream state would be the easy way out for you know eight years of books or or however far you want to take this so what is that that, what does something like that do to the legacy of this era well you know <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, the one thing, the one, the one bit of capital that Jonathan Hickman seems to have is that he is known for these extravagant, intricate, long cons of stories, right? Yes. Uh, his his Avengers run is storied. His Fantastic Four run is massive, and they're just these. And all it is is, uh, you know, Hansel and Gretel. We got these uh, we got these breadcrumbs and we'll eventually get to a story that will knock our socks off, satisfy, pay things off. But I think this is like a step too far. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure that you can pay all of this off. Uh, yeah. Maybe some of the individual threads, but mm-hmm. the uh, the entire uh, tapestry that's being woven, I I don't know that you can pay it off. No, it's interesting times ahead. <laughs> yeah, sure. definitely, definitely. But that that gets us up to present day here, and uh, I mean, I know we did Exitens uh, about eighty episodes ago, but uh, we're gonna pay that off right now. We're gonna talk about Captain Britain, Betsy Britain here, and. Uh, we start her biography here by basically restating all the stuff that we said about Brian in the last segment. Um, and I'll also add a mea culpa here because I think we got a little confused during the Brian segment. I think we said that he and Jamie were twins and they're not. They're not. It was Brian and Betsy. We we know that. I, I, I think we both misspoke or one of us misspoke and the other one was too polite to say uh, we were wrong. So it's we okay. said it was, it was Jamie <laughs> weaving the threads. Uh, he was. That's what yes. happened. Jamie got me. He got yep. us. <laughs> now, so Brian is Captain Britain, of course, right? Uh, Betsy is a charter pilot and a purple-haired model, and her mutant abilities would manifest. She has precognitive flashes and telepathy. Precognitive flashes. I don't remember mm. that. I, I, yeah, I, I don't remember it being used very often once she came over to, to this side of the ocean. Okay, because, I mean, if she is a precog, then... Why is she allowed to live on Krakoa? Exactly. Oh. So obviously, at this point, she is not a precog. <laughs> she must not yeah. be. They maybe they took that out uh, in the in the in the gold ball. Um, right. Now, while Brian was at odds with the RCX, Betsy took over the role of Captain Britain. Uh, she would be robbed of her sight during a battle with the Slaymaster, and then she'd be captured by Mojo. In Mojo World, Betsy would be given cybernetic eyes, which allowed Mojo to spy on the goings-on on on Earth. 
and the X-Men and the New Mutants would rescue her. This is, of course, New Mutants in annual number two. She'd go on to join the X-Men as Psylocke. Then, <clears throat> they don't really mention this too often, but uh, Matsuo Suraba switched Betsy's mind into the body of his lover, Quanan. <sighs> so, yeah, that happened. Um, it's not mentioned here, but she'd then start hitting on Cyclops pretty hard. Do you remember that from the early yes. volume two? Yes, sir. <laughs> With the Pikachu, she, uh, the Pikachu uh, bathing suit. Yeah, her her fire could not be put out with a hose. Let me tell you, <laughs> that was a really fun bit there. But then they they kind of wrote it all off as like the Quanon influence, I think. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, she's not settled in quite yet. It's, yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> And uh, later, Betsy's original body would return with Quanon's mind in it. And this, I, I think I made this comparison when we got the uh, the Okara, um, Arako, and Krakoa Mishigas. It's like, we have Betsy, Psylocke, Quanon, and Revanche. It's like, yes. what are all these words you're throwing at us here? Yes. Where did Revanche come from? Um, unfortunately, though, she wouldn't, uh, I remember the reveal. Right. It was Adam. It was one of the Cuberts was on art and uh, the cover has like, guess who's back on it. And we see the back of like a cloak. And then there's the reveal. And to me, it was just a purple haired woman who looked a lot like Psylocke, only she had curly hair. Like he didn't differentiate the looks of the characters very much. Right. I don't know if that was just his his drawing style, but it was just like they all they they both look the same. (laughs) It's like. You didn't you didn't get the information that you needed there. It was a it was a tough one, but um, Quinnon and Betsy's body would die of the legacy virus uh, violently, if I remember right. It was almost as though she like succumbed to the moratory effect, mm-hmm. and she exploded. <laughs> moratory. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, but both an old school Marvel book and a podcast. I, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, a little okay. synergy. Why not? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no. Betsy would then begin a relationship with Warren Worthington. Um, we jump ahead several years to where she developed telekinesis during a weird Shadow King story that saw her sort of kind of trade powers with Jean Grey. Like, I think it was the Psy War. This was during the Siegel and Kelly days, I believe. Um, then she would die. Now, this was early on in Extreme X-Men, and this was a death which Chris Claremont initially saw as short-lived. But... This was the also short-lived Jemison Casada Dead is Dead era for Marvel until the Buffy guy decided he wanted to slum it in comics for a minute and bring back Colossus for a story he wanted to tell. Now, do you remember Dead is Dead? Um, I, I remember the words. The, the, <laughs> the actuality is kind the of sentiment. fuzzy at this point. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, Morrison wanted Colossus uh, for his book. And the fact that he couldn't have Colossus was the reason why Emma Frost got her secondary mutation. Right. right. So he was supposed to be there. They wouldn't bring, they wouldn't bend the rule for uh, Morrison. They wouldn't bend the rule for Claremont. But the Buffy guy comes in and yeah. they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah. You want to kill people? You want to you want to bring people back? Do whatever you want. I kind of see that as the start of the current era that we're in <laughs> where Editors are just like they're just there to pat people on the back and uh, and tweet out how awesome it is to work at Marvel. Yeah, I, I, I would say they're there just to check spelling, but I. But they don't do that. Seen, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> well, then I don't know what they do anymore. I yeah, it's true. Now, uh, 
Psylocke would eventually be resurrected by her weirdo brother, Jamie, and uh, she'd go on to join the Exiles. Now, this wasn't the, uh, you know, the Judd Winnick Exiles. It wasn't even the Chuck Austin Exiles or the Tony Bedard Exiles. This was the Claremont Exiles. And uh, Claremont of this era was, uh, well, not the Claremont of all. Do you have any fond memories of the Exiles? Um, no. <laughs> no, no, I... I... I read the first, you know, couple issues and I was like, okay, I just, I'll put this in this box here and we'll, yeah. Never speak of it again. I remember being Uh, very sucked for it. Uh, They sold it on, I never watched the show sliders. I don't, I, I don't really watch a lot of TV. I I just, it's just never really have. Um, But I remember it being kind of explained as the Marvel take on sliders and the concept of sliders spoke to me as a fan of quantum leap i i love quantum leap and it's like oh okay that seems similar to it like a new generation of that so hey why not why not have this team going through the multiverse and fixing things that you know fixing wrongs that need righted and all that good stuff and then we see it yeah it was like it's like well we're gonna go to this world where there's an evil professor x okay well here's six issues of that okay now we're gonna go to this world where there's an Evil Professor X. Okay, well, there's six issues of that. Now we're going to go to a world with a evil Professor X. Every time out, it seemed like there was an it, evil Professor X. Yeah, yeah. It's like reading like like if what-ifs were in continuity. And it's, and they were longer than just yeah, one book. Totally. Like, you know. And it would be and the worlds were so um, unimaginative, and, and just like a lot of uh, what-ifs. It's like, you know, what if Peter Parker forgot to shave today? Well, the world ended. What? How do you get from A to B? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what Exiles was, basically. And then Claremont came, and it didn't get any better. Um, the Sisterhood of Evil Mutants would nab her, drag her back to the 616 from her, you know, dimension hopping. And they would te- attempt to use part of her soul to reanimate her dead British body. It would work, for a moment anyway. Uh, Psylocke would then kill her British body. So Betsy's British body has died like three or four times at this point. Uh, Betsy would go on an adventure with the X club and this would be part of the utopia era. Do you remember the X club fondly? Um, I not this fondly, but fondly <laughs> might be kind of strong. <laughs> yeah, this, this was a uh, Cy Spurrier uh, mini series. It started in the X books here. And I remember liking it because of what it, what it pulled together here, we brought like Dr. Nemesis from the Golden Age and made him an X character. Right, they pulled yeah. uh, like Dr. Takaguchi from the Godzilla comic of all places and put him in an X book. Like, I don't know if that made the entire Godzilla series from Marvel canon. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how it could, but no, <laughs> but it was fun to have a character from there. Uh, Box, Madison Jeffries was part of that. Danger was a part of that. And they would have a, a miniseries around the time of Regenesis, I believe. And I remember reading the first issue, and uh, this was this was right after like the Matt Fraction era, where mm-hmm. like Fraction was known for his fractions, where he would do like like little too clever little captions for each character. You know, it's like Jean Grey dies all the time. It's like stop, don't do that. Uh, and I remember for Doctor Nemesis, Cy Spurrier put. Dr. Nemesis, science bastard. And I'm like, oh, no. 
and I'm and I'm thinking in my head, it's like I can go to any any number of Twitter people right now, look at their bios, and Science Bastard's going to be in there. I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that was that's kind of where I stopped reading the X Club. I, I've got them still, but I've never really paid much attention. Uh, now Betsy would travel to Japan in order to bury her British body. She just can't let go of the thing. Uh, Matsuo would send would would, would uh, send the hand ninja to attack her, and uh, he would also burn the remains of the British body in hopes that it would instigate Psylocke into killing him. Now this was a kind of sort of a thing where Matsuo was just done. He was done living uh, because he would be visited annually by Wolverine, who would mutilate him more and more each time as payback for the death of Mariko Yoshida. Don't worry, she got better. And uh, Matsuo, as you might imagine, had grown rather tired of this annual ritual. So he wanted the, the sweet release of death. And uh, he was hoping uh, to perform you know, suicide by Psylocke, I guess, because uh, she would kill Matsuo. And uh, then she'd begin to buddy up with Phantom X. Do you have any uh, thoughts on Phantom X? He was interesting to begin with, but as multiple creators have kind of uh, played with him. I, I don't think they've necessarily put all their toys back when they got done. Yeah. And so um, he has he has turned into something that I don't think he was originally designed for, and I think it shows. Totally. Yeah. Subtraction by addition with Phantom X, I think. Yeah. Because he started learning so much more, but he had like a, a female clone, and it got uh, it got pretty deep with Phantom X here. Um, now. She's buddy-buddy with them. They're not in a relationship yet, but we'll get there. Um, Betsy would be shocked to learn that Cyclops had reassembled X-Force as kind of a covert ops wet work sort of team here. And she was even more surprised to the fact that Archangel was a part of this X-Force team. Do you remember the X-Force, uh, the, the Cyclops X-Force team, any? Yes. This was uh, pretty good stuff, I thought. I thought it was I... a good use of the uh, of the name. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was a goodie. Uh but, you know, the team got disbanded because it's so funny how picky and choosy uh, the X-Men can be with, especially when it comes to Cyclops. It's like, Cyclops put this team together. How dare you? And then Wolverine's like, I'm going to do it myself now. Oh, OK, cool. And, and that's what happened here. He started his own X-Force team and Betsy would join it. <laughs> so this was Betsy, Warren, Deadpool and Phantom X and Wolverine, of course. This was Uncanny X-Force. Uh, this led into the Dark Angel saga, which we spoke about earlier. It took the team into the Age of Apocalypse timeline. It uh, gained them a new member in AOA Nightcrawler and led to a rather lackluster Age of Apocalypse ongoing series, which I think was canceled not quite as quickly as people might have imagined. Do you remember that Age of Apocalypse mini or ongoing, I suppose? Ongoing, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it, any, um, any fond memories? Well, um, I, that was... I, I really enjoyed the original. Um, oh, certainly. I enjoyed the setting. Mm -hmm. The characters and the character arc for several of them for that uh, short ongoing didn't, A, work for me, and B, didn't seem necessarily in step with what they had been before they were gotten a hold of for that series. So they True. they kind of strayed. Um, Big time, yeah. Several of them did. And so by the time it wound up, I I was glad that that is as far as it had gone. You know, yes. it's it, it had run its course. Good. You know, let's 
try to use another concept or, or you know, whatever you're going to do next. But, yeah, this is a good place to end that. So I was I was mm-hmm. glad that they finally did. For sure. For sure. Then we had Age of X. Now, this is where Legion created a false reality known as Reality 11326. And this was a bleak place where, stop us if you heard this one before, mutants had just been about, just about been hunted down to extinction, which wasn't all that much different than what was going on in the actual reality during the late 2000s, is it? I, I mean, we were down to 198 and, and shrinking, right? Right, yep. Yeah, very weird. Um, now, later, Betsy would help Warren get his humanity back because he was, you know, Dark Angel here. He had, uh, like, the some sort of a seed inside him. I don't remember what it was called, but there was a seed in him that was uh, that was uh, just corrupting him here. So she get the uh, wasn't it Apocalypse Seed? It was, it was. I don't, I think it had like a name though. I just don't remember. Oh, okay, I, I got you. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was definitely an Apocalypse thing. Um, this saw like the return. Actually, it wasn't Holocaust. It was another one in that same costume, right? It wasn't a, a Holocaust or Nemesis. It was genocide maybe maybe yeah yeah it, it was a it was a weird weird run it was it was a lot of fun though but uh this would cost warren his basically his memories his life he was just like this fresh-faced you know ingenue here he's just a nobody <laughs> he was a, a blank slate and uh he would uh he would be an amnesiac he would run around like shirtless with long hair and uh just be you know full of uh Youthful vigor here, and he would be a student at Wolverine's Jean Grey School in Westchester. Then, one of my very favorite places, Otherworld. Do you have any thoughts about Otherworld? <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I do like Otherworld. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I hope I don't offend. <laughs> but I, I do enjoy and have enjoyed, to a point... Otherworld. Now, I, I will uh, get my my bus ticket punched and, and ride the bus with you. Uh, <laughs> that it is it is being used too much. Yeah. Let's do I don't know anything else. You know, not right. because I don't like Otherworld, but just because it's it, again it's a story that has done its job. Mm-hmm. Let's you know be creative and do something else now. Yeah, I don't know what the fascination is uh, in that Excalibur book where it's it's all. And I mean, I liked the Alan Davis Otherworld. I thought that was a lot of fun because it was silly. You know, right. it yeah. felt like it felt like you were transported to another place here instead of just medieval England. You know, where that's what it seems like we're in now. It's it's the stereotypical medieval, uh, you know, you, uh, I don't know which which word to use, UK, Britain or. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but and, I will say England. They're not incorporating any of the fantasy or fantastical elements that yes. have been used in the past. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like it is fantasy in that it is not now. It's, yeah. as you say, transported to a, a medieval period. But that's where it stops. Yeah. With absolutely. The, the occasional, uh, was it the village that was named Jackdaw or the people? The Jack- I think it was both. I think it okay. was a Jackdaw village. Yeah. So you know that's kind of a an homage, if you know. Oh, that's a great fallback. Yeah. Read the yeah the the earlier stuff, but that that's all they did. It it was just yeah. a it was just a um, a, a screen, you know, that they pulled down to project on. 
That's it. And then when they yeah. got done, they just lifted the screen back up. And it, it, it had no depth. It had no, you know, so it's like, uh, again, I'm left wondering about creativity. It's true. <laughs> you know, it's it, true. It, you're, you're pulling these elements, acting like that is you being creative. And it's like, no, because those you are. to do something with it. Yeah, those are pre-existing elements. That's mm-hmm. not being creative. That's whatever aping or you know whatever other word but that no so that that seems to be how um other world has been used is it's it's a a very static setting yeah you know stage left uh, other world stage right you know so (laughs) it reminds me of uh, something i read from there was like an anonymous uh movie executive on one of the social media things and it said uh it said, uh, like, a word to all writers. Um, I, rem- I I get that reference is not a is not a substitute for writing a story. And, like, when we see Jackdaw, I popped. Because it's like, hey, we're just looking at that in, in the Alan Moore and the uh, Dave yeah, Roche stuff. Yeah. And then, like, it's like, okay, what are they going to do with it? What are they going to do with it? Nothing. <laughs> no, no. You know, so it's like, well. Why did you do that then? It could have been anywhere. It could have been a. It could have been a parking lot yeah. that uh, that Betsy and Quanon fought in. It could have been it. No. Oh boy. Now, this is the X Men Regenesis era here. Uh, Brian and Jamie Braddock would nab Psylocke and Phantom X, bring them to Otherworld here. Uh, they were hopeful that Psylocke would join the core, and also they wanted to put Phantom X on trial for killing Evan Apocalypse during the opening arc of Uncanny X Force, which. He didn't actually kill him, as be revealed later. Uh, the baddie here was revealed as being an alternate version of Jamie, because of course it was. Uh, Betsy would mentally force Brian to break Jamie's neck, and this caused a bit of a rift between the uh, the surviving Braddocks, I suppose. Then we get into this alternate reality stuff. <laughs> I, I uh, We talked earlier about how Psylocke's first, you know, 20 years of comics got summed up in like a paragraph and a half. Right. This back end of the bio here is just so intricate. Like, like these aren't actually memories. These are books that are probably digital somewhere in Marvel's archives where anybody who's writing this probably had access to anything they wanted. And we're paying attention to alternate reality stuff here. And I, I don't understand why we're wasting words on this. Um, Betsy would attempt suicide. Uh, she would eventually begin her relationship with Phantom X here. Then AVX happened. You have any thoughts about AVX? Um, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a, just below my X-Men fandom is my Avengers fandom. So, mm-hmm. uh, having all of that together was, was cool. Sure. Um, we continue to get into some situations where I believe that characters are written in ways that historically they have not, yeah, not been. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that happened. That was the start of some some character turns that uh, either I still remember to this day, or the turn has continued to this day, mm-hmm. and so I, I don't like. Um, Cyclops at this point, you know, you're you have said that you're a big fan of of uh, Beast mm-hmm. and aren't 
particularly pleased with the way that he is shown. Sure. Now and not just now, but like for the last little bit. Yeah, like Cyclops and Beast are my two favorites, and they seem to be the ones run through the ringer the most. Yeah, the, at, at this point, AVX, Cyclops started uh, changing in a way that suited only that particular storyline. Yes, yes. But succeeding – succeeding? is that, that doesn't sound like the right word. Creators that came after mm-hmm. – um, kept that going yeah even though you know you could kind of see as a fan that well they're just doing that to cyclops because you know they they need to get to this point they need him to get to this place or or, you know Mm -hmm. things like that but then other creators were like oh no but that that's a cool cyclops and so i'm i'm gonna yeah take that and and run and and push it further and ramp it up Mm -hmm. yeah so that AVX, I think, was a, a point where Cyclops started becoming something that only until recently was um, redone, wasn't really undone, but it was just redone, similar to, I don't know, the 30 years before Cyclops, <laughs> you know, I mean, so, so um, that, as far as lasting effects of, of that entire multi year i believe uh mm-hmm. storyline or, or set of stories um that's that's my takeaway from that is oh, oh man that to psych it's true yeah i remember when uh they started like quentin choir would wear a t-shirt that says like magneto was right and it's like yeah okay that's kind of cool and then you see one that says cyclops was right and i loved it and i hated it because like i agreed with a lot of what cyclops was saying not of, of course not as extreme uh, I mean, his whole bent was that, you know, mutants need to survive, you know, and uh, it was it was more of a, you know, by any means necessary sort of way than I would have preferred it to be. But it was very much for self-preservation. It's for, you know, his people. Right. And uh, seeing the Quentin Choir T-shirt was like, OK, I agree with Cyclops, but oh, man, you you just put him on the same level as Magneto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, for his entire existence. For the most part, Cyclops has always had the same um, the same vision. Sure. At first, and for a long, long time, he did it because he had to, and then that transitioned into because it had to be done. Yeah. But then the had to be done transitioned into almost a, dog, you like this. Yeah. You like being like it. Being this way does something to you that you mm-hmm. you like that feedback. And and at that point, I was like, no, that's not that's not Scott Summers. That's yeah. not any training from Xavier. That's not you know that's nothing that we have seen up until now. Mm-hmm. Other than you just want a mega badass Cyclops. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, in a in a lesser way, I guess it's like Emerald Twilight over at DC. It's like we have this character. He's kind of by the books. He's kind of boring. But, ooh, let's make him bad. Yeah, <laughs> that'll get him. Let's make him bad. And, but, and uh, not just bad, but hey, what if we make him insane? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
He already yeah. has one of the, the worst weapons in the whole universe, and now he's crazy. He's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the people who uh, think that Hal Jordan never turned into a bad guy. I always think he was a hero, even back then. Okay. He was just trying to help people. Yeah. <laughs> even like look at Zero Hour, right? You got like he, Hal Jordan's trying to remake the universe from scratch in a way that he thinks will benefit everybody. Right. It's like we'll have a we'll have a we'll have a Batgirl who can walk. We'll have uh you know all of these characters who died will come back. Everybody will have a spot. And then the heroes are like, no, bad, no, don't do that. And then they do it. Yeah, re- like, yeah, really. What? <laughs> Why you? Hal couldn't do it, but but uh, but Ollie and Damage can do it. Come on. Yeah. It just seems weird to me. But uh, back to AVX. Um, Psylocke would initially side with the Phoenix Five, but would ultimately agree with the Avengers because everybody did at the end. So yeah, really. <laughs> that's that. They really jobbed the X-Men out there. Uh, after AVX, S.H.I.E.L.D. would shut Utopia down and Psylocke would head to the Jean Grey school. She would then join the all-female X-Men team, which was, I think, volume four. Um, they'd fight against Cassandra Nova because, of course, they did. Uh, she would join yet another X-Force team because... Uh, they gave her this little side bit of being addicted to violence. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. I think, did they play that off as like the Quanon influence? I don't remember feeling that that's what they were trying to tell me. Okay. I, I kind of felt that that was a like an intrinsic uh, sort of thing. Yeah, it was a Betsy okay. thing. Oh, OK. Very good. Because it's been so long. It's like one of the Marvel Nows, one of the three or four that they did. I can hardly remember it. Then we have another VX. This is IVX, which I did not read because I couldn't bring myself to read it. Um, Now, Betsy would join Magneto's team of X-Men. This was that weird uh, volume four of Uncanny X-Men that read more like an X-Force because it had like Sabretooth on it. Very strange. Um, But she would find out that he had plans for vengeance against the Inhumans because their Terrigan mists killed Cyclops and uh, really threatened mutantum. So she fought and then beat Magneto. Weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shadow King stuff happened. Professor X returned from the dead, and Psylocke would be the only person that Professor X would tell. Did you read IVX? Um, no, I, I think at that point I, I probably tapped on all the I <laughs> stuff they were trying to do. <laughs> they um, were really pushing hard, weren't they? Yes, yes, absolutely oh. they were. Boy, and boy. push pushing the Inhumans is one thing, but mm-hmm. pushing them and and diminishing my my X Men, I was sure. like, no, that's you you can't do that. Exactly. And the reasons were had nothing to do with the comic books. Uh, I mean, it you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm 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 gonna sit back, I'm gonna start reading some other independent stuff. It's a, yeah. I'll come back when you guys settle down, but right now, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, and the Inhumans uh, experiment was a failure uh, in like every regard. Yes, completely. It did yeah. not catch on, but with Anywhere. like six people. That, yeah, that maybe. Was, you know, I remember like when Marvel Knights hit in uh, 1998, there was an Inhuman series in there, and I grabbed it because it's like, yes. oh, that's a neat little thing. Sure. And it was Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was another Marvel Knights series, which I think had like Jose Ladrone on the art. It was more Kirby ish, but it was fun. And it's like, okay, I can get into these characters, but then around now when it's just like, okay, well, these are the new X-Men. It's like, no, <laughs> no, they're not. They're we the have X-Men. Exactly. Yeah, yeah no, the, these are the X-Men. Those are Inhumans. 
Yeah. And they could be fine, but oh boy, they had like three or four ongoings that are at, at, at once. The Black Bolt had his own ongoing. Yeah. It's like, what are you trying? To, uh, nobody wanted that. <laughs> nobody wanted that to the point where I have probably a dozen copies of Black Bolt number one that DCBS just threw in the box. Oh, yeah. I would get one every every week. I'd get a copy of Black Bolt number one. And it's like, why do I keep getting this book? Yeah. I'm guessing they they overordered it because they thought people were going to care and nobody did. Oh, boy. This brings us to the hunt for Wolverine. Now, Wolverine famously died in a book called The Death of Wolverine. Go figure. Um, But people thought he was still alive. So they kept looking for him in a number of. Of miniseries. There were like five, six, seven of these things, right? It was like Wolverines, the Adamantium Agenda, the Mystery of Madripoor, uh, uh, Weapon H, Weapon X, Weapon, all these things here. Right. Wild stuff here. Now, this relates to Psylocke because she would fight Sapphire Styx, who you might know from the opening arc of Marvel Comics Presents uh, featuring Wolverine there. And in defeating her, Betsy was somehow able to recreate and re-inhabit her British body. It's the only issue of the Mystery of Madripoor that I own, and I only grabbed it for that, and I still don't understand it. Um, this would lead to Quanan's spirit re-inhabiting the Asian body. So that's how we have them both here. Uh, do you have any remem- memories of her getting her body back? I I remember it happening, but, you <laughs> know, it, it just didn't... Um... It didn't have any any gravity to me at the time it because, yeah. you know, the, all of this stuff revolving around Wolverine was that was where your attention was supposed to be. Sure. So that's, you know, that's what I was following. And I remember. Uh, but beyond that, I, I, I remember enough to know that it was issue four of the Madripoor series. But yeah. I, I just beyond that. No, it, it yeah. didn't didn't leave. It just happened. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I missed this whole, this was during my little hiatus. So coming back and seeing her in her regular body, which I, I mean, it's hard to differentiate some of these characters sometimes. So it's like, I didn't realize until it was made clear to me that it's like, oh, okay. I thought maybe they were just drawing her a little bit stylistically. And then you find out, no, 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 there is, there is a Psylocke. There is a Quanon. So this is the original body again. So I found out during like Excalibur number one, probably. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that's what we did. Right. But, yep. Then we go to Age of X-Men. Do you remember Age of X-Men, any? Yes. Okay. How about you fill me in a little bit on this? Because uh, basically they gave the same blurb for Age of X-Men in like all of the uh, handbook things. It's like, yeah, X-Men started a new world. <laughs> it was, okay. Uh, X-Men... Now, this this is an interesting uh, connection. X-Man was a character that they kept after the original um, Age of Apocalypse mm-hmm. in the whatever 90s that was. 95-ish, early 90s. yeah. Okay. Um, and he had a his, his own series for a, a decent amount of time. And then 75 just, issues. He kind of bounced around mm-hmm. uh, after after his book was canceled. He would show up, but not long term he wasn't really a part of the x-men proper or anything um so that is the character now interesting to me is that what nate gray did for age of x-men is very similar to what legion did to start age of apocalypse 
Mm -hmm. But yet it, it, it was, you know, they did it then. So I guess the, the story concept was so good. They thought, well, let's do it again, only with a different character. <laughs> yes. And so he, uh, his though is more uh, from a, uh, a a force of will. He mm -hmm. he causes the changes, and then you have a host of miniseries as we follow the current groups that were in existence as they would be under these new rules that mm -hmm. the Age of X Men had uh, had set up, and the the one that really stuck with me was the no sex thing. Yeah. I, I, of, of all the things that you're going to do in the 2000s in a comic book, you're going to write that you create a world where you can't have sex. Yes. <laughs> what, where, where, where does that come from? What, what is that? It's because uh, I've only read like two or three issues from uh, the age of X-Men. And that was, that was the one thing that stuck out to me too. Like, like we have like Bishop and Jean Grey cohabitating. And then when they start to get close, like Psylocke and like these other, um, I guess, agents of X-Men burst in and arrest them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the thought police. Uh, that, yes. No, that was too much. Uh, you've got to come with us now and mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, mentally or physically castrate you to put you back on the straight and narrow. And yeah. it's just like, I'm like, wow. Um, and, and so that's, that's what it was. he, Nate Gray wanted to create his utopia on a worldwide scale. Mm -hmm. And as Agent, I believe it was Agent Smith in Matrix ultimately said, utopias don't work because you can't be happy. <laughs> Human beings can't be happy. It, it just, it doesn't work. And that's, that's kind of what Nate Gray found is that there was somebody remembered Bishop uh, oddly mm -hmm. enough, I think remembered that things had changed. That seems uh, to be his role in the Age uh, of books, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's the the reality wedge that yes. when you need somebody, it's it's Bishop. Um, but yeah, you know, the, everybody started feeling kind of weird because it's like, think things are too good it, mm -hmm. it, that it doesn't feel right, and so it started breaking down. People started regaining memories or at the very least realizing that X-Man was doing something. And so the final confrontation breaking of the reality, the returning of the actual reality. And, you know, I, I don't think even any of the characters stuck um, because I don't think there were any original characters like there were for age of apocalypse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I believe it was just our characters that had just, that are just twisted. gone. Yeah. So I remember thinking that the uh, like Maxime and Manon that we saw in New Mutants were from Age of X Men, but they were from before that. They just wound up in the Age of X Men. Uh, right. Yeah. They yeah. had now just before they they hadn't existed very long before that happened. Yeah, they but, showed yeah. up in Extermination. So, but yeah, I mean, it, I haven't really sat down to think about it, but off the top of my head, there's not any X Age of X Men characters that made it through. Interesting. Very interesting. So but that was maybe somebody that's listening knows of one and can you know, cor correct that. But I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Yeah, same here. Everybody that uh, everybody that I didn't know, I did research on and none of them came from there. I, like Trinary. No, no, she's from X-Men Red. OK, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> All yeah, these so. weird new characters. But uh, 
I mean, this was in the middle of the Uncanny X-Men Volume 5, the uh, the Rosenberg run is what uh, what we call it, uh, which I have not read yet. Um, maybe one of these days I will, but that's what leads us to the, the promised land here. We're at Hoxpox. We're at Krakoa. Betsy is now Captain Britain. She was... I mean, we wouldn't know this had we covered this book when we were supposed to back in episode 112, but uh, she was killed by Iska the Unbeaten during X of Swords, uh, shattered into a billion bitsy bits, and uh, is now back as uh, the one true Captain, or the one true 616 Captain Britain. Anyway, the core is back and they all have purple hair now. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's basically Psylocke, or not Psylocke, she's Betsy. She's not Psylocke anymore. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm I was going to always... say no. Not, yeah. She's not. Quan and his Psylocke. Yes, yes. Uh, there are so many just times. Let's confuse things. But, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think we have seen. Have have they dropped Quanin? That that's what they call her, isn't it? Quanon. Yeah. However we say it. Yeah. Yeah. Quanon or Quan. Yeah. So that that is her actual name. That's her real name. Yeah. No, no sign of revanche. No, no. That, <laughs> that has come up. But now she is Psylocke. Yeah. Because Betsy is here, but Betsy is not Psylocke. Betsy is only Captain Britain. Yeah. Or Betsy. So bizarre. I mean, why why did she take the name Psylocke? I, yeah, I, I have yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. It's got to be so they could sell more issues of that Fallen Angels by saying Psylocke's in it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, that brings us to right now. Have, did you learn anything in going through this? Uh, extensive bio maybe some tidbits here and there because mm-hmm. i i can't say that i have read you know all x books sure that uh d- during the the life of betsy um some of the high points i i have read but some of the interstitial things i mm-hmm. i was not aware of or i had forgotten yeah yeah I, I just I, I think about how this would work for someone who was uh, buying this to help them get through the X of Swords event, and it's like, why why would you do that to yourself? Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, now in in order to read or even feel comfortable with X of Swords, mm-hmm. I I don't think m- most of that book probably did anything. Yeah, it, it, it's not information that you needed. No, no. I mean, there was a brew entry in there. It's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. Show. Like, what? Why? What? Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, you almost get you almost better off going into Exosoids blind, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was a uh, that was a heck of a long story. Uh, the Exosoids event, twenty-two parts. Um, not all great. Some good. I'm not so good. Uh, do you have any um, any thoughts on the X of Swords event before we uh, before we cut out? X of Swords, in my mind, was a bait and switch. Okay. Um, there were more fights, more uh, excuse me, not even fights, more contests mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with a sword. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, I mean, you know, you're you're set up. You, you go through this issue of finding the swords, right? The, some like people, 13 parts or something like that. Yeah, some people just got them. Some were mini quests. Some were, you know, um, a little bit of that for the Araco side. Not mm-hmm. as much oh, as only one issue, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so you're like, well, okay, 
they they have names and the the, the swords have histories and okay and then it really it's not used yeah you know so it's like well like so many other things what was the point of that why why did you do that yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where i don't i don't know why like the why was the number 22 like why did we need 22 parts of this why did we need wolverine and hell for two issues yeah you know um it yeah it was a how was long uneven. has it been since we were reminded that Doug is now married? I think we've seen it once. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> during, their, it, uh, during their during uh, their their uh, what is it? Their reception. Yeah. Uh, what, so you know, the the longest lasting aspect of that, well, is um, yeah, what's his face being gone? His name. Oh, is Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. That obviously, but other than that, it's been the effect that it had on Betsy. Yeah. Otherwise, well, um, uh, is um, Kraken? Was it Kraken that died, or was it the other? Oh, Gorgon. Gorgon. Is he still dead? Is he still they, gone? They've mentioned a couple of times in passing that he's back, but changed. But they have never shown him since then. Oh, okay. So yeah. you know, so I mean, a lot of these things happened, but it's like, mm, we're we're not going to use that. Yeah, I mean, there. If we're going by the episodes of this show, there have been about eighty, seventy, or eighty issues of X Men books since X of Swords ended. So I mean, that's a lot of X books. Yes. And. Uh, and I, we, we did see like a little funeral service for Gorgon in an issue of Cable, like his swords were sticking out of the sand or something. Right, but, yeah, right. But we didn't see Gorgon. Um, we haven't seen Rockslide since the end of uh, X of Swords, and we know right. he was brought back weird. Um, yeah, I I really don't know. I don't know why uh, – especially – I mean maybe it wouldn't be so annoying if Marvel – wasn't so hyperbolic with the way that they present every single event as being earth shattering, <laughs> world changing, everything yeah. you thought you knew was wrong. And then it's like, well, yeah, we'll get, we have Arako on earth right now. You wouldn't know it. No. <laughs> it's like, we have another several million uh, or several hundred thousand mutants here. Wouldn't the Avengers get involved in that? Like, wouldn't the fantastic four want to check in and be like, who are these, who are these people? No, no, they're just there. It's so bizarre. It's like nobody noticed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like, it's like didn't the tides rise any? I mean, we just put yeah. a giant island in the middle of the ocean. Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our chat on Betsy. Uh, unless you have anything you'd like to add, we can uh, we can head over to uh, Plugs. Now, I, I think we've pretty well covered it. I think you're right. So how about you tell the folks where they can find you on this wide intranet? Um, I pretty much rest my uh my behind on twitter mm -hmm. uh if you folks are looking for me you can find me at teal t-e-a-l productions um i will say that i use that twitter handle because i used to record podcasts and i probably will here in the not too distant future but right now mm -hmm. i am on an extended hiatus as far as creating my own oh you, you need uh, you need a break every now and again right I'm I'm one of the people who are kind of too dumb to realize that. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe one of these days I, I do want to hit that year mark. Maybe after that we'll uh, we'll take a we'll take a respite. <laughs> you know, take a sabbatical. Yeah. Yes. 
I'll go to an Islander or maybe turn on a turn on a video game for the first time in a long, long time. But but I will have all the links to your to your content and your uh, presence on the Internet in the show notes here. So folks won't have to worry about running to grab a pen. So it'll all be there clickable and easy to find. So you'll be able to get all the good stuff there. But uh, I think that'll do it. I want to thank you so much for being part of not only this Milestone 200th episode, but this X-Labs journey here. It's been great having you at my side during this uh during this reintroduction to these uh these crazy and bloated books so thank you so much thank you uh for the for the kind words i appreciate that oh anytime anytime so uh i think that's all we got so we will head to uh whatever the next segment is um i think we're still in the seas so um it might be cypher (laughs) so (laughs) i'll send it over to the horns and we'll hop over to mr doug ramsey Alrighty, episode 200 rolls on, and um, for folks who've been listening, uh, you know that uh, there are a few things that I struggle with here, and uh, one of those things is, you know, the current year stuff, you know, how to be a uh, normal functioning human being in the year that we're in right now, and uh, a lot of that has to do with social media, and I am very bad at that. Uh, It's something that I've talked about, I've complained about, I've complained about people who are good at it, but uh, no, no, I I, I kid. Uh, This is something that I struggle with. I don't know how to do it. So when it came around to talking about Doug Ramsey Cypher, a lot of my friends were like, yeah, I'll talk about him if you don't have anybody else. Because, uh, uh, you know, Doug is, I guess he's an acquired taste. I quite like him. But uh, really, um, what do you say about Doug? I mean, there are things to say about Doug, of course. But all of my friends were like, yeah, I'll do it if you need me to. And I didn't want that. I didn't want that for the show. I wanted it to be someone who was more excited. So I took a step into uh, the current century and I did a, an Instagram story. I've never done one of these things before. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know if this was going to be me like flailing around in front of my camera phone being like, hey, you know, can you do this? But I figured out I could like put words on stuff. I can actually type things out. And I typed out, hey, is there anybody who wants to talk about Doug Ramsey? And uh, the fellow I'm going to introduce you to, a new pal. Uh, he wrote over and he's like, hey, all these people tag me on your, on your story. I love Doug. Let's talk Doug. So ladies and gentlemen, from the Power of X-Men podcast, I got Dayspring, a new pal here. How are you doing today? I'm doing so great. I love that journey you were just talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get a guest for Doug. Dude, I feel like everyone I speak to, they love Doug. Like they're obsessed with him. But Yeah. <laughs> You put out that call and so many people DM'd me. They're like, oh my God, you have to be on this podcast. You have to talk about Doug Ramsey. Because I am, Chris, I am literally obsessed with Doug Ramsey. And I'm really obsessed with current Doug Ramsey. Okay. So I feel like I can help bridge it for you here. Excellent. And and show you why Doug is like, he's my boy, man. You know, I'm like obsessed (laughs) with him. Now, when did you when did you meet Doug? When, when when did Doug Ramsey enter your life? So the year was probably like 1994. Okay. And I got one of those Fleer Ultra cards. Like I had the sets, <laughs> which yep. I love. But then they had the Doug Ramsey one, and it was like his grave and like a shadowy figure of him, like mm-hmm. you know, kind of like his ghost over the grave. And when you flip the card on the back, it says deceased and just like a short little bio. Mm -hmm. And 
I was talking to um, Hellions writer Zeb Wells about this, mm-hmm. and he he and actually we love plays Zeb it. Wells on this show. Zeb we Wells, we love is Zeb Wells. Awesome. Oh boy. So he and he wrote a really good Doug. So we'll circle back on that. But um, he was like, you know, for the longest time when you grew up without the internet, because mm-hmm. kids today they have it so easy. Oh yeah. They don't need to wonder who Doug Ramsey is. You can just <laughs> do Doug Ramsey Wikipedia. So all I had about Doug Ramsey for years was like this little card. I'm holding my hotel room key. I don't know why, but like <laughs> this little card with a little paragraph about Doug Ramsey. And so I actually had to go to my comic book store and I had to be a little archaeologist and go through like the back issues of New Mutants and pull out the issues oh, yeah. that he was in. Mm-hmm. And then the next issue wasn't there. So for the longest time, a lot of my history with certain characters, specifically Doug, it was kind of broken and wasn't sure. really, even till today, I still have gaps in my knowledge when it comes to certain characters because I didn't grow up being able to read the entire story. You had to go find it. You had to pray your comic book store had it. So that Lear Ultra 94 uh, was the first time I was ever exposed to Doug. And for the longest time, that's all I had about Doug. You know, I think I, because I was going to say, I didn't know which year that the card was, but I know the first time I ever saw Doug's name was on a card. Yeah, because I mean, I started in 1991. Doug was already deceased, and mm-hmm. the closest thing we had was like the weird Doug Lock thing that happened in Excalibur in the in the mid 90s or so. But uh, Doug wasn't like a character who really loomed large, right? I mean, you had like magic. We had Ilyana die of the Legacy Virus, and Ilyana's I- ghost kind of like loomed over the X Men. It was yeah. forget her, but Doug was forgotten because. Like, when you think about the New Mutants here, like, I always think about those really, really scary Bill Sienkiewicz ads that I used to see when I was reading ElfQuest. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I never want to yeah. read that. That's creepy. And, you know, you'd see, you'd see like, this blonde kid who was kind of just a kid. And then you'd see Warlock, who is just this, like, crazy-looking techno deal here. And you knew both of them died. But, you know, Warlock is the one you're attracted to because it's like, that's a crazy-looking character. It's like he just demands attention. Where Doug, unfortunately is kind of like in the shadow of that. So I didn't know anything about Doug except for whatever the trading card was that I read and knowing that, oh, they, they lost one. You know, they actually lost one here. Well, it's funny that you said that because the editorial office at the time, <laughs> New Mutants was being published. Doug was the least popular character. Yeah. And they talked about how when he died, that's when he became really They popular. got all the listeners and writer death- the mail, yeah. Yeah, and that's how his like his death kind of propelled him into like some stardom. He stayed dead for a minute. I mean, if we yeah. want to talk about Doug Locke, we can. No. I don't really count Doug Locke because I think it's that was more Warlock. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, Doug I, at first he was so innocuous with his mutant abilities, and like even in canon, Xavier's like. Oh, I didn't have to worry about Doug because he was passable. Which now you would never write something <laughs> like that. He disrespected our boy back in like the 80s there with that. But um, yeah, the, Xavier thought he was passable. And, and, and so he just wasn't, I built, I'm trying to remember what they were saying about him. He just wasn't a really exciting character yeah. to like render or draw. And it was only, I think in the modern era of comic books that he's actually taken off. And especially, I don't want to give any spoilers if you haven't read Ten of Swords yet. Oh yeah, but, yeah we've, we've been through uh, it. Oh, you've read yeah. it. He, you know, hooks up with Bay, 
Bay the and Blood I Moon. Think yep. People love that reverse gender role with him. Like when Bay in that final battle is like sweeping him off his feet, like <laughs> yep. to rescue him. Like X Instagram went wild for it. I'm not a stan of them together. I like Bay as a character. I obviously love Doug very much, sure. but them together, I'm like, I don't want that. I, I want my boy <laughs> without Bay, but we can get into it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Now, are there any stories uh, featuring Doug that, uh, that immediately stand out to you when you're thinking about Doug Ramsey? It's like, okay, well, there's, you know, I remember the time I read this and it blew me away or it, it, it taught me something or made me just appreciate the character more. Yeah, I'm going to, there's two that really come to mind because I, I was a big fan of Doug when Zeb Wells brought him back during Necrotia. Sure. And I thought the way they redid his power was mm -hmm. really great because if you can picture that scene in Necrotia where Celine's army is kind of coming into Utopia, mm -hmm. Doug is looking at the structure and he goes like this, and he's actually reading the architecture. Yep. So it goes from him understanding language, like actual verbal language, and now into stuff Abstracts. that's passive language. Yeah, yeah, abstract language. And so he can understand an architecture's language mm -hmm. as he's putting something. And I just love that. And in there, he magma with like a crowbar mm -hmm. and she's Ara, I know there's some, there's nothing I can do that will ever make you feel better, but I did um, create a language just specifically for you. And he whispers something in her ear and she's here like, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so, so beautiful the way they kind of encompassed his power. The second one, I'm going to say it's the most recent one, which is Ten of Swords. Mm -hmm. I, I love him with the warlock arm and sure. sword. I think it looks beautiful. I think the art looks beautiful. I have spoken to Ryan Ting at Hasbro, and mm -hmm. I have told him, I want that Doug Ramsey. <laughs> I, think, I think we are getting a Doug Ramsey. I really? Think that, I think we are going to get a Marvel Legends Doug Ramsey. I think specifically for that, hang on. I think specifically for that, um, I, I don't think it's going to be with the Ten of Swords, but I think it'll be a normal one. Oh, well, you never know. Maybe they'll do one of those things where you pull one arm off, you put the other one on. You never know. Oh my know. God. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. No, I, I love that because uh, the Necrotia stuff was great with uh, where Zeb was giving him um, like the ability to read body language, you know, like yeah. just all this stuff to, because one of the things that we talk about on the show when it comes to Doug is that Everyone tries to Jeff Johns Aquaman him. Like oh, where, yeah. like, you know, when Jeff Johns took over Aquaman, everyone's like, ha ha, he's the guy who talks to fish. And Jeff mm -hmm. Johns is like, no, no, no. He's, there's more to him than that. And it worked out great. So then it feels like whenever there's Doug, it's like, oh, he's the one who can change. He can, he can you know, he can translate. What do you do? And it's like, no, 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 there's more he can do. Yeah. And when you have it where you can read body language, that's fantastic. One of the more contentious um, issues that we've discussed on the show was that New Mutants issue uh, where Doug is being trained by magic. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it read like, it's like, well, every time they try to prove that Doug is more than what he is, it feels so forced because he is just so adaptable without being, without forcing it. You know, yeah. he, he can, he's a great utility player, of course. He can also read body language, but here we have him fighting magic to prove that he can fight. It's, yeah. It's like he has so many other things well, he can offer. 
He was on, he was in Second Coming, where he was part of the team that went into the future. Yep. And he single-handedly saved that team. I mean, mm -hmm. the X-Men are quite literally fighting for survival in the past, present, and future. And I don't understand why all of a sudden that he, he's so inept when it comes yeah. to being able to, to fight. Like, that being said, though, I don't think every character needs to be a tank. That's totally fine that a character isn't able to fight and, and you can show those weaknesses with the character. But um, I think with Doug in that particular issue that I didn't like, it, I think he would have learned some basic combat. Sure. You know what I mean? Like over the years. And I, I don't know. And, and, and we can get into the, the question here now about resurrection. Mm -hmm. And if mutants are able to resurrect in their most perfect ideal forms, would Doug resurrect himself with some basic fighting abilities? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's something we can we can chat about. But sure. yeah, I think that was a little jarring to see. But I thought also it was very cute to see their um, interactions. Oh, their relationship is, and like, is hilarious. Uh, yeah, and I love that she's looking out for him because sure. Liana in those first like issues of New Mutants, she wasn't the badass she is today. Mm -hmm. And no. I I love modern Ileana for me. Like mm -hmm. I was reading god loves man kills for an episode mm -hmm. and i was like wait a minute that's Ileana." like i didn't remember like that oh, yeah. she was so not the badass she is today yeah, it's true it's true yeah she uh it, it, when she came back um when did she come back during that new mutants run uh yeah, with did. uh was that zeb wells or was that abnett and lanning or... uh, i think it was um is that dna uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so it, it she was came back zeb wells. yeah she came back then and uh it was uh, it was a lot different because I mean even even in the mid New Mutants she wasn't she wasn't you know the tank that she is you know it was just she had uh, we actually do a magic magic segment on this episode here where we were going through all of her powers and we were just shocked because it's like <laughs> it's like she could do this she could do this yeah. she can heal herself she's <laughs> got this armor that shows up she can teleport through time space anywhere it's like who could stop her ever <laughs> no one I, I don't wild. know if you read the not to derail with uh, sure. with magic, but if you read the Leah Williams "What If" issue <laughs> of Magic, where she becomes the Sorceress Supreme, and it's yes. like I think that's her organic evolution. I think she's training with Doctor Strange right now. I'm not reading Strange Academy, even though I love Doctor Strange. No, no beef with Doctor Strange. I just I I need a, a pause from comics sometimes. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it, it's like when you do shows and you do content online. It's like you don't have much time for the fun stuff. You know, the just the stuff that you read just for yourself. You just don't have the time for you it. You don't so have often. time for it anymore. No, man. Like I literally read com. I probably read five issues of a comic every day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's fun. I love that. But like in terms of venturing out for new things, I'm like, oh man, it's on my list. I'll get to it eventually. I have to partake, uh, participate in real life. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, as scary as that is, yes, we oh. need to be part of real life as well. Like what's up? I I got a message from a listener saying that uh, to check out one issue in particular of Strange Academy. And so I ran out and I, I spent four bucks on this issue for one page because yeah, uh, it's, what was it? It's a Wanda, Wanda's email. 
Oh, and, with Mag uh, to Magneto or Magneto. Ma Magneto like writing that. to her, inviting her, and Beast also inviting her to Krakoa. So it's like, well, fuck Beast. Oh. I hate Beast. <laughs> I hate Beast so much. Talk about the worst X-Men ever. So A, I would never try, if I got an email from Beast, I'd be like, that's going directly into spam. <laughs> B, Magneto has a lot of balls to be messaging Wanda that because he's on the sword facility being like, oh yes, Wanda the Pretender. The pretender. Like, like, you know, that was, whether she, in my head canon, she's still his daughter. Mm -hmm. and they're still family but i accept that that's not canon but like at one point you believed she was your daughter and you're literally just talking bad about her like that and then you're writing an email to her you know like just to, like, bury the head with her like no 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 i'm sorry but that, um, that is that's an interesting point because it's like just because there is no blood relation there yeah they were a family for so many years there's so the like, family you create. I don't exactly. know why they would. Exactly. You don't just that. turn that off. It's yeah. it's very, very bizarre. And uh, yeah, current year Beast, not a fan. I, I loved Beast back in the day. Um, he's one of like the three pop figurines that I own <laughs> is Beast. And uh, but Sorry, that must be worth nothing. I'm sure it's not. <laughs> sure it's not. But, uh, but current, current Beast in X-Force, oh boy. He, it's rough to read him. It's really, ever, actually Beast ever since... Um, Boy, uh, Utopia has just been, because he was part of like the Secret Avengers there. He sided with the Avengers against the X-Men. It's like, get this During one of their most like terrible times where they needed Absolutely. all hands on deck. Like they were literally on the verge of extinction. Yeah. We have an episode called uh, Why Beast is the Worst X-Man. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a question, Chris, and maybe sure. you can answer this for me. I asked Jordan D. White, who's the editor of the X-Books, mm -hmm. and he gave me a fun response, but like, I'll ask you. Where did Beast get his doctorate degree? At the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that is exactly what Jordan said. Oh, wow. Which is like, like they just give out fake degrees there. But like, they're accredited. One day, Beast just showed up auditioning for the Avengers and it's like, oh, duh, I'm a doctor. And it's like, dude, where did you get that doctorate degree? Like, he's a sociopath. Like, he went on Photoshop and literally Photoshopped himself a degree. Like, I hate that guy so much. I'm like, why need be? You don't need Beast when you have Doug. Just put Doug Ramsey into everything. There you that go. Is. <laughs> now, talking about the current era stuff here, the current day post Hox Pox stuff here, so much has changed, right? I mean, it is just a whole new world. Yeah. We learned so much just in that initial 12 issues. It's like everything was turned on its ear here. So I've been asking folks who've been coming on for this episode, like, when you found out in, I think it was House of X number two, uh, Maura McTaggart, not the Maura McTaggart we knew. Yeah. What were your thoughts upon hearing that not only is she not a human, but she's lived nine consecutive lives. She's in her 10th. She retains the memories of all of them. All of those lives. What, what, did, what did that, how did that, how did you receive that? Yo, I was, so I was shocked. I didn't quite understand what was happening as I was reading those pages. <laughs> I'm like, what, she had all these kids? Like, does that mean Proteus <laughs> is among them? Like, did Myra just have this secret life? Like, and, and you know, she lived and like she had, and then the next page where they're like her second life. And I was like, oh, and they're like, and she, though she didn't know it, she was gifted. Yep. She was a mutant. And it's like the shot of her as a two-year-old with like the pigtails. I literally, I, I read it on the tablet. I was like, no, they didn't make her a mutant. <laughs> Because, like, the first thing that came to my mind was, like, Moira was the first person to get the legacy virus yep, who was a not human. immune in. Yep. So now that's, that's obviously a lie. Now she was – if she really did have the sure. legacy virus. And just reading all of her different lives, it shot Myra up for me 
A-list. Like mm -hmm. she went from being a D-list character directly to an A-list. And like the four like ideological leaders of the X-Men, I see now as Xavier, Magneto, Emma, and Moira. So mm -hmm. I went wild when I saw that. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, that's and great. Don't even get me started when she's here like um we're not resurrecting destiny like we can't yeah. bring destiny i am i am team destiny irene adler is one of my favorite mutants and i love that scene where irene is like i've seen all the good your Burn work does it down. i don't care <laughs> yep. and then she burns her and now yep. mystique is coming back to burn down everything but i i oh, think mystique's awesome. gonna get i think mystique is gonna have help when she unleashes the inferno on krakoa but has it been has it been um confirmed that she is behind inferno i so i think right now the way the issue ended is that it's implied that mystique is going to be the one kind of causing all that stuff burning into the ground but i i think the hints are there especially after so. this week's issues that a certain <laughs> redhead may be returning so let's <laughs> fingers crossed on that let's 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 hope that actually happens well, that's fantastic because i, cause I we would, we did the uh, the Maura McTaggart um, bio for the X of Swords handbook here, and one of the things that uh, you know, just as it's a recitation of everything that we've seen, right? It's like okay, it's everything's in a line here. It's been so long since we read House of X, Powers of X. It's just like okay, that was a while ago. Yeah. And as I'm as I'm going through the the bullet points, uh, we get to uh, her third life where Destiny does kill her. And the reason she kills her is because she's discovered the cure for mutantum, right? Yep. So Destiny kills her saying, hey, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't make this, you know, don't do this again. But Mara remembers everything from her past lives. So does that mean right now she knows how to cure mutantum? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think she absolutely does know mm -hmm. how to cure the mutant uh x gene mm -hmm. which is i don't know you know like the way i feel about like the cure it just like it's an unnecessary plot that just like makes everything and it won't stop question. coming yeah it and it's like coming like when we didn't did it and we didn't like i don't endorse that run at all like we know how problematic we is but yeah. when he did it it was sort of like a groundbreaking notion and then x3 kind of ran with it and they made rogue take the cure you know at the end and like mm -hmm. I don't know, it causes more problems for me from a plot perspective, but like, yeah, I think it's, I think at this point, they probably know every, I mean, they obviously have even discovered how to bring back the mutant X gene because the big thing after the pretender was, after the pretender cursed them, was that they couldn't find the mutant X gene. I mean, mm -hmm. Beast was in charge of trying to find answers, and of course he was useless. But <laughs> well, every, like every, every four or five issues, we saw him holding a test tube saying, hey, yeah, okay. And then he put it back yeah. down and, and went to do other things. And that's it, yeah. I mean, completely, <laughs> such a useless human being, or mutant. Um, but, but I think now with the Crucible, for example, you mm -hmm. get resurrected in a body that has the X gene. Yeah. So they found a way to bypass the, the Pretender's curse. Sure, so, sure. You know, so yeah, I think they probably know how to cure the X gene. I'm sure they know how to suppress it and I know what they're supposed to do. So I think I, as of right now, the way I operate, mm -hmm. mutants know everything about the mutant body and the mutant genetics. I think so, you're right. Mm -hmm. But Myra is in her no space yeah. tumor of Krokoa <laughs> section. So I, I guess we can assume they still have that knowledge even without Moira. Sure, sure. Now, speaking of resurrections here, um, that was uh, House of X number five, I think it was. And... I mean, we, we circled back to the scene that opened things up where we had someone coming out of a gold ball 
and Professor yeah. X touching him and, you know, sparks coming out of his eyes and everyone's like, is that Cyclops? Yeah. And then we find out it was. Uh, yeah. What were your thoughts on Death Don't Matter No More? Yeah, I, oh God, I had like an existential <laughs> crisis with that, man. I don't even want to talk about it. I warned you before we started this episode that I'm a crazy Gene fan. Sure, so, sure. So here's the thing. Gene and the rest of the team died without within the reach of Cerebro. So mm -hmm. their backups are the backups that were about to set off on the mission. Yeah. So basically, the way I saw it initially, it was like, but wait, our X-Men died, and now these are just clones that are yeah. coming back? But I think, you know, Hickman has spoken to this. It boils down to your notion of a soul and what is a soul. I mean, I, I'm a huge believer of the act of phenomenology that we are who we are because we experience life. Mm -hmm. So even in this very second, I'm experiencing life in a way that a day spring from 10 minutes ago isn't experiencing life. Sure. So like, which one's the real one? But Hickman was like saying something to the effect of like, do you believe that when you die and you're resurrected, does your soul follow you to that new body? Mm -hmm. So I can get my mind wrapped around that. Sure, like, sure. You know, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that, oh, Cylons. They're doing what the Cylons did on Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if you saw Battlestar Galactica. I, I don't know anything about pop culture. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So Battlestar Galactica <laughs> was rebooted in the early 2000s. Okay. And in there, there, there are a bunch of machines called the Cylons. Mm -hmm. And when a Cylon dies, they get resurrected again. Like their memories download into like a new body. And okay. the Cylons look like humans like us. So mm -hmm. they, they have something called Cylon Resurrection. So that's the first thing I thought. And that was like, you know what? I think for like the longest time, like X-Men, like the revolving door with death and taking mm -hmm. a dirt nap was sort of like a running gag with the X-Men. Sure. Like now... Now they're a society that doesn't know death. And what does that mean? And I think they've, people like Cy Spurrier in Way of X are tackling that question. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm down for that. I think it's a fresh, interesting take on it. Um, there's some stuff I still don't understand, like the shouting naked, you know, like when mutant, people are resurrected. Mutant, yeah. mutant, like, I don't know. That <laughs> seems like laborious to do it every single time. Like, I'm kind of over it, you yeah. know, like, but, you know, I... Hey, Quentin I, Quire, they got to do it about five times a day for poor I Quentin, know, right? he's like the Kenny of the, <laughs> yes. the, the, the X-Men now, X-Force. But what, what did you think, though? Like, that was... Because that oh, was pretty boy. crazy. Like, yeah, that, no I, one saw that coming. It was the big, the big shoe drop, right? It was just, like, really, really crazy here. Um, if anybody listened to the first 12 episodes of this show, um, I was very, very precious about my continuity. And I'm like, wait, if, if more is, you know, not the more we know, and there's all these lives, and what happened in, what, what, what's real? What's still here? You know, yeah. what, what's still around? And with me... Um, where, where we bring the X-Men back here, the first thing that jumped to my mind was the discontinuity of like, it's like, well, they, like we just saw it recently with the vault here, right? We had, you know, Sink escape from the vault. He died right there, but right moments before he died, he was able to, you know, Professor X was able to get those memories, get those, those concepts about the children of the vault, uh, which was the entire plan there. So he was able to get that right as Sink was dying. So when Sink comes back, he's basically the same guy. You know, he, he experienced those hundreds of years in the vault, right? But then we see that Laura, X-23, Wolverine, she died in the vault. Yeah. And she came back from a past um, Cerebro backup. Yeah. She had no memory of those hundreds of years. Oh, she didn't realize, tragedy. yeah, she didn't realize that she and Sink had a, perhaps a romantic entanglement. Yeah. So there's discontinuity there. 
you know, uh, that, that Laura is never coming back. The one that experienced all those years is just gone. And, and it was so heartbreaking because after the resurrected, he looks at her yeah, and, and she's, she's like, like, what, what are, are you looking, looking at? at? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, she has no clue. Like he has all of this history all with these her memories. And, she, and that makes it so, tra- but I, I do love that. But yeah, oh, yeah, at the same time, I'm like, Oh, but was that the real Laura who like, exactly. who lived in it? So, you know, I think we just have to kind of like loosen our reins exactly. with stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Cause I mean, we talk about your favorite character beast. Um, he recently, <laughs> he recently died, right? He was, he had, uh, Quint, the evil Quentin Quire clone from Zeno had, uh, inv- invaded his dreams and made him, you know, show up to school naked or whatever. And in order to fight him off, Beast, like, threw himself into a stroke, basically, in fighting this, uh, this psychic entity of his body went into a stroke. And since his mind was compromised, he and Sage had a little agreement where, hey, if either of our minds are compromised, well, we do the favor, you know, we take yeah. them out. So, Beast dies there, knowing he's going to be reborn, of course. But if I'm not mistaken, that was Beast's first death ever. Yeah, I think that, well, God, it's horrible to think that such a horrific character never died before. Um, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Poor I kid. Henry. Um, poor Henry. I, yeah, is that his first death? I'm trying to think here. He was, when he brought back the 05, I think he was feigning a death or he was on the cusp of death, but he didn't die. Yeah. No, and then when he, in Extreme X-Men, he had the secondary mutation that mm-hmm. led him that to the more to the cat. cat. Yeah. Yeah, the cat piece. So yeah, you're right. I think that was his first official death. Just like, you know, other characters, I think, are experiencing death for the first time now. And mm-hmm. that's really interesting to see. It is, it is. And I, it's like, that's one thing I wonder about, like, are we, I, we talk about how, you know, death can't be cheapened in comics, right? It's like, oh, well, they died again. They died again. Yeah. But for like a first, for a legacy character, that always kind of, it, it just like struck me a little weird. It's like, well, you know, also I think Storm hasn't died. She hasn't, because she had the she, dance with death during Exorcist, yeah. where they're like, you haven't tasted death yet. Yeah, she yeah. didn't die. And I think in Giant Size X-Men, she, wait, in Extreme X-Men, she came pretty close to dying, and that's when Jean came to save her. And she was mm. here like, no, actually, I'm not dying. I just want to say hi to my parents. Yeah. And so that's, that's what happened in Extreme. And then in Giant Size X-Men, she was infected with, uh, oh, my something God. Something from the vault. Yeah, something from the vault. Um, but and and she, there's a monologue where she says, "I know this is ridiculous, but I don't want to die. I don't want yeah. to lose this body. I mean, yeah, I could die, and you can just resurrect me, but I don't want to." So mm-hmm. I feel like when if we get stories like that that acknowledge, like just because we can resurrect doesn't mean I actually want to die. Like I get it for the young kids. Like the young yeah. kids can go ahead and do it, but I think for someone like Storm, who's like, "No, I love my body. I love my mm-hmm. life. Even if you're going to bring me back, I don't want to die." I think yeah. those are very powerful oh, like absolutely. narratives put there. Yeah, I think that's something that we're going to be exploring more in Way of X here. Uh, we saw that with uh, the pixie scene, you know. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like, well, you're you're a death virgin. It's like, <laughs> I, I just I just don't want to. <laughs> I don't she, want to. She gets peer pressured into it. Oh, come on. Um, keeping on the trail of uh, mutant deaths here, um, the Crucible. The Crucible yeah. is a huge topic here. Uh, one of the one of the biggest uh, reasons that we get mail on the show is uh, to talk about what's right and what's wrong with the crucible. So X-Men number seven, they're talking about this crucible. We don't really know what it is. We have an idea, but we don't know exactly what it is. And then it turns out to be like the one thing we really didn't want it to be, which is ritual death at the hands of apocalypse under the guise of giving a a young child a gift. Yeah. What were your thoughts uh, upon reading the crucible for the first time? 
Yeah, I so I thought it was barbaric and I thought it was mm -hmm. really cruel. I, I understand society, religion, and ritual, which is what I think that issue was supposed to be about. And oh. I erroneously thought that Nightcrawler was going to be establishing a mutant religion following mm -hmm. that, especially with Way of X. And then Sysperger clarified it's not a religion, it's more of a way of life, it's more mm -hmm. of a culture. But, you know, I, I thought it was barbaric because I was like, why not just like put someone to sleep in a humane way and let them resurrect? But I guess there's such there's such a backlog with resurrection. You have the the mutants on Necrosha that died. You have people mm -hmm. who were depowered by the Pretender. That like for the people who get selected, you had to prove that you really want to be a mutant. Yeah. And then it really does call into question like, and I think Nightcrawler was talking about that. Like, what constitutes a mutant being at its fullness? You know, mm -hmm. uh, when are they fulfilled? Is it a mutant who's resurrected with Magneto's powers, because apparently you can do that, and like sure. bodies. I don't know what like the consent, they haven't established those parameters, but like if someone's gonna resurrect themselves and they wanted something of my physical body, it'd be like, eh, don't do that. <laughs> but um, I, 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 I'm just curious to see where it's gonna go. I don't think we have enough yet, but no, I thought no. it was, I, I thought it was barbaric. I thought it was a little cruel. And again, it was X-Men number seven mm -hmm. or six or seven, whatever, whatever issue you said it was. And like, I still haven't been used like the X-Men that I grew up with where like we we're, we do the danger room session. And if someone gets hurt, there's a team meeting about it afterwards. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm okay with it. It's just mm -hmm. taken me a while to become okay with it. Yeah. And it's taken me a while to understand that they are a society now with their own rituals and the yeah. crucible is part of their ritual. Yeah. And it is a way to prove that you want to be a mutant and it kind of makes sense. You know, if you're following, I know if, if you're not reading the books religiously, it sounds kind of weird to say it makes sense. But like within the context of oh, Krakoa, totally. you're like, you're like, oh, I gotcha. You know, because yeah. even like if we look at uh, what Cy Spurrier said about the Dunbar number in uh, Way of X, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, well, you know, you can only you can only have an attachment to X amount of people. Right. Yeah. So in order to, to have like a fleshed out society, you need things like ritual. So. There you go. You got a crucible. That is part of your yeah. ritual here. That's a commonality between people. I mean, Krakoa has 200,000 people on it right now, yeah. give or take. You're not going to meet all of them, no matter where no. you are on the island, but you have this commonality in these rituals and in the crucible and in resurrection and in gathering to shout mutant at naked people. I mean, it's, <laughs> the, all those things that, that make a society a society. And despite the fact that, I mean, a mutant nation isn't really new. We've seen it two or three times already. So th yeah. that wasn't so groundbreaking. But the fact that we're actually taking it to this next level and we're, we're playing into things like, uh, like classism and just within its own little structure here, it used to be mutants against humans, but now we have just mutants. Humans are not even a factor anymore on this island, but there is a separation. I mean, it's just a human thing to do. You gravitate toward people. You gravitate toward people who have common interests. Um, and we've seen in New Mutants, the less traditionally aesthetically pleasing are kind of going to themselves here. Not quite the Morlocks, but we've got characters like Cosmo and Anole. They're kind of just coming together, just kind of like by yeah. osmosis. So it's very interesting that we're exploring the, the macro as well as the micro here on, on yeah. so that's, that's a really cool thing. But, uh. We're here to talk about Doug, too. So let's get back into Doug. Doug. <laughs> Doug. I was sold on Doug Ramsey. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, 
the uh, the bio we get here, and, and this is something we've complained about for every bio we've covered so far in this book. It's PC. Um, it's kind of like a uh, it's kind of like a recitation of facts by someone who uh, is really in the now. So like the things that happened a long time ago, kind of glossed over. You know, it's like we jump from this issue to five years later to this issue, where now in the past five years we get pages of uh, material. It's just very, very clustered toward the end here, very back heavy in the, uh, in the Cypher Doug Ramsey backstory here. So we'll be filling in things here as we, we go along. And also another thing we've been complaining about is the fact that there are no citations in this book. They don't tell you where to go to find these stories. So it's like Doug Ramsey dies at the hand of the animator. Well, you're gonna have to Wikipedia that because we're not gonna tell you what issue that's in. So. We'll go through it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't think I read the uh, the bio pages for Ten of Swords. You're not missing anything. You're really <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently not. No, you you uh, whether or not you bought it, I don't know. So you might have just saved five dollars. Um, I bought the omnibus. Okay. And okay. I I I I don't know if I is it in the omnibus. I might I'll have be. to check. I don't know. Yeah. I have to check. But uh, yeah, I kind of hope it's not because if I have to put this episode in the uh, in the collected edition of the X of Swords, that's gonna be like a thirty-two hour episode. Oh, whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll, take, we'll play it by ear here. Now it. we meet Doug before he even knows he's a mutant, right? He uh, he yeah. would become friends with Kitty Pride. He didn't even realize yeah. he had any powers. And in fairness, of course, his powers are a little bit less obvious than you know shooting beams out of his eyes. Um, he was recruited to assist the new mutants in communicating with Warlock course the techno-organic alien who'd been who he's been wearing as a glove for much of the Krakoan era he would wind up officially joining the new mutants and he would be really tight with warlock then evidently according to this handbook nothing else happened until doug died <laughs> i mean i i i have to kind of agree with that unfortunately <laughs> I mean, I think if you read X-Men as Guardian Wars, he plays mm -hmm. a very prominent role there, especially when they're, they go up against the Enchantress sure. and they're all like separated and he has to, I forget who he fights. He goes to like a bar and he gets his like ass whipped. Mm -hmm. But Doug, unfortunately, wasn't very prominent. I no. mean, I think his, his merger with um, Warlock and being the self-soul friend, mm -hmm. I think that really lent itself to the character and making him a little bit more uh, accessible and like popping on page. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think he, it was established that he had a crush on Kitty. Oh yeah. I think that was, that was something that was implied. I don't think it ever gets followed up to again. He did, he was very important and instrumental in rescuing Betsy Braddock from In Mojo. New Mutants Annual too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Betsy, that's why in Ten of Swords, when she just dies and Doug's like, I guess I'm getting married next. I'm like, no, <laughs> you have history with Betsy. I mean, it's kind of complicated, icky history, but like, nonetheless, I don't think you would be that upset about it. So I think, and then he also had something going on with Rain. He had like a special yeah. rapport with her as well. So yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't do much, but he is the heart of this team and certainly, people do certainly. love him very much. Yeah, when, when Betsy went into a billion Betsy bits, uh, the, the reaction to that from the folks who were standing right next to her was very underwhelming. 
Well, it, it's almost like they, first of all, I thought that she, she was fighting Iska the unbeaten. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're going to be smart. They're going to, Iska is going to win, but mm -hmm. her winning is somehow going to cause her downfall, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like do something clever with it. No, it was a very earnest scene. She just kills Betsy yeah. and wins. And then everyone's like, oh, Betsy's dead. Everyone's a mess. Next? Oh, Doug's getting one. <laughs> yeah. like, and I was like, no, like that was just so weird. It was cool art. I believe was, oh, it was Phil beautiful. Noto. I think Phil Noto did that page. Yeah. And, oh, like it was gorgeous. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it was not. Um, it was very, I didn't even believe she was fully dead. Like it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, very, yeah. very strange stuff here. Uh, the handbook uh, continues to skip over the nebulous Douglock era, which is fine because <laughs> that wasn't really Doug, um, but maybe worth a mention nonetheless here. I remember, I don't remember if this was something that they actually said in the books or if it was just like a comic store playground rumor. It's like, well, they put, they put Warlock's ashes on Doug's grave and somehow they, they combined into one being here. Yeah, I don't remember that. I'm not saying it didn't happen because I feel like I have heard that. I, mm -hmm. If it happened, it's not an issue I've read it in. Mm -hmm. But they do, like Kitty at one point does think that Doug Locke is Doug Ramsey yeah. reborn. And she's here like, well, I'm going to phase through the ground and I'm going to show you that his coffin is empty. And then, boom, there's that skeleton with that He's blonde there. hair and yep. Kitty's face. So... You know, I think, and even reading Felix Covenant recently, <laughs> again, we, I have a book club and we read Felix Covenant and Generation X1. <laughs> I mean, Doug Locke is a reaction to both those characters and it is established how different that entity is from the previous two. It's funny. We were, there's another show that I sometimes do called From Claremont to Claremont, where, uh, oh my God, we, uh, incredible. <laughs> where we cover, um, all the non-Claremont stuff. So we cover from when Claremont left the book in 91 and when he come back in, in 2000. There's like three episodes out. It's been, it, it, the episodes are like 15 hours long each. So they take a while. But I have a problem <laughs> I mean, on my episodes. <laughs> my episodes are like three hours. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So there was a letters page in one of the X books there and they wrote and said, hey, I have an idea for you guys. Doug Locke mixed Doug Ramsey and Warlock and the editor wrote back it's like yeah right that'll never happen and then like three years later boom Doug there Locke. you go I hope that person got some royalties for I that I hope so too I hope so too <laughs> just like that that kid who designed the the black uh, Spider-Man costume the secret oh Wars you're one. right yeah you know? like where I think Jim Shooter had to send him some money but yeah. uh, I think he just did it out of the kindness of his heart <laughs> well not enough money no, certainly not. Not, not nowadays, anyway. Yeah. Um, now, we resume Doug's story uh, during uh, Marvel's attempt at a Blackest Night type of story. Um, yeah. The yeah <laughs> I call and, it like the Halloween of the X-Men. There you go. There you go. Now, he would be resurrected by Celine and sent along with several resurrected Hellions in order to attack the once again reunited New Mutants. And uh, they, all they have here is that Ilyana used her soul sword to free him of Saline's control and he's back for good. Is there anything that the that the book is leaving out? Well, I think Doug felt really insecure seeing them all together. So I think the issue that Zeb Wells wrote, mm -hmm. it's him in the coffin and you just get the caption off and then you see Celine's uh, transmode virus coming into him and then he's on and he kind of comes out and then he, you know, the story picks up with him going to uh, Utopia, and he sees the New Mutants being reunited with Xavier, and they go off and they hug, 
And Doug is kind of like the odd man out in that situation. Sure. He's just watching from the window as like the entire team minus him is uh, reuniting. So I think, I mean, yes, that's accurate. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. But I think there was a little bit more heart in that story. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't think that that quick little bio like rendered all of that. But yeah, he he totally was freed by Ileana and then he stuck around with the X-Men, thankfully. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, at that time, I think a lot of people who were byproducts of Celine's uh, transmode virus, Destiny being one of them, yeah. they died directly after she was done with her with her reign. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, his powers, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, his PP amped up a bit, right? Uh, becoming, yep. you know, he could read architecture, uh, more abstract forms of language, body language, make them more va- valuable, valuable in battle. Um, and it feels like, as we mentioned earlier, that's kind of been backburnered a little bit in the uh, Exoswords thing here, where he is looking a little bit more clumsy, a little bit more inept here. It did lead to a fun story with Ileana, but it's one of those things where it's like, did we forget about that? Or is that just inconvenient? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, now, the New Mutants would have several adventures during their reunion stint, uh, including run-ins with Bastion, you know, from Operation Zero yeah. Tolerance. Uh, also, General Ulysses, who we're going to talk about a lot more in the Magic bio. Uh, this is during the Utopia era, of course. And the New Mutants were assigned by Cyclops, and I love this. I love this idea because if you're a long-term X-Men fan, or if you're scared to become an X-Men fan, this is why. Dangling plots. Who sends? Uh, I remember growing up and it's like, you can read that stuff. You can understand it. There's just so much going on. Like, how do you connect all those dots? It's exactly. so, it's like this puzzle with, you, you're given a puzzle without all of the pieces. Yeah, you have to turn the puzzle upside down. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like you're trying to fit them in. Or you have to go back to the store to try to find it, you know? Yes. <laughs> and the new mutants were assigned basically cold cases here. They were here to take care of loose ends, which is, I mean, we talk about how there is, like right now we talk about the bloat. You know, that's one of the things we talk about on the show, the reign of X bloat. We're getting all these new books here, X Corp. I mean, uh, we've got, uh, Ileana has her Dark Riders and that Man-Thing one shot. We have all these teams and it's like- Oh, I haven't read the Man-Thing yet. No, I've heard good things. I've heard good things, but- Okay. Yeah, yeah I, but you're right. There is, there's a lot. Of, I can't keep up, you yeah, know, it's and hard. it's like, and, and like, and not only are all these books coming out and I'm sorry for cutting you off. Oh, no, no, it's you're not good. even, not even that all these books are coming out, but then there's so much data pages in them. Oh, and you're just like, how do you, I, I appreciate that. I, it, mm-hmm. what the X office is doing today is incredible. That being said though, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. There is a there's lot, a lot of, of it. Totally. It. So like, we'll get a book now like X factor, which actually has a reason to exist and they're canceling yeah. it. You know, they, the X Factor was a book that, like, when you saw it coming up on the, in the solicits, like, oh, we're, I guess we just need another book with an X in the title. Yeah. But then uh, Leah Williams just established it as its own thing and something, and it's, it's so weird because it's something that we say on the show is that this is one of the least traditional books that you can read, but it's one of the most traditional X books. It, yeah. feels, like, right. it feels like Claremontian in a way where every character on X Factor, current year X Factor, gets their own gets their own bit every issue everybody's yeah. story from from even like someone like kyle who we don't know very well north star's husband he'll get a scene every issue just about where it's like okay well we're learning more about this guy this is great and we're finally getting to learn more about all these characters and it's a book that has a reason to exist 
then you know we have like we have like a children of the atom it's like does that need to exist i don't know so here's a dark little <laughs> secret i have not read children of the atom <laughs> you know it, it has its heart in the right place i think but i love vita ayala oh I yeah what, new what mutants they, is fantastic new mutants is one of my favorite mm -hmm. books so i think what they are doing as a writer they're just killing it but mm -hmm. absolutely I, it's children of the atom it just didn't appeal to me as like as a reader despite whoever sure. would have written it but they are a fantastic writer i'm sorry okay. i i'm not interested in that title they're so far we've covered two issues of children of the atom on the show and they're basically the same story in two different in the two issues and it's like yeah. ah, we're in repeats already <laughs> i just story. like my thing is like, and I was talking about this with, I think it was size barrier mm -hmm. where I said, like, I just feel like there's too much plot coming at me mm -hmm. and like I, there, there are too many seeds being planted. I just want to see the story grow and come to fruition. Yeah. You know, now you're giving me children of the atom, but like, I'm still harping on what's going on with, uh, with destiny and Moira. Like yeah. I want to, I want stories that are going to gravitate towards more of that. The current philosophy in the X office right now, and I think this is why Leah Williams speaks so much to you and your listenership, mm -hmm. is because they are doing Claremontine, which yeah. is you are throwing so much into a scene. Like you have a character running down the hallway. Well, you're going to put 100 Easter eggs in the background. Oh, yeah. So that way, another writer can come in and mine mm -hmm. those story plots for a future story. Some of them are like happening right now. Others may be... 15 years from now, you never we'll know. see another writer come in and, and take to fruition for that. So I think it's just frustrating because that's a way for me personally, that's just like a way I don't read comics anymore. Like it just, that's a way that's just gone. Now I, I expect a beginning, middle and end and for everything true. to be tied up. So I, I'm, I'm happy for that. Let's see where they go with it though. Mm -hmm. But for sure. I, I, I'm with you on the Dawn of Exploit and, oh. and all of that stuff. Yeah, because I, I, one of the things that I, I call it the, the X-lapsed problem is that like so many of these stories I think are supposed to be, you know, you spend 15 minutes with it, you enjoy it, you put it in the box, you're done with it. Yeah. Well, with X-lapsed, I spend about five hours a day with each issue. Dang. So, yeah. so it's, <laughs> that's a problem because uh, yeah. it's a, you know, familiarity and contempt and all that, uh, all that happy horse stuff. But, uh, you know, what I was saying about X-Factor, you're having a reason to exist here they actually put effort into giving it its own individuality, its own identity, where new mutants uh, around the time of Utopia, Cyclops tasks them with, you're the cold case people. You're gonna handle all the stuff that's been lingering. Gives new mutants, which maybe didn't have such a solid identity up to that point. It was just, you know, okay, it's another new young mutants book. Okay, it's got yeah. some of our familiar favorite characters in it, but what are they doing? You know, it's a problem like with over in DC, when every time they bring back the Teen Titans, the, the you know, the Marv Wolfman, George Perez, New Teen Titans, they bring them back and it's like, but why? I mean, I yeah. love the New Teen Titans. Uh, the Teen Titans are some of my very favorites, but it's like, but there has to be a reason for it other than, hey, if we put all these people on the cover, it's going to sell copies. It has to be, you know, the bell has to ring. You need something to happen when you open the book. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and with New Mutants actually doing this loose ends thing, it's like, there it is. We have a yeah. reason for this book to exist now back in the well, Utopia era. Well, and especially since before that the, they didn't really have a reason to exist. They were until, just there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. So, I mean, the first thing they do is they rescue X-Men, who yeah. we hadn't seen. I, I think he showed up. He was one of the dark X-Men for like a minute. 
And he was. Uh, we didn't I'm see I'm a huge him. Nate Gray fan too. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. did you read uh, Age of X-Men? I, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Look, I understand what the writers were trying to do. I'm forgetting who the writers were. But they were trying to do um, The Dialect of Sex, uh, Firestone's yeah. book, where it was how do you eliminate oppression in society? Well, you remove object objectification. You create a society where the familial ties are more farmed out and it's mm -hmm. more communal. I get what they were doing on, on, on the ideological level, but Certainly. I just don't think it, it was executed properly. And especially since, look, I love Nate, but mm -hmm. Nate is a 19-year-old hormonal powerhouse. I don't sure. see him recreating the world with some sort of ideological vision. Uh, or, or being like Jesus, but mm -hmm. yeah, he came back in Dark X Men after dying at the end of X Men seventy five. He came yeah. back in Dark X Men, and then he was kind of captured by Norman Osborn, and then he somehow ended up with Sugarman. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's where we pick up here. The New Mutants they rescue uh, Nate from Sugarman. Then they go to Hell because, and I think Doug misspelled Hell. He was trying to get him into <laughs> H E L, the Asgardian Hell, but spelled yeah. it with two L's, and they wound up in regular Hell. They don't go into any detail about this in the handbook. So, uh, do you remember them going <laughs> to Hell? <laughs> I vaguely do remember that story it's of them vague, going yeah. into Hell. Yeah, it's it's one of those plot points. Where you're like, sure, sure, okay. Yeah, why not? Why not? As long as it's not why? Wolverine taking two issues in Hell to find a sword, it's okay. I, you know, so it's so funny. I was gonna bring it back to Ten of Swords too when you were like, <laughs> oh, he misspelled Hell. Well, and then magic misspells magic in Ten of Swords. That's right. That's right. She spells it with a K and loses the and spelling bee. Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Like, she just wouldn't do that. And then for Wolverine, you know, those two issues of him and Elle, I didn't hate them. Mm -hmm. I think they were some of the stronger story points. Like him really? and Storm. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Look at your, <laughs> your face there. Yeah, I we we can get into it another time. But like sure. <laughs> I, I like I, I like that they I don't think it, it pieces together I think Ten of Swords is I first of all I wanna congratulate the X Office on like such a wonderful editorial feat mm -hmm. to get oh, all of those parts, yeah. No I know they had COVID working in their of favor. Course, of course. So they were able to piece things. But like some of the stories just kind of go like that and they're yeah. I feel like it's like a patchwork that they just put together and mm -hmm. it just didn't like I acknowledge that it's jarring to have two issues of Wolverine going to hell and also the Hellions. Like what, what, what the heck were they doing there? Oh, that was awesome. Though. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that was awesome though. I love, I, when, when we but met, the story doesn't fit into it doesn't, the larger it doesn't. narrative. No, it it's a great doesn't. story. It's its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like, like I, I was like, when I read it, I was like, okay, you don't, I didn't need to have those. Yeah. I, I, when, when we first met like the, the sassy sinister, I, I was oh, kind of like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna like this, but now it's like, holy cow, he is awesome. Like him, yes. him complaining about his cape, like him, we have him all slump-shouldered when he loses his cape to Jamie Braddock. It's like, oh, oh where, where's this character been my whole life? I love this I guy. I love him. And that, and you know, the cape thing was also in Hawksbox, yep. where mm -hmm. he was, he looks at Magneto, one of the Sinisters, and you're like, oh, well, I should have a cape. Yep. So, all good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome stuff. Uh, they, they are, uh, it's Zeb Wells. I mean, Zeb Wells has, we talk about it on the show here. It's hard to do comic timing in a comic yeah. book, but Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia can just oh, murder man. it. He, he killed, especially with um, the recent issue, one of the recent issues of Hellions where it's Sinister versus Arcade. And mm -hmm. he's here like, help me, this Chucky doll's attacking me. Yes. It's like his... <laughs> Eric, I literally laughed out loud. And when, uh, like, leading into that story, I think it was like Sage 
uh, like Sage was uh, like mind controlled by Mastermind to send the Hellions to where Sinister was being ca- being held, and they're like, "Yes, your leader has been captured," and the Hellions all bust out laughing. Yeah, uh, and it's like, oh, how great! It's like they hate this guy. It's great. They hate him. It's hysterical. <laughs> oh, it's so awesome here. Um, back to Doug though. He would be haunted by nightmares of his death, and uh, mm-hmm. he would take his the, him and the team would go back to Paradise Island, not not Wonder Woman. There's a different Paradise Island. <laughs> Um, now there, they would discover that a virus had corrupted all the critters on it, including Bird Brain. Bird Brain. <laughs> Love Bird Brain. Bird Brain and Gossamer. I forgot he came back until yep. now, actually. Wow. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Like, I always think about those lesser uh, New Mutants characters, like Bird Brain and Gossamer. We yeah. haven't seen Gossamer, I think, in 30 years? Yeah, I want to say... I, I mean, certainly if Gossamer's returned, it, I, it has been in an issue yeah. that I've seen. Yeah, I, I, I love those one-off mutant characters where it's just like, mm-hmm. you, n- you never know when you're going to, like, Generation X, like the Jay Ferber run, we had Gaia. And, oh, and she showed up and then right. she left. And then where did she go? <laughs> Gaia come back. I didn't read that Generation X run, funny enough. It's good. It's, it, Is it good? It, I, it, it, was, it was a hard uh, return from the Larry Hama stuff with the puka and all that weirdness which yeah. was pretty rough. But uh, when Jay Ferber took it over, it, was, uh, it became like a really good teenage team book where uh, they, they opened up the school to let human, uh, human students take part. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so like they would have like school dances and there'd be like mutants and humans and they would be like trying to bridge that gap and stuff. It was, it was some good stuff. Some really I'll, good stuff. Play, I'll put it on my list on my flight oh, back sure. home. I'm going to read for it. Sure. Oh, there we go. It's a blast. Thank you for the recommendation. Certainly, certainly. Anytime, <laughs> anytime. Now, we have Birdbrain, we have him corrupted, and this is all a plan to rebuild the animator. Uh, now the virus was revealed to be a friendly mutant called Genome that I don't uh, remember at all. I don't remember this mutant. Maybe, I'm assuming they're on Krakoa somewhere, maybe with a- uh, with Everyone's the, uh, on Krakoa now. Yeah, they, they gotta be, with uh, Ekis from the, uh, the Dallas, uh, the, the Texas State Fair issue, with Ice Cream from the Obnoxio issue, they're all, they're all hanging out. Uh, now, now, from here, uh, Doug would learn that an alternate version of himself would use Warlock's TO virus in order to take over the world. And he would be known as the true friend in this reality, and this would throw Doug into a deep depression. Uh, Doctor Strange would help the new mutants avoid this future from coming to pass. It doesn't get much more play than that, but that sounds like a pretty big story in Doug's, uh, in Doug's lore. Do you remember him being the true friend? Do I remember him being the true friend? Yes. Like, you know, that era was just like really, I liked that Nate was on the team (laughs) and they were in San Fran and a lot was going on with the team dynamic. But I don't think, I mean, I think you just hit like all the highlights that Doug had during that time. So, I mean, it it was one of those curious times where I think they were trying to, they were just about to hit schism, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that where we're going with it? And, you know, I, I was kind of just happy to have Doug back and alive and on the team. But I remember thinking like, oh, it wasn't quite where I wanted him to be. Or he didn't have that same oomph that he had when he had come back in the Crochet or even his original standing on New Mutants. Sure. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I feel like around that era, they started like that whole, that old uh, Stan Lee saying, never give the people what they think they want. Right. Yeah. During like the latter half of the 2000s here, it's like, Hey, the people want magic back. We'll give them magic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, they want Doug back. Give him Doug too. Well, they want Blink well, back. Well, give him Blink also. <laughs> but, 
but they gave like really good magic back you know what i mean and i would argue that doug was really good when he came back Mm -hmm. and you know and i think that entire new mutants era like they did a lot of revisiting uh, of plots i think when it was um when it was zeb wells writing the book they Mm -hmm. they went back to the inferno babies for example with face yeah 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 and I thought that was all like really great nostalgic stuff, but then mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of just fades away again. I think now what, what separates the books from even then, and I don't want to hate on any writers or any era because like you put me in charge of a book, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Sure, sure. But I think here, I, it, there is a feeling right now that history matters yeah. and things have more weight to them now than they probably did before. Probably. So, you know. So talking about Gossamer, like Inferno Babies, those Inferno Babies hadn't been seen for like it's Inferno. 30 years. Yeah, so yeah it's Inferno. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I was very grateful that you had writers during that time that were bringing back things like that. Oh, and, and they shift the focus to Doug and stuff like that. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, he wouldn't stay with the New Mutants. The New Mutants wouldn't be together forever, uh, at least No, womp womp. Yeah, so he would uh, join uh, all new X-Factor. This is the uh, post-X-Factor investigation series where uh, the team would work under Serval Industries and also wear some blindingly yellow uniforms. <laughs> That's what I remember from that. It's like, whoa, those covers, like, glow in the dark. I forget. Oh, God, that entire era is just like a blur. That was it's a blur, Gambit. Yeah. That it was, was Polaris, Gambit. Mm-hmm. Quicksilver was on it because he had he like was. that little arrow. Yep. And then and, and Warlock was on there too, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. It was very, I think Danger was there also. Yeah, Danger was oh, there. Oh, Danger. Yeah. Remember when Danger was a thing? Yeah. yeah. Where, where is she now? Oh, I, I don't know where she's at. I don't think we've seen her on Krakoa yet. No, I don't but think so. We all know what happened with Danger and Doug, of course. Yeah, we're about to get there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Honestly, block that out of my memory until oh, yeah. this very moment. <laughs> now, I wanna, I'm gonna while you're talking about it, I'm pulling up the issue. So I can oh, see excellent. It. Now, uh, danger for folks who don't know, because we haven't seen her in a while, is basically a, an AI. Uh, she's she was created, I think, by Joss Whedon. Um, she's she basically the personification of the Danger Room. Mixed in with some um, Shi'ar technology. Shi'ar tech, yeah. So this is danger is a thing. Um, now, it was revealed here in this X-Factor run here. This is, of course, Peter David doing the, uh, the writing here. Warlock had implanted a tracker into Cypher to ensure he wouldn't attempt suicide because he's had a lot of trauma, and he yeah. is very, very depressed, and he's coming off learning that there is a possible future out there where he's going to destroy the world. So that's heavy. Um, now, this was deduced by Danger. Danger found this tracker, and uh, Warlock at the time had the hot pants for Danger, but Doug was the one who would actually bed her. So, uh, yeah, so Doug and uh, the personific- the AI personification of the Danger Room. There it is. There <laughs> it is. <laughs> they got it on. They um, got it on. And uh, even his, like, body language and everything, it's, again, the <laughs> reverse, like, uh, gender roles, which is what we've seen in Ten of Swords with Doug. True. Yeah. There <laughs> no. we go. Now, this would lead to a bit of a strain in the self-friends relationship, but uh, they would eventually get over it. And I, I maybe they don't even remember the danger was around anymore. Who knows? Uh, Cypher would I mean, get, just anyone. Exactly, just anyone remember exactly. danger was around. No, no. I, I, I can vaguely picture her. Is about it. Um, <laughs> now, Cypher would get involved in the hunt for Wolverine. Uh, he'd be yep. rec- recruited by uh, Daredevil, Misty Knight, and some inhuman that nobody cares about because we don't care about the inhumans on this show. Um, around this time, <laughs> Cypher was all was showing signs of, and this is an interesting thing, addiction to data. 
And yeah. Signs. Uh, this, this, this happened during my hiatus from the X-Books. The whole, uh, I feel like every week, three or four issues with Hunt for Wolverine came out on the cover. Yeah, it was like Mystery and Madripoor. Yes. It was like Hunt for Wolverine. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. The Atlantium Agenda, was, yeah. It was insane. And and that's how Betsy got back into her, her normal original body, her original body, body was yeah. during Mystery and Madripoor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, that's the only issue of Mystery and Madripoor I bought. Because <laughs> I heard <laughs> that happened in it. But uh one of these days, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do a a hunt for Wolverine lapsed or something. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. <laughs> but I, I love the idea that uh, that Doug. I mean, his currency is data. You know, when yeah. he when he left the first time, uh, I mean, computers were very different than what they were when he came back. Right? Not everybody owned a computer back in 1988, but you could be pretty sure when he came back in 2008 2009, a lot of people were carrying him around in their pocket. So yeah, it's an data, overload of data for him. Absolutely. So data is just a thing that's everywhere. And since he can read every language, binary, you know, everything, he was getting addicted to it. So, I mean, I mean, we've all been there. We've all done that. Right. So that's I mean, interesting right here, you exactly. know, with the phone. you can't, uh, you can't get away. It's a, uh, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the, the way life is now. Uh, now they would run into Wolverine's robot doppelganger, Albert, who, uh, I remember him from a trading card, and I think I have his action figure. I remember the action figure more than I remember the trading card. Yeah, and you would like squeeze his legs, and, his, his and like arms the arms would pop, arms off. Would pop off. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't give him a little LCD though, unfortunately. It's just, no. like, what are you gonna do with just Albert? Yeah. yeah. So uh, they would run into Albert. They would fight. Um, Cipher would uh, get his throat slashed and uh, nearly die again. I was so upset when the issue ended with that. I remember being so upset, like they can't kill Doug. Oh, but anyways, <laughs> now he would be in, he would be saved by some inhuman medical tech that nobody cares about because it's the Inhumans. <laughs> we don't mess with the Inhumans here. What did you think in Young X Men? You remember Young X Men? Oh, remind me about Young X Men. It was a very short-lived series, maybe twelve issues. Um, it was Cyclops put together a team of young mutants here. Sebastian Shaw got involved, but Hang they on. introduced a character called Cipher, spelt differently. Remember Cypher, C-I-P-H-E-R. Hang on, let me... Oh, yes. What were your thoughts when they introduced a whole different Cypher? There you are. I have literally... First of all, I remember her (laughs) design being boss. Like, I loved her tentacle (laughs) hairs and everything. Um, She was... what She appeared... It was Mark Guggenheim who created her, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there we go. And... I think it was, he was supposed to, God, I'm trying to remember. I remember not liking her because I think she was supposed to replace Doug. I think that was what they were getting at. What they were trying to do, but I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what happened to her after this run. I don't think I can even like give, I'm, I'm skipping to the end here. I'm waiting for I bad internet connection. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Wikipedia page to load. load. Um, but she was also, was she in New X-Men as well? I think she was in, I don't know. I don't remember. I think this is post Academy X, so this is a uh, this is like I the honestly, book that replaced uh, that book. I have absolutely no opinion on her. I have <laughs> forgotten about her until this very moment because there is a data there is a data overload with all of the X Men. It's true. So. It's true. It, one of the things we do on the shows here is like I, I point out X Men wallpaper. You know these <laughs> characters who like it's like oh well, there's Shark Girl. She's not going to do anything, but there she is. <laughs> You know? yeah. There's Grey Malkin. He's not going to do anything, but hey, there he is. 
And I, I, I haven't found her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where she's at either. And like, look, she's a woman of color. Like, give that girl a narrative that isn't a reaction to, at the time, a dead white dude. <laughs> so I think she, I think she's great. Um, hang on, let the Wikipedia page finally loaded. Sure. Dude, she only, she only appeared in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight issues. Like, oh, wow. give her, <laughs> give her something to do. Like, and her design is, I remember the design. Like, mm -hmm. she looks gorgeous. Like, let's get more of her. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if, I wonder if giving her the conf somewhat confusing name was a hindrance. <laughs> it's like you bring her back, and it's like, well, we we gotta change, we gotta change that. We got we to change it. Bring her back. Yeah, yeah, we could bring her back. Just give her a different name. But I think she she went with Wolverine to the Jean Grey school, that's right? That's Oya. Oh, that's Oya? That was, no. was Idy, I think. Oh, no, no, yeah, because that's from um, Hope, the, 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 the lights. lights. Yeah. The lights. No, but I'm pretty sure the cipher went to... Did she show up at the Academy of the Jean Grey school? I think she went to the Jean Grey school. I okay. think she decided to go to the Jean Grey school. Gotcha. With... So, um, I do remember wait, like Heidi played a big role there in like the whole brew thing and uh she, well, she and they gave her a lot of room there. Heidi was really like they set her up to be a really big character and I yeah. think in so many ways a spiritual successor to uh that kitty jubilee pixie relationship that they would have with Wolverine. Yeah. But I don't know what they did with the five lights ultimately ultimately they just sort of like separated and the five yeah. lights were inconsequential they were supposed to be hope's disciples yeah and she was the only interesting one and i yeah. still remember that cover of her with like her power sets oh, yeah. and of course she played a huge role in wolverine and the x-men oh yes. but cypher i think this cypher mm -hmm. if i remember her you know yeah it's right <laughs> here on her wikipedia she it says Cypher was among the younger X-Men to follow Wolverine gotcha. when he moved back to Westchester. Gotcha, gotcha. So, but now she didn't do anything. And no. apparently, according to this, she's appeared on, she was in X-Factor number five. Okay. As a background character. Oh, then we um, missed her. <laughs> but we missed her, but she was she was there in, uh, in Krakoa. So she's been on Krakoa. Okay, so. very, there very good. Now from here, uh, I mean, we're up to, Right now. I mean, uh, we're up to, well, we're up to Hoxpox, basically. So yeah. for all intents and purposes, we're at Krakoa, where we did find out things about Doug. He was, you know, drafted by Xavier to come over and crack the code of Krakoa. Basically, talk to this island, you know? Yeah. Find a way to communicate with this island, uh, creating the language of Krakoan. And uh, he serves now as a, like, a liaison of sorts here. He's not part of the Quiet Council, but he's um, he's always there because... I mean, no matter what the what the twelve or the nine or however we have, however many we have left, whatever they say, they still uh, well, there's still an island that has veto power, <laughs> and uh, and Doug will help translate to uh, to see if uh, if he wants to enact that veto power here. So, did we learn anything from this uh, from this entry? Um, no, because I don't think <laughs> it really. <laughs> I mean, I guess that we we learned. Yeah, no, no. The thing that, like, I wish that they would fill in the gaps with what's going on with um, the Hoxpox, mm -hmm. Dawn of X, Reign of X era, especially with Doug. Why was it a secret that Warlock was there? Right, especially I, when it was, like, a really poorly kept one. Yeah, like, it was yeah. on his arm or his leg or wherever, but, like, that beat in the Crucible issue when Cyclops is walking through Kakoa. And he sees him talking. He sees him yeah. talking, and then he blinks, or, you know, there's a beat in the in the panels, and then, you know, Warlock is gone. I'm like, yeah. I don't get that. I Like, yeah. someone needs to explain it to me. I don't understand. And then, also, like, Xavier literally recruited Doug and was like, 
hey, here's this mutant sucking energy island that previously killed two teens. Yep. You go figure it out because we're going to start Croco uh, here. And this leaves Doug there. And Doug's like, uh, this is going to take at least six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I was kind of like weird about that. And um, I think his relationship with Bay, I still don't understand his relationship with Bay. Mm -hmm. Like he, when he was here, like, oh, I can't read her. And that makes yeah. her interesting to me. Well, you can also read clothes. You can also cool. read the way her sword is crafted and what kind of, so you, you have context clues where you can start forming something together with her. That's a great but point. Then they go, then yeah. they go down the aisle and like, look, I get it. When she lifted up her veil, I was like, oh, oh my God, like look at those ojos. And like, I get it. Like in character, Doug was like taken aback by her. But I was like, that just because you like someone doesn't mean you're going to stay married to them after sure. just meeting them. <laughs> you know? And I, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that. But um, I guess like we'll see what's going on with Doug now. Yeah. And I, I think this was a horrible, horrible entry in the Ten of Swords, <laughs> like companion book. I will not be reading it or looking for it, but I get it. They have so many characters. Like, it's how true. are you going to cram everything in there? And Doug was just one of the chosen, you know, sword bearers. He wasn't necessarily it, the focal point. And the, the entries we get in this book are weird. Um, like, Brew gets an entry. Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah, why? <laughs> uh, Mora gets an entry. I mean, of course, she does inform everything that's going on, but it's like... Mm. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. She has nothing to do with the, uh, the Exosuits, yeah? Now, before we cut out, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Exosuits is something that I always think my opinion's wrong, is my thing. I have very, very poor self-esteem. So every time I think like, oh, this was awful, I figure everybody else in the world loved it. But when I got to X of Swords here and I was reading things and I'm like, okay, I kind of like this, but I kind of don't like this much. Kind of like this, kind of don't like this. I looked around for people's uh, opinions and I found out that I was not alone. Yeah. I found out that, you know, it was a very hot and cold sort of thing here. Um, I think the fatigue of going through 22 issues was a was lot. Um, the fact that, I mean, the whole thing comes down to a, a contest of champions. It's, you know, not, it, it feels like it's not even so much a story as it is a, a fighting tournament. And then when we get to the fighting tournament, it's anything but. It's like yeah, a three-legged race. Like it's, uh, it's like, who's going to kill the kitten first? It's all this weird uh, spelling oh, bee. Oh, my God. I know. I, I agree with you. I was, I was ready for Mortal Kombat. Yes. <laughs> you know, when they're like, and if you die here, you will You're done. die. Mm -hmm. You're done. And like, we know that's not the case because no. Nanny, Wild Child, Grogan, everyone's back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, you know, spoilers to the listeners who, who kind of came in, even, even Betsy's back as well. Yeah. I, I like the build up to everything but the tournament. I thought the tournament was going to be like Mortal Kombat, <laughs> and, you know, and it was going to be like, insane like i i was shocked at how earnest and silly it was the tournament silly. was yeah. and it felt like it was at the whim of saturn nine. Oh yeah and i hadn't seen saturn nine in years you oh, know as wild. a character and i was ready i liked her i thought she was like a otherworldly emma mm -hmm. and i loved that and i wanted to see more of that but it felt like she just had like a shift in thoughts and was like no i you know i'm gonna do the contest like this i'm like I don't know. That just seems like very childish and petty for a character of that stature. Yeah. And like, maybe that was the point. It just went over my head, but I think, I, I think the point of it was that she was uh, really upset that, uh, that 
Brian Braddock didn't uh, didn't want her, and no. uh, and the the core had been gone since uh, you know since the multiverse fell apart during Secret Wars, and now she saw the opportunity to bring it back and found out that uh, she backed the wrong Braddock, unfortunately. Yeah, so she threw herself a temper tantrum with uh, all of our all of our favorites uh, <laughs> tossed around. <laughs> So I don't, you know, when I look at, here's the thing. I, when I was reading it and we covered it on, on the podcast mm. back when the podcast was a different iteration. Sure. I, originally it was Generations of X and I did it with this incredible co-host called Flickman. And we actually went through every single issue as it was gotcha. being published for Ten of Swords. And we were hot and cold with it. We had mm-hmm. weeks where we really loved it. Gotcha. We had like that scene with Shuri and Storm. I thought that was one of the, best writing in comics we had oh, that, that was Vida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah is it Vita or Vida uh, I say Vita but it could be Vida I think it I say both butchering. yeah I, 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 I'm sure yeah. I'm butchering their name <laughs> but um I also think there were some low points like towards the end but then I think also that final battle one of the things I said about Ten of Swords that I wish I had known going into it I wish that we had known the X-Men were no more because yes. I had assumed we still had some, I, I, I don't know what I assumed. I just assumed everyone was an X-Man on Krakoa, yep. whatever. But like, that would have been powerful information to have started Hawksbox off with being like, X-Men are no more, yep. they are a nation. And then you can finally with Ten of Swords, you're like, we're bringing the X-Men back. Yes. I, I think marketing kind of dropped the ball there. So I don't know. I, I will say I bought the hardcover Omnibus. Mm. It is beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. I recommend I think on Amazon now it's like $60 and I don't listen, support your local comic book store. But if, if you're a struggling auctioneer during a <laughs> pandemic, you know, I need a discount. And for Christmas, I got so many Amazon cards. Um, I think it reads really well on okay. one kind of go on it. But I think as it was coming out and you're invested in the stories, you're like, Oh, this doesn't really make sense. But you know, it's, it just depends on how you're experiencing the story, but Absolutely. Definitely, there's a lot of fat on it. I, I think there's no arguing about that. Yeah, big time. And a lot of silliness that I wasn't really looking for. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I think that brings us up to where we are here. Um, before we go, uh, I would love for you to uh, tell folks where they can find you here. Uh, yeah. Well, find me on Power of X-Men on Instagram. That's sort of like the main place mm-hmm. we, we all hang. We have a little community there where we're all always DMing and, and throwing up stories and tagging each other. So Power of X-Men on Instagram. I'm on Twitter as well, at Power of X-Men. It's kind of like, eh. It's like when I feel I want to tweet. And then uh, YouTube is there, but it's just kind of like a dumping ground for another format of the podcast. The podcast is available on all podcast platforms, and it's called Power of X-Men. And we have really cool uh, community members there. We also have a lot of creators, a lot of actors. The goal of power of x-men is to feel like you are listening to an issue of wizard magazine so Mm -hmm. we spotlight cosplayers we spotlight uh, other readers like myself who are obsessive we have creators (laughs) like zeb wells and jordan d white we reunited some of the generation x tv movie actors yeah (laughs) so you know we do stuff like that and we have some really great episodes on the horizon and hopefully we're gonna have you chris because oh. i have had so much fun talking to oh, you thank and now you so much i thank don't want to leave <laughs> <laughs> oh, that really really means a lot and it means a lot that you'd be part of this uh 200th episode uh, extravaganza it's a uh, it's an x-lapsed gala of sorts here Congrats, 200 episodes <laughs> so thank you so much I, it was very very great having a chance to talk to you it really really means a lot to me so thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. 
Hi Chris, this is Damien Drouet Whiter calling in from London in England in Great Britain in the UK to discuss Gloriana's entry in the X of Ten's handbook. Megan Pusino Braddock kind of made her first appearance in Mighty World of Marvel number seven in 1983, but you could also argue that she didn't make her first appearance until Mighty World of Marvel number 14 in 1984. This is because in her first appearance by Alan Moore and Alan Davis, we're actually on a version of Earth 616 which has just experienced a Jasper's Warp. So all the characters, apart from Captain Britain, have been changed by the warp. We see Megan and a friend of hers from the internment camp sharing a cigarette and talking about stories they've heard about Captain Britain. She is clearly a teenager, as is her friend, and we get a potted history of her background her family are travelling people, and she was captured from their caravan by Jasper's security force, the Beatles. By her next speaking appearance in Mighty World of Marvel number 14, Megan's entire speech patterns have changed, and she is definitely no longer a smoker. She is also no longer being written by Alan Moore. She is presented as a were-creature who goes feral during the full moon and battles Captain Britain, leading to the accidental death of her friend, Mickey Scott. In these first two appearances, we see the dichotomy of Megan that the handbook writers have to cope with. She is presented as a mutant, and on the other hand, she is presented as a magical creature. And at times, it can be difficult to tell which depiction is the truth. Now, the handbook entry tries to walk between the two. It gets all her biographical details right. She is a metamorph and an empath. And when she was born, she changed her shape in response to her environment. It was very cold, she grew fur. And then this led to the prejudices of the people around her and she responded to them as well by growing into a more monstrous creature. The entry says that negative public opinion about her perceived youth caused her to become more naively innocent during Excalibur's early days. To me, this feels like a retcon to make her a similar age to Captain Britain, but there is no doubt that in the original Marvel UK stories, she was presented as around about 16, and Captain Britain was presented as being in his mid to late 20s, an age gap that is considered much more distasteful now than it was in the 80s. So I feel they're trying to cover that up by saying she became naive rather than she was naive because she was young. The initial run of Captain Britain's stories and Excalibur is covered entirely in the first half page of this entry. The vast majority of the entry is given over to the events from Captain Britain and MI3, starting from Annual 1, which was 2009, which reintroduced Megan as Gloriana. In fact, it was the first time she was given a superhero name. During a transtemporal storm which threatened reality, she'd fallen between the cracks of reality and had been believed dead by her husband, Captain Britain. She ended up in hell as a monstrously deformed creature, but the anger that she had about this radiated and caused some of the demons to rebel. This attracted the attention of Pluto, one of the lords of hell. He helped her gain total control over her form. This led to her overthrowing several lords of hell and a group of demons renaming her Gloriana. So effectively, she became the leader of some rebel demons within hell. Now this, leading this band of demons in hell, brought her to the attention of Doctor Doom, who we all know and love. And he brought her from hell back to Earth as part of his scheming during Dracula's attempt to invade Earth from space. 
Now, this is all in MI-30, Captain Britain and MI-13, the book was actually called, but I always just called it MI-13 in my head, which is a great book. I know, Chris, you have said numerous times on the podcast that you've never read that. I would recommend you get it out and read it, even though it does lots of magic in it, lots of other world, and quite a lot of Dracula, which you say are all things you don't like. I think you would enjoy that series, and I think all your listeners would as well. Obviously, Meghan finally became reunited with Captain Britain in this story and was instrumental in Dracula's defeat. At this point, the entry kind of turns into a list of guest appearances. You get this a lot with people who have a series and then it's cancelled. You know, whenever you read Oh Hot Move from the 80s, it's always, and then they were here, and then they were here, and then they met Quasar, and then they met Captain Britain, and then they met... I'm making up heroes here, Captain America and Thor and Iron Man. Just bouncing from book to book. Now, a lot of attention is given to the birth of her daughter, Maggie. Maggie, who came in, and the fact that she was born and very quickly developed a genius-level intellect. And we've all seen um, associations with that to either Winter from Miracle Man, or, uh, which is the one I suggested. I know, Chris, you got a feeling of Valeria Richards which is creepy because she's, I'm convinced Valeria Richards will one day be the biggest supervillain ever. Anyway, so she's bouncing from book to book, but then we get introduced to Maggie. Interestingly, the handbook sees Maggie's genius level intellect as proof that she is a mutant like her mother. But I think we all know as ex-lapsed fans that mutants develop their powers at puberty. So again, we see the handbook trying to reconcile the kind of magical stuff with the mutantdom and trying to use something that's actually proof that she isn't a mutant as proof that she is. Um, I, I feel that Megan is one of those characters like the Scarlet Witch where there's always this kind of nebulous quality. Who is she? What is she? And I feel like the writers can't always decide. You know, the only reason that she is presented as a mutant is because she's appearing in the X-Books. And if she was presented as not being a mutant, she might end up being an Avengers character. That's my feeling, anyway. Once again, after the birth of her daughter, the entry falls into a list of guest appearances. Then it quickly recaps Age of X-Men, although it does mention that Megan may not remember Age of X-Men, which was an alternative Earth thing. And in that, she was married to Nightcrawler and had a daughter with him. And then we get a potted history of Excalibur up to date. So all the stuff about Captain Britain and her beautiful brother Brian and all the stuff that happened there. Ultimately, you come away with the sensation that Megan is one of the most powerful ex-characters, but has always been subservient to other people's stories. The stories never feel like they're about Megan. She's just there. And I think that's very true at the moment in Excalibur. It's Betsy's story, Betsy Britton, and Megan is just there in the background. Looking back at X of Swords, or X of Tens, or what was it called? Ten of Xs? Anyway, you could see her winning the contest almost single-handedly with her powers covering magical stuff and also just sheer power. And the fact that she can absorb power from places. In other worlds, she is one of the most powerful creatures there. Possibly more powerful than Saturnine. And yet, she's sidelined. It seems like a real waste. So, this is me signing off from London, in England, in Great Britain, in the UK, 
And I want to finish by saying thank you, Chris, for 200 episodes of X-Maps, for a fantastic endeavour that's bringing X-Fans together all over the world. And I want to thank you for involving me in it. And hopefully I will speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Gloria. Alrighty, we are talking about Gorgon right now. Gorgon, who actually does play a huge role, or I guess relatively speaking, a huge role in the X of Swords event here. And to, in order to do this, I brought along my pal Walt to talk all about the uh, life and times of Gorgon. How, how are you doing? And thank you so much for being here. Pretty good. And yourself? Oh, you know, hanging in there as best as we can. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's not always easy when we got to talk about someone as complex and complicated as Gorgon. And that—that that is to say there really isn't much to say about Gorgon. Um, despite the fact that we, we just realized that he's been around for quite a while, uh, there still just isn't a whole heck of a lot to say about him. Uh, personally, I didn't know who this character was. Um, I don't know if, I don't know the order that these uh, segments are being put in here, but I know I've probably mentioned a time or two, or I will mention a time or two, that Wolverine is one of those characters that I always kind of buy, but I don't always read. He's kind of like my Marvel version of Batman, where I'll always buy Batman, but I don't always read Batman. So now, you know, I've got stacks hundreds tall of Batman that I haven't read, and it was the same for Wolverine for quite a while. And so I didn't know who this Gorgon character was. We see him during Hoxpox. He gets this, you know really really important position in the Krakoan government here as one of the uh as one of the Krakoan captains we saw that there was a little bit of tension between he and Wolverine but I mean that's like a Wolverine thing uh, we could uh, we can create a brand new character right now and Wolverine will have a 50 year long history with this character so didn't know if it was something like that didn't really know um well what were your uh when, when we first saw Gorgon during Hoxpox here did you know who he was no, not a clue. And even looking at the profile page now, I remember one time when I saw it, I actually thought he might have been hit, uh, sinister. And then he I realized, does have a sinister look, yeah. Yeah, but not quite the mister. No, 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 certainly not. Um, now, that all being said here, we don't have much of a touchstone with uh, Gorgon here. So I can't ask the question of like, hey, are there any Gorgon stories that stand out to you? Because – we didn't know this guy was a thing. You know, everything that we know is basically from Hoxpox through X of Swords. And uh, for those of you following along, we haven't really seen anything of Gorgon since X of Swords. And we'll get to why as we work our way through this. But rather than just jumping into a bio that will take very little time to get through, I figure since I have Walt here with us here, I'm going to ask him some questions about the era. The Hoxpox, Docs, Rock, Sox era here, which... You know, change the landscape for better or for worse. You know, mileage may vary, but it, you know, it changed things. And, it, and it's given us a tremendous amount of food for thought. And it's given us some really, really complex um, concepts to wrap our minds around here. So, so Walt, early in Hoxpox here, we discovered or we were informed that someone we thought we knew, we really didn't. Maura McTaggart, we thought she was like a human ally who was the first and only human to contract the legacy virus, pass away tragically, and her legacy kind of lived on, but in the background. We didn't really, her name didn't come up very often. In 
House of X number two, we find out that everything we thought we knew was wrong. Now, how did you receive the story, The Many Lives of Mora X? Uh, initially, I was just kind of like, gee, we're going here? Because, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing of, yeah, everything you knew is wrong. It's like, oh, this again. <laughs> but, yeah, I know since then it's grown on me, and I actually like it and kind of find it a definite touchstone for the whole era where mm-hmm. – I'm convinced the the way they get out of it at the end of Hickman's run is she'll be killed or have some last resurrection that'll be that'll be the reset. Mm-hmm. And so it helps me enjoy this era. It's just like I'm just looking at it as mostly its own thing. Whereas I think you're right. I think you're right. And this is something that we talked about very early in the run here when I was being very precious about basically everything uh, having to do with the more resurrections here. I was worried that. Like, okay, this is their this is their big, you know, cosmic broom and dustpan, you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, we don't like the ex- extinction agenda. So eh, that was a different life. You know, I, I always like worried about that, despite the fact that people around me were like, dude, calm down. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. And it's like, but I got to worry. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm floating here. You know, I'm on swampland. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I think uh, the end game here. Because one of the questions that we ask a lot on the show is, okay, cool, but how do you walk this back? You know, things like, I mean, we're going to talk about the resurrection protocols in just a second, but things like the resurrection protocols, things like the crucible, things like Quentin Choir dying hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times. Um, How do we walk this back? Um, It's just one of those things that just sticks in the back of my mind and, Really, the only way that they can do it in a satisfying way is, or maybe not even a satisfying way, but a neat and tidy way would be, okay, Mora ends again. Maybe she comes back when we we did find out from Destiny that she has 10, maybe 11 lives. We don't know if Destiny's grown with her because we do know that Destiny knows basically everything. She left the diaries. Mystique read the diaries. She knew everything that was going to happen here. So we don't know if she's screwing with Mora. Maybe Mora has infinite lives you know and she's just like well you better be uh you better be careful this time or maybe she knows she has 10 and she wants her to be a little bit riskier thinking she might have an 11th so i mean there's so many different avenues we can take here to to kind of hit that cosmic reset button now as far as things that we might need to walk back house of x number five resurrection protocols what were your thoughts seeing Cyclops emerged from his gold ball. I don't remember for sure for him specifically, but yeah, I just remember initially as I, okay, so now we actually have a reason for this revolving door and (laughs) everyone can die and come back and die again. And death already didn't have much meaning, but this way it just sort of takes it off the table. It's like they die, they come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially for the important characters yeah <laughs> the, the sellable ones yeah mm-hmm. now, and, and your point is very well taken here because i mean we've been in the uh in the comics fandom for decades at this point and it's like there i don't even know if there was a time in my entire comic collecting career where death was looked at as something that was final or had even like a semblance of permanence uh 
we had, you know, growing up, we had like the sacred cows, right? We had Bucky, who was never going to come back. Gwen Stacy was never going to come back. And Uncle Ben was never going to come back. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they've all, I mean, we know Bucky's back. Um, Gwen, there's like 17 flavors of Gwen and Uncle Ben is on like every different alternate earth. So it's like, okay, <laughs> it's meaningless now. It doesn't matter. So going into this era, and we kind of lampshade it, or it's being lampshaded for us here. Like, okay, we're gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna lower the stakes. We're gonna change the stakes. You know, we're gonna worry about other things than death here because you read comics, I read comics, they write comics, they know we don't take this stuff seriously. Because, yeah. I mean, we we're we're coming out of an era now where Dan DeDio would would stand in front of a crowd of people saying. Yes, we're going to kill two major peop two major characters every every month and a half. It's like, huh? Yeah. Why? What? Huh? No. <laughs> it meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Mm -hmm. Now, that issue, uh, House of X number five, was uh, important for a few reasons. First, of course, the resurrection protocols, and we find out that uh, the characters we saw emerge uh, from the from the gold balls in the I think the first issue were actually the X characters who died on the Orcus Forge. But at the end of the issue, Professor X makes his grand speech and opens Krakoa up to hero, villain, good, bad, ugly. They all come and it ends with Professor X and Apocalypse. I don't remember if they, I don't remember if they literally shook hands, but basically shaking hands. What were your thoughts on that? Um, most of just the, it's like this is huge and mm -hmm. kind of out of nowhere and how is this going to work given stuff like especially like the age of apocalypse or inferno sure. and all these huge stories with these villains as a centerpiece mm -hmm. it's like okay so if they're being invited in what does this mean for the mutants in general like i mean if the villains are now part of this who are the villains going to be yes and exactly how the character's going to interact. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, Apocalypse has been this bitter enemy for years mm -hmm. and caused them so much grief, and and now he's supposed to be walking among them and accepted as a friend, essentially. Sure. It was and, very, very strange. Yeah. I've told the story before that I, I started with... Um, I, I didn't start this era with Hoxpox. I started it by picking up X-Men number one. Didn't realize I needed to read 12 issues before I got to X-Men number one. Um, all I saw was somebody had mentioned it somewhere on social media. Oh, X-Men number one is coming out in two weeks. Like, oh, OK, maybe I'll give this a shot. So I buy it. I flip through it. I don't really understand it. I'm like, oh, I'll get to this later. Then the next week happens and Excalibur and Marauders come out. And so I pick them up and I'm flipping through Excalibur and Apocalypse is on the team. And I'm like, how did this, what? How did this happen? Uh, that issue of Excalibur was especially weird because, I mean, it starts with uh, Jamie Braddock popping out of a gold ball. And then we shift over to Apocalypse being on the team or being, like, friendly with the team or just uh, utilizing the team. It's like, this yeah. is just so bizarre. So when yes. I finally saw this, yeah, it, it's very, very strange. Yeah, like, he almost seems... Like in context of Excalibur, as I've been reading through, that he's almost like Beast in a way, where he's sort of that knowledgeable one that, mm -hmm. and the advisor. And it's like, huh, he's almost like 
you don't want to see Beast as being more of a villain than Apocalypse currently. These days, yeah, absolutely. These Which days, Beast is own, awful. That's sort of weird. <laughs> now, another thing here is, I mean, we have a, a mutant nation, right? That's the whole thing here. This isn't the first time they've done it. I mean, even going back like a year before this in X-Men Red, Jean Grey's trying to get a seat in the UN to, to talk about a mutant nation. Uh, we've seen Utopia. We've seen Genosha. We, we've seen this before. It's it's happened. So this isn't like something new under the sun, but it's the first time that they're actually giving us a look behind the scenes here where it's not just the, the end of the Magneto War and he demands to rule Genosha and they say, OK, you rule Genosha. And then we just see him sitting in a big chair, you know. Mm-hmm. Here it's like, well, no, we we have customs, we have laws, we have a council, we have a government, and a lot of those things are um, fairly fascinating in the context of what we're dealing with here. Uh, We see a council of 12 heroes and villains together to guide Krakoa into whatever it's going to be guiding it into. They're basically um, holding humans hostage with these miracle medicines. Um, so they have these trades going. And have you read Way of X yet? No, not yet. Okay, then I, I won't spoil it for you. I, I'll say read it because <laughs> it is fantastic. But uh, there, it's oh, it's wonderful. Um, without spoiling it, there is a scene where they talk about culture and. They uh, they talk about some philosophical theories about how you it's the Dunbar number where it states that people only there's a there's a top number of how many social interactions or relationships someone can have or a, a ceiling on how many people you can care about. And so when you are building a culture, you need to have things like traditions and rituals, things that make make you have a common thing. So you don't need to care about everybody because you can't but you're still the same people so we've seen this we've seen things like the crucible the crucible is very much a ritual it is seen as a gift it's a spectacle um you've read x-men number seven right the first crucible I believe, so. yeah, because I think I'm up to issue eight or nine. Okay, so you are familiar with the Crucible. Vaguely, although it's not coming much to mind consciously, unfortunately. Okay. Now, the Crucible is an arena where depowered mutants go to be killed. Willingly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, in the earliest bits here, Apocalypse was the one who would... Uh, who would kill them while mocking them and telling them, I'm giving you a gift. So uh, the Crucible was a one of the, what I would call a shoe drop issue. Um, and it's something that we still talk about all these months later in the mailbag re- regularly. The Crucible comes up constantly because it's just such a, it's such a, it's almost like it's, it's almost tangible in a way, because it is such a huge thing here, and it really, you can't ignore everything around it. Because uh, when you're watching a Crucible event, you're not the only one watching it, the reader. We, there is a crowd assembled to watch someone be ritually murdered for their own good. And it's the heroes who are there cheering this on. So the Crucible, when you first experienced the Crucible, what were your thoughts on this uh, barbaric and miraculous event. 
I think I was mostly thinking of the Gladiator. Mm-hmm. And I know, yeah, when I was reading it, I think I was just kind of breezing through stuff, and so I wasn't really picking stuff apart too much. But yeah, as you mentioned it, I realized like, yeah, I remember it just seeming so like, how can someone like walk into their own death like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you accept that knowing that you're going to be reborn, but then that's where you do get into issues of, well, I'm me right now, yep. consciously, and unless you're presently right now backing up my mind, then I'm still going to die, even if yep. my body is restored and some version of my memories are restored. And just got to wonder at how you overcome instinct like that. It's true. And uh, that's something that uh, they're actually going into with Way of X. And we yeah. saw them play with it a little bit in X-Force with uh, when Domino passed, where yeah. she wanted to die with all of her trauma was a thing here. Um because they yeah. offered her a fresh start, you know. The five are like, hey, you know, if you ever to die, we can take away these memories. We can we can save you from ever having to remember that Zeno had taken you and flayed the skin off your off your body and and stitched it onto their their wet work soldiers. And and she said, no, no, I want to have all my memories. I want to have my trauma. This is part of me. Then they bring her back without her trauma. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, okay, and. Um, that there is is a little bit different from the way it's being presented in Way of X, but they're both very, very valid in the way that they're being done. One has to do with manipulation. One has to do with basically context um, and uh, it's time between backups and experiences that will not come with you. Benign experiences that just change your just change your everyday. You know, nothing huge, but enough to uh, have a uh, a discontinuity, so to speak, yeah. here. So, I mean, we've had a lot of changes here. X of Swords hits, and early on in X of Swords, we find out, and this is, this is, uh, this is you know, Gorgon we're talking about. So this actually fills in uh, Gorgon's bit here. The resurrection protocols are kind of off the table for the entire X of Swords event. If you die in Otherworld, well... We don't know what's coming back. Um, we saw Rockslide die in, in Otherworld. He comes back and he's like a patchwork Rockslide. We don't know what realities he's from. We don't know what memories he has. We don't know anything about this guy. He doesn't know anything about himself. So that was a pretty big deal. And it was actually in an issue of X Factor. The first issue of X Factor I actually liked <laughs> because I didn't like those first few. Did you feel like it upped the stakes when they when they put this in here, or did you think this was just a way to artificially inflate the event as having stakes? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. It's sort of where the resurrection protocol was kind of made death irrelevant. It makes it relevant again mm-hmm. without doing away with the resurrection protocols. Sure. So just sort of a shift in that, and it's like, well, yeah, we can resurrect something, but who you are and whatnot isn't necessarily going to be there. So if Wolverine yeah. dies, maybe we'd get a, a Dakin version. <laughs> it's true. Or yeah, some, it's, uh, whatever. Yeah, there's just uh, – they, they would say in there that it is akin to a true death, you know, because that person is never coming back. 
that's the only thing they could guarantee is that it wouldn't be the same one. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and I was happy that they added it to uh, the Exitens event, but we didn't play with it much. We really only played with it with Rockslide and the fellow we're about to talk about right now, Gorgon. So let's get into Gorgon here. We'll go into the bio here. And uh, we find out first that he was called Gorgon due to his ability to petrify others with his gaze, which I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. He would join a death cult and he would become a terrorist during his teens. And he would even go as far as to kill his own family. Then he would commit suicide to prove his loyalty to the Hand, and the Hand would perform a ritual to resurrect him as their assassin. Now, a Hydra agent called Kraken would give Gorgon the Godkiller Sword, and I mean, that's important because he wields the Godkiller Sword. That is one of the twelve swords of X of Swords. Now, a plan would be put into motion for him to kill superhumans so that they could be resurrected as mindless assassins for the Hand, and he'd successfully kill a handful of, of superhumans, but would ultimately be killed himself by Wolverine. And I think, and one thing that we've all been complaining about uh, for, about this handbook here is that they don't give us issue numbers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're looking at this stuff. It's like, well, where do we refer to to see where he did this? Well, good luck. Go to Wikipedia. It's, <laughs> they're not helping exactly. us any. But I think, and I could be completely mistaken here, but I think this was Mark Miller's first run on Wolverine with uh, John Romita, Ron John Romita Jr. It was, uh, I think it was like the Wolverine Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. Yeah, I think um, it started out, was an Enemy of the State? And then yes. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. after that? Absolutely. I think that is where Gorgon made his first appearance. Uh, and the thing of it is here, I, I could look it up, but I didn't want to look it up because I have a handbook in front of me. I shouldn't have to look it up. A handbook should tell me everything I need to know. Uh, now, from here, uh, Baron Strucker tricked the hand into re- re-resurrecting Gorgon, which somehow resulted in the hand being destroyed. Uh, Gorgon would join Strucker's Hydra Council and uh, would do battle with S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Secret Warriors, which, I don't know about you, but that sounds about as boring as a comic book might ever get. Yeah, yeah and that was an era that I wasn't really following much. Me either. I mean, there were like a handful of writers who uh, the wider Internet were just like, oh, you got to check these guys out. And it was like Jonathan Hickman. It was Paul Cornell, I believe, um, uh, Nick Spencer. And and I tried them all out and I'm like, I don't see it. <laughs> I really just don't. Um, now, Gorgon would go on to kill a bunch of dudes and he would wind up breaking the God Killer Blade in process. Uh, at this point, he would take Phobos's grass cutter sword as a replacement. In our present day, he has them both. So I'm guessing God Killer got fixed. I don't know. There are no footnotes in this issue. Uh, Gorgon would secretly join Norman Osborn's Hammer, which is another Marvel acronym group. Uh, he would even take on the Wolverine identity in the Dark Reign era New Avengers. I'm sorry, Dark Avengers. Uh, this was short-lived. Uh, Gorgon would then use the hand, who I guess we're back in business at this point, to awaken a dragon living under Madripoor in an attempt to take over China. I don't remember this. I don't know a thing about this. Um, Shang-Chi, <laughs> Shang-Chi used Pym particles to increase his size, and he would defeat Gorgon and the dragon. Gorgon would rejoin Hydra, but this was Captain America's Hydra. 
Now, this Captain America had his history rewritten by Kobik, a sentient cosmic cube, which I did not read, but I figure that must have been one hell of a satisfying resolution to that dumpster fire of a story. Did you read the Hail Hydra Captain America? No, I pretty much all I know about is that infamous panel. Yes, yes, because I mean that that thing went nuts when uh, when that hit people, and it's so funny because comic fans like us we get a lot of guff. Uh, people tell us that we're too precious about things. People just uh, tell us that we are we're afraid of change. We're we've been we've been getting told this since since we started reading mm-hmm. comics. It's like you're 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 man babies and all this good stuff, but. Sometimes the greater comic fans deserve it because they absolutely lost their mind when Captain America said Hail Hydra, not realizing that this is just a story, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this is just a story that has a beginning, a middle and an end and everything because it's comics. Everything will go back to normal. You know, we're talking about the the Hox Pox Docs era. I have absolutely no doubt that the X-Men will be back at the X-Men mansion uh, sometime soon, eventually. It's going to go back to normal. <laughs> it always does. Um, now, for the Cap Hydra story, uh, Gorgon would serve as Captain America's bodyguard. After that, he would resurrect Wolverine's old flame, Mariko Yoshida, which I, I, I saw her in a recent issue of Wolverine, and I was like, I thought she was dead. I thought she died like 40 years ago, but uh, I guess she's back now. She would go on to become the Hand's Scarlet Samurai, but she still loved Logan, even though it was not Wolverine. It was Old Man Logan at this point, um, and that broke her out of her mind control, and she would leave to rejoin society as a normalish person. Uh, Gorgon would then help a bunch of telepaths to stop the Shadow King, then Krakoa. So, I mean, that's uh, that's the quick, the very quick and the very dirty <laughs> On Gorgon here. Now, 10 years of history. Right, right. I mean, how fast is this? It's funny. I, I made sure to mention here that it was Old Man Logan because I don't think they did in the book. I think they mentioned it was just Wolverine. So I don't know if, like, are we supposed to, like, not remember Old Man Logan or is Old Man Logan too confusing for people? I, I really don't know. It's, uh, he was just, you know, he was there and then he wasn't, just like any number of characters from other dimensions here. But now let's talk a little bit about post Hoxpox Gorgon here. There isn't much to say, unfortunately. We did get to see him and Cyclops acting as uh, captains during a, I don't remember which um, which conglomeration of uh, world governments it was. It was like a, a super pack of some sort of uh, governments. I think it was X-Men number four. And we basically saw them beat up a bunch of bad guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was kind of it. Then Saturnine makes her uh, makes her grand statement about the sword fight. And we find out that Gorgon has two of the blades. So, uh Rather than having 12 uh, Krakoan warriors, we have 11. And let's talk a little bit about what happens to Gorgon here. I I feel like I've been talking a lot here, so I'll let you talk about uh, what happens to Gorgon when it's his turn to fight. Well, it's been a few months now since reading it, but I mainly just remember the 
he winds up going into battle and he's got all those enemies coming after him and it's kind of him against a swarm mm-hmm. and he knows he's going to die and he's not going to be able to be brought back as himself but he does it anyway and yep. uh, basically he's taken out and pretty much like a red shirt basically basically he, yeah because if you had to pick one person from the good guy's side the Krakoan side who was not going to make it out of here yeah. i mean it had to be gorgon yeah, like you know, I thought he was—I actually thought he was a Hickman creation, mm-hmm. and so I figured that he had been created and joined the X-Men in order to be on the X-Men to die mm-hmm. in Edge of Swords. And yeah, reading the profile and finding out that he's actually got a 17-year history is like, oh wow! <laughs> so he's not just the red shirt of the week. He mm-hmm. might have been a red shirt, but he actually had a lot more to him. Yep, and and a lot more deaths apparently. Yeah. <laughs> He's died a lot of times even before resurrection was a thing here. Mm-hmm. I really and I mean Gorgon was a character I didn't care about. I really didn't have one thought about the character until until his death um, because that was a very very poignant scene here and it served to do a lot of things. We built up like the entire. Boy, almost the entire second half of X of Swords just watching the Krakoans get pounded down. It was like some ridiculous, like, it's like Arako had like 23 wins to, to Krakoa's like four. Yeah. It was something ridiculous. And then and then it, we're pitting Gorgon against the White Sword. And the White Sword is the guy who has the power to resurrect. And he would he would bring his 100 uh, soldiers into battle. They would all die. He would bring them back. The next day, they'd all go back in. They'd all die. He'd bring them back. And so Gorgon, in fighting the White Sword, the White Sword basically just sits down, crosses his legs, and says, 100, pew, sends the 100 in. And this allows Gorgon to even the score. Because every uh, every one of the hundred that he kills is a point for Krakoa, which I thought was very clever. I wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah. So same here. I just, thought they were just gonna hand wave it, like like Saturnine was just gonna be like, never mind, <laughs> or or it was just gonna be like, okay, the X Men lost, they're gonna die now, but they have to fight their way out. That's what I thought was gonna happen, especially you know knowing what we knew about the final chapter and how Annihilation was gonna come, and it was just gonna be basically. A giant fight scene, you know, hundreds of characters just running into each other, basically. But this here worked and uh, even like got the respect of the White Sword. He's like, well, he died like a man. And Apocalypse is like, he died like a mutant. It's it, it's that's what they that they were proud of him for doing this because because of what he did for them. He didn't have to do it, but he even the score he made everything he, he put victory in Krakoa's grasp basically yeah. single-handedly which is really cool which makes it all the more frustrating that we have yet to see him since X of Swords I mean all we we've been told a few times now Gorgon's not the same guy he's back but he's not the same guy they've never shown us Gorgon yet as of now I mean, for all I know, we're recording this a little early, so maybe in episode 198 we'll see Gorgon. So I'll look like a fool here with episode 200. But as of now, the latest one I've recorded is 195, and we haven't seen Gorgon yet. So we did see his swords. 
uh, in an issue of Cable. They did a little memorial, but uh, we haven't seen him back. Do you think we're going to see Gorgon back anytime soon? And and when we do, what do you think's going to happen? What do you what do you where do you think he's going to be? Yeah, I don't know because since it does seem like he was almost his role in the whole thing was to die, <laughs> he might just be a background character. But mm-hmm. it'd be very interesting to see him brought back and actually interacting with the group that was in other world for the competition. Sure. See how he interacts with them. And does he have, even though he's not who he was, does he remember the death and like, how is he about honor now or not? Sure. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause you got to figure, I mean, even if he doesn't remember it, um, I don't think Krakoa is really good about keeping secrets. So I, cause I mean, I feel like, when we first saw the hole, remember the hole where they put Sabretooth? I thought yeah. that I thought that was going to be just like a quiet council secret. Like no one's going to know about this. You know, this is just this is just what we're doing to keep the peace here and to, to enforce this law. That was my thought. I could be completely mistaken, but it turns out like everybody knows about the hole. Like Ooh. I think even what was it? I recently covered an issue of Black Cat where Wolverine's in Madripoor and they get together and have a little merry chase. And the black cat's like, well, yeah, don't you guys have that hole? And it's like, how does black cat know? (laughs) So that tells me that Krakoa has got some loose lips. And so when Gorgon comes back, even if he doesn't remember, I I could imagine like maybe Glob Herman will be there being like, Oh yeah, they, they killed you. (laughs) And, and now they're another Island in the same ocean. They're right over there. They killed you. They slaughtered you. I don't know. But <laughs> I do hope we get something on it because um, we – for the amount of build that the X of Swords event got, we're not seeing much. You know, um, We're getting little bits and pieces of Arako, but for as, for as largely as it loomed over us for all those weeks and months, it's like, okay, we're done now. And uh, don't know. It, it makes the event – which I already felt was bloated and kind of cheap, <laughs> feel even more so, unfortunately. Now, what were you you have read Exoswords, so what were you, what were some of your thoughts about? Because I mean, Exoswords we talked about it like 80 episodes ago. What were your thoughts on the Exoswords event here? Uh, from from things like the announcement, from the revelation that this thing is going to be 22 chapters long, and when we finally got to the battles. I mean, there were there were, it was like hopscotch, uh, three-legged race, and not shooting a cat in the face. I, I mean, what were your thoughts over the entire arc? Well, actually, going back to Hoxpox, I read Hoxpox and X-Men number one, mm-hmm. and I decided, oh, the heck with this. I don't need all these <laughs> pages, and if it's going to be a finite era, then I'll come back later. Sure. But uh, then, yeah, with X-Lapsed, you got me back into it, and then diving in with Dex of Swords, it, when I first heard about it, it's like, yeah, why do you need 20-something chapters yeah. for one story? I mean, I don't know. I suppose a lot of other events have more than 20 chapters, but sure. they're usually not numbered that high. <laughs> yeah. This miniseries, one through three, and you might have your six-issue core series, but you don't usually see chapters of a story for an event go that yeah. high. And... Then it's been 
sort of my uh, what was what's the term the white whale it, uh-huh. i'm still missing a couple of the first prints of the extra source story okay okay and everything but yeah dove in with that and it's like okay fine i'm gonna dive in read this stuff and try to go from there and then i decided now i need to backtrack so <laughs> yep <laughs> i went back and started re i think i reread hawks pox or i may have just gone to x-men number one mm-hmm. and i'm up to i think the issue eights now and just kind of cruising along and mm-hmm. like yeah you've got this big event and I just lost my train of thought, unfortunately. Oh, no, it, it, it happens. I mean, this is a – there are a lot of books here. There are a lot of books here, and um, it's hard to keep them straight. It absolutely is because, like, I'm thinking right now, like, had I had I jumped into this – and this is something I've been asking the other, uh, the other co-hosts here. Had I decided to – Maybe I didn't read Hox Pox. Maybe I didn't read. Maybe I maybe I did the same as you. I read X Men number one and it was just like, all right, maybe not for me. Mm-hmm. But then you know you hear the buzz about Hickman and the you know all these radical changes and this brave new world and then you find out that there's this huge huge story coming out, a huge in in every way possible. You know, epic, long, <laughs> bloated, big. And you're like, okay, okay, well, I didn't like that issue, the first issue here, but, you know, the buzz is building here. I gotta, I gotta check this out. So you jump in and you have this handbook here, which doesn't give you much help. Um, But then you jump in and you realize that despite the fact that this starts with a, you know, Exosurge creation number one, that ain't no jumping in point. Um, I remember uh, someone had asked, uh, I think it was uh, in the mailbag back probably, we were probably halfway through X of Swords on the show, and they said that they wanted to read along, but what did they need to read before that? And it was just like, well, you need to read every issue of Excalibur, because that's where all the apocalypse and the Saturnine stuff is happening. You need to read all of that. You need to read all the lead-in stuff that has the little Exosword, the path to, or the road to Exosword's banners on it, which I think was six issues of that. Then you have to read the 22-part series, which yeah. that's, I mean, we're getting into something like 40-something issues to yeah. understand one story, which... Includes some of the 499 issues and oh, yes. exercise and stuff, so... If you're trying to stick to 399 issues, then it's like, well, oh, good luck. Yeah. Here's 499, and here's another 499, and mm-hmm. 399, and oh, another 499 to go with it. Oh yeah, yeah. I was recently in a used bookstore, and uh, they had a shrink-wrapped uh, Exosword set, uh, all 22 issues, and it was like, it was like 180 dollars. <laughs> Holy crap! And I'm like, no. <laughs> I can't, I couldn't believe it. It was just like, how, and I mean, this is, I don't want to get into like comics, you know, current year comic woes here, but that's a big buy-in, you know, Um, especially when it was something that was so uncertain. It was also something that, I mean, Otherworld has its fans. I know people like Otherworld. There are bits about Otherworld I like. I loved the Alan Davis stuff. 
I appreciated the early uh, Dave Thorpe stuff, um, the Alan Moore stuff. I, I appreciate that stuff. This isn't that. This is a different kind of other world. This is very much... And I mean, people have said this, and so I'm not breaking any new ground here, but when uh, X of Swords was announced, people were like, this is like I'm reading a, a role-playing game um, instruction manual. And it's like, well, yeah, it's hard not to see that when you when you mention that. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is an expensive endeavor to uh, be a completionist for, because God help you if you try to just pick up one series, unless it's Hellions. Hellions did its own thing, and it was wonderful, but... Uh, Everything else was on this path. And Marauders did did some good stuff too. Those uh, the 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 two part dinner party that you saw in Exosoids was was phenomenal. I thought mm. really really good. Actually brought some life into these these no name or uh, they had names, but like these faceless Iraqi characters who we were just it's like here's a pile of characters care about them. It's like yeah. well no uh, <laughs> I'm gonna need more. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna need more than that. I it's Iska the Unbeaten. Okay, why do I care? You know, it's a uh, it's that uh, the, the crocodile guy who's really just like a, a little dude who's in a suit. Oh, what, what was his name anyway? I don't even remember it. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I can't either. I just know he liked to say his name a lot. Yeah. Uh, Pogger Pog. There he is. Pog. Yeah. Pog. <laughs> it's like, why do I care about this guy? So it's it's an expensive endeavor to get into. And it's also a very um, niche it's a niche thing. It's not super heroics. It's not X-Men. It's D&D, you know, featuring some X-Men characters and then these people that you've just never seen before and probably won't see many of them ever again. So Yeah, side quests and split sure. and then bring the group back together and fight, get your experience points. There you go. <laughs> you got to stop at the inn. You got to drop by the store to pick up the potions, and it's all good. But... uh that's basically uh, that's basically Gorgon. Uh, unless you have anything that you'd like to mention in parting to uh, to Mr. Gorgon here. Um, only the the grass cutter mm-hmm. catches my attention because I think there's something about an actual legendary sword called grass cutter. Oh wow! And I'm thinking of it more so with Usagi Yojimbo. I think okay. There's a story, either a story or a character called grass cutter. I haven't looked into it deeply, but oh. It always puts me in mind of Usagi Ujimbo, which I've, I've got all these books of the character, but I haven't actually read the darn thing. Uh, no, you are right here. Um, Usagi Ujimbo book 12 is actually called Grass Cutter. Okay, that'd be yeah. the one I'm thinking of then. Forged in heaven, it's called the Kusanagi, the Grass Cutter, the Lost Sword of the Gods. This legendary blade could potentially tip the scales of power for the shadowy conspiracy of eight in their quest to overthrow the shogunate and reinstate the emperor. How about that? So, yeah, it's legit. So how about that? That is very, very cool. But, yeah, that's all we got to say about Gorgon. Um, But before I go, before we go here, I'd like you to uh, tell folks where they can find your uh, your work on this uh, worldwide Internet. I'm mainly just on comicreviewsbywalt.com, mm-hmm. and unfortunately I don't post a whole lot lately, but I've got a few years of old posts and everything to rouse through. Very, very good. Yeah, that's – yeah, man, Walt, and Walt's uh, blog was one of the first blogs that I came across when I was getting back into into the comics internet, and uh, I spent many a weekend uh, perusing all, all through – your uh, your back catalog there. Um, 
some excellent stuff in it. And it's, it's funny how when you, sometimes when you read someone's work, it's like, yeah, I like this guy. Uh, you know, it's like, I, I, I could, I could see myself bumping into this guy in the store and just talking for days. So uh, it's, that's, that's, you know, a, a testament to your, to your work here. The, uh, the everything is so conversational. It's informative. I mean, it's really, really great stuff here. Um, definitely check out comic reviews by Walt and I will link to it in the show notes here. So you don't have to worry about having a pen. You could just, you could just click the thing there and it'll be on the site and then everything will be great. So uh, you could check that stuff out. Thank but, you. uh, Certainly, certainly. But uh, before we go, I do want to thank you for uh, for not only following through with the X-Labs journey here, uh, being a part of the show. It really, really means a lot to me, but also for taking some time to be part of this 200th episode with us here today. It really, really means a lot. Well, thank you for opening it up to be able to come on because it's an honor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. But uh, with all that said, we will head into the next bio, which I think is about a certain sentient island. All righty, episode 200 rolls on with another bio from the X of Swords handbook. Right now, we're looking at Krakoa, and I am joined by my good pal Jeremiah to uh, go through the life and times of uh, this sentient island. How you doing today, Jeremiah? I'm great, Chris. Great. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you for coming on, and thank you for... Uh, sharing in the uh, glory that is Krakoa. Um, before we get into the bio, I wanted to ask you, I mean, we're discovering that not much was known about Krakoa before the Hox, Pox, Dox, Rock, Sox era. Not many stories were told, and uh, that actually kind of blew my mind. I, I thought that there were more Krakoa stories. I could have sworn I've remembered reading many more Krakoa stories, or at least stories that kind of lent onto Krakoa. What did you know about Krakoa before reading this uh, this biography? Not much beyond uh, Giant Size X-Men number one. I remember mm -hmm. finding out at some point, and I don't even know when, but in the last few years that it was a uh, sentient mutant island. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, no, not a whole lot. Yeah, I think the first time I heard about Krakoa was probably probably in a uh, like on a trading card back in the uh, like an old X-Men trading card here because I mean coming into comics when I did early 90s the reprints weren't a big thing back then right I mean there were some of course uh, not like there are today the availability was even you know less because uh, right now we can go on to Marvel Unlimited or you could just Google a comic and find it so Back in the day, we couldn't do that. So Giant Size X-Men was one of those things that was never going to be owned by me. You know, I'm never going to even own a version of it. So didn't know what Krakoa was. You find out about, you know, they, the X-Men were sent to this island to find a mutant. But the island was the mutant. So really interesting story. And like I said before, I could have sworn there were more stories about Krakoa. So <laughs> I guess not. Which... Brings me to my next question, which really isn't a question. Uh, it's what I'm asking everybody else who's taken part in this. Are there any stories about Krakoa that stick out to you? Well, well there's, there's kind of just the one, right? Yeah. <laughs> the most I've read Krakoa is in this era of the X-Books. I mean, this is yeah. the most that I, I've seen of it. Really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, without any further ado, we'll get into the bio here. And uh, 
it's basically bullet points here. We're taking it directly from the uh, the X of Swords handbook here, trying to make it a little bit easier to digest because these things are written, and I mean they're written well, but they're written very densely and uh, also in very, very small print. And I, I think I'm realizing that not only am I uh, farsighted, I'm also I'm, – I'm not only am I nearsighted, I'm also farsighted. I'm going to be needing bifocals <laughs> eventually. So reading this was a chore. So we're here to help with that. So what we know about Krakoan history, that begins millennia ago with someone wielding something called the Twilight Sword, which tore the land of Okara into two separate islands. This is all new lore. This is stuff from House of X and Powers of X here. Those two separate islands were Krakoa and Arako. Apocalypse would push Arako through a chasm where it was sealed away, and the original Four Horsemen of Apocalypse who, uh, when this issue came out, this handbook came out, I don't know that we knew that they were his children, but they were. They were there, they were kind of standing guard on Krakoa, making sure that uh, this rogue island, or this rogue bit of island, this Amenthi stuff, didn't come back through. Now, you read Hawks and Pox, right? Yes. Okay, so, I mean, this is, this is silly, but like, the uh, we saw the reveal here we saw the sword cut the island in two and they separated out i know when i saw that i kind of groaned um because first of all it was like we have these weird words we have okara arako krakoa amenti all these words that don't mean anything to us yet because we're just getting peppered with them it's like it's like we're holding out our hands and they're just dropping so much into them it's like how am I supposed to make sense out of any of this? What's important? What's not? So I kind of just groaned. What was your reaction to finding out that there's more to Krakoa than we originally thought there was here? Almost in a way, like in inhumanizing, making the X-Men sort of like inhumans in a way, in that we have this millennia-old island where mutants were kind of just, I don't know, manifested or congregated or were just their own sort of thing what what were your thoughts on that well it's interesting in that you know they're trying to build something up i guess <laughs> and i i often think well are they trying to develop something like you know the eternals they're this <laughs> ancient race and they did all these things are we doing the same kind of thing in now the mutant universe <laughs> um so it I mean, it was it was interesting, and you wanted to see where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, but like you said, it's all kind of meaningless words that yeah don't have any history. You it's know true. I mean? It's true. Yeah, because like, and I know it took me until deep into the X of Swords event to be able to tell things apart. And I mean, I'm not the sharpest uh, bulb in the drawer, but it's like. Like, what's a Rocco? What's a Menthi? What's And then you see a Kara pop in there every once in a while, and you have to remind yourself, oh, that was the combined... So much stuff. It's it's almost like the, the hyper-cool speak of Grant Morrison sometimes, where it's like, we get a lot of words that look cool and sound cool, and they're cool to say, but it's like, what do they actually mean? You know, it's very, very... I don't know. It just looks good on paper. Uh, from here, though... We don't do anything with Krakoa until 1945. Now, in 1945, Krakoa was awakened by the detonation of an atomic bomb. 
Now, this was a story told in a book I recently found in a uh, dollar bin, uh, which I had no idea it was going to be on the tests, but I picked it up anyway because it said Krakoa, and I thought it might be something we would maybe want to talk about eventually, and that was Journey into Mystery, The Birth of Krakoa. And this is uh, basically a Nick Fury and his Howling Commando story here. And we talked a little bit about this off the air about, you know, when did this happen? And uh, like only as luck would have it that I found out how it happened here uh, because I I wanted to use this handbook as as an all-inclusive thing. I didn't want to go to Marvel wikis. I didn't want to go to Wikipedia. I didn't want to Google any of this stuff. I wanted to use this as its own tool in – in a way to see how a reader who isn't familiar with this stuff would perhaps receive it and what kind of confidence they might have in their ability to uh, jump into the Exoswords event or just into the X-Men, the deep end of the X-Men pool, as it were, here. Um, but this was a story here that I haven't read it yet, but I like the concept of it because we, what when when the X-Men were starting and when they were flourishing in the 80s and 90s the whole thing was about the children of the atom right i mean you had the the atomic bomb was where mutant powers sort of came from here professor x said that his parents both worked on the uh, atomic bomb so that's how he got his powers or so he thought so it's funny we go from this ancient lore of okara arako and okara or arako whatever the hell they are those islands And now we go up to the atomic bomb being part of this. So I think that's a really neat way of bringing – of kind of like marrying both things here. When you started uh, reading X-Men, it was about the the children of the atom, right? Yeah, children of the atom. You know, everybody hates the mutant world. (laughs) That was was the the two big things. Yes, the the, the fear and hate. In the height of the Cold War and all that. So that's – Certainly. Certainly, certainly. From here, we jump right into Giant Size X-Men. And this is where, if you haven't read it, the original five plus Havoc and Polaris are sent by Professor X to an island to seek out a powerful mutant believed to be living on it. Only we learn that the powerful mutant was the island itself. Now, here's our first bit of retroactive continuity from that story here, where we talk about the Deadly Genesis team, Maura McTaggart's team of... I guess, like beta flighters, you know, the backups. And that's Vulcan, Petra, Sway, and Darwin. Now, have you read Deadly Genesis? Nope, I have okay. not. Now, Deadly so I Genesis... have no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> okay. Now, Deadly Genesis was, a, uh, I think, a six-issue miniseries by Ed Brubaker, who was coming on to the X-Books uh, 2005-ish or so. In it, it was revealed that there was a second team in between the original five and the giant size team, you know, the Wolverine, uh, Banshee, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Thunderbird team, Sunfire. Uh, that team was the Deadly Genesis team. Vulcan, who we found out was the third, the third Summer's brother, Petra, Sway, and Darwin. They were sent there and they died. So they, or two of them died, two of them were just like incapacitated, but they were all thought to be dead. They were all thought to have perished. And it also goes uh, into explaining how Cyclops was able to escape Krakoa, the deadly Genesis team, freedom. So he was able to get back to uh, to Xavier's, but the team didn't make it. So then the giant-sized team is formed, and that's the team that we all know and love, and the X-Men would be rescued. 
Now, Krakoa would release spores, which would become his children of sorts or grandchildren. We did see the grandson of Krakoa living in on or serving as the Jean Grey school lawn during Wolverine and the X-Men. Have you read any of uh, Wolverine and the X-Men? Nope. Okay, now this was post-X-Men uh, schism where uh, Wolverine and Cyclops had a falling out. Uh, I mean, that's the quick and dirty version of it here. Cyclops would go his way. Wolverine would go his Wolverine would go back to Westchester, reopen the school, name it after Jean Grey because she was dead, and would have a really, really fun series. It was, um, I usually compare it to, and I know people would probably roll their eyes at this, but I compare it to the uh, Justice League uh, International team, where it could be funny, but it could also be very serious, very lighthearted, but also had a lot of heart to it. And uh, if anybody hasn't read Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron, I would uh, I would ask you to. It's it's really, really good stuff. It's probably on Unlimited. Um, so we did see the grandson of Krakoa serving as the lawn of the Jean Grey school. And uh, we even saw the grandson of Krakoa show up in Generation X Volume 2, uh, chasing after Quentin Quire. Um, <laughs> now, the, uh, the cosmic entity, The Stranger would discover Krakoa and take it back with him to his laboratory world. Now, the stranger has a habit of taking mutants back with him. He did take Magneto with him for a little while there, back in the uh, in the Silver Age. It wouldn't last too terribly long, or maybe it would. I don't know. I don't know when this happened. But uh, we know Quasar would wind up rescuing Krakoa, among other captives of the stranger, after breaking into the lab. And that happened in Quasar number 15, October 1990, a book that I didn't read. And uh, if I had to guess, I'd say you probably didn't either because who read Quasar? Not me. <laughs> I didn't know anybody who read Quasar. I'm sure there are people out there grinding their teeth right now, but I, I didn't know anybody in real life who read Quasar or who remembered it fondly. Um, believe it or not, that's it. This takes us right into Hoxpox here. And uh, a little quick and dirty on that, uh, Maura McTaggart, Professor X and Magneto established the Mutant Nation. They brought Cypher in to uh, communicate with the island and also to establish an interface. Uh, Krakoa itself, while based in the Pacific Ocean, would split a portion of itself, five small islands, to be set in the Atlantic Ocean. Sage and Black Tom Cassidy would enter as Krakoa's security and sort of data team. Cypher established the Krakoan language. Uh, then we have the flowers. Uh, Krakoa's flowers would serve different purposes. We have gateways, of course. We've got Things called No Places, where uh, Mora is hidden right now. And also the Mutant Magic Meds, uh, L, I, and M. Uh, one, like, stops uh, brain uh, you know, brain disease. Uh, one's, like, a really badass antibiotic. The other one, I think, was it cures cancer? I don't remember. Um, and the mutants would use this stuff as bargaining chips in establishing their island nation. When the time was right, Xavier would announce that Krakoa is a thing, and mutants from all over the world would flock there, good, bad, and ugly. The population is said to be around 200,000, uh, mutants only, much to uh, the juggernaut's dismay, uh, with one exception, and that is North Star's husband, Kyle. Uh, the Quiet Council was established in order to govern, and Sabretooth was exiled to the whole. Um, now, it says here, it's interesting. You remember at the end of uh, Hoxpox where Sabretooth was sent to the hole, right? Yep. Now, it says here in the handbook that he was sent there because he refused to renounce his murderous ways. I didn't know they were given the opportunity to renounce him. I thought it was just like, you killed somebody, you go in the hole. 
I thought that was yeah. kind of the thing. <laughs> I I didn't remember it that way either. I didn't go yeah. back and look, but I didn't remember it that way because wasn't it kind of heavy-handed? It was like it was. It was making an example. Yeah, for sure. So it kind of takes all the oomph out of it. <laughs> You know, it's like you have a guy say, yeah, 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 I'm sorry I killed all those people. It's like, OK, I'll just don't do it again. As long as as long as you feel bad about it, you don't got to go to the hall. Maybe Magneto can try that during the upcoming trial. He'll just uh, <laughs> renounce his uh, his murderous ways. Um, now, before we get into the Krakoan points of interest, which there are many, many, many. Uh, and this is going to be perhaps the driest part of a already dry episode. Um, what did you learn about Krakoa here? What were your thoughts upon reading through Hoxpox here and finding out that that we have a new, we're basically building a culture. We're building uh, traditions, a language, um, borders, you know, we're keeping everyone out who isn't a mutant besides Kyle. What were your thoughts on on learning all that stuff? Well, I liked it. The thing that with Krakoa and the, those early issues is it almost feels like we're going to use this to do all these things we don't want to take a lot of time to explain. Like mm-hmm. the flowers are the gateways and, you know, sure. we can get anywhere in the world in the universe. And then it can do this, which will just, you know, explain this away. It, it, not a MacGuffin, but a, a catch-all. Sure. And, this entry here fleshes that out a little bit. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's nice to see they're not just, you know, oh, we need something convenient. We'll, we'll take it from Krakoa. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. And, and so. it, it, one of the things that I, because I, I mean, this was my re-entry into the X-Men uh, universe here. And one of the things that I was really questioning was whether or not there was any sort of hint that this was the direction the line was going. And that's something I asked a lot of people who were more familiar with maybe the end of the Rosenberg run or whatever age of X-Men was and all that kind of stuff that was kind of bubbling around before Hickman took over to say, like, was there, you know, was there a scene of, you know, Doomsday punching out of the containment unit, right? Was there something there to bridge what was to what was going to be? And I was shocked when the answer was no. Like... People said, like, when you opened up House of X number one, that was just the new world. There was nothing to precede it to give you any sort of impression that that was the direction we were going. Very, very bizarre stuff. And, um, I mean, I I couldn't help myself. I did look at the last issue of the Rosenberg Uncanny X-Men, and it basically ends the same way that all of the X-Men books end, where it's just like, well, we'll live on. To, we'll live to fight on another day. And like they, they give themselves a pat on the back, and it ends. Mm-hmm. So it, it was very weird that it's like all of a sudden we're on Krakoa. When, when, when did this happen? When did we find this yeah. stuff out? So in finding out that all the stuff that did happen happened behind the scenes, like Mora and and Charles and and Magneto doing their thing, uh, getting together, kind of clandestine like to to set this in motion. That kind of assuages those concerns here. You know, it's like, okay, there is a reason why we didn't know about it. We weren't supposed to know about it. This was all kind of machinations going on behind the scenes. So it it took me a little while, but I got it, you know. But then we have the driest part of this thing, the Krakoan points of interest. (laughs) 
And uh, we have 42 of them. Some of them matter, some of them don't. Um, the first one is the Academos Habitat. And uh, if you're reading New Mutants, this is where the New Mutants live and hang out. There's a place called the Sextant. I remember this was one of the one of the info pages early on that I really liked because I felt like it uh, it included so many different things from different eras of the X Men. Here you had you had like the the uh, the Morrison era kids who were all kind of in their own little dorm. You have the New Mutants in their dorm. You have Generation X in their dorm. You have the uh, Academy X kids in a dorm. It it felt very very cool to see all of these characters in one little neighborhood. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the uh, the old Academos habitat? Not really, other than, you know, it was nice to see the the list here of yeah. which kids live where. But, I mean, I didn't read a lot of those other than the New Mutants. So, okay. you know, it's not... <clears throat> the only characters that I, at this point I care about are New Mutants mm. and the Generation X kids. And the Generation X kids is not because I read the comic. It's just from listening to your shows. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's neat to see those things. And and this 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 first entry is like, all right, that's a good entry to have in this list. Sure, sure. It's it's a neighborhood. It's it's a place that we actually do spend a lot of time in. Uh, every issue of New Mutants has a has at least a scene there, right? Uh, besides the X to Tens ones. Uh, number two is the Iraq Coral. Now, this we saw in X-Men number two during the Summers family little vacation, where uh, this is a monster island, and we saw it merge with Krakoa, and this was the issue that introduced us to the Creepy Summoner. Do you remember that issue? I remember complaining about that issue. I, I do remember that issue, because I, I wanted to know what the hell was going on there, and I never <laughs> had enough issues after that to have found out you know what the whole deal is. Yeah. But that, that creepy little white kid with the, you know, the black eyes and everything. Yeah. <laughs> that is the summoner. That is the summoner. But uh, that was around the time where I realized, like, wait a minute, our flagship book might not actually be telling us a story. <laughs> it's yeah. going to just be weird scenes that might pay off and might not. But it, if they do, it's going to take a long time. Yeah. That was where that started. Um. The third one is Arma Magna, or the Hatchery. This is where the gold balls are and where the five hang out. Another good entry, I think. Um, th this is a central point of Krakoa. It is basically the central point of the Krakoan way of life here. We haven't talked a lot about Resurrections. What were you, When you read, I believe it was House of X number five here, the what we call the big shoe drop issue, what were your thoughts on the concept of resurrection protocols and death not being an issue anymore? Well, I, I, I think I liked it in the sense that, all right, we don't much care about death in comics anyway sure. these days because everybody's coming back or the book's just being canceled. Yeah. But <laughs> this, this was a nice way to explain why we're not going to, worry about that aspect of the story yeah so yeah. It, for me it worked it was it was fine and you know to see this little underground chamber that reminds me of something out of an anime comic <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool yeah it's it's i wasn't sure how i felt about it it's at the at the get-go but um 
I like that it presents a whole lot of uh, kind of story spurs, right? Uh, there are a lot mm-hmm. of ways we can go from here. And, uh, I mean, we're looking at books like Way of X right now that are really, really digging into the idea of, like, wh- why don't we care about death anymore? Shouldn't – even though we don't really need to be afraid of it anymore, shouldn't we at least, like, respect it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, we get little bits and pieces of that. I mean, we we got a little bit in Hellions where uh, Orphan Maker, who has, like, the mind of a child in a way uh, – asks like when empath dies is like well if he comes back is it the same guy and and you know uh gray crow kind of screws with him he's like nah it just looks like him but we're gonna treat it like it anyway and Mm -hmm. like just totally shutting down the question here but the question was asked it was put on the table and uh i I like that we're we're playing with it it's something that really should be played with i don't know how we're gonna walk it back but uh or even if we're going to walk it back i assume we will somehow but yeah it's a it is it is an interesting thing um it's now it's a story device you can certainly do a lot with absolutely absolutely now another heavy location here is our fourth one the arena where the crucible is held now you and i haven't talked about the crucible what are your thoughts on the crucible i don't remember what the hell that is okay Uh, the crucible is it's an arena right And uh, you remember M-Day, Scarlet Witch, No More Mutants, all that good stuff. So if you're a depowered mutant, you could still live on Krakoa. You could still access the gateways. Uh, You still have the mutant gene in you. You just aren't powered. The Crucible is a way to make a depowered mutant whole in that they go to this arena and they die. And they are reborn in a gold ball. And they come back fully powered. We first were introduced to this in X-Men number seven, where uh, Arrow, uh, one of the Guthrie kids who was depowered on M-Day, comes to get her powers back. And we watch a brutal scene of Apocalypse absolutely destroying her wow. and, uh, and, and like making her thank him for it, basically. He's like, I'm giving you a gift. And he's just beating the hell out of her. And finally, he just runs her through with a blade, and the crowd goes wild. Uh, everybody, all the Krakoan bigwigs, they're there in the crowd watching this applauding murder. And it's uh, it's very interesting. We're still playing with it, uh, again, in, in Way of X, which if you're not reading Way of X, read Way of X. It is something else here. Um, we had another scene in The Crucible, another excellent scene in The Crucible. Um, in Marauders recently, we had Kalisto go through the Crucible. I mean, it's a heavy thing here. And uh, Nightcrawler pointed it out in Way of X here that he doesn't really – he says there's a difference between the killing part and the adulation for the killing. The killing part, he's like, I get killing. I understand that. And I also understand why a person who doesn't see themselves as whole anymore, who has a pos- who has an opportunity to become whole, might take advantage of this or might want to take advantage of this. What he can't understand is why they're being cheered and why the crowd is just absolutely eating this stuff up. And um, a lot of food for thought, a lot of food for thought. And um, I'm just so happy that they're finally addressing it again in the uh, in the books here because it kind of went away for a bit. It yeah. Isn't, uh, it was, uh, you know, a one and done. And then, like, I'd get a lot of listener mail being like, let's talk about the Crucible. It's like, well, where is the Crucible? <laughs> Why isn't it back yet? <laughs> but uh, that is the the, uh, the arena. 
another great location to be uh, featured here on the uh, on the handbook. The fifth one is the armory. This is where the weapons are. We've seen Forge here a time or two, and we found out that he has a vat of molten adamantium here uh, for any time Wolverine or, I guess, X-23 dies. Yeah, I guess that's a good place to have on here. I mean, if we're doing like the the G.I. Joe USS flag thing, you know, an armory would be part of that uh, part of that build. Um, six is Bar Sinister, where Mr. Sinister hangs out or Mr. Sinister's hang out, I guess. And uh, this is the potential home of the black market clone farm. We've uh, learned a little bit about the clone farm over the past little bit here. And uh, uh, Betsy Britton is actually running around with a cloned a black market clone body at the moment. So. That's a thing. Okay. That's a, and I guess that's a uh, that's another good one to have on the list. Number seven is the Boneyard, where X-Factor works. I don't know if they'll be working there much longer, since that book is unfortunately going away. Number eight, the Broken Baths. I think we saw it once, and Wolverine and Jean, like, made out there. I don't know why we need this in the list. Yep. Um, yeah, uh... Okay, uh, number nine is Carousel. Now, this is the place in the early issues of Dawn of X where we would always see just these nameless, faceless mutants dancing and partying and uh, enjoying life, despite the fact that, like, Professor X was just assassinated five feet away from them. Can't stop the music, can't stop the party. That is Carousel. Number 10 is the Cradle, the secret locations where Professor X keeps copies of the Cerebro helmet. Uh, there's, I think, five of them. Um I could be mistaken, but uh, I guess that's a decent enough place here because it is vital to the, I suppose, infrastructure of Krakoa. Now, the Green Lagoon, this is the bar where everybody hangs out. Blob is the bartender um, for an island nation full of uh, drinkers. Uh, I guess this is a decent place to be. Have you read anything with the uh, Green Lagoon in it? I'm not that far, no. Okay, yeah. This showed up, I want to say... Boy, um, right before X Factor launched. X Force Nine. Yes, yes, X Force Number Nine, because I think uh, there was a two-page spread of like every mutant in there, and it looked really, really cool. Um, number, what's this? Number twelve is the Grove. That's where the Quiet Council Hall is, which is, you know, that's a place to be. Yep. Number 13, the Grove of Theoretical Gates, and that's Apocalypse's lab and, like, wizarding center. Uh, that's where he did a little bit of training with Richter. It's where he keeps his grimoire, and uh, I think Richter, at this point, is currently the master of that house since Apocalypse isn't really hanging out with uh, Krakoa anymore. 14, the Healing Gardens, the hospital area. Fair enough. Uh, 15, Hellfire Bay, which includes Blackstone, the Red Keep, and the White Palace. This is the home of the Hellfire Trading Company, a big cornerstone of the Marauders book. Fair enough. Yep. Number six, yeah, number 16 is the House of M, where Magneto lives. 17 is the House of X, where Xavier lives. Uh, I think, I don't know that we've ever seen, and we might have seen them like once each. I I don't know. Um, I know we saw the House of X in the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries, because that's where uh, Kitty went to to find out that the X-Men decided, or the mutants decided, that uh, we're going to go get Franklin Richards, and uh, really got them running on demutinifying him. So I guess we can thank that for that. Number 18, more is n- it's more is no place, but they call it more is no space here. So, uh, I mean, there were like 300 editors on this book, but what are you going to do? 
Yep. This, this is the secret home for more right here, located underneath Krakoa, where nobody knows she's here. Uh, have you read the um, the Mystique solo issue uh, in X-Men number six? I have not. Okay. Now, in that issue, um, we find out that a lot of what Mystique is doing is basically under the assumption that eventually the Quiet Council is going to allow her to or allow the five, I guess, to bring Destiny back. Destiny is Mystique's lover, of course. And the uh, no place, Mora being hidden, Mora being kind of, uh, you know, sequestered somewhere is one of the reasons why they're not bringing back precogs. So we can't bring back a Destiny because Destiny would know that Mora is here, despite the fact that Krakoa itself doesn't seem to know, or maybe just doesn't seem to care. Um, it would be able to be deduced by Destiny, so they can't have Destiny here, which led to Mystique promising or vowing to uh, to tear this place down. In that issue, uh, it was a great issue, great, great issue, one of my favorite of the uh, run so far. We get a mention of Destiny's Diaries, which is something from the Extreme X-Men series back in uh, 2001-ish, Chris Claremont's uh, little flagship book there. And Destiny's Diaries were... Just that. She's a precog. She can see the future. She wrote things down. So you could basically have the, uh, what was it, the Gray's Sports Almanac from uh, Back to the Future? Yep. Is that what they call that thing? It's kind of like that. You know, you know everything that's going to come. And apparently, Destiny knew that Krakoa was going to be a thing. And told Mystique that if they don't allow her to uh, be brought back, then you burn the place to the ground. And uh, we're still yet to see that. Hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll be bubbling to the surface pretty soon. Back in uh, Hoxpox, wasn't one of Moira's timelines? Um, D- Destiny was heavily featured in one of those. Yes, Moira's they, third life. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that was when she had come up with a cure for mutantum. She didn't want to be a mutant, and she didn't want mutants around. So Moira did a uh, she made a cure for uh, for mutants, and uh, she was attacked by the by the Brotherhood or Freedom Force, or whatever they were calling themselves, Mystique, Destiny, Pyro, Avalanche, those guys. Mm. And uh, Destiny had a, had her sit down and be like, hey, this is how it's going to go. You can't let that stuff go out because the government will take all mutants down. And so we're going to kill you, and I know your power. I know you're going to come back, and I know you'll have your memories from this life. So uh, keep this in mind. If you go, If you try and do this again, I will kill you before your powers manifest. So, uh... A nice way to go out. <laughs> and that was that was kind of when we got the whole explanation of what was going on with Mo- with Moira's timelines, right? Yes. Wasn't that how they told us what was happening in these yep. books? Yeah. yeah, that was uh, I think that was House of X number two, and that was that was one of those shoe drop issues. That was another big big mind blow of an issue. Uh, number nineteen, Nightcrawler's Perch. A place where, Na- where Nightcrawler goes to pray, I guess. Don't know why that's needed here. Um, number 20, Observation, which is an observation chamber. Okay. Yep. 21 is Oracle, and that's where Mystique lives, and she named it after Destiny, who is an oracle. Number 22 is Port Genosha, the distillery, because this is an island of drinkers, so you need a place to brew the drinks. And I think we saw that once in an issue of Marauders. Uh, 23, the prison grotto, an unofficial penitentiary. Uh, Got to make sure we say it's unofficial because Xavier is big on not having prisons. 
despite the fact that he has the hole, which is like the Phantom Zone, basically. Um, but I don't know where I, you have the you have it handy in front of you, right? Where did we see the Prison Grotto? Wolverine number one. Wolverine number one. Uh, I think that might have had to do with Omega Red being detained. I might be mistaken. Um, number 24, the Psychic Rescue Room, which we only saw once. It's a place for psychic surgeries, and uh, we saw it in Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey and Emma Frost, where uh, Storm was infected by the Children of the Vault with some sort of disease that was going to kill her. And so they brought her to the Psychic Rescue Room, which was a play on the uh, old Psychic Rescue Room from Grant Morrison's silent issue of New X-Men, the Nuff Said issue, where uh, Professor X was basically taken out by Cassandra Nova and Jean and Emma go inside and try to figure out what's going on, which I think that was the first appearance of Professor Xavier's sperm in a comic book. So. <laughs> Yeah, that was inside his body, but I mean, that's where it goes, or it's where it starts, so there you go. Here they did it with Storm, and it was uh, it was beautifully drawn, but uh, I think it was Russell Dodderman who did the art on that. He's the one who's doing the Marauders covers right now, which are fabulous, but the uh, that issue wasn't, wasn't the greatest. Um, <laughs> 25, The Quarry. This is a fighting arena run by the Silver Samurai, not like the Crucible. This is more of like a... Like a, a classic old medieval jousting place or a professional wrestling ring, basically. This is just where people go to fight, blow off steam, and entertain each other. Uh, and we saw that in the first issue of Cable, where Kid Cable beat up Wolverine. I don't know how that happened, but he did. He was able to beat up Wolverine. Uh, 26 is the Reservoir. That's where Quanan lives, so probably the most boring place on Krakoa. 27 is the Sunset Cliffs. They're cliffs. Yep. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. They're, they're nice looking cliffs, but they're just cliffs. 28's Transit, a hub of gateways here. So uh, basically a place where you could just step through a hub and or step through a gateway and go wherever you need to go. Kind of like a Grand Central Station of, uh, of Krakoa. 29, the Unidentified Forked Towers. That is a place that Nightcrawler, where Nightcrawler goes here. He is able to uh, teleport inside. There are no doors, no windows, but Nightcrawler can teleport inside. And he says inside is kind of – it's kind of a weird place. And I'm guessing that we're probably going to be seeing more of that in Way of X because that was in X-Men number 7 where we first saw it. And that was where we saw the Crucible, and it was where Nightcrawler decided that he wanted to pursue starting a mutant religion. So – I'm guessing the Fork Towers will be back. Now, there are a couple of other no locations here that we just haven't seen yet, uh, including Storm's Garden, because we got to assume she has one. She is a gardener. She's a prolific uh, plant person. And also the Wild Hunt, which we actually have seen since the end of uh, X of Tens here. And that is a place where the New Mutants are training young characters here. I believe it was added to the map uh, right after uh, X of Swords ended. But that's not all. We have some non-Krakoan locations here because I guess this is trying to be a completionist thing here. Um, but before we get to those here, I mean, we mentioned some places here that are important, some places that aren't important. Are there any here that actually stuck out to you as being particularly important? Well, the, the only one that <clears> – the one that jumps out, first of all, is Bar Sinister. Mm -hmm. It's exactly one sentence of description with themes <laughs> – a little wasteful. You could have elaborated on that one a little more, 
while you spent there's five or six sentences on the Grove, which is the Quiet Council, which we you see all the time. So yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. And then, you know, all the big pictures of Hellfire Bay, it takes up one whole column whole, on the page. Yep, exactly. So I guess it's pretty important, but <laughs> beyond that, I mean the the homes, those are pretty cool, you know, where the House of M, blah, blah, blah. Sure. The, uh, the no place. But a lot of it, I mean, it just seems like filler to a certain extent. Yeah, it really does. It really I does. I mean, Port Genosha gets as much page space and the 50-year-old whiskey as Bar, uh, Bart Sinister does. <laughs> yep. So, and the prison grotto, which appeared all of once. <laughs> so. Prison Grotto. We have some non-Krakoan locations here. Um, number 30 is Emma Frost's Island. Now, we saw this. This is a place in the Faroe Islands where uh, Magneto was uh, brokered to deal with Namor to get an island for Emma for some purpose that has yet to be revealed. I I think it's going to be the home of the Hellfire Gala, but then again, a lot of the solicitors are saying that the Hellfire Gala is happening on Krakoa. So... If that's the case, I haven't the foggiest idea why we have this island. So maybe, maybe they'll pregame in in Emma Frost's island. <laughs> there you go, and then, and then teleport to the gala. <laughs> that's what they'll the do. Party before the party. Yeah, that'll be the red carpet. The red carpet yeah. will be at the, uh, at the on the island there. Uh, number 30, 31 is gateways. Well, yeah, they're gateways. Uh, yeah, didn't need that. Well, I'm I'm old, and like you, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing glasses at this point. I have reading. <laughs> And even I, with with good reading glasses on, have no idea what the, the words are in the picture. <laughs> I mean, I could use a magnifying glass, right? You know, and and read it. But the the font on these pages is particularly small. It is brutally small. Yeah. Uh, number thirty two is Green Space. This is a clean energy startup located in Silicon Valley, and we did see this in early issues of X Force uh, once, I believe. I, I mean, we could have just had a page of like the Xavier companies, the Xavier Holdings, but uh, no. Number thirty three is the Gray Malkin Habitat, which is the old Xavier School, which uh, we did see in Giant Size X Men Nightcrawler, um, and it's been overrun by uh, like alien beetles. So there's that. Number 30. Go ahead. I just said good times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 34 is Habitats, and this is basically a catch-all term for the Krakoan embassies all around the world. That stands to reason. 35 is Island M, the Bermuda Triangle base that Magne Magneto used to keep and still has, and uh, we have seen it in action um, a few times. Uh, the Marauders did bring a bunch of refugees there during the King in Black event not too long ago. Uh, 36, the Krakoan Atlantic version here. Uh, we have five islands in the Atlantic. Only four of them are named. We've got Danger Island, which is a training place. I mean, like the Danger Room. The Point, which is where X-Force is based out of, the you know secret X-Force uh, headquarters. We have Transport, which is basically another Grand Central. And we got the Bunker. And it is a bunker, a place that they bring non-combat mutants should Krakoa Pacific ever be attacked. Don't know if we've ever seen them use this yet, but um, I guess it's nice to have. Uh, number 37 is the medi medicine processing plant, and this is where the flowers go to become drugs, and it's run by auto automatons. 
And for a people who were so scared of like a machine and robot uprising, seems weird they'd use automatons, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> uh, 38, the Red Farm. This is a facility on Mars where the flowers are grown. We saw this exactly once. Uh, 39, Rio Verde. This is a small golf community in Arizona uh, where I did a few windshield repairs uh, several years back. <laughs> and uh, this is where the Morlocks now live, above ground. And uh, when I saw them actually put Rio Verde in a comic book and they didn't make it look like a Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner cartoon like like people usually do when they do Arizona in comics, I was so happy because they actually showed um, Mask golfing. I'm like, yeah, that, that whole place is a golfing community. Okay, great. <laughs> Someone actually did their own work here. Uh, number 40 is the Savage Land Harvest Center, and it's more Krakoan flowers are farmed here. We've seen Colossus, you know, reap these lands a few times. Uh, 41, the Summer House, where the Summerses and Wolverine live. Um, uh, you know, polygamy, <laughs> whatever that word is, they, they, they share gene is the thing. And uh, 42, and finally, the Xavier Pharmaceuticals distribution site. This is an offshore platform outside of New York, and we saw it, I think, exactly once in X-Force, and I think a lot of Jamie Madrox's died there. So that is Krakoa. Now, what did we learn? Did you learn anything from this deep dive into Krakoa as per the handbook? Well... The one thing I think I learned is that the important place, the person who edited the important places took the time to put in the, where these things are referenced. Mm -hmm. And whoever edited the body, the, the whole bio, should have done the same thing and didn't. Yes. Yes, thank you. I, that's um, something... Because like I said, I didn't want to use a wiki for any of this here, but I was tempted when I was going through these things... And it's like, and I actually did use the wiki once to find out which issue of Quasar that was because I wanted to see if I owned it or not. But uh, I, I did. I thought they should have actually included that kind of stuff. I don't remember if they did that in the old Ohatmus, um, but I, I, I would have definitely preferred had we had we had those issues to refer to, you know, because I mean, the Journey into Mystery book, the Journey into Mystery Birth of Krakoa book, they could have cited that there. I mean, that's yeah. what would it have hurt? I mean, the text is small anyway. <laughs> it's not going to kill us. Editor's so, note, C, Journey into Mystery, special one. Yep, that's it. You know, C, that's House it. of X, number one. Yep, that's it. Uh, yeah, nothing. Or even just like like a footnote, you know, like a like a, a citation, you know, like exactly. a one. And then you go to the end of it, it's like, okay, one means this. And But no, none of that. It, it, this does clear up a little bit. Um, what the deal is with the different islands and the origin um, mm -hmm. for someone who hasn't read all these X books yet. Sure. So it, it, it did do that. So I got that much out of it. Okay. Now, now here's a question here, because these books are meant to be used as tools, right? These things are sure. They're for the rabid collector and the rabid reader and the completionist who just needs to have everything with the logo on it. But I think at its core, it's supposed to be something that's supposed to assist people. Like, say you've never read an X-Book or you've been X-lapsed. Say you've been lapsed from the X-Books for years, but you've heard the buzz about the Hickman run. You've heard about the interesting new concepts here. And then you find out that there's this X of Swords event that's going to take up 22 issues. And you're like, maybe I want to try that. 
And so you jump into this book. You jump into this handbook, which is supposed to be like your, I guess, gateway into X of Tens, understanding what is yet to come here. If you were this person, and I think in in a way you are this person, because you didn't read, you've, you're still early into the Dawn of X books, so you're not up to X of Swords yet. And a lot of these things that we're talking about here, you haven't gotten to yet. And I apologize for this point, like a lot of it. But uh, would this help you? In moving forward, and I know you've read a few of the entries here, would this help you go into X of Swords confidently, like like where you'd have stable footing and actually have be ready to uh, to receive that story? I I think there would be some of that. I think mm-hmm. it would ease some trepidation. But let's face it, this this thing is a, is is a lot. It is a it's, <laughs> it's a lot to read. It's a bulky um, you know reference material. So I, I think is it the is it perfect? Is it something I could whiz through and then feel like, yeah, I want to go buy all twenty two issues? No. But <laughs> it, I there are things I would get out of it for sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it, and I, it's, I don't feel like it would be a waste of my time sure. um, to look at this and maybe even go back to it as I were reading mm-hmm. Extra Swords, you know? Sure, sure, to refer back and try to get caught up on certain things here. I think, like, where I get hung up on this book is the fact that it was $5. You know, this that's a that's that's an expensive buy-in for, uh, for a piece of reference material. And I compare that to the recent, um, the recent handbook they put out for the Hellfire Gala, which was free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was... And I mean, it wasn't as thick as this, but it was moderately thick. It wasn't like a a ten pager. It wasn't like a nothing book, and yeah. it wasn't and it wasn't just pinups. It was material. It was data. It was information. I and I I looked at that and you know I felt like it gave me an idea of what was going to be happening with the gala. Sure, so. sure. Yeah, and you know it it sets the table for you. It gives you a little bit, not too much, because you don't want to give too much, but it's it's something where you can look at it and be like, huh, maybe I'll try an issue of that. Yeah, or, it wets the whistle for sure. Yeah, you know, or you can look at it and be like, nope, <laughs> you know, either way. And you're you're out zero dollars. But here, it's a five dollar book for glorified Wikipedia entries, but without citations. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much help this would be. I'm sure it would be some help, but uh, a book like this should be all help um yeah, I, I agree. when did this come out compared to exosaurus was it I, two months ahead of time uh, no actually i think it came out a week after exosaurus creation so it, it was uh, exosaurus creation happened um which was part one we also had the free comic book day uh, x-men story which was basically the first eight or so pages of creation and then i believe a week later uh the handbook came out so it was, you know, I mean, uh, kind of if you were into this already, you probably would have picked up the first issue and would have been able to decide whether or not this was for you or not. Yeah. Uh, or if it was something that you were going to grin and bear it until it made sense or if you were just going to say, no, I'm done. So, yeah, this should have been out earlier. That's another thing. But I I can't hold that against them since the pandemic was a thing. And right. everything and I was kind of pushed back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that they had adequate lead in time here because this was supposed to be a summer event. And uh, due to the lapse, the hiatus, it was a fall event. 
so I don't know how much of it was crammed. And I know it was supposed to be it was supposed to be less parts, I believe. So there were a lot of on-the-fly sort of changes, which when you read X of Swords is fairly evident because there are some issues in there that are very, very decompressed and stretched across several issues that weren't really needed. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on, I'm thinking. So can't hold that against them, but this probably should have been better. But uh, I don't know if you have anything else to say about Krakoa. I, I do not. Other than <laughs> one more thing. Sure. The, the the Mondo scene in the in Hoxpox is still oh, yes. a very good and creepy scene. Oh yes, where Cipher can't communicate, so Krakoa, where Cipher refuses to communicate, so Krakoa takes over Mondo and yes. speaks from his belly. Yes. Very very gross. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that'll do it for this segment. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on this worldwide internet? Uh, you can see my blog, which hopefully I will be writing more for soon uh, at comics, comics, comics.blog. And I'm on Twitter at big ox seven thirty seven. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being part of this, uh, this little X-Lapsed Gala, the 200th episode jam project. I know this was supposed to be a long time ago, and I apologize for all those delays, but uh, I was moving. So uh, oh, I'm glad yeah. you still got to do it. Absolutely. I really, really appreciate you coming on and uh, and having a look at Krakoa. But uh, that's where I'll let you off to enjoy the rest of your day, and we will move on to the next little bit. Okay, it's time to talk about a character uh, in this X of Swords handbook that doesn't show up in X of Swords. Uh, <laughs> this is, um, I mean, in fairness, in fairness, this is a person who is basically informing the direction of the X books now, despite the fact that we don't ever really get to see her. It's going to be fun to talk about her, though. It's been a little while since we have talked about her with facts and figures and data and whatnot. We've uh, We've had a lot of hot takes, of course, but... Now we're going to relive, we're going to relitigate, basically, everything we know about the many lives of Maura McTaggart. And to do so, I've got my friend Jody with me to uh, help navigate the nine and a half lives of Maura Kinross McTaggart. How you doing, uh, Jody? Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Chris, I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me aboard for this uh, talk about Maura. And I am going to apologize in advance because I'll probably call her Moira. <laughs> or I'm gonna do. I'm gonna slip up. Either time. way, either way. Uh, as a kid, that's that's who I thought. Moira McTaggart. So I I think you were in the same boat as I was. I was. I was because yeah. I, I thought it was Moira, and uh, I went to. Uh, I had religious class. You know, I was going for my confirmation, and uh, one of the girls in my class, she picked the name Moira as her confirmation name. You know, you pick a name for your confirmation. Mine is Albert. Um, so. She was going to be Moira, and we asked her what, you know, what, I never heard that name before, Moira. And she goes, it's Mora. And then her mom came in and goes, it's Mora. So ever since then, I'm scared to say Moira. So it's even like watching Schitt's Creek, where, like, it's very clear that woman's name is Moira, because they call her Moira all the time. I still call her Mora, because I'm scared not to. So um, <laughs> it's... It sounds like she spoke with a convic conviction of... I've heard it too many times, and this is the last time I want to hear it. Like, yes. too, many, too many Moiras. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's Mora. So uh, we're going to we, – I almost went into Vince McMahon. It's Mora. Uh, 
So we're going to go into Mora here. But first, let's talk about our history with Mora, or actually Jody's history with Mora. I've talked about her a lot. So, Jody, your thoughts on Mora before we learned every everything we thought we knew was wrong, before we figured that out. What were your thoughts on Mora, the human character, pre-Hoxpox? Well, pre-Hoxpox, I always thought of Mora as a kind of a B-level, like a secondary character. That was just kind of always a background character. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, my main exposure to Mora would be the Jim Lee, you know, the 90s, the uh, yep. X-Men Volume 1 uh, Magneto story that we covered before on yep. uh, From Claremont to Claremont. That was, you know, that era, the early 90s, Mora. Uh, as a kid, I hadn't read any of the, you know, her earlier appearances. Sure. She shows up at the school, and uh, I, I had sense. I've read a little bit of that. But there, as far as Mora goes, my experience is is exactly that, that the 90s Mora. The, even the um, Muir Island Mora is a mm-hmm. bit of a blind spot for me. Okay. So coming into this personally and uh, – reading you know starting out with with hot box it was like really this is a this is a focal character here it was kind of <laughs> a, all right you you have my i'm not a big hickman hickman guy but uh all right you have my attention let's see what you can you can do with this very cool very cool yeah i i, I came in well we you and i came in with the exact same issue so we're we came in at the same time um i only knew her just like you just as a ancillary side character um I was an early adopter to like Usenet and the BBSs and people would usually mention her in like the same breaths as like Tom Corsi and Sharon Friedlander and uh, <laughs> these side characters, Fred Duncan, you know, these characters that just, uh, they were ancillary characters. They would help out. They would have little bits. Um, I knew she was uh, in a relationship with Banshee on again, off again. Yes. Um, yep. You know, we did see some of that, like in the Generation X issues, where Banshee would be like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go visit Mora," and it's like, "Okay, go ahead," you know. So do that. Um, and then there was Dream's End. Did you did you read Dream's End? No, I don't believe so. Okay, now Dream's End is Wait, actually is, what? What's okay? You you tell me what story is Dream's End? Maybe I have read that. That was where Mora dies. Uh, that was oh, her no. death. Um, no, this know. was, I want to say, this was right before. Uh, the uh, Morrison stuff. So this was at the end of the Claremont return. And um, the whole thing was that uh, Senator Kelly is, is killed um, or, or he has a heart and he dies. He's gone. Uh, Senator Kelly, who folks will know from like days of future past and stuff like that. And the cartoon, he was in that. Um, and Mora is, uh, Mora is known She's been working on a cure for the legacy virus. Mm-hmm. Now, the legacy virus was introduced like six years before this. Everybody forgot about it. <laughs> Nobody wanted to address it. In order to make it a thing that people were afraid of, they killed nobodies mostly. I mean, revenge. <laughs> you know. So they it kind of just bubbled away. And occasionally you'd see Beast with a test tube being like, oh, I'm working on that legacy virus oh, thing. And, yes. uh, and, and then we'd have Mora working on it, too. But then she got it, and she was the first human, or so we thought at the time, to get the legacy virus, and she died of it. So she passed away. She never came back until now when we realize, when we find out that it wasn't exactly what we thought it was. And we'll get into that as we get into the bio here. Now, the reveal, the big shoe drop that Mora is not a human 
and is in fact a mutant and is a mutant with some very amazing powers here. What what did that feel like to you to learn? I mean, was that because I know personally for me, I thought when I read, I think it was House of X number two, where you had Moira in the big blossom hat uh, talking to Xavier on the bench <laughs> and he reads her mind. I thought that was a swerve. I thought because they called it, they said the many lives of Mora X instead of Mora Kinross or McTaggart. And I'm like, maybe they're trying to like make us think, like evoke Mora. And this is actually a different character. And it wasn't until like reading further on, it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is who we think it is. You know, right. reading just that issue, it's like, okay, we find out it's Mora Kinross. And okay, it's it's her. Uh, and for me, it was like, it was weird. It was weird. I didn't know exactly what to think about it because uh, it casts such a, a pall on everything we've read before. Mm-hmm. Like, even that issue we talked about here, because the next question I was going to have for you are, are, are there any particular stories involving more that stand out? And we did just talk about one, and we, we had a hell of a good time doing it. Where it was revealed um, when Magneto turned bad again in the end of the first Claremont run, uh, X-Men Volume 2, Number 2, the big reveal that while Magneto was an infant, uh, Mora had kind of, uh, <laughs> she kind of played with him a little bit. Not not in that way, but uh, she uh, she worked on his mind. She made him less likely to become evil. She It's not so much a lobotomy, but it was tampering. And this really got under his skin and it flipped him to back to bed. Love that story, but now we know that that was her, as far as we know, her current life, her 10th life. She's dealt with Magneto in previous lives. In one of them, she even, like, sides with him instead of Xavier. Right. So it's, like, very bizarre. Um, she, I think this, this life is the only one where she marries Joe McTaggart and has Proteus, so that one we don't have to really worry about. So we don't have to worry about like, okay, well, Proteus was in her third life, fourth life, fifth life. It was, I think it was only in her 10th life, but it gets the wheels moving, right? So what were your thoughts uh, that she's got these powers and that she is more than, there is more than meets the eye to her? Well, you know, you had mentioned, uh, like I said, it's for me, it's a bit of a, more is a bit of a blind spot. So when I start, when I read this, I didn't even know she had died because (laughs) the story, but I'm reading it and. I don't know if this is an indictment on Hickman or an mm-hmm. indictment on comics in general. It's probably a little bit of both, but mm-hmm. I read it and I'm like, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, Oh, I didn't even know she was a mutant. I didn't think she was. I didn't know that Maybe <laughs> I something, but you know how it is now with, with sometimes with comics where we're going to tell you this and we'll, we'll tell you the details of it later. So yeah. I, I kind of thought, well, that's kind of weird because I, I, I didn't know that, but maybe I missed something. All right, I'll just go with it. Sure. So as as you read on and you realize, oh, this was her first life, this was her third life, yeah. then it's kind of like, okay, that's definitely not anything that I'm pretty sure is something new to the Maura McTaggart mythos here. Sure. But I'll, I'm down with it. I'm, I'll go mm-hmm. with it. This is interesting enough, a character. I'm you know, maybe as an X-Men purist like yourself, I don't know if some people were like, oh, this is an outrage. How could they do this? But I don't know. I think I think she's kind of in the range of character where you can mess around with her backstory a little sure. bit. I, I don't think really upset too many people. No, maybe no. Wrong, but I think that's the case. 
No, and as a as a purist, I suppose, um, I didn't mind the change. I didn't mind the change so much. But anybody who listened to the first twelve episodes of this show know <laughs> that I uh, know that I had a uh, wild hair about how much of my X Men still exists because right. I was I was so wrapped around the axle about like, well, if she dies and things reset, then then what happened and what didn't. And I wasn't reading spoilers. I wasn't reading ahead. I hadn't read anything from Dawn of X. It was just like I wanted to experience it as I would be experiencing it, which put me at a disadvantage because I was doing it with no cohort, you know, because mm-hmm. like when people were reading it as they were coming out, it's like, oh, there's all people talking about this stuff. And there's theories and ideas and concepts just in the air. But I'm reading it a year and a half later, and it's like, Nobody's reading it with me, so I don't have a cohort to be like, Chris, calm down. Everything matters. Calm down. Right, right. So I'm just like, what's here? Did Mutant X happen? I mean, what, what happened here? I don't, I don't yeah, that know. That was everybody's first thought. Oh, I hope Mutant X is better than that. Howard Mackey, come on. But uh, I didn't know, and that's where I was really kind of disturbed because it was just like – I know there's a lot of inconvenient stuff. I know that X-Men history is convoluted to the point where it's obtrusive. You know, you can't get into it. It's hard to get into it. Oh, and absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly. Certainly. And this is before I dug back in and read things like Extermination, where the original five time-displaced kids were sent back. So I'm thinking, like, was that just wiped out? You know, did that happen? Um are the characters de-aged? What, what's going on? I, right. I haven't read any of the stuff that would tell me what was what. So I'm sure the people who were listening, and I did get a lot of mail being like, dude, calm down. And, uh, <laughs> Fuck you off the ledge a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> everything matters. Everything matters. So that was my fear. It wasn't the fact that they changed Mora because, as you said, there is a lot of malleability in her story, especially in the way they're telling it here because – this is a secret to everybody. We don't need to know this until we need to know it. So I'm totally cool with getting this this bit of mythos and lore added to Mora's backstory here. No problem with it. I think it was very creatively done. And um, I don't know exactly where it's headed. Um, this whole post-human thing is kind of backburnered. I don't know how long the Hickman run is going to last. Um, I've heard... Four years. I've heard three years. I've heard four more years. I don't wow. know if that was just someone voting, you know, or going to an <laughs> election. You know, four more years. I don't know, but uh, it's an awful long time to let something like this bubble. And uh, and then it's like we're investing all this time in this. And then if at San Diego Comic Con 2024, Jonathan Hickman announces that he is DC Comics exclusive, sure. Joe Casada will be like, well, screw his run. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that never happened, <laughs> except for the stuff we want, like Zorn. I mean, wait, no. Um, <laughs> that uh, that's you know, that's always a worry with comics. But uh, as a change, I think it was a value-added one. But um, let's get into it. Let's get into it here. This is going to be dry, like all of these are. Um, now, Maura Kinross, she suffered an odd, sudden illness when she was 13 years old, but it would pass. No one was aware of the fact that this was actually the manifestation of her mutant ability, which wouldn't come to uh, you know, show what it is until far later. She grew up, became a school teacher, she got married, she had children, and she passed away at the age of 74. 
But then her mutant power revealed itself because she had the ability to be reborn. And uh, this was, again, this was all revealed, I think, House of X number two. And it was done really well for such a uh, for such a weird. And I mean, it's not it's not a linear story, but it's told in a linear fashion, because even though this is very, very confusing and it's a lot of information to just be given, it made sense. You know, it kind of worked the way it was written was just like, yeah, this is it. This is this is where we're going. So from here, we got Mora 2. Now, the thing here is she was born with all the memories of her first life intact, which is the second part of her mutation here. Not only can she be reborn, but she retains everything. So she knows everything that's going to happen. And she would keep this close to the vest, though, uh, so she wouldn't really advertise this. Her parents just assumed she was a prodigy, which I guess would make sense. Um <laughs> She'd be enrolled at the Edinburgh Academy at eight years old, and at 15, she would meet Kenneth. Now, Kenneth was the man she married in her first life. She decided, eh, eh not for me again, so she passes this time. She studies biology and psychology and mostly experimented on herself to make sure the memories that she has weren't a form of psychosis. Now, she would found the Muir Island Research Institute, and from here, we jump right into the Grant Morrison run where Charles Xavier reveals himself as being a mutant. And uh, Maura had met Charles. They met at Oxford, and she uh, remembered him. And she realized that, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm a mutant, too. And so, like a, like that Alanis Morissette song, she boards a plane to America, and it crashes. And <laughs> uh, she was 44 years old here. Um, And it's funny, because uh, this is one of the lives here that I had questions about, because Maura dies. She dies early. Uh, she doesn't meet Xavier. Does post-humanity happen in this life? Does Nimrod come to power in this life? We don't know. Right. You know, um, we have an idea of everything that happens from this point. Actually, not even not even yet. But uh, we will soon know what the end game or the feared end game is. But here we don't know. We don't know. Were there X-Men in her second life? Maybe not. What happened? Where's Wolverine? I'm, I, what where what books was he guest starring in in this life? <laughs> You know, he has to. Um, Mora's third life is particularly interesting here. She still studied at Oxford and she would seek out Xavier early because she remembered him from her second life. But when she met him, she didn't care for him one bit because, as Kitty Pride says, Professor X is a jerk. And so uh, she would begin to view mutantum as something she maybe should try and cure. And she would discover this cure at 42 years old. But before she was able to publish her findings, she was attacked by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Now, Destiny told her that if a cure were to get out, the world governments would just use them to wipe mutants out completely. Which I don't think is making the argument she thinks it is, considering Mora is looking to cure the affliction to begin with. It's like it's like they'll they'll wipe us all out. And she's she wouldn't she be like, great. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. That's what kind of she was kind of what she was getting at in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. Now Destiny is a character that uh we don't we haven't seen post Hoxpox because of reasons that are actually very, very important. Now, Destiny warns Mora not to pursue the cure in her next life. She knows everything about her. She knows Mora's power, that she can be reborn, and that she does retain her memories. So stands to reason that 
from her third life on, Mora knows how to cure a mutant, mm-hmm. which is something I don't think anybody's wow. really talked about. Yeah, you know what? That's not anything. I hadn't even really given that a thought. But yeah, you're you're right. She's known yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah, so she's had many lives where she's been able to cure the disease of mutantdom, which, I mean, in her 10th life, she has a son, Proteus, who uh, might have needed it. But uh, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> now, this tells us that Destiny, she knows everything about uncanny Mora's lives here. And uh, so she threatens to kill Mora before her powers manifest her next life. You know, it's like, hey, you're going to know this as a child. You're going to know how to cure mutantdom. And if I have even the slightest inclination that you're going to do it, I'll kill you before your powers manifest and you're done. And uh, she finally informs Mora that she has 10 to 11 lives left to live or 10 to 11 lives to live total. And then Pyro burns her to death here. I love this because we know she's in her 10th life now. And Destiny, it's kind of like aloof the way she says this. She's like, you've got 10, maybe 11. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not even like a hard – because for all we know, she's going with her. Mm-hmm. For all we know, Mora has infinite lives. Right, right. You know, and so here we are in her 10th life where Mora's got this concern. Like, this is my last chance, maybe. You know, uh, if Destiny wasn't screwing with me. Uh, and, and, but she did leave that 11 in there. She said 11, so maybe Mora can take a risk, you know, and like, you know, bet it all on red and be like, okay, maybe I have an 11th life. Right, right. There and could be out, more. There could only be more. to find out that she that she doesn't or that she does. It's uh, very, very cool. What were your thoughts on this Destiny scene? Because the Destiny scene really informs a lot of what we're going to get into vis-a-vis the the no-nos of the resurrection protocols. Right. Uh, just very, like, like you said, just kind of eye-opening, like, wow, this is, this is kind of a, it's definitely a game changer, you know, as far as uh, just what we're dealing with here. And we've got more lives to go, but let's, let's see what she makes of it. Mm-hmm. Now we, you and I haven't talked about the resurrection protocols here. And uh, that's another big shoe drop moment here. Um, in I think it was House of X number five, that's when it was revealed that the gold balls were a thing. You know, we could <laughs> resurrect, and uh, the the reason that Xavier is wearing that stupid hat is because he's got all the data up there that he can just download into these husks that are grown in the gold balls, and basically they beat death. When this was revealed, what were your thoughts on that? It was definitely. I think my stance is has softened on it after time, but initially you just think, what, what is this? I'm, I'm not a fan of this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Until you start <clears throat> the further on that you read, <clears throat> excuse me. And you realize that this really brings up a lot of different uh, story beats that you can hit on tons of story beats. You can sure. hit on, that you can hit on that really opens up a lot of different new avenues and different storytelling, which I think they've only, as as far as things have gone thus far into his run, have only hit the tip of the iceberg on as far yeah. as, you know, we're, we're starting to get there, you know, with uh, different issues of like X Factor and here and there you're seeing hints of things. Uh, but uh, I think there's a lot more story to be told there. No, I, I really like it now. I really like it. I think it's Absolutely. a really interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. And, and- just 
you know, uh, you know, you've spoken to it before, how it just, that's eh, no big deal. Just with the crucible, that's eh, no big deal. Just mm-hmm. off me. And, uh, you know, when I come back, I'll be, I'll be perfect again. And exactly. It's just, it's, it's an alarming story beat to read, but it's an intriguing story beat. Yeah. And they're finally starting to address some of those things now. So it's, it's been a long time coming, but, uh, it's, it's satisfying. Very, very satisfying that we're not the only ones wondering, like, why are they acting this way? Why oh. why are they applauding? Right. <laughs> it's murder. It's uh, jarring, it's jarring it to read that and go, what, what is this? You know, these yeah. people don't act this way. And this still happens at times uh, with a lot of different stories. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think this might, I mean, as, as big as a story uh, in total that the Hox Pox, you know, Doc Socks, Rock, everything is. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's going to be very satisfying to go back and reread it. eventually, you know, if you have the time to read all 500 issues or whatever it'll be by the end of it, to go back and pick out some of the story beats and things and see what yeah. mattered and where, where the, you know, the breadcrumbs were dropped along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, from here, we go to Mora's fourth life here. Uh, in this life, she met Xavier and saw past his jerkiness. <laughs> and uh, they, they found that they shared a dream of human and mutant harmony, and they would marry when she was 23 years old. Twelve years later, they'd open the Xavier School and form the X-Men, and Mora would die at 55 during a sentinel attack. So uh, maybe a sign that the machines were coming, maybe just a sentinel attack. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who knows? <laughs> Uh, Mora's fifth life, she was a young runaway. She left home to pursue Xavier when she was just 13 years old. Then Xavier reads her mind, learns that they have their shared dream back in her previous life, and learns that it was a failure. And so they become radicalized, and they create a mutant nation, not Krakoa, but far away. Uh, Now, 19 years later, humans would use sentinels in order to declare war on the mutants, and Mora was left comatose in a battle, but was killed during a genocidal attack one year later. She was 44. So, more machines... That is an interesting story beat to to think of that they've already attempted this once that they mm-hmm. she's already given this a go this is something she's tried before and you know you'll get into it a little bit later on mm-hmm. but we don't what are her thoughts on Krakoa what how does she feel about things we don't we don't really know that yeah 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 but we do like you said we know that uh, she has she's learning le- these are all lessons learned right it's like mm-hmm. okay well we tried this but what element was missing. Well, it was just her and Xavier, but maybe if there were other people involved. Right. Maybe we'll keep that in the back of our mind here. So Mora's sixth life is interesting because it was the final one to be revealed to us. Uh, during Hoxpox, this was the line that was left off, you know, and people wondered, what is the sixth life? Why don't we know anything about it? And what we came to find out was the X cubed timeline, X to the year 1000 or whatever, that was her sixth life. The one that I complained about the entire time I read it because it bored me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> it reminded me of like a Legion of Superheroes story. <laughs> I just didn't care about it. But um, in this one, Mora was able to deduce the threat of artificial intelligence. And uh, she became curious about what this end game might look like. And so she would live for 1,000 years due to regular blood transfusions from Wolverine. Now, she learned that humans only use sentinels as sort of like a distraction or a time fill in order to keep the mutants busy, right? Because uh, they didn't want them reaching their evolutionary ascension. 
Now, during this time, humanity would use a mixture of biology and technology in order to evolve themselves. So we're into the realm of the post-human, the Homo novissima, Homo novissima, however you say that. Now, after finding all this stuff out in, you know, a thousand years in the future, after the phalanx were going to come and just turn the world into a one mind and uh, things were going to ascend and really, really bore the hell out of us, Mora um, found this out and she had Wolverine kill her so she could start over with her new knowledge. So this one, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where... I can appreciate the destination, but the journey sucked. Um, yeah, I agree. Because they, this one was drawn out over the course of like 11 issues. Right. And the thing of it was, is that uh, Hoxpox without this year 1000 stuff was such a strong story. Yes. So, like you'd get into it. You'd get into all the stuff, even the even the stuff where the big sword cut uh, Okara in half and we had the two islands of Krakoa and Arako and Apocalypse shoved one in a hole in time. And even that stuff, it was like, OK, this is information. This is cool stuff. This is great. Going up to the Orcus Forge. OK, that's cool. They die on the Orcus Forge. Well, what the hell happens next? They come back. Apocalypse comes through and shakes hands with Xavier. What? You know, all <laughs> this amazing, the party at the end, and I, I swear, the party at the end in, in House of X number six almost brought a tear to my eye, seeing these characters together again, because the X-Men haven't been the X-Men to me in ages. Sure. It feels like they were just shoved under the rug. We want the Inhumans, not the X-Men, because we can make movies about the Inhumans and not the X-Men. So <laughs> the X-Men were just gone. Nobody cared about them. Half-hearted attempts were made. Reboots were done over and over and over again. But here it's like we've got like Cyclops and Wolverine having a beer. We have Havoc coming up and like hugging his brother. It's like, God, this is the X-Men. It's a totally different context, but this is the X-Men. So the, the Hoxpox story was so great. And then it would be like, oh, by the way, here's year 1000 again. It's like, yes. no, no. And then you're counting pages and it's like, no, the rest yeah. of the issue is year 1000. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I read Hoxbox on a, I read it on Marvel Unlimited. Mm. And so it's on a weekly schedule. So one week you'd get, you know, you get house and you go, yeah. well, which one's coming out next? Oh, Powers. all right. And I'll power through this. I think part of it is, and maybe it's, maybe it's just you. Maybe it's just mm. me. Future stories don't generally interest me very much. No. Too many of them. <laughs> and kind of saying what I was saying earlier, I, I think even part of, you know, today's comic climate and Hickman is that uh, stories aren't always the, they want you to figure things out. OK, mm. and I'm OK with that. But sometimes when you you add in the future and you add in, you're kind of kept in the dark. You're kept guessing on things. Sure. Uh, to a degree, though. But if it you know, if you're if you kept in the dark to a degree with a story like this. You just start to lose interest. But with the future stuff, mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on. I feel lost. What? I don't care about this. Yeah. So to me, that was also a, you know, that would, I, I would cringe every time it was, that was a power of X, right? This was the that power was, Yeah, that was mostly in powers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I will say, um, thinking back, you know, it's been a while since I've read it, but when they introduced the phalanx, 
as much as I don't like the phalanx, I was kind of impressed because I'm like, okay, that's kind of a deep cut. Oh, yep. <laughs> I like that. All right. All right. That's a bit of a deep cut. It digs from the history. Yeah. They suck, but all right. You got me. You got me interested here just because I want to see what's going with this. It's a pretty deep cut. Sometimes it's the devil you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. We jump from here into Maura's seventh life, and this time out, she would join the British Armed Forces when she was 16, and, you know, machines are bad. Machines are coming after mutants, so who's behind the machines? The Trasks. She goes after the Trasks, the creators of the Sentinels, in order to assassinate them before they can do the thing. This doesn't work, because she happens across a Master Mold facility after killing them, and uh, learned that AI was something discovered and not invented. Which, I don't know if that means that, um, like, the AI, where did it come from if it wasn't invented? I don't know if we've gotten those answers yet. I don't know if we will. But all we saw was Mora infiltrating this facility and a master mold. And she's like, oh, crap. And then she's killed. So the machines were coming even without the Trasks to nudge them along here. And uh, Mora dies by another sentinel. So <laughs> it's weird, though, because like the, the the verb, the wording they use in this handbook here is AI was discovered and not invented. So does that mean that the Trasks discovered the master mold? If they discovered it, where did it come from? That it's uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to kind of wrap my mind around that, too. And I think it's something like maybe like Ultron. So <laughs> Ultron, the that AI is there, but it just took Tony, or not Tony Stark, those are from the movies. It took Pym, Henry Pym, to just happen upon it, to create them. I, I mm -hmm. suppose that's the same situation we're looking at Probably. here. It's there, it was in the, what, the ether, I suppose? Is, is yeah. that what you're getting at with this? I think, so. I think so. <laughs> right. Could be. Could very well be. Now this takes us to Moore's eighth life. Now here, she would join up with Magneto instead of Xavier. As Xavier, teaming with him, it didn't work. It never worked. So let's try the other guy. And Magneto uh, really didn't seem to have much interest in stopping post-humanity or the machines. Instead, he just conquers America <laughs> and establishes the House of M. It's like, uh, it's like, nah, I'm going to be a bad guy. Screw it. Um, Earth's heroes would rally, and they would eventually take Magneto down. I suppose we can assume Avengers Fantastic Four, folks like that. Uh, Mora would be imprisoned because she was a, at his side, and she would die during an escape attempt at the age of 38. So here, I mean, this isn't much of a story, but it is, it's subtle, right? I mean, she teamed with Xavier, didn't work. She teamed with Xavier again, didn't work. Okay, well, who's, who's Xavier's exact opposite? Who's the other side of his coin? Magneto. Screw it. I'm going with Magneto. But Magneto doesn't have the Xavier influence, right? So he's not going to look for any sort of peaceful coexistence between anybody and anything. Right. He wants power. So he's got her. We don't know if he knows what she knows is the thing. We don't know if she went to Magneto and said, hey, this is my eighth life. This is everything I know. Great. We point. don't know that. So she could have. And if so, Magneto knows everything he needs to do in order to, to stage a coup and take over a country. And so he does. Rather than spend time worrying about his kind or the future, it's like, no, I want power right now. And that was his undoing. So here we have another piece of the puzzle. 
We tried Xavier, didn't work. We're trying Magneto, it didn't work. What about if we try them both, or what if we try someone else altogether? And uh, that's going to bring us into her ninth life, where when she was 18 years old, she woke Apocalypse. So, uh, <laughs> and Apocalypse would go on to kill Xavier and Magneto. So the world doesn't go the way she wants it with Xavier or Magneto, so let's take them both out. And we'll go with Apocalypse, the guy who's all about survival of the fittest. She's thinking about survival. So who better, right? Now, they would rescue his first horseman and form the X-Men themselves. Apocalypse would enslave Mr. Sinister. And after this, the Apocalypse War begins, which pits mutants against machines. All of Earth's heroes are killed. And so the mutants fled and took control of Asia. Uh, the Sentinels would beget Nimrod and destroy the mutant homelands, which send them fleeing to Krakoa. Now, Sinister would uh, leave. He'd go to Mars in order to clone mutants here. And he would create the Chimeras, which is a pretty cool concept here that we saw in the X-Men 100 timeline in uh, Hox Pox, which was in the future, but wasn't as bad as the 1000 stuff. Uh, <laughs> I was able to wrap my head around that stuff here because it was just it was just a cool concept. Now, Krakoa would fall, and mutant kind leaves Earth completely and goes to one of the most boring places ever, ever created, the Shi'ar. You know, they go into Shi'ar space. Oh. It's it, at least <laughs> at least it's not the Savage Land or Otherworld. Uh, it's not Madripoor, so go. Um, now, Moru would be gravely injured at 107 years old, and she was put into stasis. And then the X-Men uh, squared of the, you know, year, 100 years later... They would acquire Nimrod's origin files, knowing when he came online, and they would deliver that information to Mora. They would awaken her and give her the knowledge to take with her into her next and potentially final life. And stop me if you heard this one before, Wolverine kills her again. So uh, there's that. That brings us to now, or now-ish, right? The current life. So she's learned a lot, right? She has learned lifetimes, literally lifetimes worth of experiences here. I don't know how she hasn't gone insane. I, I think I would. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would yeah. totally lose my mind. But the current life here, we don't know. They don't really talk about it a lot here because, as we mentioned here, she was kind of just a side character. She had some cool bits here. Uh, she was part of the Muir Island saga. I think she was a host for the Shadow King. Maybe she was a host for the Shadow King. I know she used, she dressed really slinkily in that um, <laughs> and looked uh, kind of hard, you know. But uh she, in the current life, marries Joe McTaggart for the first time. So she gives birth to Proteus. Uh, and this is the first time that this happens. So not something she was looking to rectify from the past. Not something she might be able to rectify in the future. If she were to die, we don't know if she has an 11th life, and neither does she. Mm -hmm. Now, she pretends to be a human ally to the X-Men, of course, and she would fake her own death, posing as the only human to contract and die of the legacy virus. We find out that this was pulled off using a Shi'ar golem in her place. And all the while, she was working with Xavier and Magneto in putting together this Krakoan homeland. And uh, that brings us to, well, here, where we are. So those are the ten lives of Amor McTaggart here. How do you feel after uh, reading all this stuff here? What did, what did we learn that we may not have known we knew? Well, one thing I, I will tell you, just I'm not sure if you're going into this, but reading, you know, reading her stats, the, you know, the old official Marvel handbook uh, thing. One thing, one takeaway I had 
was that her intelligence was only a five. Her fighting was like a four. <laughs> How could her intelligence be a five out of seven? She's lived, what are we talking here, about 1,400 years? Yes. I, I'd go seven out of seven out of that. <laughs> Unless she's, you know, working at Arby's or something like that. I would, it seems like she's been, had a pretty, uh, you know, eventful uh, 10 lifetimes. So, yeah, and like 15 that, that PhDs and, a doctor and doctorates. Yeah, she's, she's kind of smart. But I did notice that her fighting skill was really high on that. Yes, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> But I will say, as far yeah. as her, uh, you know, her faking her death when working with Xavier, I did uh, kind of roll my eyes at the thought of a Shi'ar golem. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, okay, Shi'ar, not great. Golem, not any better. You know, I kind of <laughs> roll my eyes at that. I will, uh, if uh, in regards to the entry here, um, apparently after her death, there were a couple of post-death appearances in a like a Doctor Strange a series or a miniseries or something. And they they were pretty quick to poo poo that. Say, oh no, that didn't yeah. that didn't really happen. Yeah, those those, those were a fever it. dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Banshee had to. Uh, he he turned back to the drink uh, after that after she passed too, which was unnecessary. But uh, you know when you play the long game, you got to play it all the way. So you can't you can't <laughs> say, oh by the way, Sean, I'm not really dead, but you'll never see me again. I'm gonna be hiding under an island. Don't worry, but, uh, it'll die. You're gonna get sucked into a uh, into a jet engine during Deadly Genesis. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Then you're gonna come back as a horseman. So, oh boy. But uh, I I I've given this handbook a lot of guff in in some of these segments that we've uh, been producing here because well for I mean here this is an easy one because everything happens in Hoxbox. Outside of the current life stuff, which, I mean, even some of that is covered in Hoxpox. So you don't need footnotes. Um, Something I've been complaining about is that there are no footnotes in a lot of these. But here we get to sidestep that completely because everything happened here. So we're good. Now, that said, this is a good uh, compilation of Morva's lives here. Um, it's even easier to read than House of X number two was. It's very, yeah. very linearly told, despite not being linear in the slightest. I guess they do all happen in in succession, but I mean, years are everywhere here, right? Because she lives the same years over and over again. So it's the years are just crazy. So that being said, if you were a Say you haven't read X-Men books, say you were X-Lapsed, and um, you heard some buzz about this Hickman run, and you heard that there's this fabulous story called X of Swords or X of Tens or the Festival of Blades or whatever the hell we're calling it. It's going to take 22 issues to tell, but there's a buzz around it, so you want to check it out, and so you jump in and you grab this handbook to try to get on the ground floor of this story here. Now, we've already mentioned that Moore is not in X of Swords, but she is vital to everything that came before it in getting us to X of Swords. She's the reason Apocalypse is there, right? She's mm-hmm. the reason the bad guys are there. She's the reason that this Krakoan society exists the way it is. And, I mean, that all bleeds into Arako and the contest. So, all that being said... Had you read this in its entirety, the entire uh, X of Swords handbook here, would you have felt confident in uh, jumping into the X of Swords event? 
As far as this entry goes, yes. No. It's <laughs> a great primer. This is a good one. Yes. This is a good okay, one. you have really set me up. I was X Labs, Chris. I hadn't, I, you know, I've had jumping on points, jumping off points over the years. I probably hadn't read any X books since 2014, 15, okay. you know, jump out, jump back in, you know, for a year or two here and there. So I was like slaps, much like yourself. Mm-hmm. And like I say, as far as a primer up to Exosaurus, uh, uh, yes, I think this is a good lead into that. Now, mm-hmm. when you, if you were to pick up Exosaurus, no. You have no <laughs> idea. You're, uh, what is that? I read Exosaurus. I read everything. I don't know half of what was going on. As you've mentioned in many of your reviews, it's, I feel like I missed an issue here. Especially if you're reading Excalibur, you're like, what is going on? I don't know what's going on. You know what? I Every time I'd read it on Marvel Unlimited, I would think, I'm glad I didn't, no offense, because I know you did. I'd say, I'm glad I didn't pay $3.99 for this. Power through and hopefully get to something, uh, like get to the next issue of Cable or something. That's yeah. a little <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, where do we go from here is the thing. I mean, we I'm trying to remember here how many times we've seen Mora since Hoxpox. And I think it's only been once and I can't remember which issue it was. And it was only like a panel. Right. It was only like very a single early panel. I think it was and it was like yeah. a throwaway sort of thing. It, it might have been because I know we did see it during the Mystique issue, right? I'm pretty sure we saw it during the Mystique issue of X-Men where they were talking about why Destiny can't come back. And uh, right. that's that's important. And uh, I really like I, – I love that element of this here where they just got Mystique kind of on a leash here. It's like, yeah, we'll do it eventually. Yeah, just keep doing our bidding and we'll, we'll get there. We promise. Mm-hmm. That's we promise. really neat. Would we lie to you? Come on. And uh, they don't know that Mystique has Destiny's Diaries. So, uh, and and Destiny was very, very clear in that she knew Krakoa was going to happen. She knew everything was going to happen. And uh, we don't know if Mystique knows if Mora is still alive, is the thing. But she was instructed to uh, burn the place down if uh, they don't let her bring Destiny back. So, it's interesting. It's very interesting stuff. So, we did see Mora there, I think. But in, like, present day... I think we only saw her in like a single panel. So it's weird. It's weird here. And I wonder, I mean, we talk about current year comics here and we talk about inflating stories. And this is almost like meta level decompression here. This isn't stretching a story out to six issues to fill a trade. This is like just killing time. You right. know, it's like, right. when are we going to get to this? I don't know. Okay, well. <laughs> This is such a dense, multi-year, just dense story that it's really easy, you know, it's really easy to forget about things. Sure. You know, it's been almost, I think, I think I started reading this right around when you did last, uh, last fall. And to go back and to have all of Moira, (laughs) (laughs) to see all of Moira's 10 lives spelled out in front of you just like that. Now I've spent a lot of time, a lot less time with this as uh, less time than you have because mm-hmm. you've been doing the shows and stuff, but to have it all spilled back out for you again was very, I loved it. I really liked yeah. it like this because it, 
it did tell me, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it spelled a lot of that, the destiny uh, situation that you were just mentioning. So um, I, I guess what I was just saying, it's such a dense story that it is really hard to kind of wrap your mind around all the angles yeah. and everything that's going on all at once. And, you know, by by the sound of things, we we might only be a, a quarter of the way through this. Who knows? It's true. Who knows how far through this we are. I guess it's, it's however long he decides to stick around. That's true. And how I don't how want sales him to pull a Bendis on us and leave oh. us hanging with a bunch of rotten stories that we didn't ask for. <laughs> All right, don't get me started on that. <laughs> we could be here. For, I mean, oh boy, he he did the X Men for a while too, old Bendis, and that was a. Uh... That was something else, wasn't it? <laughs> that, that took years to undo and, and get us back to some sort of a semblance of normalcy, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm thinking about this entire um, this entire handbook here as someone who is reading everything. And like you mentioned, I'm doing the show, so I'm spending like five five hours with every one of these issues, which is way too long, way too long and very unhealthy. Um, <laughs> and familiarity breeds contempt and all that good stuff. But uh, in like you just said here, having this spelled out for us, in following this every single day for you know the better part of a year now, there were a lot of things that I forgot about, mm-hmm. you know. And having this all spelled out here was just like, okay, wow. And you know, even just in reading this right here, you put the pieces back together. It's like, well, I hadn't thought about the fact that Mora knows how to cure mutant until right now. Right, you right. Know, it's like that didn't trigger in my head. It's like, wow, that's something we can play with. That's something that could be investigated. That's something that uh, that's some of that food for thought that we can bat around. So I think for a reader of the X books, this is, yes, a cash in. Of course, it's a five dollar book. You know, they 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 know you're putting your order in online or you're just going to pick up everything with Exoswords in the uh, on the branding. You're going to do that because that's what you do. And you don't want to be left out. But for a new reader, I really don't know what they'd get from this. Um, I mean, this was a, the Mora entry is great because it really spells out everything you need to know about the character. But she's not an ex of swords. Right. <laughs> and uh, and it's I don't know, as a as a refreshing tool for like us, it's like, OK, this was cool. But other than that, I, I don't know that you really need this in your life. <laughs> right. Because, it I mean, it's wiki. It's a Wikipedia entry. It's just you get to hold it in your hands and uh, and put it in a box. So. <laughs> but I think that's all we got to say about Mora, unless you got anything else. No, I, I guess on a final note, I will tell you, uh, what was it? Uh, Legion's Quest? Was that, was that the story from uh, the night? That was right before Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. For whatever reason, I thought until like today, I must have misread it when I was a teenager. I thought Mora was not Proteus's mom. I thought he was I thought it was she was Legion's mom. There there are X-Men writers who get that wrong. <laughs> okay, so I feel better. Yeah, don't feel bad. Yeah, because uh yeah, because Legion's mom is Gabrielle Haller. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people, even writers have mentioned Mora being Legion's mother. So Yeah, I thought that for years, till today. I thought <laughs> years and was like, yeah, when are they going to start talking about Legion? What, what's his deal? I don't want to read about him, but are they going to throw him <laughs> in? Like, oh, that's not his mother. Oh, okay, well, that makes, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yep, that's all Gabby Haller, who uh, in, in Legion Quest, uh, Legion might have uh, 
had sex with. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. boy, I, boy, I better break out the long boxes, huh? <laughs> yes. Uh, and Reggie and I actually talked about that in our uh, 100th episode of the Cosmic Treadmill, where we introduced the concept of Age of Apocalypse. So, yeah. yep. so if, if you want to hear about uh, hauler incest, it's it's all right there. So. I don't. I like you guys. I'll listen. But I, Very I like cool. you guys tell the story. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, do you want to tell folks where they can find you? Anywhere on uh, Impreetnet? Follow me. Oh, I'm sorry. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, RegalFan for uh, uh, I like to post uh, DC Comics birthdays. <laughs> Today's elongated man's birthday. Happy birthday, Ralph Dibney. Ralph Dibney. Many, many more. <laughs> Well, I think that's where we'll wrap up this segment. I want to thank you so much for being part of the 200th episode of X-Lapsed here. It's, uh, I didn't think this would go two episodes, much less 200. So thank you so much for being a part of the journey uh, along the way here and joining me on the program today. Absolutely. Really, really means a lot. <laughs> Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having us, and uh, congratulations. We're, we're happy for you. We're proud of you, and uh, I know me and the other listeners, uh, we look forward to it on a daily basis. So thank you for uh hanging in there through through good and some really bad <laughs> through excalibur and otherwise yes <laughs> thank you fallen angels. So, oh we don't talk about fallen angels uh <laughs> thanks so much thanks cool all righty episode 200 rolls on and now we're still in that uh, that exosoids handbook here and we are digging into magic and uh, with me is uh, my moratorian questerday's brother, uh, Chris Bailey. How you doing today, Chris? It's just like magic. It's like magic, I tell you. It's magic <laughs> that I'm here on yes. X-Labs, or, or one version of it. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, this, this was an episode I was uh, thinking was going to be like maybe an hour and a half, two hours long. And, uh, well, we might get into the double digits here, it seems. It's a... Uh, it's a much a uh, beefier uh, conversation here than I was expecting. I thought this relatively dry uh, handbook material was just going to fly by, but uh, we're finding so many other things to talk about. So uh, first, so, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you asked me which character I'd like to cover. So my my instant thought was, yes, hot chick with the sword. <laughs> there you go. That's about as deep as that went. <laughs> there you go. Now, <laughs> magic. When did you first encounter? The character magic. Well, believe it or not, it was it was actually this miniseries we're going to be talking about. So, you know, Storm and Ileana uh, magic, literally the four issue miniseries back in the 80s was literally my first, uh, you know, I, I know she appeared in, in issues before that, but that was sure. my first encountering with her. Now, of course, it was New Mutants when I got to know her as, you know, chick with the sword. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that that's when she became important before she was just, you know, the little girl who was getting abducted every five minutes. That, that's what it seemed like. And yeah. uh, and I'm happy you mentioned the new mutants here, because when we do get into the bio, it seems like they skipped the entirety of her new mutant, her initial new mutant stay. It's like we go from limbo to dark child to death. And it's like, <laughs> it's like they were like over a hundred issues in the middle of that where uh, maybe we should have uh, mentioned a thing or two. And it's, it, it's funny because anytime like there is a recent new mutants movie, right? Yes. And it's like, if you're going to make she, a new, she's central. Okay. Oh, I, she's, would I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. So it's like, if you're going to make a new mutants movie, it's like, think about all of the 
the uh, seminal New Mutant stories, and it's like, well, there's the Demon Bear, and well, that's about it. <laughs> so, and that's that's probably why she was left off the entire New Mutants, uh, you know, storyline. Maybe that's yeah. why that that entire thing is literally rejected. Because you know, when people think of New Mutants. Uh, a lot of folks and, you know, our 90s uh, readers especially default right to, you know, oh, New Mutants is Cable and, X-Force. you know, Domino yeah. and X-Force. Yeah, you know what I mean? But, of course, it wasn't. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. There was a lot more to it, uh, good, bad, and ugly. So, uh, yes. and, and, you know, before we get into the magic of this here, you are uh, unique in that – you willingly read Hoxbox, right? I did. And you enjoyed Hoxbox for the most part, but you noped out right after it. How about you yes, tell sir. us why you uh, went running for the hills upon reading the uh, the first issues of the Dawn of X run? So Hoxbox, I mean, started out a compl- almost like a complete reboot. So, I mean, you know, you got a reimagining of a universe, a new alignment. It was your, you know, almost like your your crisis point. Basically for the X-Men. Great jumping on point, or so I thought. Mm -hmm. So what happened afterwards, it seemed like there was a million X titles. And I I felt (laughs) like I couldn't keep up with them. And not only that, and I tried. So the first couple months right after, maybe even three months, Mm. I, I started in. And I was expecting a direct continuation of Hoxpox and all the stuff that was happening in there. And, you know, all the, you know, the resurrections and, you know, the implications of all that. And we almost didn't get any of it. It was yeah. like, you know, they were they were just, you know, Excalibur was doing their thing. And, you know, he had the X-Men who were 90% who weren't even X-Men that I even recognized mm-hmm. were doing their own thing. And I was like, I don't know. This seems like a lot of work for, you know, a story that I don't want to read. But I'm telling you right now, Hoxpox was a story I wanted to read. And I was engulfed and it just literally dissipated. My, my interest died. It's I was true. overwhelmed by content. That's, that's what it was. <laughs> it's true because I wouldn't early on in the series here. I mean, um, the first 12 episodes were Hoxpox on this program. And as I was getting to like the like the, the second and third thirds of this, like the second and third uh, I guess acts of Hoxpox. People would be writing in, and they're like, "Loved Hoxpox, hated everything after it." And um, and at that point, I was like, "Well, I'm only doing a 12 part show anyway. You know, <laughs> I'm not doing all that rest of that stuff. So uh, all I have to do is Hoxpox." Then I got the wild hair to you know continue past it. But people were telling me, "Hey, you know, don't don't set your expectations up too high based on this because this is the story that." that you want to read. This is the story that sets the table. This is everything that you want. What comes next is not. And, um, you know, I enjoyed some of the stuff that came next. I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that came next. I mean, I'm still doing it 200 yeah. issues on. So there's a lot that I enjoy, the characters I enjoy. Um, but there is a lot of uh, just water treading here. Uh, you talked about that initial Dawn of X launch there. I mean, Excalibur hanging out in Otherworld. They're still hanging out in Otherworld two years later. I just don't uh, want Otherworld. I don't know no, about you, but I just no don't want that. <laughs> I just is, – is it so hard to have a single group of X-Men that literally mm-hmm. stay together and, you know, you get to know each char- – like a team. What happened sure. to team books? Like now we, we can't even get a team book where you see all the characters in one issue. No, hell no. Now no, you have like – a Cyclops story, which just goes on forever, and then it gets into political stuff, and all you see literally no team action. And again, we're writing for the trade, and we, mm-hmm. we can have that conversation over and over ad nauseum, but it's never going to change because that's how we make money today in comic books sure. with the trade. 
but <laughs> there's just not enough team action in a team book. And not only that, we don't even know what the team is half the time. Yeah, because uh, it, it came out actually during uh, X of Swords that there are no X-Men. And there haven't been any X-Men since Hawksbox. So well, we why? are. Why, Chris? Why? Because <laughs> uh, the X-Men book has just been basically vignettes. It's been X-Men Unlimited. Just these one-off stories that kind of add to the tapestry, but kind of sort of don't. Or they, they're ideas, they're concepts that just don't get fleshed out until the point where we've forgotten about them or just don't care about them. Um, right. This summer, we do have another X-Men number one. X-Men number one, volume six, and that is where we're going to get our first team of the Krakoan era here. And that's uh, being written, thankfully, by Jerry Duggan and not Jonathan Hickman. But uh, <laughs> all what, the, what does Jerry Duggan have? Tell me what Jerry Duggan has done so I can Jerry feel confident. Duggan, Jerry Duggan has done Marauders, which has been a lot of fun. He's done the Cable series, which we've raved about. We had zero expectations on the show about Cable, and especially because it's kid Cable. Rightly and so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it seemed it's a book that should have never worked, but it's been so much fun and it's unfortunately ending very, very soon. But it was one of those that came out of nowhere and Jerry Duggan was responsible for it. And uh, Marauders has been probably out of the our initial six books here has been the most consistently good book. Um, there have been a few issues that I didn't care for, but overall it's been the, like, if you had to follow one Marauders would be the one that I would tell anyone to follow because it's just been so not traditional that it's almost traditional. It's, it it is that team book. You have a, you have a small little cadre here. You have, you know, uh, call me Kate pride, uh, Iceman, Pyro, Bishop, uh, storm shows up from every once in a while, but it feels like a team book. And, uh, it's something that uh, the first run here was lacking because you had X-Force. We didn't know who was on X-Force until later, you know. X-Men's not a team right. book. Excalibur is kind of a team book, but it was like all mixed up in Otherworld garbage. And Apocalypse was like their mentor. It was very, very That's weird. That's what I mean. It, it was it was Excalibur, but it wasn't any of the team members I wanted. Like, no. I, I think that's my problem. I, you know, I have a very clear vision of who my X-Men are. I have a very sure. clear vision of who X-Force is. Mm-hmm. And it ain't this. No, no. <laughs> so, it's, it's very weird seeing like – like when we when we look at the the cover of X Force number one and Jean Grey is on the team, it's like Jean Grey's on X Force, and then you look at Excalibur and it's like Rogue and Gambit and Jubilee on Excalibur. It's like they it's like they just had like a, a fishbowl full of names and they they picked them out, and it's like oh well Rogue will be in Excalibur now. Well ha, what okay. Ugh. Yeah, so it's like just, and it's just a, imagine just imagine you're a company like Toy Biz and mm-hmm. you know you've been transported into the future and you're going to say, "Okay guys, I need you to make toy lines for X-Force, Excalibur and X-Men. Go." They they <laughs> would tap out after the first figure. Well, how about Cyclops? Well, he's technically part of this, but there's really no X-Men and well Cable, he's sort of and, and it and now he's a kid, and yeah, who yeah, knows? And, no, you can't have the live field cable. Yeah, he's now he's now a kid, and 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 oh my god, it's just. But he's coming yeah. back. The old man <laughs> is coming back. So uh, we don't. Uh, it's one of those things where Marvel announced it and then realized, oops, we announced this, so it kind of ruins 
the uh, the current cable series, but then they're like, wait a minute, nobody's reading it except for the X Labs people anyway, so uh, never mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know what? I'm I'm excited if they get back to a team book, I'll definitely mm-hmm. give it a shot again. So if they're going back yeah. to number one Marvel, you will have my money for the first three issues. But that's that yeah, that is July, so uh, that's coming. Um, and I mean. There have been some really good books in the like second and third waves of yeah. uh, the post Hoxbox run. Hellions is a favorite on the show. We talk about Hellions all the time. It is right. wonderful. Uh, X Factor started off a little bit shaky, but has grown into a really, really fun book. Uh, New Mutants had no direction until X of Swords. After it came back, we actually have a direction now. It's uh, in Way of X. I can't say enough good things about Way of X. Way of X has just been a – or I mean it's, I've only read the first issue, but it, the issue was phenomenal. So. All right. Uh, wildest recommendations for that here. Now, you did read Hoxbox. I did. A lot of changes happened. What were your thoughts upon finding out that everything we thought we knew about Maura McTaggart was wrong? She was a mutant and not a human. Oh, boy. And not only that, how much Moira actually had impact on the X-Universe right on up to today. I mean, it is staggering when you think about it. And not only that, she's the crux to what we see here in the entire Hoxpox series as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the biggest thing that bothered me about the entire book was their method of resurrection. Okay. Okay, the eggs. The gold balls, yes. The gold balls. Why <laughs> are my X-Men being born of gold balls? I, I'm sure it was a, I'm sure someone in creative was, you know, getting a great charge out of this until they realized, wait a second, these X-Men that exist right here right now that we've just created or re re-resurrected came from gold balls. Mm. <laughs> So I, had... I so I tell you what I did like the the Moira storyline especially when they went back and you know discussed her relationship with Charles and sure. you know how they brought it like the the actual setup to this thing is really really well thought out absolutely really really well thought out and I and I think the character you know say what you want her being a human or a mutant or whatever the case might be she's always been an important factor within the series anyway yeah. but um, you know seeing it flesh out like this was I liked it at first. And by mm-hmm. the end of the book, I was sort of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's too much of this Moira, and she's the basis of everything that's ever happened in X-Men. I'm not sure I really, really like that idea. Like, It's, and, too, much, it's too deep of an involvement. And we've only seen her in one panel since then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now since you did leave after Hoxpox, you have missed a few – well, you've missed some filler, of course, but you've also missed some um, – fairly sizable changes to the uh to the x-men just the well i guess they're not even the x-men just the Cohens in general who have taken on some rituals um one of which is a, a popular topic here on the show uh, something that we talk about several times a week it seems uh the crucible now you don't know what the crucible is right something you know what i've heard that term tossed around i don't know what it is i can't wait to hear Go ahead. Now, Fill me you, in. Remember, you remember M-Day, right? Where uh, yes. Scarlet Witch said no more mutants, and so millions of mutants were depowered. Well, these depowered mutants can still use the Krakoan gateways, and they can still live on Krakoa because they're still technically mutants, right? They just don't have the powers. Oh, now, no. in order to give them the gift of giving them their powers back, we have the power of resurrection, right? Yep. And Gold Professor balls. X, yes, Professor X has the... Uh, he has his very fashionable Cerebro helmet that's full of backups and data and all that information. And so the Crucible is basically a uh, arena battle where 
Uh, we saw the first time it was uh, one of Cannonball's sisters, uh, Arrow, uh, who was a depowered mutant, and she got chosen to be in the Crucible, where she basically went into an arena in front of a crowded, uh, you know, a, a, a huge audience of notables from Krakoa. The Professor X is there, Cyclops is there, Strong Guy is there. I mean, X-Men important and not important are, are filling the stands here. And she stood before Apocalypse, who kills her in front of everybody while they wildly cheer. And uh, she he kills her so she could be reborn with her mutant powers. This is a way to kind of ritualize the uh, the concept of resurrection and getting your powers back. It was the way they kind of lampshaded it was that hey, if these mutants know that if they die they come back repowered, oh no, then what's going to stop them from just killing themselves? Nothing. So yeah, now exactly. they're they're basically invincible because they know mm-hmm. nothing. Literally nothing's going to stop them because now we're we're indestructible. I'm just going to be resurrected. We're all good. Yes, yes, and that's oh, something no. that gets discussed very heavily in Way of X, because uh, Nightcrawler seems to be the only guy who isn't enchanted by this, and so this is all coming from Nightcrawler's point of view, where he's questioning all of this stuff, and it, it's very, very well done. But, I mean, just how that fundamentally changes uh, so much about what we know about these characters, and we have theorized up and down about this it's like is krakoa the island itself kind of manipulating their minds is this something that like we know krakoa feeds on energy here is this a way to get some energy i it's very very strange stuff here but if you have uh you know any inclination to read uh the anything from the main x-men series here that's about to end uh issue six is a good one and issue seven introduces the concept of the crucible which is uh i would say a must read for anyone even tangentially um interested or curious about this new take on the x-men because it's a it's a biggie it's a biggie Ooh, here. boy i will i will have to check that out but man you talk about uh leaving yourself open for uh directionless plots <laughs> Oh boy, it's that kind true. of that, that kind of defeats the whole mission of the X Men. You know what I mean? You're going to save humanity, or you know, try to assimilate into humanity when you basically made yourself indestructible. And really. I think I think those are topics that are going to be addressed soon. Where, like, the pendulum is kind of swung, right? We have it where the X Men, the mutants, are feared and hated by humanity here, but all right. they want to do is is fit in and have peaceful coexistence. But now. They've segregated themselves and kind of hold themselves above humanity. It's like we're better than you and we have stuff you need with the uh, magical medicines, right? So it feels like this is a kind of a role reversal in a way where uh, they are not so much interested anymore in the rights of the individual. Uh, Everything's more about a – like a Cohen hive mind almost where they're all here to – just propagate uh, everything good about mutants and how superior they are. It's almost like a perversion on the like Xavier and Magneto dream, like as if they 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 put their dreams together and they they concocted a child out of them. It's wow. uh, weird this stuff. Is, wow. Yeah, mm, I don't of, know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's, I it's feel violated. <laughs> and you know, it's it's fun as a story and it's fun as as something that we can theorize and play with, but. My main question, and I've said this so many times on this show, people are probably sick of it, but how do you walk this back? 
Exactly. You know, this so, is, so yeah, it's it's great to create these, you know, these super storylines. But when you really have to backtrack and do it inexcusably, either too easy, or you know, where something, where someone basically does the old Marvel trick of snapping the fingers and restoring everything back to normal. Yeah, we, you know, like a what's, cosmic what's cube out? shows up. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So there's too many backdoors like that. Like, like yeah. think harder, Marvel. Think harder. <laughs> so it's very, uh, it's a divisive uh, run here, uh, which. Really surprised me going into it because I thought that uh, I thought it was going to be a like a beloved run. And then anything that I didn't get from it, I thought I was wrong. You know, it's like it's like, well, I don't like that. I'm probably wrong, though. Everybody else likes it. But uh, (laughs) it's much more divisive than I thought here. Um, Now, we do have the X of Swords event, a 22 part bloated event um, where it's basically a contest of champions. Um, yes. uh, we have 11 of our mutant characters, our Krakoan characters here, facing off against 12 characters we'd never seen before. And uh, it's characters that we didn't care about at all because they were just very Hickman in their creation. You know, like if you've read the Hickman Avengers uh, leading into Secret Wars, it's like, well, here's this wild new Hickman character. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a anatomically incorrect, you know, Ken doll with antlers. You know, oh, wow, <laughs> wonderful, wow, that's awesome. No, it's not. It's very, very dull. But it's these high concept things, and that's what we get as the enemies of the Krakoans for X of Swords. It's like, it's like here is a here's a guy who looks like a giant lizard. Oh, great. Here's a guy who has ashen skin. Okay. <laughs> Here's a here's a ninja. Great. So it's these very uh, just interchangeable characters here. They, they so will you get you a person. You don't you don't think it was a um, a Rob Liefeld trying to drain the swamp by creating a whole bunch of new characters so he's got you know extra royalty checks coming. <laughs> this is this is a guy with four arms. Well, this is a oh. guy with five arms. This is a guy with six arms. I have a different. great idea. Thumbelina. Oh, Thumbelina is the best. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised she hasn't come back, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, Maybe that's the one good thing that we can say about the, the X run. <laughs> and where's oh, Zero at? Sans Thumbelina. <laughs> yes. Yes. We have seen Wildside. Wildside's back, so. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But uh, with all that said, that gets us up to, well, where we're at. How about you talk a little bit about some, uh, give us some magic facts before we go into the bio here, because... The bio is uh, the bio is very very sparse on information here. Um, I mean, you went into detail here about the four issue limited series, and I can't wait to get to that because it's been ages since I read it. But it gets like a line in the uh, in the bio, which for such a seminal story here feels. It's funny. It's like when you talk about history here, it's almost like this is. How we how we record so much more history now because we have things like the internet and we have uh, you know everybody's a reporter now right yeah. everybody is a journalist everybody is a chronicler now where back in the day it was like no it wasn't like that well with comics we've always been chronicling because everything's written exactly. but these bios treat it differently it's like hey all that old stuff yeah don't worry about it <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're man. gonna skip to skip a hundred issues there. Don't worry. Stuff happened, but you don't need to care about it. All we're worried that, about that's is what's depressing about being a comic fan right now is that, you know, a lot of what we grew up with and a lot of, you know, the entertainment that that we popped for, you know what I mean? That we ran to those spinner racks to buy. 
is just discarded and it's disheartening. Totally. But we are going to go back to 1983, so we will get there. But yeah, let's bang out some magic facts. How about 10 things we need to know about magic? How about we start there? Hit it and get it. Let's see. Let's see. So I'm going to start with number 10, and you can follow up with me as we go here. Sure. So number 10, Ileana has a soul sword. Now, one thing you do know about good old magic, she is a bombshell blonde-haired chick, and she's got a massive flaming well depending on what you know what uh you know what she's what doing with her sword. Under, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah whatever element this sword is under has a soul sword now one of the things that we we know and we're going to talk about is that she was trained in comment combat by an alternate version of kitty pride named cat mm-hmm. from the limbo dimension and that's where iliana spent a lot of her time growing up as well while she was being imprisoned multiple times so it's true. <laughs> What's next, Christopher? Uh, she's got stepping stones, able to teleport yes. herself and others through space and time. But it's not a direct uh, trip here. You have a you have to pass through limbo to get there. So you're basically leaving the way you're at now, going through limbo and coming out the other side, wherever it is that you want it to be. So uh, it's a little bit dicier than Nightcrawler's Bamfing, and uh, certainly a little bit more uh, frightening than the Krakoan gateways themselves. It's it's like going on that that dream vacation and you're like, man, I'd like to go to, you know, Destination X, for example. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Yes. Uh, but but they say we want to go fly to Krakoa and they're going to say, nope, we're actually going to go straight through hell first to get there because that's why your ticket is only, you know, a hundred dollars. <laughs> and you're going <laughs> to stay exactly. there overnight. Bring a sleeping yeah. bag. <laughs> number eight so you're talking about overpowered Let, let's talk about you know characters that sometimes have you know powers that are maybe a little bit too much mm-hmm. well not only does she have the soul sword and the stepping stones where she can teleport through space and time but she also has an onboard mirror navigation system almost like you know picture google maps with like a street view where she can use this you know this glass to see almost the entire history of things before her so i mean you talk about the ultimate cheat when you're headed into combat hey i wonder what chris sheehan did back in oh look at that now i understand now i can defeat him <laughs> it's uh Man. you know the uh, the old uh, Claremont, uh, very strong female character, right? That's <laughs> we just oh. overpower them to uh, the unth degree here. Uh, now, magic is also the queen of limbo, and it used to be ruled by the demon Belasco, but uh, Ilyana is uh, at god level once inside limbo. Of course. Now, <laughs> Ilyana was uh, Belasco's apprentice, or adopted child, or <laughs> hostage, or love interest. <laughs> A lot of different things here. She was many things to him. Um, now, Limbo is like a private pocket dimension, which is filled with monsters and demons, as you might imagine. So uh don't know why she doesn't use this power more instead of the soul <laughs> sword. Uh, the sword does look cooler. We'll give it that. But um, yeah. we did just recently discover that the demon Nastir is being held hostage in, um, in Limbo. And uh, he's being tortured for eternity by little imps playing uh, that Proclaimer song, I Would Walk 500 Miles. On <laughs> that recorders. is torture. Yes. That is torture. Oh, on recorders. <laughs> yes, like, uh, doot, doot, doot. So, uh, <laughs> yes, that was a cute thing that uh, that actually Jerry Duggan gave us. So uh, definitely yes. another another feather in Jerry Duggan's cap. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Number six, she has control over demons. So, you know, as the queen of Limbo, Ileana has control over all said demons involved inside Limbo. So even good old Sim, who we'll meet earlier on, swears allegiance to her after being the right hand man or, or demon to Belasco 
after she used a little bit of a magic on him, we'll mm-hmm. say. And Sim, uh, S apostrophe YM, is actually a, a little joke about uh, Dave Sim, the creator of Cerebus. So, uh, yes, and he, uh, he actually looks very cerebilicus, we'll say. <laughs> he does. He does indeed. Uh, five, uh, Magic has psychic shields. Shouldn't usually, shouldn't use them very often, but they did come into play against Professor X at one point. It's uh, just one of the tools she keeps in her very, very, very deep toolbox for when stuff gets really, really deep. Now, one of my favorites, and I always wondered about this because, you know, you had uh, when I was reading New Mutants, uh, I always thought his depiction of magic, especially her armor, was -hmm. always interesting. So the Eldritch armor, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. Sienkiewicz really draws the crap out of this. Like, it's really etchy. It's really um, almost, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like, yeah, it's it's really, really cool. So number four is her Eldritch armor. So, you know. This is often not often used and basically tied to limbo and can be summoned through like sheer will. So more armor appears on her as she battles. So it's not just she she has armor. The armor actually generates more and more as she gets deeper into battle, which is a pretty cool, pretty cool deal. It's mm-hmm. basically almost like armor on demand, which is like a super cool feature of her abilities, <laughs> you know. It often generate, you know, it often at times just generates on one side of her body and like it rarely covers her whole body, which is odd, mm-hmm. which is uh, I, I guess, you know, it keeps it light, you know, so you're not carrying around this large chain mail uniform. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it only covers what's needed at the time, which is kind of which is kind of cool and, you know, kind of ingenious when you think about it. Oh, yeah. And take a look at those old um, New Mutants issues, kids, with the Sienkiewicz art. Now, I'm, I'm one who buries Sienkiewicz at every turn, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> Man, the guy draws the crap out of this armor and just has oh, yeah. a really, really great look to it. In fact, some of the depictions, she barely wears any armor at all. Just, you know, just a bra, you know, the cod piece and the boots. God bless them. <laughs> you know, they know what they were doing back in the day. And, you know, the armor also produces like a cool set of horns as well. So, I mean, she looks like, you know, she she's Red Sonya ramped up with technical, uh, you know, all the stuff that she wished she had going into combat with Conan. I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely. Uh, number three, she's got energy blasts. Now she can channel and lim- uh, channel limbo energy and emit it through her body. She can shock and blast opponents away, and uh, she can do blasts from the soul sword as well. Yeah, everybody seems to have energy blasts. I think that's your kind of your 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 cheat, would you not yes. say? What, yeah, what, is, what is the deal with that? I mean, you think you would have a little bit more creativity it's, behind you than just everybody has energy blasts but it's weird right it's like like all those pictures of like 90s comics which i mean we love the 90s comics but they all have like the like the glowing ball around their fists you know right. it's like oh they're gonna they're gonna hit us with energy yeah <laughs> that's, exactly that's what they do <laughs> now let, let's recap for a second before we go any further so now just to keep this into in perspective she has a soul sword a super powered soul sword which is mm-hmm. massive in detail depending on your artist Stepping stones to teleport herself through time. A mirror navigation system where she can basically glance through history and check out all your it's it's like creeping you on Facebook before you attack you. Yep. Basically. Yep. <laughs> She's the Queen of Limbo and got what commands all the demons in Army there. Army of demons, yep. Uh psychic shields. Fair enough. She got shields. Mm-hmm. She has armor that's basically on demand. Now energy blast. I mean, literally, what's left? Well, by <laughs> God, we got two more. Astral <laughs> projection that's right like a mage magic can literally leave her own body she can leave her own form and avoid detection so now she's friggin' invisible yeah. to almost all non-magic powered souls so she can literally transport herself 
to an astral plane. But not only can she do that, but she can fight from there as well, which is super dirty. It's true. It's true. And, uh, you know, all of these things have been like offensive powers. I mean, the armor is defensive here, but she also has utility powers here in that uh, she has a healing fire. A uh, healing ritual or spell that we saw in New Mutants Volume 1, number 17. It's a uh, pentagram of white flames that surrounds and uh, heals her. Uh, She's skilled in both forms of white and black magic, uh, which were given to her by an alternate dimension version of Storm. Wait, are we going to get into that again? Yes, sir. Holy cow. What? This is crazy. I mean, when you really, really take a look at magic, she is mega jacked when it comes oh, totally. to the power set mega 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 jacked Absolutely. which is which is probably why she was one of my you know one of the ones that stood out in my brain when i was talking about when you asked me about characters sure uh, you know not only does she got like an absolutely ridiculous design like she mm-hmm. she's a beautiful beautiful design especially mm-hmm. even the modern updates of her i gotta say are, are really good because oh, she yeah. started out as the little girl, you know, the little girl in distress. And we're going to talk about that right now. You want to dive into some uh, four-issue limited series action, Christopher? Let's do it. Let's jump aboard the old uh, the old stepping stones and head back <laughs> to uh, – let's transport us. December 1983, where Mr. Chris Claremont – hey, I heard of that guy. Yeah. yeah. I heard he had something to do with X-Men at one point. At one point. And – the guy who basically, I think, was the only artist on file back in 1983 for Marvel at all. <laughs> <John Buscema. laughs> Good Lord. He drew 7,000 comics in 1983. Holy cow. I mean, everybody gives, you know, you know, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and all these people credit. John Buscema, I mean, he literally, I think he did actually 10 times more work than either of those guys for Marvel. It is oh, ridiculous. Yeah. His body His name is everywhere. Yep. God. So anyway, four issue limited series. The thing is called Storm and Ileana, you know, magic. So anyway, mm-hmm. the whole deal behind this is December 1983. So talk a little bit about magic herself. You know, she's raised by a Russian, you know, in a Russian farm family. You know, her brother, Peter, is that how you spell it? How you say it? Peter? Peter? I say Peter. Yeah, I think Peter. Peter. I just say Peter. I think Peter. I think that's what they're trying for. I think that's the spelling there. You know, uh, her brother Peter, who obviously becomes a little bit more famous as we go on, could transform into like organic, super strong steel. Now, Peter, of course, leaves the family when Ileana was really young, and he goes on to join the X-Men. Now, of course, as we didn't know at the time, but Ileana would not be far behind, but she's going to go through a few trials, Christopher, before Mm -hmm. uh, before she gets there, starting with your boy and my boy, Arcade. So he's the mm-hmm. first person to physically imprison Ileana. So Arcade is imprisoned by uh, or imprisoned by Doctor Doom. Uh, Arcade's people threaten to kidnap several people tied to Doom in retaliation, including Ileana. You know, the X-Men frees her from Arcade's people, and she, you know, returned to the safety of Peter and Kitty who then decided that they were going to oversee her. They're like, okay, you know what? When I'm not tying my sister up, my baby sister up in this garbage anymore. We got to take her under our wing and we got to protect her. So, you know, and Professor X one night, who was always super creepazoid, as, as I've come to know from your, <laughs> uh, your early coverage of the X-Men, um, gave Ileana the ability to magically speak English out of nowhere. Another mm-hmm. one which we didn't cover. Yes, so another weird fact. <laughs> yeah, so she can suddenly now become bilingual at will, which mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll see. Now, of course, the X-Men set up shop on a strange 
Bermuda Triangle Island. Now, what do you think mm-hmm. of that? I mean, you talk about everything that was going on in the 80s. If you were talking about the Bermuda Triangle, it was the place that you went to and never returned never from. Never came so. back. Yes. It was. I think this was Island M, Magneto's old uh, yes. laboratory island. Yeah. Exactly. And subsequently, they were being observed. Now, get this. Of course, they were being observed by another creepazoid, probably a little <laughs> bit more creepy, and probably more who would probably serve more jail time in 2021, uh, <laughs> Velasco. The uh, 13th century magic user who struck a deal with elder gods for, of course, immortality. Now, how many times do we see this? This is almost like a, a super trope. You it know is. what I mean? I guess sold my soul to the devil for immortality. <laughs> but now, in return, he was commanded to create five bloodstones. Now, this is key. Keep this in mind, folks. This will come into play. And he wanted to create these five bloodstones to bring elder gods back to Earth. Okay. Now Belasco is now in full demon form, so he almost looks like. What would you say he looks like? I would say almost Mephisto esque. I would say by the time. Yeah, we like start. the low key Mephisto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that's exactly a, a good hybrid of that. Now you get to see a little bit of Belasco action if you read Kazar, but uh, you know he ends up being exiled forever by the gods to limbo which also will become important, uh, which is an isolated pocket universe filled with demons and monsters for the rest of his existence. So boy, did he knit, didn't get what he paid for right there. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he got isolated into a pocket universe, but there you go. You want to pick her up? <laughs> yes. Uh, now, while in limbo, he took note of the young Ileana and surmised that he could probably use her pure and clean soul in order to create those bloodstones that had eluded him previously. So he abducted her using a portal or stepping discs and would pull her into his dimension, claiming that he <clears throat> loved her. Um, oh, man. How old is she at this point? How old is she supposed to be? Is she even? Well, I think she's like six because she is in limbo for, what, seven years and comes back as 13 years old? Oh, my God. Or does she come back as 16 years? So she's somewhere between the ages of six and nine. Yep. So, uh, But he loves her. That's he okay. Does. He does. Oh uh, it's, a, it's a love that cannot be spoken. Um, it's, a, it's a love that'll get you asked to be taken a seat. And uh, it's, <laughs> what uh, show one of those. Would, <clears throat> what show would Belasco be on, Chris, if he was in? Uh, <laughs> Probably a little back in the nineties. Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the X Men would follow her into limbo, only to discover the horrible truth that they had done this before and were unsuccessful. They failed. There already existed alternate dimension versions of Kitty, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. Now, Colossus had been killed by Sim, and it was a very, very brutal-looking scene here where it's like his – you have his, like, organic skin – his organic metal, like, shredded, and, like, ribs are sticking out of it. It's it's yep. sick. Um, now, Kitty was on the run, uh, but Belasco – Belasco had – oh, but she had mutated into a cat-like being, and it uh, was called Cat. Yeah, she um, literally – she literally looked like um... – how would I describe her? I guess Jennifer Aniston on the Friends reunion where she had so much plastic surgery, like her <laughs> eyes were drawn back. <laughs> it's the only thing I can picture her as. No. no <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I haven't watched that yet. We, me and the wife got to watch that sometime soon. <laughs> um, now, Nightcrawler had become a servant of Belasco. Um, he looks like a demon after all. Uh, now, Storm had also arrived and is now going by her own name, Aurora. Uh, she began using to uh, she began to utilize the white magic instead of storm energy here. Now, the X-Men managed to find and rescue Ileana from from Limbo while battling uh, Mephi- uh, Mephisto Belasco's hordes. As the Limbo version of Storm holds off Belasco's army, the X-Men are able to make their escape. 
But Belasco, at the final minute here, pulls Ilyana back into limbo. Like he does 7,000 times. Go ahead. <laughs> Every time he's there. Um, now, he extracted part of her soul, and he placed a uh, demonic possession inside of her and uh, wound up successfully creating one of those bloodstones. Hmm. Now, he would place the bloodstones into a gauntlet, I mean an amulet, which he wears, making him dramatically more powerful, and he puts Limbo Storm away. Fortunately for us all, that uh, the alternate version of Kitty, a.k.a. Cat, call me Cat, arrives and sends Belasco packing. Kitty and the older Storm take Ilyana to Storm's refuge, and uh, they nurse her back to health. Storm then takes Ilyana under her wing to teach her how to defend herself against Belasco. So, which is funny. So think about this. So picture what this poor girl has gone through. So mm-hmm. she's been abducted early on by Doctor Doom to yep. get revenge from for Arcade, okay? Next, gets abducted by a demon, Belasco. Then, to her knowledge, she doesn't know anything different. She gets re-abducted or, you know, taken (laughs) to safety or rescued or whatever the case might be by Storm and Kitty. Okay? Now, get this. Here's where we pick up again. So, Kitty now convinces Ileana to leave (laughs) this location, uh, resembling the Limbo universe, to, like, the Savage Land. Yep. She's abducted again. Now, this time in this savage land, Cat trains her in sword fighting, which will come into play. This is where she gets her sword play, folks, right here in this particular series. So pay attention. So if you see that New Mutants movie, you can blame it on this. This is where she gets her sword skills. So (laughs) after three years, you know, both uh, they storm Belasco's Citadel. So they're literally fighting in this savage land for three years training to get ready to, to, you know, storm Belasco's Citadel to overthrow him and send her back home. So, you know, Kitty is actually trying to get her back home, which I don't get out of Storm, and I definitely don't get out of Belasco. Everybody yeah. seems like they're intent on keeping her here in limbo. But anyway, uh, they met by the, you know, they're, they were met by a fully converted limbo nightcrawler. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so nightcrawler is, is one that has been missing from the scene first when they came, but now he's completely under the servitude of Belasco, and he battles them. Now, Cat kills this alternate dimension Nightcrawler with a blade through his back and out through his chest. And, I mean, this is some pretty gory stuff for the time, man. You're talking sure. 1983, and you're seeing, like, Cat driving, like, a sword right up through, the, through you know, through someone's back and through their chest. So, you know, mm-hmm. at that very moment, they're going to send Ileana home, but <laughs> Belasco <laughs> once <laughs> again intercepts her and threatens her. To, you know, turn into his dark child. Now, I don't know what this guy got going on, but, you know, at least she's getting a little bit older. That's the only thing I can pinpoint here. So once again, she's she is reabducted from her abductor's abductor. Let's be clear. (laughs) So he also turns cat even more feline. So now she's gone into almost cat lady now. She's, Mm -hmm. you know, she's got the really, really drawn face, the drawn eyes, and she's now his obedient pet. So she's completely transformed. Yeah. And man, I, I, looking at this, this stuff <laughs> would just not fly the standards and practices of 2021. I'll tell you that. No, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to pick her up? Certainly. Uh, now, Ileana at this point is seemingly under the spell of Belasco. She takes a sword he hands her and he cuts her wrist or she cuts her own wrist, dripping blood into an empty chamber of his amulet, which contains that bloodstone that he'd created from her soul. Uh, but now her blood creates a second bloodstone, which uh, it just amplifies Belasco's power all the more. So he got like a two for one deal out of this girl, her soul and now her blood. Absolutely. Now, 
We would go another two years here. She would spend another two years under his dark tutelage, and her powers began to grow exponentially. Sim and another demon battle for Ilyana, when, uh, and it's here where her powers begin to manifest, and she creates the stepping disks, and those allow her to travel through time and space, of course. Now, Aurora, who we have not seen in years at this point, would raid the Citadel in search of Ilyana. Cat, however, is under Blasco's spell, and she slashes Storm on the back, mortally wounding her. Ilyana kills Cat for hurting her mentor, snapping her neck before rushing to Storm's side. Uh, Belasco orders her to use Storm's passing soul to create a third bloodstone. Ilyana instead betrays the word of her captor and kills Storm with her sword to free uh, Storm's soul from the evil sorcerer here, so he can't get it. Now, after Aurora passes, the weather just goes nuts around Belasco's castle. Ilyana uses her stepping stone uh, transportation powers to take herself and the corpse of Storm back to her gardens. That's Storm's gardens, because... we know Aurora likes, uh, you know, her flowers and stuff. So she buries her in the earth there. So, but let's not get so she's back to safety again. But don't <laughs> worry, because Belasco catches her again. again. This girl cannot run. So, you know, catches up to her again and steals another part of her soul mm-hmm. and creates. Is this the third Bloodstone now? Yes. So So she's now a three for one deal. So only remember, keep this in mind. That's three Bloodstones, only two more to bring out the, you know, the the gods returning to Earth type of thing that he promised. Mm -hmm. So, but this time he leaves Ileana to perish as Aurora's garden turns into a wintry storm environment. As she takes shelter, she tries again to replicate Storm's magic. It is here she creates and fully summons a sword. Now, it's not just a sword, it's a soul sword, and that would have finally be given her her power, and once again, she goes back with all this in check here now and all this training underneath her and all that stuff, she's going to once again go to confront Belasco one final time with feeling, as Bon Jovi would say. <laughs> so using her stepping discs again, she teleports back to Belasco Citadel, which I'm sure needs some extra security because this thing gets stormed more than, you know, than the friggin'... Uh, uh, what's that place that got that always getting raided up there in the U.S.? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that political place where they took over, what's it called? I can't remember. Oh, that, the the uh, the place where the people are. Yeah. Yeah, that place. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, right. That's good. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> she teleports back to Belasco Citadel where she kills Sim for the moment anyway and mm-hmm. destroys his library. You talk about you talk about getting revenge. She's beating up his library. He's trashing his comics. What a devil. What a <laughs> what devil. A this girl. <laughs> it's then it's magic versus Belasco one on one. So the main event is finally here. So you finally get to see the, you know, the, the big throwdown. And as he begins to lose, his eldritch armor dissipates, and he begins to turn back into a human, as now Ileana herself becomes demonic. You talk about coming back, your power is coming back to bite you in the ass, boy. You better be careful what you wish for abducting these six-year-olds, because they could turn into a demon with a soul sword and get you. (laughs) But anyway, before fully undergoing the transformation and killing Belasco, she just stops short. Of course they do. For once and for all, Belasco quickly takes this pause to escape in a poof of smoke. Mm. Can you believe it? After all that, after all those, all these issues, he gets away in a poof of smoke. Yes. Now, <laughs> Ileana, meanwhile, claims the amulet and a bloodstone. She then uses Belasco's altar and her stepping disc to return home, only only to discover seconds 
you know, only seconds has passed, not years. So she has spent exactly seconds in limbo. <laughs> that's what it seems. <laughs> now, the only thing she's much older than when she left. That's the only that's the only difference. So, you know, yeah. the six year old girl is now basically, you know, a well into her teens by the time she returns. So Ileana now makes her home in the X mansion moving forward, you know, um, for her own safety, of course, which obviously I don't know if it's very much safer because she was abducted there from the beginning anyway. So, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but now this time to make matters worse, the seemingly dead Sims. Sim returns to, you know, to our time and attacks Ileana. However, this time, her powers and the soul sword, Ileana is easily able to, you know, dispatch Sim again, forcing him finally to pledge allegiance to her. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Ileana's powers wouldn't stay secret for long. Uh, after Kidney Pride is kidnapped by Emma Frost, uh, Ileana would join up with the New Mutants in order to free her. And uh, she went on to officially join the team using the code name Magic, of course, with a K. Now, one one of the mean, things about Magic, think about that. You're, you're in 19... So, okay, so this is... Well, not 1983 right now because she's now with the New Mutants. So where are we now? 84, 85? 85-ish, yeah. 85-ish, yeah. So think about the name Magic. Nobody had taken that name before this. I mean, I know <laughs> they put a M-A-G-I-K, but nobody had took that name. Nobody had the foresight to copyright Magic before this. That's true. <laughs> That's really, <laughs> really true. strange. It seems like low-hanging fruit to me. But anyway, continue. It does. It does. Now, we're going to go into a little bit of the New Mutant stuff here because – like we said, the bio does not. So uh, now Ileana would discover more about herself during her time with the team, especially during the famous Demon Bear Saga, the only <laughs> saga of the New Mutants that people talk about. Uh, now, this is where Magic discovers her armor powers. She gets uh, sliced in the side by the Demon Bear, but her side regenerates and covers itself with armor that disappears after doing its job. So she finds that she can activate it, at least in part, by using her soul sword. I, I like that. I liked how they, they introduced it there. They really hadn't brought it up before now because, yeah. once again, it bounces right back to this series because Belasco sure. actually had this eldritch armor. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So she's seen this stuff in play, but little did she know she's now, you know, I guess, possessed with the with the eldritch armor right now, and she can use it for her own purposes. So it's actually protecting her. So, you know, it's all still rolling back to this four-issue miniseries, which is kind of cool. It's true. It's true. Now – her story, for our purposes, kind of stops here, um, but Ileana herself would be uh, tracked again by Limbo's demons uh, and also the Beyonder. Uh, she would go full demon herself. Uh, she'd become the Dark Child, and uh, her new mutant friends would return to Limbo to find an alternate version of herself before she was corrupted and uh, would uh, battle herself. So we're going back to the young version of yes. uh, magic here. Uh, you know, and then she's going to die of the legacy virus. Um, Amanda Sefton, who uh, we see in an issue of X-Men Unlimited uh, that took place in limbo, or at least in part in limbo, had a weird final panel where a hand grabs the soul sword. And I remember Usenet went crazy thinking that magic's back. And, ah, yes. Uh, well, that, well, that yeah, was they the were intent. right and they were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did get a magic. It just wasn't the magic we uh, were all expecting. It was actually Amanda Sefton who yep. would become the new magic and uh, Limbo's new queen. Um, now, after uh, the House of M, Michigas, uh, <laughs> Ileana, she's back. Uh, we're going to go deeper into that as we get through the bio here with uh, a little bit more uh, a little bit more specifics here. Uh, do you want to go into uh, – some more uh, Belasco-centric stuff here. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, 
of course, Wanda, you know, once again alive, she's, you know, she becomes part of a almost like a shield type group. But we'll get like you said, we'll get into that a little bit later. So anyway, you know, once once order is restored, Ileana once again is dead. Of course she is, you know. <laughs> yes. But in a strange but key moment, Amanda hides the soul sword inside of Nightcrawler. I don't know how that happened, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure it was a painful experience to hide it inside Nightcrawler. But that'll come <laughs> into play a little bit later so this time something strange happens belasco himself sees a vision of iliana and feels she's still alive somewhere and begins this arduous journey through limbo and space to find her so now he's obsessed with actually trying to find this girl he spent so much time with her you know he's put he puts himself on a quest to to recover her so anyway belasco actually attacks fake magic amanda sefton for control of limbo and banished her back to Earth, and once again takes control and attempts to resurrect Ileana. And not only, you know, not only does he does does he does so, but he's able to restore the Dark Child version of Ileana. So the mm-hmm. Dark Child is once again back. Now, you know, we get to see Dark Child and the X Men. They eventually, finally, once and for all, I swear to Jesus, unless you know something I don't know. <laughs> Finally kill Belasco and restore the blade to Ileana proper, the actual girl, not Amanda Sefton or any of the fake facsimiles that we'll see. And finally, (laughs) she finds her way back home as a card-carrying member of the X-Men. So there you go. Bingo. Mm -hmm. All righty. Now, with all that said, I suppose we can get into the the very quick and dirty that is this – House of, not House of, uh, Sword, X, X of Swords uh, biography here. Um, of course, we're going to do a little, be a little bit repetitive, a little bit of things that we're going to comment on again here, just in the very broadest of terms. Um, Ilyana, of course, is Colossus's sister. We met her first in Giant Size X-Men number one, where she was almost crushed by a tractor, right? Um, now, while Colossus was in America being an X-Man, and uh, while she was a very young child, of course, we already talked about this. She was kidnapped into limbo by Belasco. Uh, she was kidnapped a few times before that as well. And uh, he corrupted her soul in order to create bloodstones, in order to free those those gods, the Nagari gods here. And uh, she would live in limbo for seven years, emerging back as a teenager, and she'd join up with the New Mutants. During these years, she'd eventually transform into her dark child form. We mentioned that, and this would be fixed through time travel shenanigans where, you know, they went back, got that earlier version. So she's back as a young child again, untainted by Belasco and without her demonic urges. Now, this is when I met Ileana. It's when everything was looking good. She became the first casualty of the legacy virus. Um, Ah. You remember the legacy virus? I do. Boy, was that a thing for a while. But, uh, you know, people dropping left and right and, you know, uh, main stars of the X-Men getting caught up with the legacy virus. Mm-hmm. And magic, of course, was the, the very first subject of this bad boy. So, yeah, yep. it was right right after the Executioner song where Strife had uh, tricked Sinister into releasing it into the air. Uh, she was the first to go. And this is the first time I ever met magic here. So. I remember the cover of that issue. I think it was Uncanny X-Men, uh, like maybe 298, maybe, no, I think it might be like 302, 303. And it, uh, on the cover it said, if you only read one issue of X-Men this month, it has to be this one. <laughs> so, you know, me being, you know, 12, 13 years old and not knowing really diddly squat about the X-Men, uh, relatively speaking, I'm like, ooh, got to grab this. What's going on here? 
And I see this little blonde kid I've never seen before. <laughs> she dies. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's funny because up, up to that point, she had been discarded. So she's basically a secondary sure. character at that point. You know what I mean? But, of course, they use her to once again die after, you know, <laughs> everything that she's gone through, all the abductions and dark child transformations. And now the legacy virus takes her. So magic is one of these characters just – that is just buried in, uh, you know, they, they never want her to have a happy life, Chris. I think seems that's the like entire it. deal here. No. It seems like it. And it's almost like the, she was the like the best character to do this with and the worst character to do this with at the same time. <laughs> like, because, you know, the seasoned X-Men readers are going to definitely have an attachment to Ileana here and see her die is just going to be a bummer, right? But for the, what, millions of people who came in uh, following the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, X-Men number one, and the X-Men animated series, they, we didn't know who Ileana was. You know, we were new. So it's like, this didn't really have the impact for the new breed of readers. Uh, Whether we were wanted in the X-Fandom or not, we were there. You, you uh, You mean folks who weren't reading the New Mutants back in the day? Weren't uh, weren't brought right in right away with that filled in backstory. Wow. Yes, yes. The, uh, the Louise Simonson, Brett Blevins run that'll go down in history. Right. Uh, so it's very, very weird that this is where this is where I met her. And it's like, oh, OK, well, she died and it led to Colossus joining Magneto's acolytes. OK. Uh, now, as we mentioned, while she was dead, Belasco would recreate Magic's body. But she was un- he was unable to re- replicate her soul. A soulless magic would attack the Academy X era New X-Men, probably around 2005, 2006 or so, um, and she would steal a portion of Pixie's pure soul, and she would use it to to defeat the Belasco, yeah. She'd also become ruler of Limbo once more, uh, so uh, she'd also not be dead anymore, so there's that. (laughs) She's one of these characters as well that, you know, even though, you know, you can give her the... You know, you can have her abducted, you can have her killed, you can have her do whatever. But in the end, you know, when you have Limbo, when you have people like Belasco and the Bloodstones and all that stuff, you know it's only a matter of time before she's going to be resurrected in some manner. So, you know, any of her previous deaths and all that stuff really didn't hold any resonance because you just knew, okay, you know, give it a month. Ileana will be back. Don't worry. She'll be back. It, it was so weird, though, because at this point I had already, you know, gone back and devoured the entire, you know, X-Men New Mutants run. Uh, you read them all. And um, I remember how, like, rabid folks were when we saw that one panel with uh, Amanda Sefton holding the soul sword. And people were like, oh, magic's back. Magic's back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we jump ahead, like, over a decade and she's back. And it felt like it felt like one of those things that was kind of too little too late. You know, uh, and the like the later part of the 2010s feels like it was full uh, the, t- the 2000s, I should say, t- 2005 to 2010 feels like they're like just rife with these moments. It's like, OK, you know, well, we're going to you know, oh, go ahead. You know, when you know, when you saw that part where, you know, you saw, you know, Amanda with the sword and all that type of stuff. I wonder. I mean, we have read comics, so, you know, we were familiar with, you know, who exactly magic was sure. and, you know, her powers and all that stuff. I'm wondering, did new comics readers of the age even have a clue who this was? Because, I mean, no. they didn't do a super great job of of telling us who this girl yeah. was. You know what I mean? Even us readers really didn't know that it wasn't. You know, that it wasn't uh, Ileana, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, cause it's very, very do, convoluted. Yeah, they did a uh, another Magic miniseries, and this one starred uh, Amanda Sefton. And it was, from what I remember, it was basically unreadable. 
it was one yeah. of those that was like you bought it because it said x-men and you looked at it and like nope not gonna do that <laughs> but it, it felt like you know this era was like we had the third summer's brother solved and it felt like uh, very underwhelming you know as we had built this thing up in our heads and it's like Oh, no, it's just this guy Vulcan you've never met before. Okay. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> the, like they had they have big ideas, but they mm-hmm. were afraid to, you know, really give you the payoff. You know what yeah. I mean? They always went with a second tier. And yeah. that's – especially when it came to – like, I know – I like how you pointed out the legacy virus because, I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, Colossus was hooked up with the legacy virus and the whole nine yards, but they didn't really completely pull the trigger on anybody. No, they didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't. They didn't. It was like uh, I think I used this uh, this com- this analogy here or this observation here. It's like every like maybe eight or nine issues you'd see Beast holding a test tube and he's like, oh, I got to get back to this legacy virus thing. <laughs> and then it, and then he put the test tube down and then a year and a half later, oh, pff, oh yeah, that legacy virus ain't that a bitch? It's still around. <laughs> and that was the whole thing. Which, that, that's gonna that's gonna become the COVID same thing. It's just like <laughs> oh that COVID crap oh again oh. And it seems like that became like Beast's character for a little while, where it was just <laughs> like he was like post M Day, the whole endangered species thing. He'd be like, uh, oh yeah, we we you know we're 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 running out of uh, mutants here. I got to look into that. And it's <laughs> okay. Then he forgets for a year. It seems so weird. But. It, it wants to make him seem busy. That's the entire thing. And and there's only a few triggers. Like most X fans know, okay, legacy virus. Yes, that's a thing. Okay. That, yeah, so he's still working on that. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> now we can check that one off. And don't have Man. to mention it for another 18 issues. Um, now, Ilyana would uh, – she uh, oh, she would reclaim the soul sword. So she would uh, wind up getting a portion of her humanity back here. She's going to get several little bits and pieces of her soul back. Uh, she would return to uh, to Earth here, and she'd wind up on Utopia, which was the other, other, other mutant island nation that we'd been foisted uh, upon us in relatively recent year, years here. And uh, she would find that the Nagari demons were just, like, kicking X-Men ass here. Yep. And so she would use her powers to go back in time and join the X-Men before the attack, like you do. So uh, she's already overpowered. She's been back five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. That's that's what I'm like. That's what I'm saying. Like the second that she returns, like nothing has happened. She's more powerful than ever. So I mean, you know, when you think magic is dead, forget it. She's just coming back with even more powers, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, later on, an army general named Charles Ulysses would kidnap Pixie and attempt to complete the Bloodstone Amulet. Uh, he was hoping that he could use it to control the Nagari here, uh, somewhat uh, somewhat foolishly. Uh, Magic, Karma, and Legion would banish the Nagari during this brouhaha, and Pixie would get the missing bits of her soul back. Magic would get a little bit of hers back as well. Then we have Fear Itself. Do you remember Fear Itself? Jesus. This was literally a bag of hammers. (laughs) <laughs> it was this is so, the uh yeah. go ahead go ahead <laughs> no no it's just the 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 red skull he you know he's always trying to perform a ritual and this time because we're just coming off of siege are we not i think siege I was so. before this yeah, yeah siege ended the whole dark rain thing so yeah this is like right this might be the first event after that yeah, so I mean, it's heavily involving like thor and his cast of characters and all that type of stuff so you got i, I guess uh, Seven objects, I guess they're they're considered, I guess, divine hammers, and they got like an essence yep. of was uh, generals or or some military thing known as the worthy, I think is yeah. what it is. And anyway, they, who comes in contact with these hammers? 
are transformed into some of these beings like the breaker of worlds and the breaker of men and the breaker of oceans. Mm -hmm. And of course, our boy, the juggernaut happens to be one of these folks and he becomes, which one is he? I think he's the breaker of stone, isn't he? I think so. But, but he loses his powers here. Sidorak nopes out of it. And, uh, (laughs) and uh, suddenly our boy Colossus, turns into the juggernaut. He gets the powers of yep. uh, Sidorak here. Fear that itself. That was kind of cool, actually. It, cool. it was a cool look, a very cool yep. look here, and it's going to lead to some interesting stuff here. But anytime I think about Fear itself, I think about like the the four issues of Avengers and New Avengers that Bendis wrote that was ah. just talking heads. It was <laughs> literally, literally just... <laughs> yeah, it was literally like 20 pages of nine panel grids talking. And yep. it's like, what? Eh, no. And, and and Fear Itself, I think, might have been the first Marvel event that got, like, blown out with, like, the point one issues. Oh, where, yeah. Like, it was, a seven, it was like a 7-part series, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, 7.1, 7.2, 7.3. It's like, no, just stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it went too far, and and I think that's what killed a lot of the. I mean, Siege, to be fair, was not a was not a smash hit. So I guess they no. tried to follow up with something a little bit more epic, yeah. and they were trying to cross over a lot of franchises all at once. I mean, you had your Captain Americas and you had your X Men. Like this was like a a line wide deal. Yeah. And it really went too far. It was to the point where it was oversaturated and you couldn't keep up on like the, the core series itself, which was how many issues? Seven, you say seven plus the, I think three or four point ones. So yeah, right, like, uh, right. 11 or 12 they, issues. Yeah. And that's where it went off the trail with these point ones, because you really, if you, if you were trying to follow it from just like a, a newsstand sort of situation where you're just trying to pick up the issues, oh, you're, you're getting lost, man. You're just like, yeah. Jesus, what's important. What's not, I don't know. And that's the, problem with this you know what i mean you you if you have a series and you need a roadmap to understand where to go next there's a problem yeah totally totally from here we go into schism do you remember schism that i'd have no recollection of talk to me about schism schism is uh, a a a disagreement between wolverine and cyclops where uh, wolverine is suddenly concerned that with the fact that they're putting kids lives in danger no uh yeah right i mean sentinels attack utopia and uh, Wolverine's like, wait, we're putting kids in danger. And then like Cyclops looks at him and is like, where have you been for the past 30 years? Yeah, that's what we do. And so Wolverine. Meanwhile, like, poor Ileana's over there with her hand up. Uh, excuse me. I'm on my 18th at six, people. <laughs> I was almost married to Belasco, who loved me. Come on. So, uh, you know. Wolverine has this, you know, moment of profundity here where he's like, wait a minute, Bob, we can't do this anymore. And Cyclops is like, well, do your own thing then. So they split. And uh, Wolverine would go to go to uh, the Westchester Academy again, reopen it as the Jean Grey Academy, leading to Wolverine and the X-Men, the very, very fun Jason Aaron series, which I think I've said it five or six times during this episode. If you haven't read it or you don't know it ever existed, check it out because it is a blast. Conversely, we had the Cyclops book, which was Uncanny X-Men Volume 2. Um, they had canceled Uncanny X-Men with issue like 545 or something like that. And then two weeks later, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men number one comes out. So <laughs> Take one my of those. Money. Take my yeah, money. Of course, of course. And uh, 
this is the team that Magic and Juggerlosses would join here. So, uh, or yeah, Juggerlosses, is that what we're calling them? Or Colossonaut? Colossonaut, that's it. That sounds like a colostomy bag or something. There you go. So they would join up with Cyclops, and uh, Cyclops' team was known as the Extinction Team for reasons. Actually, that has a pretty good ring to it, actually. Extinction. It sounds like something that... uh, that Liefeld would have created with one of his multiple interpretations of uh, of his ex team that he almost got sued for before he yes. started Youngblood. <laughs> yes. Now the thing about Magic here is that she was kind of an unknown commodity. She was very very dangerous, so she was kept in a cell anytime she wasn't That's part right. of the mission because uh, yep. Cyclops was worried that like, hey, this is a crazy, strong, powerful, creepy individual here, and not only that. She'd be outfitted with like a Suicide Squad style explosive costume. So if she's on the field and she gets out of a gets out of line or starts acting against them, Cyclops can push a button and she goes boom. Probably wouldn't kill her, but uh, I guess it's uh, the thought that counts. Um, <laughs> now, now Colossus, as you might imagine, wasn't too keen on this, uh, and he would voluntarily imprison himself in the X brig alongside his sister because I guess blood is thicker than uh, than water. But boy, does it get a little bit more messy after this? It sure do. Uh, next, we have AVX. You remember AVX? Uh, now, how could you have not seen AVX? I mean, you know, so every- we have. Yeah, so Cyclops basically going uh, going commando on us all here, and the uh, the Avengers having none of it. So yeah, mm-hmm. this this was this was uh, one of the few times that I actually dipped my toes back into the X Men waters again. Because, I mean, they really, really heavily promoted this. I mean, you talk about an all-star team that was on this thing. It was Jesus. I mean, you had – who do we have Bendis, here? Bendis, Baker, Fraction. All Aaron, all the big names. Uh, and you had, yeah. like, Ramita Jr., Adam yep. Kubert, and, mm-hmm. you know, another guy whose name escapes me right now. But, I mean, you know, the, the artists of the day and the writers of the day came together on this thing. And what became of it? The actual main series was really, really good. I mean, you had, you know, the Avengers taking on the X-Men. Literally, they actually fought this time. It wasn't just, you know, oh, we're going to have, you know, a couple, you know, a a reason for fighting that doesn't mean anything. No, this thing was this thing was really, really strong, man. I don't know what you thought of it. I I hated the fact that they jobbed the X-Men out so badly uh, in this year. Um, They basically wrote them as crazy villains. They were hyped as the bad guys. Yep. Yeah. Cyclops, Cyclops gone crazy and we're going to stop them. That's basically the deal. Yeah. And I, I remember uh, on the day that the first issue released, I went to the comic shop and they had two bowls of pins there. And uh, one of them had had a picture of Captain America on it that said, I'm with the Avengers. And the other one had a picture of Cyclops on it that said, I'm with the X-Men. And I was like the only person to take the X-Men one. Uh, we'll when I picked the- it up, the guy's like, oh, nobody's picked one of those up yet. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> We'll, we'll get this. So um, during this entire run, I mean, comic stores in my area, and I mean, there's only two or three of them. They sure. ordered really, really heavy on this book, okay? Thought it was okay. just going to be the second coming of Christ. <laughs> so I hadn't tried it. So it had been out like maybe maybe three months that they were deep into this thing before I finally broke down and headed to the store to find out what's going on because I was hearing so much buzz about it. Sure. Guess how much I paid for the first three issues? <laughs> Buck a piece? <laughs> Nothing. They were given to me. They were free. They had, they, they had so many that if you spent over 10 or $15 on your purchase, I mean, it which is a low ball, in. that's, that's oh, yeah. literally, I mean, that's literally two comics, $10. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? They would give you a free issue. So, of course, oh, I had about $20 there, and they gave me all three. So I was like, all right. 
<laughs> but I mean, oh, they had great. stacks, Chris. I mean, I don't know oh, how yeah. much. And I mean, this was this was one of the um, how many different covers they have on this thing. This oh. was another one that really broke loose Tons. with the variants. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they had there. I think there was one particular variant that, like, probably the one that that was given away that they just had a mountain of. So I don't know what the ordering process was for this, but this was a uh, a dud in the water here. Oh yeah, for sure. But anyway, the story was good. Get into the story. <laughs> well, in the story, the Phoenix Force would return to Earth, and uh, it was feared that it, they, they wanted its new host to be Hope Summers. They are the first yep. mutant born after M Day. And uh, well, no, well, actually, maybe, but. It went to five other people instead. It went to Cyclops, Emma Frost, Namor, Colossus, and our girl Magic. So not only does she have all the powers under the sun, now she's Phoenixed. So <laughs> there you go. The final touch. <laughs> there you go. Um, now, uh, she that wouldn't last, you know, the entire time here. Uh, that the, the four that aren't Cyclops would lose their powers. Cyclops would go mad, turn dark Phoenix, and wind yep. up killing Professor X. So... He'd get arrested after that, and things would go even wonkier. <laughs> so, following this, Magic would use the Soul Sword to free Colossus of his Sidorakiness. And uh, she would also admit that she was yeah, kind of responsible. She manipulated him into becoming Sidorak's host in the first place, and so Colossus would disown her. Then, yet another volume of Uncanny X-Men was launched, and this saw Magic teaming up with Magneto to free Emma Frost and Cyclops from cap- captivity. They do, and they establish a new team of young mutants, and these are the Bendis ones. That includes Gold Balls, of course. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. That would come back to haunt us, wouldn't it? Old Gold it Balls. It certainly would. It certainly Thank you, Bendis, would. for that. <laughs> no, they would be based out of a Weapon X facility in Canada's wilderness. Uh, from here, Dormammu, the dread Dormammu, invaded Limbo, and so Magic would decide to absorb all of Limbo into herself because she's not powerful enough. <laughs> I uh, actually have this issue. Yes, it's it's yes. Uh, it's pretty striking cover. It's a uh, Dormammu, basically. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what like, which I hate the name by the way. You know, I, oh, yeah. who's who's responsible? Is that a Ditko creation? Did he create Dormammu? I think so. Well, yeah, if it's a doc, it's a Doctor Strange villain from back yeah, then, yeah. right? So yeah, probably yep. Ditko. Yeah. And this is this is where she also yeah oh you got it right here yeah so yeah. she turns to Doctor Strange exactly for his mm-hmm. teachings as as if Belasco's uh, teachings weren't good enough on top of Cap's <laughs> teachings on top of Aurora's teachings this oh, girl yeah. has had so many tutors I don't know what we're gonna do with poor Magic here but anyway it's very true now I'm figuring like she went to Doctor Strange right I figure Bendis must have known there was a Doctor Strange movie coming out yes sir. and he's like that's Ooh, the only reason yeah I can judge this it's like when when Hulk Hogan would like take weeks off off of nitro when he knew the the ratings were going to plummet and he would only come back when he knew the ratings were going to be good so he can be so he could take credit for it so uh, i think bendis wanted to be like hey look at what i'm doing on uncanny x-men here it's like well you put dr strange in there and everybody likes him for this five minutes uh now, <laughs> literally the only five minutes of, of strange love that was even out there to be quite it's true <laughs> and, and most and i think 90 percent of that was because people liked saying the word cumberbatch <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something to that theory. (laughs) Now, this would be a past version of Doctor Strange. We've already established that magic can go through time here uh, because the current year version was still at odds with the X-Men after the events of AVX. Uh, Magic would rekindle her friendship with Kitty Pryde, but uh, Kitty would soon leave Earth because she accepted a marriage proposal from Star-Lord, Peter Quinn. And uh, it was pointed out to me that, like, everybody that Kitty has ever been romantically entangled with has been named Peter. Ah, weird. Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, very funny stuff there because, I mean, we have uh, 
we have, of course, uh, Peter Rasputin. We've got Peter Quill. I think there's one I'm forgetting about. And then there's uh, there's also uh, the ultimate version was a uh, was romantically linked with Peter Parker. So the, the girl likes her pee. She <laughs> she's all about that Peter. Um, <laughs> now, when when Ma- when uh, Kitty leaves, uh, Magic would become like the den mother to the time displaced original five. Do you remember them? No, talk to me about that. What's the original five? Intriguing. Okay. Now, this is after AVX, and Cyclops, of course, has, you know, gone kind of renegade. And so Beast would go back to the past and oh, bring Oh, God, back- yes. yes. Yes, yes, of course, 100%. I, I'm just, okay, I thought you were talking about a group called the, yeah, yeah, oh, the no, X-Men, no. the original yes. five, yes. The original five, so right. uh, Magic would be their den mother here. Uh, this would be short-lived because Kitty's, uh, I guess, her, her engagement with uh, Mr. Quill was uh, also short-lived. And Kitty and Ileana would both wind up at the Jean Grey School in Westchester. I actually really did like this. You know what? This was actually one of the um, – I really like this storyline, the original five coming back, because the reason why I did like it was because they cast them almost exactly like they were back in the original book. So it was initially, like yeah. – Yeah, initially. Yeah, initially. Boy, did that take a turn <laughs> at Albuquerque. But uh, initially, they were exactly like they were in the book. You know, they were like, you know, almost characters at a time, basically. Yeah. And I really, really loved it. You know, them, you know, questioning what's going on in the school right now and how the X-Men are acting and how they would never act like this on knowing of of their history that was coming before them you know what i mean which is oh, hilarious sure. i loved it especially gene that was funny yes oh uh pete pete wisdom is the other peter that uh, Kitty <laughs> loved. so there's a it's a, a peter rasputin pete wisdom peter parker and peter quill so there i wonder is that in her character bible i bet you it is <laughs> it should be if it's not must have a relationship with someone with starting with the name p or the yes. letter p yes <laughs> no um the entire uh, – we talked a lot about the original five going back in the x Lapsination series uh, here on the channel. So if anybody wants to know how they went back, well, that's that's kind of how they how they did it. Um, it went really far off the rails, um, mm. and they, they definitely overstayed their welcome. But and, and, it got me back on the book again. So this well, was another yeah, chat. Yeah, this was another drawing point that that pulled me right back into the X Men line. And like you said, it was short lived because they did. They went from hey, we got our old X Men back, and I was just hoping and crossing my fingers that they were just going to keep them as you know my original X Men and just have a bit of fun with it, their history. You know what I mean? But no, yeah. they they went yes. sideways as usual. Suddenly, yeah, suddenly like uh, Hank was like an alchemist, and uh, Warren had glowing angel wings and. Uh. It was uh, very – and the Cyclops left to hang out with his dad in space for a year. It was very bizarre. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the first, like, dozen issues of that were a lot of fun. They were. And, and it was funny because, like, we have the Marvel sliding time scale and stuff, right? So basically, like, the Marvel Universe started, like, post-9-11 now, right? Since uh, – that, that was 20 years ago. And – we got to figure Fantastic Four number one wasn't much longer than 20 years ago, considering the, mar- the sliding time scale. So we have these time displaced characters and like we have a scene of Scott in like a convenience store and he sees bottled water and questions it. He's like, oh, we don't have bottled water where I come from. And it's like, <laughs> dude, that was like two. Th- if, if anything, it's like 1999. We had bottled water in 1999, pal. So so these. um. These particular issues, especially like you said, the first twelve or so, first year of the, this entire run, when they when they brought the X Men back, I I remember I had a subscription to Marvel Unlimited, so I was mm-hmm. catching up every now and then when a new issue would be put up. But what was funny, uh, Marvel Unlimited at the time had the their 
their interface was, you know, point and click and, you know, you can almost go panel by panel. You could do oh, yeah, different like things. the directed view or the, yeah, the, or the, yeah, the directed view. view or, yeah. But, it, but it wasn't as pristine as it is today. So it was a little bit clunky. But what okay. somebody did, they took all these issues and mm-hmm. they combined them into a large YouTube video of all, oh, wow. all, all the first run and they voiced it. Which was hilarious. Oh. So it was like watching almost like a motion comic. It was just somebody literally clicking through Marvel Unlimited and bringing up panel for panel, but giving oh, dialogue. Yeah. And I, yeah. I sat there like a dummy and watched it all. It was funny. <laughs> now, from here, we go to uh, one of the stories that I bought but didn't read because I couldn't bring myself to do so. IVX. No, we didn't read it. Anything within humans, I run. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All I know about it is is uh, that the inhuman Terrigan mist proved lethal to to mutants here and so a terrigan bomb goes off and so mutants had to leave earth for a bit now magic and doctor strange would send the gene gray school into limbo where all properties that marvel couldn't make movies about apparently belong so uh (laughs) there's that um that is 100 percent true oh you're exactly right it's they they were literally they were literally she- like shearing off all the all the characters. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Fantastic Four. They like, canceled that's, it. That's, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like anything that was not on a screen got the X or was pushed far, far in the back where you know wasn't noticeable. And boy, was it ever on display here. Crazy. Oh, yeah. And it's funny. It's one of those things that's kind of like decompression, where we all know it's true, but Marvel's like, no, we never, no, no. It's revisionist history. Yeah. No, no, the Fantastic Four just needed some some time off. Yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, boy, it was pretty blatant. I mean, did they oh, have yeah. lawsuits pending on that stuff too, saying that they it were surprise me. Yeah. intentionally trying to sink the um, so sink the, the franchises, the Fox movies? Yeah. Yeah, because what was going on, they released toy lines at the time and all that type of stuff, okay? So any of the tie-in merchandise, and I bought some of the action figures and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. They had big 12-inch dolls, and they had the regular figures for the Fantastic Four movie. This was this Josh Trask disaster Fantastic Four with, you know, Hacker Doctor Doom and all this crap. Michael B. Jordan as the human torch. Yeah, okay. Oh, boy, boy, was it terrible. But anyway, what had happened, they had basically canceled – Anything to do with Fantastic Four within the comic or had diluted it so far that it wasn't even a thing. And when it came to merchandising, they wouldn't advertise any of it. They wouldn't get their back behind it. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden, Fox is like, hold on here now. We're making a Fantastic Four movie. And the company who owns these characters is doing pack all to advertise it. So mm-hmm. it was pretty, pretty different. It was. Absolutely was. Very weird times. Uh, now, after this passed, um, which thankfully it eventually did. Uh, Magic would drop the Jean Grey school into the middle of Central Park. Yes. Now, this was the, like, X-Men Prime, uh, the second X-Men Prime, and uh, the launch of the color era, which sent me running for the hills personally. <laughs> what was um, that? What was the deal on the color era? Now, this is X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold. Oh, which, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was a callback, of course, to the old yep. strike teams uh, back uh, around the uh, you know, early 90s and stuff. So, really, At least they like, had teams, Chris. At least they, they had did. teams. They did. Defying yeah, we, teams. <laughs> We can actually point to that there. And there were a lot of good ideas there because this is post-Secret Wars. So, like, the Ultimate X character, uh, Wolverine and Heather Hudson's kid from the Ultimate Universe was brought in. Uh, Bloodstorm from Mutant X was brought in because it was kind of a collapsing, like, almost felt post-crisis where, like, the Blue Beetle and Superman could be on the same panel and it wouldn't be weird, right? So you'd have, like, these odd characters just popping in. Old Man Logan was there. Um, That's what I mean. Yeah, it 
they they were coming from all different time streams and everything yeah. and it was just a mess like wow. it was a mess it was a mess like to look at it looked cool and it looked like there were a lot of possibilities there but then it just turned into just i don't know just a mess uh i i ran and i this is that was the first time that i ever pulled x-men from my pull list in 30 years so uh, they killed your passion they killed they your did. passion it's like it Dan Slott murdered my uh, murdered my Amazing Spider-Man. Same deal. I ran <laughs> I ran for the hills. Oh yeah, after after, after Superior. Superior. Yep. Cuz that was just Yeah, it's like, "Hey, you want to read Iron Man in Spider-Man?" No. No, don't. no I don't. <laughs> I want to see my Mary Jane with Peter. I'm sorry. Yes. No, no, cuz we have a different Spider-Man we're pushing now. We don't yeah. want Peter anymore. I don't um, want Mary Jane with spider powers. I just don't want it. I don't want everyone with spider powers. Oh, I can't don't even want to talk. Continue. <laughs> Yes. Getting upset. Uh, no. <laughs> Magic would have a run in with her uncle Anatoly, who had resurrected Omega Red because uh, Russia, I guess. Of course, yeah. He's the yeah. only he's the only character there worth uh, worth of the resurrection. Yeah. Um, then we go to New Mutants Dead Souls. This is a mini series that reunited the New Mutants for about the hundredth or so time. Now, what and, New Mutants are we talking about here in this series? It's are a lot talking? of the originals and also Strong Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes without saying, of course. Of course. Well, you know what? To, to be fair, I do consider him a new mutant. So there you go. Yeah, we'll go with it. Um, yeah. this, and this sort of thing, I have the first issue of it, and I read it, and it reminded me of all the times that they brought back, like, the original Teen Titans. <sighs> and it's like, hey, you remember those Teen Titans you loved? Well, here they are again for the eighth time. And they have the same idea that they had the other seven times they came together. It's like we don't need to do this every time do we <laughs> oh man I, I know i know some things some things you want back so badly you're like you know you remember the george perez new uh, new teen titans for example sure. man i'd love to have the original team come back and like they just can't wrap their head around what made it special in the beginning you know what i mean exactly exactly if you're bringing it back you got to bring it back with the same sensibilities you launched it at you can't incorporate years and years and years and saddle them with baggage and expect it to get the same result it just doesn't work Exactly, exactly. And we, we saw like a brief reunion of the New Mutants uh, post-Hoxpox where right. like it was fun seeing them all together again, but it's like so much had changed and they're still trying to do like the same. Like Sam is married with a kid now right. and lives in the Shi'ar galaxy, Shi'ar space right now. And it's like they're trying to like keep it like the same, but it's not. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. Yeah. They, they, they incorporated modern day baggage and that's not your team, right? So yeah, there you go. Yeah, totally different. Uh, now, in the uh, Dead Soul series, they had a run-in with Tran Koi Man, who's uh, Karma's twin brother here, and uh, we're going to be seeing him show up in the uh, in the reign of X-Books pretty soon, I would imagine. Now, Ileana was sort of kind of maybe responsible for Kitty jilting Colossus on their wedding day. Now, this happened Ooh. in X-Men Gold, uh, probably issue 29 or 30 or so. And uh, Kitty and Colossus were set to get married, and, uh, you know, a lot of people thought it was a long time coming. Magic suggested to Kitty that maybe this wasn't the best idea. And uh, just pointing out that uh, their relationship was, it started off very creepily. Well, she didn't point that out, but uh, I did. Um, and just had a lot of ups and downs, you know. I mean, Colossus has a kid somewhere in the Savage Land, after all. So it's, a, it's some weird stuff here. Uh, so Kitty backed out at literally the last minute. Uh, a wedding would happen there, however, uh, but it was Gambit and Rogue who decided to take advantage of having like an altar, a priest, and all their pals around. So they're like, hey, let's do it. And they did it. And it led to the Mr. and Mrs. X uh, series, which I'm looking at, and it's it's kind of fun. Um, 
Then we have Age of X-Men, where magic wasn't there, but uh, Colossus was. After that, <laughs> <laughs> after that, she teamed with Cyclops and Wolverine for the back half of the Rosenberg run, Uncanny X-Men Volume 5. Then Krakoa, where we're at now. She's a captain of Krakoa and uh, is part of the New Mutants. She's also hanging out at Strange Academy, which is a book I have not read. And it looks like she's going to be uh, putting together a team called the Dark Riders in the uh, Man-Thing special. So she's she's getting around. She is getting around. She's she's a busy woman since her all her abductions. Yeah, I think she was in Savage Avengers, too. So she's just all over the place. Well, so, she's uh, in the she's in the New Mutants movie, and I will tell you a little bit about the New Mutants. <laughs> movie. Yes, please so, do. I mean, it's pretty pretty badgered, but I mean, Anna, Anna, um, Anna Taylor Joy plays her, her <laughs> of uh, Netflix fame, uh, and I think she does a really good job. So the movie, I think, gets a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, you know, lots of negative reviews, and it was one of these movies that was forever coming out. And guess what book it covers? You'll never guess what <laughs> saga of the New Mutants that it covers, Chris. The uh, the Annie Men or Gossamer or uh, Bird Boy? Um... <laughs> no, the Demon Bear saga. Oh, of course. Of course. It does. Now, to be fair, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this movie its due. It does a great job of introducing us to our original New Mutants. You get to see them on screen, which is really cool. But they really, really, really do a great job of magic in this movie. I will tell you, it is worth it is worth seeing just for her representation on the screen. You get to see the Soul Sword. You get to see all her powers uh, in full force, and it is really, really, really strong. So I mean, you know. Despite all the negative reviews, uh, Anna Taylor-Joy really, really makes magic a magic character on screen, I'll tell you. And it is definitely worth it, worth a watch to anyone who hasn't seen New Mutants to just check out how magic de- makes her debut. Now, will we ever see these characters again? Probably not, because it was basically five years ago when this thing was supposed to come out. And, you know, it, it only saw the light of day last year during pandemic era. So sure. chances are these folks have moved well on from this movie and we'll never see New Mutants on in this form on screen again. But uh, anyway, fun little fun little fun movie fact is that we got to see Magic finally make her debut on screen. So there you go. Now, do you think those negative reviews have anything to do with the fact that it wasn't a Marvel Studios movie? Oh, yeah. People go out of their way, too. And you know what? Even people within the studio, you know, they have people who go on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and smear mm-hmm. reviews. You know, you have your your people who bury it now to it, to its to their defense. It is it is not the strongest of all the movie fare that Marvel's ever put out. You know what I mean? Sure. It's basically a horror genre type movie, not a superhero type style movie where they're in a sanitarium and they have mm-hmm. to escape. And, you know, they're they're basically battling a demon bear, of course. So that's gotcha. the that's the entire gist behind it. And, um, you know, the uh, the results are, are mixed, we'll say. But I had a great time at the movies and my kids thought it was pretty cool, too, that they fondly took like a, almost like an adult spin on a Marvel movie. And it was kind of cool. Oh, very, very cool. But, uh, yeah, that is basically the uh, the the nuts and bolts on magic, unless you have anything you'd like to add. No, I got to say it was fun. You know what? Going back and revisiting like the uh, the early early miniseries because I was oh, all yeah. about these limited series as a kid, you know what I mean? So just being able to go back and seeing the Busima art and seeing, you know, some of Claremont's earlier stuff or some of the side projects that he was working on, sure. just building some, you know, ancillary characters War. and just yeah. to see how how far this character's come from, you know, her introduction. Well, I guess her introduction was a giant size X-Men number one, was it not? And just like a little cameo scene. I in think. a little panel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, to you know, her full-fledged introduction in this miniseries to, you know, where she is today, like being an on-screen character and like part of the, you know, 
X team proper. You know what I mean? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool to see the entire growth of this character, but you know, oh, sure. it's one of the most convoluted origins that you'll ever see. It's uh, <laughs> you know, a, a, one of the worst stop and start jobs you'll ever see out of any X character. And you know, mm. there, that's a lot of history and baggage to tie on. But sure. I mean, when you're, when you kill this character off, you know, once every five years and you replace him with <laughs> other characters and you, you know, you, you transfer her origin all over the place and, and her teams and, it's just a little bit of a mess, but the character is, believe it or not, strong, and that's why I chose Magic. And uh, I got to say, I got a lot of love for the character. It's a cool design, oh, sure. and uh, I think there's a lot more we can do with her. And I think that once Marvel, the MCU, hitches their wagon to, you know, the hot blonde girl with the soul sword, I'm telling you, she's going to be printing money. Oh, you're probably right there. And, you know, one more thing about that uh, miniseries is this is back in the day where not every not every character was getting a miniseries. So, and it was an odd pick for a miniseries. Yeah, too. absolutely. I mean, they had Storm, but it was not. It wasn't even a traditional X Men. It was alternate yeah. versions of Kitty Pride, of Wolverine, mm-hmm. of Nightcrawler. You know what I mean? These were alternate dimension. It wasn't even the main cast. So I mean, yep. it was really, really. It was only four issues, but I mean, it was a real shot in the dark here by Claremont. So I'm glad he took it, and I enjoyed the series, and it was a fun revisit. So thank you for that, sir. Oh, yeah. I mean, just uh, the fact that, like, Claremont felt the need to fill us in on what happened in those seven years and actually went ahead and did it, you know? Yeah, it was cool. That's that's pretty cool. That's uh, that's pretty cool. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for magic. Uh, how about you tell folks where they can uh, where they can find you on this Internet? Well, you can find me on the Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. That's my tagline. So if you want to hear all about, you know, my retro ramblings on comic books, movies, pro wrestling or whatever, you can find me there. I'm pretty interactive. So if you send me a tweet, chances are you will get a response, good or bad. Be prepared. (laughs) Uh, You can also find me finally. On Quester Days. Yes, we are back. We are live monthly. It's the the epic Marvel comic run of ElfQuest. So if you are into ElfQuest, and I know that is, uh, you know, not everybody's bag, but I'll tell you, give us a chance and we'll we'll make you a fan, I guarantee Mm -hmm. you. So if you're familiar with Moratory Mondays and our old formula, we cover the book front to back, including all the ads, and we have just a great time. So you can find me over there. And when I'm not there, I'm over on the W2M network as part of the Podsman covering wrestling reviews. So that's Chris Bailey, that's Charlton Hero, and that's me. And that's that's my magic. (laughs) <laughs> yes, indeed. But uh, thank you so much for being part of this milestone 200th episode here. It really means a lot that you take the time to uh, to do the to do the work here on Magic and also uh, to uh, hang out and chat with me about her. So thank you so much. My pleasure, sir. All righty. Episode 200 rolls on with perhaps our uh, longest bio in this book, which I mean, if you guys have read X of Tens, the Festival of Swords, this character certainly did play a, a sizable role in it. But uh, I don't know that he would require this many pages in a handbook. But, uh, I mean, he is who he is, so he's got a lot of story to tell. We are, of course, talking about Wolverine right now. And to do so, I am joined by my friend Mark Radlich. How are you doing today, Mark? Uh, pretty good. My tongue, my tongue is nice and numb, so I should be able to get through this without being in too much pain. Very good. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we get into it here, uh, we got a lot of new information here for both of us. We talked a little bit about it off the air here. A lot of the uh, a lot of the newer elements that were retroactively added to Wolverine's backstory are kind of new to us. So um, what did you know about Wolverine before reading this uh, 
ever so long biography in this handbook. Um, like everybody, like most people my age, I came across Wolverine when he was introduced in the X-Men annual that introduced the new, um, you know, United Nations team. Oh, giant size, yeah. Yeah, him, Colossus, Storm, I, uh, Warpath, I think it was. Nightcrawler, Thunderbird, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, this was the international X-Men after the first team had kind of been retired and sent off to, I think it was X-Factor. And um, I knew of him from the one appearance he had in the Hulk in the yellow outfit, mm-hmm. uh, which I liked, actually. I actually have a T-shirt with that uh, cover print on it. Oh, very cool. Um, he had shown up in a few different Avengers books that I've read. Uh, I had read Days of Future Past uh, when mm-hmm. that was contemporary. Like I actually okay. read the, the two issues that that story took place in. Um, what I knew of Wolverine from the comics was he, at the point at which he got his Admantium skeleton, um, his past was unknown to him. Mm. And he was just sort of going forward from there. Um, I'm mostly aware of like the Weapon X stuff that, you know, he, uh, without even having read the the biography that you sent me, I knew that um, because of his healing factor, he had had an extra long life and um, he had found he had you know, fought here and fought there and eventually found his way into the Weapon X program. And the Weapon X program is where they gave him the Admantium uh, Steel. And after that is where he lost his memory. And then he was just kind of mucking about until he ended up in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he appeared in every single Marvel book printed in the 1990s. <laughs> and uh, as folks listening to this show know, he's starting to do that now, too. He's showing up in just about, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a book a week that doesn't have Wolverine in it nowadays. It's like he's the Joker all of a sudden where got to show up constantly. But so um, I'll share a fun stat with you, a fun little sure. bit of podcast history. So um, I've been doing this since 2006, right? Mm-hmm. And in 2017, I think it was, um, Sean Garmer and I decided that we were going to exchange uh, content. He -hmm. would send me all his wrestling stuff because I had no I I wasn't really covering wrestling at the time, but wrestling was popular. And I'm like, hey, you do a bunch of television reviews. I'll put them on my blog talk radio account. I'll send you all my movie and TV and and, and heavy metal album reviews. Like, Mm -hmm. great. And that be and you know I call that now the great content share of 2017. Do you know what it started with? No. The very first thing I shared with them that's up on the W2M network and right now, um, because I gave up my own speaker feed and I'm from and I'm just solely a part of W2M. The very first Rattlers and Broadcasting Network podcast is Welcome to Wolverine Week. How about that? Yeah, we um we. I had started to inch closer and closer doing like thematic things mm-hmm. on, you know, like if a movie was coming out, try to do a book on it. And <laughs> then in 2017, I went crazy, I guess, and decided <laughs> that I was doing theme weeks every week. Gotcha. And it started with Wolverine. So it was the week that it was the, the week that we were reviewing Logan. Okay. So we did Wolverine. So we did a whole podcast on just kind of the history of Wolverine. That was Welcome to Wolverine Week. And it was like, mm. where do you remember Wolverine from? Did you watch the X-Men cartoon? Did you see the movies? Did you read the book, et cetera, et cetera? Did you buy the cereal? Did you have the toilet paper? <laughs> um, and then we did the Old Man Logan comic. We mm. reviewed Logan the movie. Um, and I know you're like a huge death metal fan. So oh, you, of, yeah. So you, of course, remember Entombed Wolverine, Wolverine Blues. Blues. Yeah, <laughs> that I did know. <laughs> and then we did an on trial for X Men Origins Wolverine movie. 
I remember in high, in junior high, uh, the Entombed album, and I think there was like a Joe Satriani album mm-hmm. that had like the Ballad of the Surfer for like the Silver Surfer, and like those were like the two uh, albums that we'd always go look at at the record store because they were mm-hmm. the comic related ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the Silver Surfer on. I never so- actually listened to that Joe Satriani album. It was everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I used to work in record stores and I saw that album cover everywhere and I'm like why is the Silver Surfer on this like guitarist album right because <laughs> I mean the Silver Surfer wasn't like he wasn't like burning up the comic charts back then either it was just a uh, very very weird but those are the two albums I remember um, now do you have any favorite uh, Wolverine stories any stories that uh, that stick out to you over your course of uh, reading stories that Wolverine showed up in since we know that there are a lot of them like I said I like the one you know his his first appearance in the Hulk mm-hmm. uh, I like that story um gosh like I don't want to say the first ones that come to my head because those seem like the most obvious ones like old man Logan is very fresh in my head and we had a long discussion about it and it seems to have influenced a lot of what happened to you know, it influenced an entire movie. You know, it was a major influence for the movie Logan. Um, you know, the character apparently was so popular. They didn't, you know, he got his own book and then they couldn't be satisfied with that. And they had to do Old Man Hawkeye. And now it's <laughs> Old Man Quill, Old Lady Harley Quinn in an entirely other company. Yep. Like, what the hell, man? Um, <laughs> but Old Man Logan. Uh, <laughs> I like that story. I do really like that. Story. You're talking about the Mark Miller one or the post Secret Wars one or both? The old man Logan, uh, the, the original, yeah, the Mark Miller one, then, yeah, okay. Um, so I like that. Um, I can't really think of. I, I, I haven't read it, but I am kind of ancillarily aware, and we are covering it at some point this year. Sean Comer and I, uh, the Wolverine, uh, four part thing where he, where he's in Japan, the one with the very famous on Frank Miller, yeah, very famous one where he's got the one claw, and he's like, come, you know, come here, we'll see that yep. one. <laughs> Yep, the uh, that's the first uh, miniseries, the yeah. uh, Claremont and Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a, I, I'm aware of it. I kind of flipped through it. I know what's in it, but I've never actually sat and read it word for word. And I know Sean Comer and I wanted to talk. You know, he's like desperate to read the thing. I think he already bought the book, mm-hmm. so I would say that. Very cool. And then Very and like cool. and because I was a, a big fan of the Avengers, he would occasionally show up in that book as well as part of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would eventually join uh, the Avengers, and that would just be one of the 700 books that he'd show up in a month. So yeah. let's get into the history here, because the origin that we're going to read, uh, there's a lot of new information in here for both of us. Uh, I'm guessing anybody listening who is more a student of Wolverine will be like, wow, they didn't know about Romulus and Remus? No, we didn't. <laughs> this was kind of new to us here. Wolverine and me have had a uh, – we have a spotty relationship. Um <laughs> Uh, sometimes I just can't do it. I'll buy the books because I'm an idiot, but I, I sometimes just can't read them because there's sometimes too many. Um, it was right around the time, probably like uh, mid-2000s, when I, I moved into a new apartment, which was quite a bit more expensive than my old apartment. And it was at that point that Marvel decided that Wolverine was too big a presence to be kept into only you know 400 books a month. And so they had to launch several more to the point where I think at one point he had like three ongoing books and miniseries every single month. And it was pretty ridiculous. And I just couldn't keep up. And I mean, Wolverine, he has the potential of being a very interesting character, but he also has the potential of being a very uninteresting character. And unfortunately, when you have like three or four monthly books, 
it's never really a case, or at least in my experience, it's not really a case where one is the one you have to read. It's really, really good. And the rest are just the, the flavor, the seasoning, the salt and pepper. When there's four of them, usually they all suck, at least in my <laughs> experience. They're just like all hard to get through, all kind of boring, all similar to the point where they don't really necessitate having more titles than they than they do. So let's get into it here. The origin he started out as James Howlett, a sickly 19th century Canadian lad. And this was, of course, in the Origin series. And uh, you haven't read Origin yet. Um, it's it's OK. Uh, not my favorite story, uh, but I do understand and appreciate the reasons why Marvel did it when they did it. Uh, they basically wanted to tell Wolverine's origin before Hollywood had the opportunity to do it themselves. So it's like we know it's going to happen. We would we just want to have our say. So they they did it. Uh, Paul Jenkins came in. Uh, one of the Kubert brothers was uh, on art. Looked great. Um, it was a period piece. And uh, there were a few fake outs in there, which was pretty cool. But um, yeah, there was a sequel, Origin 2. I think, uh, I think it was Kieran Gillen who did it or. I think it was him who did it. That was uh, probably 2014, 2015-ish. Have it, never read it. So now his uh, his uncles would serve under a crime lord called Romulus, and that's something I completely missed out on. I am somewhat familiar with the name and the look of Romulus, but I couldn't tell you a whole heck of a lot more. I just know he's a bad guy. Now, young Howlett first unleashed his bone claws during an altercation between his parents and their groundskeeper, Thomas Logan. And it would be revealed that Thomas Logan was actually Wolverine's father here. And this was all told in that origin miniseries. And that was kind of the fake out there because uh, Thomas Logan had a son who looked very much like Wolverine does. And he was, uh, you know, they were the, uh, what's the word for it? They were the downtrodden. They were the workers. They were the, uh, the just, the, they were the groundskeepers. And the uh, Howlett family were aristocratic. They were very wealthy. They had sprawling grounds. So you're reading that first issue and you're expecting the reveal to be, OK, this kid who they call Dog, Dog Logan, that's going to be Wolverine. No, actually, the uh, the little sickly privileged boy pops the claws at the end. So it's like, oh, OK, that's the big fake out. So his healing factor would protect him from the memories that he had here. So basically just burying the memory and he fled into the wilderness. And his first berserker rage was the result of accidentally killing a woman he loved. I don't remember which woman this was because he's had many, many loves. Um, he would serve in World War One, which I can't remember if it was World War One or World War Two. The more I'm thinking about it, I think it was World War Two where we saw there was a miniseries around the turn of the century called Before the Fantastic Four. And uh, actually, there were three miniseries. And one of them was Logan and Ben Grimm at war together. So I think that might have been two. Um, not, you know, being a soldier is not enough. So he becomes a samurai uh, as well. And all the while, Romulus is keeping tabs on him, only not as it's happening because Romulus was a late addition. Uh, while serving in World War II, he would marry and impregnate a woman named Itsu. And she would give birth to our favorite character in X-Factor, Dakin Dakin. Um, Dakin Dakin would uh, be raised to hate his father by Romulus. So is this all making sense to you so far? <laughs> yeah. <Great. laughs> now, here we get into things that we are familiar with. Logan would become a merc, and he would wind up with the Weapon X program. Now, we learned that the Weapon X program during the Grant Morrison run on New X-Men was actually Weapon 10. The X is the Roman numeral 10. Uh, the 10th iteration of a program known as Weapon Plus, Captain America was Weapon 1. 
Um, now here, Logan would adopt the name, co uh, the code name Wolverine. Also here, adamantium laced bones. And this was all told in the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X serialized story that took place in uh, Marvel Comics Presents during 1991. Now he'd bust out and eventually be discovered in the Canadian wilderness by James and Heather Hudson, and that would lead to him becoming a part of Alpha Flight. And this was all told in Alpha Flight's earliest appearances in X-Men. You have any uh, affinity for Alpha Flight? Not like Chris Bailey does, but... Um... Oh, no, he loves it. He loves it. It's his favorite. <laughs> you know what? I, this is going to sound like one of those, like, stupid comic book, like, I just want to punch you in the face kind of comments, but... <laughs> my my knowledge of Alpha Flight is the big brouhaha that came out when Northstar was outed as being gay. <laughs> like, oh! A gay character in comics! Yep, Alpha Flight number 106, which yeah. went up in value like mad when it came out, and... Just about a year ago, I found about 30 of them in a quarter bin. I'm sure you did. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those where it was like a huge news item and people, and there was like a backlash to it. Yeah. Um, and it ended up not mattering like most things, you know, do. Sure. But, <laughs> but, boy, but boy, do I remember that moment in comics history. When that uh, when that was happening, I remember this was a uh, this was like big schoolyard stuff, and uh, because back in the day, kids used to actually talk about comic books, believe it or not, and we would talk about this, and none of us read it because it was Alpha Flight, and who the hell's gonna buy Alpha Flight? Yeah. And uh, but I remember like the room, it was like a game of telephone because it was like, yeah, North Star's gay, and then like the next kid would be, be like, yeah, North Star's gay, and he has AIDS, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And to the point where, like, we had to read this book because it's like so many things happened in this book. But back then it was, you know, it was a wall book. It was like $20 and on the wall at the comic shop. So uh, we weren't getting our hands on it back then. But from here, we have Wolverine and Alpha Flight. Then we have Giant Size X-Men number one. Now, this is where the all-new X-Men were assembled by Professor X to rescue the originals from Krakoa. And uh, this was the second team. It was revealed during uh, Ed Brubaker's Deadly Genesis that this was the second team that Professor X put together in order to save the originals from Krakoa. The first one, well, Deadly Genesis. They didn't make it. They died. Uh, later, Wolverine would go on to join the Avengers, and this is when Brian Bendis took the Avengers line hostage. I, I mean, took over the writing duties on Avengers with New Avengers number one. And following the reality warp of one of your uh, one of your more familiar stories here, House of M. Uh, Wolverine would have all of his memories restored, which totally killed one of the cooler and more mysterious elements of that character. Do you remember that happening in it, or was that something that happened outside of the House of M series proper? I, yeah, I don't remember that happening. <laughs> so it must have happened in one of the 5,000 times. <laughs> mm -hmm. Back to Romulus. We forgot about him. Now, Wolverine would recruit some pals in order to help take Romulus down, and those included the Hulk... Scar, who is the son of the Hulk, the cloak half of Cloak and Dagger, the Silver Samurai, and Ruby Thursday, everybody's favorite. Now, Thursday would turn on the team, but Wolverine already, already suspected that she'd betray them, and so he fed her some bad information to take back to Romulus. Now, Wolverine would be nabbed during a check-in on Dunwich Sanatorium, and there, Dr. Rot would perform experiments on him and rendered him an amnesiac. Psylocke, who was still Betsy at the time, and Nightcrawler would rescue him. And uh, we're just getting started. <laughs> because <laughs> from here, he'd start digging on a reporter named Melita Garner. And uh, he'd become a, wolf, uh, a Hulk Vereen. 
during the time where every friggin' uh, Marvel hero was yeah, hulked out heroes. You start <laughs> about that. I know all about hulked out heroes. <laughs> I think I read that once back when it happened. Do you, what do you remember fondly about the hulked well, out I, heroes? I did a deep dive when I got back into comics. I did a deep dive into the Hulk stuff. So I read everything from Planet Hulk all the way through World War um, Hulk, Red Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, so Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, the Hulk proper book where they introduced the Red Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. I skipped over the Incredible Hercules stuff, but then it goes back to being the Hulk at some point. Yeah, That actually has one of my favorite Hulk stories in it, The Spy Who Smashed Me. But I still <laughs> think they should make it into a movie where basically, like, the you know, B- Banner is like a James Bond spy. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I remember. So it's part of a trilogy. So you have the, um, I think it's uh, World War, I think it's Follow the Hulks, followed mm-hmm. by World War Hulks, and as part of World War Hulks, there's Hulked Out Heroes. Yeah. Where basically the leader in MODOK um, started turning everybody into Hulks. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they were responsible for, this is where you found out that they turned General Ross into the Red Hulk, and they turned Betty into Red She-Hulk, because yep. you didn't know who they were at that, at that point. Yeah. And then through the course of whatever was going on at the time, the entire like Marvel Avengers pantheon got turned into Hulks, <laughs> and and as it was like there was like the, there was the two part Hulked out heroes uh, miniseries, but then there were like individual ones. So there was like Wolverine Hulked out heroes, and there's Captain America Hulked out heroes, or whatever it was. I don't remember who exactly got their own books, but there were like very specific stories for certain heroes. I think Wolverine was one of them. Oh, was great. I love for it. Sure. For sure. I, somebody at recently asked, like, if you woke up tomorrow, you were the head of the Marvel Studios, what would you do? And I'm like, uh, Hulk trilogy, Fall of the Hulk, World War Hulks, and Hulked Out Heroes. There you go. <laughs> now, Wolverine would also rejoin the Avengers following Siege and the dissolution of the Superhero Registration Act, which was enacted during Civil War. And that was the first still crappy but less crappy Civil War of the two. Uh, back to Romulus. Remember him? Yep. Now, Wolverine recruited his son, Dakin, or Dakin, to uh, help take Romulus down. But Dakin, Dakin, would turn on him. Wolverine then killed his own son using a replica of the Muramasa. And the Muramasa is important because that would go on to become Wolverine's X of Tens blade here. So we actually get a little bit of our X of Swords information. Now, this, killing his son, would draw Romulus out and Cloak would trap the baddie in the Dark Force dimension. Then, <laughs> then Sorry, during... I'm thinking about our conversation from, from the other day when we talked about Man of Steel. It's like, just shoot everyone with the Phantom Zone Phantom gun. Zone them. Yep. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> then, during Second Coming, Nimrod Sentinels from the future came to the present to take out Hope Summers, who was the first mutant child born since the No More Mutants thing and M-Day. Now, Nightcrawler would be killed during this event, which Logan took quite hard since they are pals. But don't worry, he won't be gone long. Wolverine would go on to bring back X-Force, but he would do so without without informing the rest of the X-Men. Now, this X-Force would be kind of a mutant wetworks, sort of like how they are now in the Krakoan era, where rules really don't apply to them. They can basically do whatever they need to do so long as it's in the best interests of uh, the mutants. Now... The Sublime Corporation, that was uh, a concept introduced by Grant Morrison back in the day, they would create and unleash the HXN1 virus. I wonder what that's an allusion to. And uh, (laughs) this really messed with Logan's healing factor. But 
the big wigs in Sublime would take a drug to give themselves mutant powers, and then they found themselves now suffering the effects of HXN1. And so they purged the thing, and everything is good in the hood. This next part, um, it's all about Agamotto and vampirism, and we're not going to talk about it because it's about Agamotto and vampirism. Let's get to Schism. Are you familiar with X-Men Schism? I am not. Okie dokie. Now, Schism was a uh, marketing tactic uh, disguised as a story uh, because uh, Marvel Marvel wanted to find an organic way to cancel Uncanny X-Men and then two weeks later put out Uncanny X-Men number one. So we have Schism, during which Wolverine was suddenly annoyed that Cyclops put children in danger. And this caused a big fight, even though, I mean, there have been children in the X-Men. There are new mutants. There's Generation X. There were there were teams of mutants called the Young X-Men. These are all kid teams who they never who Wolverine never had a problem with putting in harm's way before. But now, since we need to have ourselves a new number one, we need to uh, we need to draw the line in the sand. Now, this is during the Utopia era, which is the other, 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 other time that mutants tried creating their own nation. And uh, I don't know if we're blowing any minds here. Probably not. But Jonathan Hickman's Krakoa thing here isn't the first time they did that. It's probably the fifth or sixth. Uh, now, this led to Wolverine breaking away from Cyclops's group and forming his own school for gifted youngsters. Now, this is the Jean Grey school because Jean Grey was dead at the time. And this played out in Wolverine and the X-Men, the ongoing series. Now, that one, I think you would enjoy that one a lot. Are you familiar with Jason Aaron's work? Tell me something things he's done. He's done Scalp Hunter uh, for Vertigo, um, or Scalped, I'm sorry, Scalped he did for Vertigo. He's currently doing Avengers, um, He he's done, a, like, basically everything at Marvel he's done. Really good writer, uh, and this uh, Wolverine and the X-Men book is uh, is a blast. It's a lot of fun. It kind of, it, it, it's, I, people are going to hate me for making this comparison, but it, it almost feels like the X-Men take on the Justice League Unlimited, you know, the Bwahaha era where it was kind of silly, but at the same time, it was also kind of serious. This was just a really, really fun book. It's kind of where Quentin Quire came into his own as just like a real pain in the ass and a, just a thorn in Wolverine's side. They made for a really fun team. And it was just it was just a really really fun story there. I would definitely recommend checking that one out. Now, uh, hey, you remember Romulus? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's back. He broke out of the Dark Force dimension. And so Wolverine would recruit Romulus's twin sister Remus to the cause of taking Romulus down. Wolverine would then get stuck in the middle of a conflict between the Hand and the Yakuza. He would be drugged by Mystique and Yukio, and they would send some compromising photos of him to Melita What's-Her-Face, and she would break it off with him. Now it's time for Uncanny X-Force, which is another series from uh, probably 2010-2011, which I would recommend a thousandfold. This was a series that I had zero hopes for, but made for a wonderful uh, long, it was like a 20-issue arc uh, that really paid off beautifully. It was by uh, Rick Remender, and I believe the artist was Jerome Pena. But uh, this is a team that Wolverine put together that uh, included Psylocke, Phantom X, Archangel, and Deadpool. So this is Deadpool actually on an X team for the first time officially. And uh, their first mission was to find a young clone of Apocalypse, who we also know as Evan Apocalypse, or Evan Sabanur, if you prefer. 
And that series, that story arc ended where it was made to look as though Phantom X blew the kid's brains out, mm. but he didn't. And that's a, it's a wonderful, wonderfully fun story. Um, from here, Wolverine would then kill his son, Dak and Dagan, again. Uh, into Avengers versus X-Men. Now, have you ever read Avengers versus X-Men? I feel so bad. No, I, it's on my <laughs> list of things to read, but no, I have not read it yet. Well, that was partial. That's, written... that's about the, that's about Scott's kid, one of Scott's kids. It's about hope, yeah. And this is uh, this is, I think it was uh, four writers, twelve issues. So every writer got uh, three issues of this arc of this epic event here, and um, Brian Bendis was part of it. So those issues will probably take you about two minutes to read. So it's it's it won't <laughs> take you very long to get through it here. The gist of Avengers vs. X-Men is that the Phoenix was coming to Earth in order to take Hope Summers on as its new host. And again, Hope Summers is the first mutant born after M-Day. Not not literally Cyclops' daughter, but takes the name Summers. Um, she was kind of adopted by Cable and taken through time. There was a whole series about it. It's uh, It was a thing. Now, Wolverine would side with the Avengers because he's a prick. Um, <laughs> and the X-Men would go on to job very, very badly to the Avengers. Um, the Avengers would uh, basically come out of it smelling like a rose, and the X-Men looked like villains. Villains. Uh, the Phoenix came and split its essence between five characters, uh, Namor, uh, Magic, Colossus, Emma Frost, and Cyclops. And then, when it was just Cyclops left, he turned into Dark Phoenix Cyclops and killed Professor X. So, uh, don't worry, they're, they're all back. They're all back now. Uh, Avengers vs. X-Men would lead to the creation of something called the Unity Squad. Now, this was a mixed team of Avengers and X-Men, and we saw this play out in Uncanny Avengers. And uh, are you familiar with Uncanny Avengers? Yes. Okay, good, good. That was also Rick Remender who did the Uncanny uh, X-Force, which, again, wonderful, wonderful series. Um, now, Dak and Dakin was brought back uh, by uh, the Apocalypse Twins as... The Horseman, I can't remember which. I don't think it was Death. I think that was the Grim Reaper. But uh, I don't know which Horseman he was brought back as. But he was brought back as a uh, as a Horseman. Now, over in Wolverine and the X-Men, our hero would run into his half-brother, Dog Logan in the Savage Land, which is, again, a callback to Origin. And Dog would wind up escaping through time. From here, the Hellfire Academy would start. And this is the Cade Kilgore Hellfire Tots version. And uh, several of Wolverine's students would appear to defect over, but uh, not really. Logan was then depowered and had his ass kicked by Sabretooth. And this led to the opening arc of Amazing X-Men, where Wolverine and company went to heaven and hell. There, they fought Azazel, Nightcrawler's demonic daddy, and it's also where Nightcrawler came back to life. Melita, what's-her-face, would then release a book about Logan's life. And Wolverine would start up a relationship with Storm. Then he'd leave the X-Men to try to take down Sabretooth's budding criminal empire. While depowered, he'd run in with a herd of wild Wendigos, and Alpha Flight would pop in to help him take them down. Then, Dr. Cornelius, the guy from Weapon X, would try and create an army of adamantium-laced super soldiers, and uh, Wolverine, not keen on that, would destroy his lab, perhaps killing Cornelius in the process. Oh, and also having a vat of molten adamantium completely cover him and harden as seen in the Death of Wolverine miniseries. So yeah, this is where Wolverine died for a little while anyway. Don't worry, though. We'd still have a few Wolverines running around here. We have X-23, who is now using the Wolverine codename and costume. And Old Man Logan was now in our world uh, hanging out with the X-Men. So we had Wolverines, just not that Wolverine. Uh, 
Now, Mr. Sinister would go to steal Wolverine's uh, adamantium cocooned body, and the X-Men would steal it back. Kitty would phase Logan's body out of the shell. Later on, Persephone would resurrect him, and I have absolutely no idea what this is all about. I didn't read The Return of Wolverine. Her powers are resurrecting people from the dead. So I don't know why she's not more involved on Krakoa, since that is the whole gimmick now. Now, she wanted to use Wolverine to kill everybody on Earth so that she could resurrect everybody on Earth. He'd head to Central Park, where the X-Men were living at the time, but he would find the school destroyed and empty. And this is right after the weekly X-Men disassembled arc, where X-Men did the whole Age of X-Men thing. From here, Loki would nab him and use him in a hunt for the Infinity Stones, because of course he did. (laughs) And uh, Wolverine would rejoin what was left of the X-Men, which was basically just a recently resurrected Cyclops. It was just them two. Uh, The believed dead X-Men would eventually return, and then Krakoa happened. And now we're in the Hoxpox era, and, uh, well, if you've listened to the past 199 episodes of this program... You're pretty well up to date on uh, on Wolverine's happenings over the past couple of years. So what do we learn here, Mark? Um, we learned that if there's a debate over whether or not someone should die, Wolverine's always going to vote death. <laughs> <laughs> he killed Dakin again. Yeah, a lot of a lot of mita here, which. Um, is again, that's a no-go in the current era here. That is one of the three Krakoan laws. You cannot kill. So, uh, unless you're with X-Force, which Wolverine is part of. So, yeah, I guess he can kill. So, never mind. But uh, I, I was uh, I was taken aback here. And it's funny. I, I sometimes get a wild hair to try to better get um, post-2000 Wolverine. Because I... I Wolverine was one of those characters I was able to like kind of cite chapter and verse, you know, back in the day, because there just wasn't as much as there is now. And I mean, you talked about that Wolverine miniseries from, uh, I think it was 80, 84, 85, something, mid 80s, the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont one. In order to tell that story, they had a scene in an issue of Uncanny X-Men where Wolverine says, hey, I'm going to be leaving for a bit. And he didn't show up in the X-Men books for those four months. He just had his own side story. Editors actually cared about that stuff back then, where now any given week he's hanging out with Power Pack, the Runaways, the Avengers, the X-Men, X-Force. He's in Madripoor. He's in Otherworld, all in the same shipping week, the Savage Avengers, too. And uh, it's just uh, it's hard to keep track of everything. I remember there were. uh, Back on Usenet, uh, in the budding internet days here, you'd see websites that were trying to do basically what they used to do with the old Ohatmus, the uh, official handbooks here, where it's like they would tell you where appearances happen. You know, it's like, okay, you go from here to here to here. Next appearance of this character might not be in the next issue of this book. It might be, you know, two panels in Amazing Spider-Man. He just shows up there. But we had it in an order. It was all linear. And now, Lord only knows. Um because I have all of these books and every time I pick them up, it's like my head is going to pop. (laughs) It's just so much. And I don't know that there's a character who has had more retroactive continuity added to his, uh, to his career than Wolverine here. Um, Oh, I don't know. Captain America was retroactively made a Hydra agent, but that, but that was actually a, uh, like the cosmic cube did that. 
So, and that was like a a perversion of his real story here. It was very. Oh, that's what that ended up being. Because I remember, yeah, like, that was another one where people were ready story. to burn down Marvel comics. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We uh, when I when I came into Marvel, um, I, I mean, Captain Marvel was uh, Monica Rambeau, which I didn't think anything of. You know, it's mm. just like, oh, that's Captain Marvel. Where now, if they made that announcement, half of the uh, social media would melt down, and the other half would uh, yas queen it. It's uh, it's insane how we used to just take these things as stories and stories like comics don't really have much permanence to them. Uh, everything changes here. I mean, we, we just talked about how many versions of Wolverine here and how many stories were told and how many sometimes contradictory origins that were told here. And with a character like Wolverine, it almost works because you can you can lampshade it. It's like, oh, well, he has a Swiss cheese memory, so maybe this isn't real. You know, we uh, over on from Claremont to Claremont, we're looking at the uh, Shiva scenario, the um, the big lead up to what we were all led to believe was going to be Wolverine's origin. And we find out that they're memory implants. So it's like, okay, so you can tell these stories, which builds on the character of Wolverine here, because whether or not these experiences are implanted, he still thinks he experienced them. So they are part of his makeup. They're his experience in a way. So I, I think Wolverine is a great character for that. It's just now there's just so damn much of it that I couldn't tell you. I feel bad for the people who had to write this biome. I felt <laughs> bad for myself doing bullet points for it. So I couldn't imagine the what these guys had to go through in putting together this bio for the uh, the X of Swords handbook here, especially when so little of it actually informs X of Swords. I don't know why it was even necessary, except that Marvel wanted an extra five dollars from us completionists. But... All I can think about as you were talking about this, sure, between Wolverine, Deadpool, and Spider-Man, like the people who run Marvel Comics are just grasping at straws, and like if one thing hits, that has to be all the things. Yes, you know, A million percent. <laughs> And, and, and it's so funny because it's like you can't saturate your entire – I mean, here's the thing. And we talked about this when we talked about uh, uh, Man of Steel. <laughs> if, if they do a thing, even if, like, I think it's dumb and it works, I'll be quiet about it. Like, I'm not going sure. to complain about doing, X, you know, XYZ things if it results in more comic book sales in the long term. Sure. Because doing – because doing cheap heat for a momentary pop is just that, you know, it, you, you get your, you, know, you you spike your rating for one night and then it goes back down again, as we say in the TV business. <laughs> um, you know, you can't retain viewership, readership, whatever, you know, whatever your medium is. And and, and the question I have for you, because you follow this stuff better than I do, mm-hmm. did putting Wolverine, Deadpool and Spider-Man into every possible book that they could, to, you know, spreading them so thin so, 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 you know, you, you as a reader are like, you know, I, I have to now buy all of these books because my favorite, my, my three favorite characters are in everything. Did that actually result in any long-term sales growth? Not long-term, no. Okay. No, they, they would, uh, like, let's say Wolverine shows up in an issue of Runaways because he just did. I'm sure that those issues that Wolverine showed up in resulted in. A sizable, maybe not sizable, but a visible 
rise in sales. We don't get shipped figures anymore because the comics distribution market is just a mess right now. That's actually something I've been complaining about on the show for a little while now, where we can't actually gauge the data. There's no data to crunch. All we have is a list of uh, like the number one book of the month is this. Well, how many books did it ship? I don't know. We're not telling you. So all we know is that's number one. So it's like going back to like a Wizard magazine from 1993 where we had the top 300. But Lord help you if you want to know how many number 115 sold. It's, God, that's like that's like movies right now. I'm sure. You, know, you used to be able to get like weekend figures and everything Box else. Office, but, yeah. But, yeah. But like there's a whole reason why we revamped JMU Hollywood to where if we're doing a streaming movie, we don't there's we we do a news segment instead of money because there's no money to talk about. Certainly. Certainly. You know, and I can't tra- and I, I don't even get like you'll see stuff pop up on Twitter about. You know, this was the most watched movie on a particular streaming service of that weekend. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? I don't have any. You got to give yeah, me unless, numbers. Yeah, unless it sold more subscriptions to the service, which I mean, everybody has every service now. So it's like if you've got it, you're going to watch what's on it. So it's yeah, it's hard to do. It's very, yeah. very hard to do. And so like Wolverine shows up in Runaways. I'm sure that that issue of Runaways sold more than the issue before it. And right. unfortunately, it's going to sell more than the issue after it because retention won't be there. People right. are coming for Wolverine, and that's it. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not, I don't mind. Like, like I read um, when we did the Cloak and Dagger television show, we read the mm-hmm. Cloak and Dagger book, and like mm-hmm. Spider Man showed up in that. Okay, who sure. Cares? Like, I don't yeah. mind the guest appearances. Superman showed up in a Black Lightning. I get it. Yeah, I'm talking about like. Wolverine is in Savage Avengers. Wolverine is in Uncanny Avengers. Wolverine is in your mom's <laughs> Avengers. Wolverine is in X-Men. Wolverine's in Uncanny X-Men. Wolverine's in X-Men A through Z. What, like, all right. How many books is there going to be in monthly? You know, and then, of yeah. course, there's Deadpool, Gwedpool, Dead Visit, you know, <laughs> my neighbor's pool. <laughs> it's, there was, it's there was at one point, back in, like, the heyday of comics, there were four or five Spider-Mans. There was the Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> I could do this all day. Oh, amazing yeah, Sensational, Unlimited, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Web of. Yep. Todd McFarlane's. The adjectiveless, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes they had to do with each other, and sometimes they didn't. Yeah. And here's the thing, like, and, and that's why I asked you, like, does this ever result in, like, my impression based on talking to you and talking to some other people who follow comics is nothing they've done in the past 20 to 30 years has grown comic book readership. They've raised prices to go yeah. along with inflation and to go. It's like movie tickets. You know, mm-hmm. we've increased the size because we're fat asses. They've increased the size of chairs, which means there's less <laughs> seats, <laughs> which means ticket prices had to go up. There but you also, go. <laughs> but also, you know, inflation, and then there's other things, and this is why sure. it's $8 for a thing of popcorn. Um, <laughs> my point being that, you know, they could, you could give me a sales chart that says for the past 10 years, um, Marvel has increased sales exponentially every single year. But if there's a concurrent graph of individual books going up mm-hmm. in price then what you're saying is you didn't sell more books necessarily and make more money. You just increased the price of the book and that's how you made it up. Yeah. You're, you're basically milking whoever's left in the readership pool. Right. So you had a hundred million readers in 1980, but only 10 million in 1990, but the book now costs double. Sure. You probably still made money, but you didn't retain any readership and you didn't grow your industry at all. 
And I think that's my aggravation with like the Wolverine thing Mm -hmm. is if if putting Wolverine, if plastering Wolverine through all, all, all these books and all these stories and making such a huge deal out of this character resulted in the growth of the industry. I would not More have gone on this rant. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Clearly, y'all know what you're doing. You know. <laughs> but you know, what did it result in? I mean, I mean, it, it certainly didn't result in Fox being able to stay in business and retain ownership of the X Men franchise. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I don't. Because I mean, Wolverine, it's odd. Um, Wolverine is kind of looked at, and this is what little I can glean from our sales charts now is that. Wolverine, despite being a fairly horrid book, um, is <laughs> it's not great. Uh, there there are glimpses of greatness in it, but there there's a lot not to like in there as well. But um, it is the second highest selling X Men book, mm-hmm. and uh, like every single month, but the is only that like one Dynamite being, but is that like Dynamite being the number one wrestling program on Wednesdays? Well, I mean, the only one better in sales is X-Men, which mm-hmm. stands to reason, despite the fact that that's a pretty horrible book, too. But uh, it is uh, it's the flagship. So if I think the more casual uh, and better, well, more well adjusted in life, people are going to just like, oh, I want to read X-Men. I'm going to buy X-Men. They're not like me who has to buy all 500 books that come out a month. So I think X-Men is the one you go to if you want X-Men. But then right after that is Wolverine somehow. And it's just it's odd to me because, I mean, even Deadpool, uh, Deadpool does not sell well. Deadpool, believe it or not, is a low seller. It's on it's in the the lower half of uh, of really? 100. Yeah, it's odd. I would imagine you, that's because it's Deadpool's fans are 12 and they're not allowed to <laughs> buy his book. Five bucks a book. <laughs> and, and, and it's weird because Deadpool, despite having been around this current volume for like a year and a half now, only has 10 issues out. So like there feels like there's no real priority to to getting Deadpool books out every four weeks. It's very very bizarre. Though he does appear in in like skate 800 books a month, it's just very odd that his own book is uh is kind of just there and not. It's very very bizarre. But uh yeah this is uh this is Wolverine. Is there anything here that uh, contradicted what you thought you because I mean Marvel everything you thought you knew was wrong. Is there anything here that you thought you knew? That was wrong. No, no. I mean, it's you take it as you, you take it as it comes, right? It's uh, basically you. I could have, we could have read anything here and we would have believed it because it's Wolverine. Um, and I remember like in the '90s, any new character would show up, any new character, and like he'd lock eyes with Wolverine and be like, "Oh yeah, remember that time in 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 Shanghai?" It's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that." Yeah, it didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter what they were. It's like, "Oh yeah, you believed it because it's Wolverine knew everybody." He's something else to you. I, I, sure. I don't mean to cut you off. I apologize. No, no, you're good. Um, you think about like a TV show that you like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So television is a pretty linear thing. St- m- most television shows, things happen to a character. And outside of shows like Lost, which got a little wonky from what people tell me. And, yeah. you know, or maybe a show that at the very end goes off the deep end. But getting there was pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. By the time you get, you know, you get invested in a television show because like the stories are good. The characters are interesting and you want to see what happens to them. And as long as they can kind of keep the story somewhat straight, you know, there aren't too many bizarre twists and turns or retconning or anything else like that. Most people like I always, you know, like my go-to is always the wire, but like, I'll give you an even better one. The shield. Okay. 
Um, the Shield ran for I think five or six seasons, and it was a pretty straightforward thing. And you saw the sort of rise and fall of the Strike Team. Um, and by the, and by the time it was over, I remember being just very engrossed in the show and what was going to happen to Vic Mackey and his cohorts, because the show itself was pretty much like. You know, they didn't introduce things into the. They didn't introduce a sudden backstory to Vic Mackey that didn't coincide with anything they had done before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was no time travel that upset the thing. You know, none of that. Even and even like a show like Eureka, um, <laughs> where there was time travel and they kind of rebooted that show within continuity two and three times. <laughs> For the most part, you could still follow the show and they were still fun characters. I think like I think with Eureka they were like, this isn't working. Let's try this instead. But <laughs> my point is going back to like the Shield. And relating this to the, the comic books, I think people find, and, and and you talk to more comic people than I do, so maybe I'm I'm wrong about this, but I feel like when it comes to, to a character like Wolverine, it's very hard to stay invested in that character when, as the phrase you just used, everything you thought you knew about Wolverine is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, then why did I waste my time reading for the past ten years? Yeah. <laughs> why would I waste more time reading about? You're going to you're going to you know, we're going to re- I'm going to read about this character and then you're going to tell me, well, throw that all out the window because we made a pizza pie and, you know, mm-hmm. we did this and we did that. And that's not the only Wolverine. There are 900 other Wolverines and this Wolverine's making a cake. I'm like, Ugh, are you up? I, I would <laughs> rather you have so little time to dedicate to entertainment because we all have lives and bills and, Certainly. you know. Uh, families that we all need to attend to. And so there's only so much time you can spend. And I don't know if I want to spend it. I, I don't want to invest in a character who they can't keep straight. And That's I don't mean very, that. Very good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, if, if every five minutes the, there's something new about this character that wasn't previously, it's very hard to stay invested. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of my takeaway from, from this discussion and the Wolverine thing mm-hmm. is that in the hopes that, you know, in the hopes they'll sell more books, they keep telling all of these different stories and all of these stories contradict and they don't form a cohesive narrative. And I'm telling you, as a person who studies not just comics, but the entertainment medium and the history of it, they've done studies. And I know I've talked about this before. They've done studies that like toddlers will follow a tightly knit story. Sure. But if you just show them random incoherent images yeah, you will lose them entirely. Oh, and yeah, if you ever, need context, yeah. Yeah, and if you and if you've ever been around a toddler, it's really not that hard to lose them, but <laughs> but you can get them involved in things. Like you know, there was a reason why my kids would watch Disney Junior growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it captured their attention. They were able to watch. You know, for the twenty minutes that it was on. Um. So again. Think of, think of it this way. This will be the last thing. I'll shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> if you if you if you as a comic book publisher are just putting out random stuff and you're just saying just put Wolverine's face on there, it'll sell, it'll sell. You're you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. Pe- people get involved in comic books, television, and movies because they want good story. Mm-hmm. And if the story isn't there or the story is incoherent or it's constantly contradicting itself, you're going to lose people and they're going to move on to something that's better told. Because I'll tell you what, part of the reason why comic books, I think, have a hard time ma- maintaining readership is 
within the industry itself. I'm not even going to do an apples to oranges comparison. I'll do an apples to apples comparison. You're losing kids to manga. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like I my my daughter, I bring her into the comic book store and it's like, go pick out a comic book, any comic book you want. I am going to like shower you with money and books, (laughs) anything you want. Buy any book you want in the store. And she comes back with a handful of manga. Mm-hmm. My Hero Academia, yep. Yeah, My Hero Academia, Naruto, Demon mm-hmm. Slayer. I mean, you know, and then if we go to like Barnes and Nobles, I'm like, okay, here's the comic book section. Here's the young adult section. Here's the manga. And she, But before I got manga out of my mouth, she was gone. She's over there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a young niece who is the same way. Um, she, uh, she like likes looking at the comics that I have, but has absolutely no interest in actually picking one up and reading it. But, uh, but she'll do, uh, My Hero Academia. She'll do Naruto. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's, they are, and they're more affordable. You get more story and it's, it's so bizarre that kids are more attracted to a black and white book that they have to read backwards than (laughs) an American comic book now. And that is just a... A scary and sobering thought. Um, I'm, I'm sending you a picture on Twitter right now. Okay. Um, and and the, the context of this is she posed for that picture mm-hmm. and she was like, rawr, I'm Wolverine. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed hard at the hat. And then and she was like, hey, I have a question. And I'm like, OK. And she's like, is there a girl Wolverine? I'm like, yeah, X-23, as a matter of fact. She was like, OK, well, that I'd be interested in reading. So I actually bought her an X-23 trade that wasn't a million dollars. And I asked her like a couple of days ago, like, what'd you think of it so far? And she's like, yeah, I like it. Um, it's okay. But, you know, for the most part, my, my, my point still stands. Your industry is failing even within itself when you can't compete now with your Japanese competitors. It's true. It's very true. As uh, all I thought about while, uh, like how, well, first, um, we talked about, you know, keeping things straight, keeping stories linear here. And, uh, you know, going back to my time on Usenet, there used to be people who anytime an issue would come out, they would go over this issue with a comb and be like, OK, well, this doesn't match up with that. You know, this we're, we're talking about X, Uncanny X-Men number 301 right now. And they said something in here that kind of contradicts something that was said in X, Uncanny X-Men number 212. Like, that's how much we were invested and how much we cared about these stories. Now, nobody cares. But that's the thing is, you as a reader shouldn't have to put that much time and effort into it. Of course. You know who should? The fucking editors. (laughs) It's true. But it's... It's just the passion. They've actually killed the passion of the fandom, where Mm -hmm. it's really, really sad. And... Because I used to be one of those guys who was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, we, well, how how come their eyes were green here, but they were blue in this other, what, what, what's going on here? And duh, it's a coloring error, but we wanted to know. We we actually had long, long threads of like these little, little inconsistencies that people were trying to either no prize, you know, in the Marvel way, like, well, maybe she had contacts in or, oh, maybe they were just lying that time or, oh, you know, maybe maybe they tripped over their own feet and conked their head. You know, all these things just to kind of massage these inconsistencies in where now, I mean, we get spelling errors on the weekly basis, let alone continuity errors. And the readership, the same readership doesn't care. We don't even put the effort into being like, well, maybe this is what happened. We're just like, no, they just don't care anymore. And, and I uh, 
can I share with you um, kind of a tangential story, but like, tangentially related to what we're talking about? Um, it has nothing to do with Wolverine, but bear with me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you can cut this part if you want, but I, I need to. <laughs> can I can I just send you money and just talk to you for a minute? Uh, I need therapy. Um, <laughs> so you're aware of the Eternals movie that's coming out in November? I've heard it's a thing. Okay. So they announced the Eternals movie a while back. Um, when they, you know, when pre-COVID, pre-COVID, you know, when they were even, even, even before they formally announced phase four, because movies take time to develop, we knew mm-hmm. we were getting an Eternals movie and, you know, and then there was a long line of casting because it's a huge cast apparently in this thing. So it's like Angelina Jolie and Salma Hayek and, you know, and then we, they got the guy from Game of Thrones to play the Black Knight, which no one saw coming because what the fuck does the Black Knight have to do with the Eternals? Um, <laughs> that sort of thing. Anyway, so. We've known this was coming for a while, and in the, and in the chat that I keep for organizing podcasts, occasionally we don't talk about organizing podcasts. We talk about random number of things. There's mm-hmm. also a separate chat that's just exclusively for us to talk about Marvel stuff um, without other people who tend to hate the Marvel movies in that chat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so between these two different chats that I'm in, the Eternals movie has come up more than once. Okay, and every time it comes up. There's always somebody that says that movie's gonna bomb. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, new, there's new Eternals news. Hey, there's new Eternals news. Someone counters with that movie's gonna suck. That movie's gonna bomb. <laughs> I bring that up because it's happened at least a dozen times now. <laughs> and, Guardians of the Galaxy. Everybody thought that was gonna bomb. Well, hang on. Let me get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, at one point, there was a conversation and I said, look, for a couple of things you need to understand, nothing in phase three did less than $600 million. These yeah. on average are $200 million movies. So as long as they make double that between four and 500 million, these are considered They're wins. Considered, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two movies that made less than uh, 700 million, I think were Dr. Strange and Ant-Man and the Wasp in phase three, everything else was you know may I, I think actually either made north of 700 million or north of a billion dollars gotcha avengers endgame made two made almost three billion Please. all right so my argument my counter argument to the i i did not touch the it's gonna suck thing because a that's very subjective of course and b like we don't I, know anything I, about it <laughs> right i at that point we hadn't even seen it i'm going somewhere with this we hadn't <laughs> seen the teaser yet okay yet <laughs> all we got were <laughs> casting and still images that's it. And I'm like, I can't base, you know, my thoughts on a movie just on that. But I said, financially, Marvel has a lot of Marvel has a lot of goodwill. This isn't Warner Brothers we're talking about or Sony. OK, mm-hmm. who have, you know, uh, you know, or the Fox franchises that are now back under Marvel, where mm-hmm. there's a long history of, you know, you have fan four stick, which went in the toilet, you know, and destroyed a lot of fan goodwill. You have the Fox fran- you have the Fox X-Men franchises, which. Chris, I don't know if you get sad reading the comics, but you should see the last couple of X-Men movies. <laughs> um, make you positively suicidal. Um, it's horrible. Like, so, you know, one, you know, the Justice League stuff, all of those have trashed fan goodwill. Marvel sure. has kept it up. Mar- yeah. You know, people still, like, when you say Marvel, people still have positive feelings. And the thing about the movies is, when you have goodwill, people will come. People will come and check it out. 
because again, the majority of the world is not made up of comic book readers. The majority no. of the world is made up of casual people. Certainly. Who are just looking for, you know, a night on the town. They want to go out with their girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, and, and go see a fun movie. They're not thinking about this, you know, and then they go to work the next day and they talk about it with their buddies around the water cooler. And then that's it. It's out of their mind. They're mm -hmm. not like us that are sort of deep diving into these things. You know what I mean? Sure. Okay. So I said it'll probably make north of $600 million because that's the base at, uh, at Marvel at this point, And that would still be considered a success for Marvel Studios, especially yeah. for a unknown first known property. Fast forward to yesterday. Okay. <clears throat> They drop a trailer, a, a teaser. Now, the, a teaser is a shorter, it doesn't tell you anything about the story. It's kind of like a sizzle reel. It's kind okay. of like, hey, here's some clips of the movie, and they're usually about a minute long. Like a full trailer is two to three minutes, usually, sometimes <laughs> even a little bit longer. Gotcha. And especially modern trailers now, you get almost like everything you need to know about this movie. <laughs> um, to the point where, like, some people, like, I, I don't even want to go see this now. I know what's going to happen. Sure. But a teaser is just, you know, it's just a little bit. It's a, a few clips here and there. It's, you know, maybe a cool image or two. And then, bam, that's it. It's done. It's a, it's a minute or less. Mm -hmm. They showed a teaser, a teaser, a teaser of the Eternals movie. And both my chats just filled up with this movie's going to tank. Here's the thing. And this is what <laughs> I'm getting to. Okay, big build up to this point. The argument was. Jack Kirby's Eternals sucked. It was a ripoff of the New Gods. Nobody read it. Nobody's reading it now. No one knows who they are. No one's going to see this movie. And I went, ah! <laughs> First of all, talking tree movie, okay? <laughs> now, granted, granted, that had a fun soundtrack you know, and it was in the midst of Marvel already building up its goodwill. So people were like, well, I'll check out the Talking Tree movie and the Raccoon movie that has the sure. fun music that I enjoy. Sure. <laughs> I like Chris Pratt. I've seen him in The Office. <laughs> and it, you know, and it makes, uh, you know, a zillion dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's always like the big, like, bellwether for, oh, my God, Marvel can put any piece of shit out and it'll make money. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But, and so I, I, my, my counter argument to them was nobody reads comic books. Nobody. Okay? <laughs> nobody knows what the, the Eternals are. They know who Angelina Jolie is, though. They know who Selma Hayek is. They know who Kit Harrington is. Mm -hmm. They will go see it because it's Marvel, recognizable uh, actors. And that's, you know, and the week that it's coming out, nothing is competing with it. So people, so people go to the movies on the weekends. They're going to mm -hmm. go see whatever the big new big hit what movie the new is. One is. Yeah. That's the one that is. This went on for hours. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> hours, Chris. It went on for hours. And people kept kept defaulting back to, but no one likes the new gods. And I'm like, no one cares. No one, the new gods. Yeah, no one likes the Eternals. <laughs> I'm like, nobody cares. They should have just called it the Marvels. Oh, wait, they're already doing that. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Captain Marvel two is the Marvels. Oh, get okay, it? Okay. Captain yeah. Marvel, um, plural. <laughs> Ms. Marvel and whatever the whatever the black one was, whose whose name? Oh, was Photon. Yeah. Photon. Yeah. Monica Monica Rambo. Yeah. Yeah. So because there's multiple Marvels in there, get it? The Marvels. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so related to Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, nobody reads comics, and that's dwindling every day. It's true. It's true. Um, uh, the one thing when reading this bio and taking notes on it, I just wondered, like, could there even possibly be a new reader anymore? Like, if you need five pages of very, very small print to tell the story of a character in a way that I'm pretty sure contradicted itself two or three times in these pages alone, <laughs> how is there any hope for the longevity of um, of anything? Because had I not been invested in these characters for over three decades now, I don't know that... Reading this, like, say, you know, the Exoswords event was, it got a lot of, uh, well, it got a bit of hype, you know, it was like, it was a thing, you know, it was like, check this out. This is the big story of the season. It's supposed to be a summer story. COVID pushed it back. So it was a fall story. And we, I don't know if we had anything else running concurrently with it. So it was like the thing to get at Marvel, the Exoswords thing. There were several books every single week for a long, long time. There was, there was 22 parts. So you want to get in on that because you want to you're interested in the x-men you you've heard good things about it and so you pick up this handbook as a way to you know kind of dip your feet in get your feet wet and get a foundation for everything that's going to come here well there are 12 characters in this book one of them doesn't show up in x attends at all uh that's the one that uh, me and evan are talking about brew doesn't show up in the thing at all i don't know why he has a a three-page profile in here it is so difficult for i mean it's hard to get people's attention to read a comic book period to get them to read essays basically glorified wikipedia entries that still don't make much sense because they're not written as like an encyclopedia they're written in a more narrative casual sort of way so they're kind of like you're talking to a comics expert who's like, oh, yeah, well, then then this happened and then this happened. And oh, then they, then he met with this guy and they did this thing. And I just don't understand how I, I, I do understand why they did it. They wanted an extra five dollars. But I couldn't imagine being a new reader coming into this and being like, oh, OK, I got Wolverine now. In defense of this, and this is sort of a backhanded defense. So I so. You know, you asked me to do one of these with you, and I said, Wolverine, that's as, that's as good as it's going to get for me, because if there's any character I know of the mutants, it's going to be that one. Mm -hmm. But if you were just doing Marvel in general, I'd have done the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about a character's bio that'll get you cross-eyed? <laughs> yep. Gray Hulk, dumb Hulk, grayer Hulk, gray Hulk from Vegas, yep. the Professor... You know, mm -hmm. the Savage Hulk, Maestro. It just goes on and on and on and on. How many times has Hulk been depowered and repowered and murdered and brought back to life? Oh, many, many, many times. And then there's Korean Hulk. So <laughs> there, yeah, we have Amadeus Cho, yep. It is wild. It is wild. And I think the uh, the thing we learned most about doing this uh, this segment here is just like, there's a lot of information out there. And... um. Not much of it has to do with the uh, X of Swords event. I don't know how much of it you would need besides the fact that once Wolverine wielded the Muramasa blade. And that was one sentence out of these five pages. But I'm glad we read them because uh, I got to say the, the word Romulus more times than I think I've ever said it in my life. <laughs> and we had to, we got to have a very fun conversation about the health and decline of the industry, which is always a... Uh, 
which which takes me back to uh, my discussions with Reggie because we would do this several times a week, <laughs> talk about how when you know we're you know comics aren't going to be around forever and uh, and I got to rant about people constantly saying the internals is going to bomb when, when there's no evidence to that none absolutely none absolutely none when is that coming out anyway November beginning November. of November is that going to be a streaming thing too or is that just going to be theaters are we going to be back in business by by then uh you know Chris about a month ago I would have said oh it's definitely going to be just just movies but. Mm-hmm. They they not only pushed Black Widow from May to July, but then they made a day and date Disney Plus. So okay. if you if you understand what I mean by day and date Disney Plus, um, sorry Disney Premium Plus, uh, that is shorthand for it's going to be in theaters, but you'll also but be able to pay per view basically. Yeah, but you'll Disney also Plus. be able to buy it through Disney Plus for an extra thirty bucks. Now do you get to keep it? Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's that's not too terrible, I guess. Um, if you want. Yeah. Then they left Cruella on May 28th, um, and that's day and date Disney Plus as well. Uh, and then there was another announcement that Jungle Cruise, uh, which is the uh, movie starring The Rock and Emily Blunt, which also uh, which is based on the ride, another one of those deals. Okay. That comes out July. The Caribbean thing. Yeah. Okay. That comes out July 30th, and now that's day and date Disney Plus too. Now Free Guy is, uh, I believe, it was originally a Fox movie. That's now owned by Disney. That's currently just theaters. Okay. Um, Shang-Chi is currently just theaters, just with a smaller window. Mm-hmm. So presumably Eternals will also will also follow Shang-Chi um, in being just solely theaters with a shorter window. I'm going to bring up a chart for you real quick. So Marvel Phase 1 is Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers. Let's just talk worldwide, okay? Mm-hmm. So coming out of the gate, right... Uh, on a $140 million budget, Iron Man 1 makes $585 million worldwide. Okay. The Incredible Hulk, which is, this is in the shadow of the Ang Lee Hulk and not the most popular character, does $264 million. Iron Man 2, now sequel, now a little bit of cachet, a little well-known property, people like uh, Robert Downey Jr., $623 million. Mm-hmm. Thor, who at the time in 2011 with a relatively unknown Chris Hemsworth, Four hundred and forty-nine million. Mm-hmm. Captain America, not a particularly not a particularly popular ca- uh, character in the mainstream, right? He's no Wolverine. Sure, makes three hundred and seventy million. Mm-hmm. The Avengers, a billion. There you go. A billion five. Okay. Phase two, Iron Man three, a billion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thor: The Dark World, which nobody liked, six hundred million. <laughs> Captain America: The Winter Soldier, arguably the best Marvel movie ever made. 700 million. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, almost 800 million. The Avengers, once again, makes a billion dollars. <laughs> and Ant Man, which was in development hell, had two different directors, was kind of a Frankenstein's monster of a movie with a relatively unknown character, 500 million. Mm-hmm. Do you see why I get irritated with people? <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> chats with people I communicated with on comic which is say I hope it bombs great I've said stuff sure. like that too I have no counter argument to that I hope a lot of things do badly because <laughs> I want them to go away I get I, it I, I want these X-Men comics to sell better <laughs> but they don't um, but it's never that it's never I want it to bomb or I don't like it it's mm-hmm. always it's going to bomb it's no going. one will see it and it's like there's no evidence to that none 
No, and, and there's actually almost evidence to the contrary. I mean, or there is evidence to the contrary. So yeah, it's a it's a wild thing. And uh, <laughs> I'm I'm getting off my pedestal now. <laughs> it's all good. But uh, while while you're here, how about you tell people where they can find you on this uh, worldwide internet? Oh, I absolutely will. On any one of your podcatchers, um, we are the W2M Network. My particular section of it is the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. So um, if you go into your podcatcher, whether it's iTunes or uh, Stitcher or Spotify or Amazon. iHeartRadio, Google Play. Yeah, it's uh, it's W2M Network, the letter W, the number two, letter M, Network. Um, it's a black logo with red, with uh, a red W, red M, and a kind of te- uh, teal aqua two. If you go, if you want to go to our site directly, it's on Spreaker. We are Spreaker.com/slash/wrestling to the max. It's what this used to be before it expanded into all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. We are on YouTube. We're anywhere you can find us. My, uh, again, my particular section is the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. And if you want to write to me directly on Twitter, or if you want to find my specific podcast. Um, mine are all on the uh, are on my personal Twitter, which is uh, at Mark Rattledge, M-A-R-K-R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. And you can also go to the, the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network Facebook page. Um, it's Facebook.com slash Rattledge in Rattledge, R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H in broadcasting. Our schedule of the 97 shows we do per week are up there. Mm-hmm. All the individual shows are up there. So it's a good place to get started. Um, or like I said, just go into your podcatcher, type in W2M Network, and you will see all of our shows. Um, I don't know when this is going up, but if you see things like Damn You Hollywood and TV Party and Metal Hammer of Doom, that's all me. That's all my stuff. Very, very cool. And all these links will be included in the show notes here. All the Twitter handles, all that good stuff will all be there. So if you don't have a pen right now, and you, you probably don't, so you don't have to worry about uh, rushing to grab one. So they'll all be there, clickable, hopefully, if I figure out how to do that. And uh, you'll be able to tune into all these wonderful programs. But I think that'll do it for Wolverine. I, I think that's who we were talking about. But uh, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for uh, for sharing some time with me today and chatting up this very, very prolific character. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Sorry I went on a rant. Any, any time. Any time at all. <laughs> well, if you made it this far, thank you so, so much. And I'm going to try not to start this segment with the word alrighty. Uh, that's one of my, uh, one of my uh, segmented show ticks. it seems. Every time I hit record and start chatting with somebody, it, uh, it's just an alrighty and then into the subject. So despite the fact that I just said it like two or three times, let's pretend I didn't. Right now, we are talking about the final, uh, the final offering of the Exosaurus Handbook here, and this is, well, the all-encompassing X-Men segment. So, I mean, we all know who the X-Men are, but uh, for completion's sake, let's go through the bio here. Now, the X-Men were founded by Charles Xavier, who devoted his life to peaceful coexistence between humans and mutants. Now, he would be approached by Maura McTaggart during her tenth life. This is, you know, retcons here, right? She allowed him to read her mind, which told him everything about her previous nine lives and the fact that uh, the mutants never seem to win, right? The mutants are always destined to lose. In secret, Xavier and Moore would plan for the establishment of a mutant nation. Not, you know, not that mutant nation or any other number of mutant nations we've seen over the years. This one is Krakoa, you know. 
uh, they would also each select a partner with whom they could parent Omega-level mutants, which is something I was completely unaware of. I'm not sure if that was made like totally clear during um, the uh, Hoxpox story, or if I maybe just glossed over it. Uh, that's an interesting little addition there. Now, of course, Xavier and Gabriel Haller would have Legion, and uh, Mora and Joe McTaggart would parent Proteus. Mora would pose as a human for the entirety of this life, as she feared it might be her last, and, you know, posing as a human would, uh, in theory, keep her a little bit safer. Meanwhile, Professor X would assemble the original five, Cyclops, Beast, Angel, Iceman, and Marvel Girl. In their first outing, they would do battle with Magneto at Cape Citadel, as we covered back in uh, Essential X-Lapsed Episode 1, where we took a look at X-Men number 1. The original five would be approached by a, uh, well, older and furrier (laughs) version of Hank McCoy. He would bring them into the future with hopes uh, that they might be able to uh, settle Cyclops' tea kettle a little bit. Now, of course, this is post-AVX, post-Dark Phoenix Scott stuff, post-Xavier Killer Scott. Now, after what felt like forever in the present, the time-displaced original five were returned to the exact moment they had left. Marvel Girl had put a mental block on them, so none of them would remember their adventures in the, to them, far future and until they got to an appropriate time in the, uh, in the time loop or whatever. Now, we did discuss this at length during the x Lapsination series of shows. After returning the time-replaced original five, plus Havoc and Polaris, they'd be sent to find a new mutant who was believed to be living on the island of Krakoa, but actually turned out to be the island of Krakoa, and they'd be captured. Now, Mora had a uh, foursome of mutant students at this time, and so she and Xavier sent them to Krakoa to rescue the originals. This, of course, is the deadly Genesis team, Vulcan, Petra, Sway, and Darwin. They would be unsuccessful. Then, giant-size X-Men. Xavier would assemble the new international team, consisting of Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, Thunderbird, Banshee, and Sunfire, and they would rescue the team and wind up sending Krakoa into space. Uh, For more on Krakoa's story, uh, well, refer back to the Krakoa segment, I suppose. Now, Marvel Girl would be exposed to radiation, and at the same time would start exhibiting some amazingly powerful abilities. This led to many believing that she had evolved into the Phoenix, Though, in reality, she was actually in a suspended animation cocoon deep in Jamaica Bay. So I guess that's the story we're going with now. I swear, they they change this about every time it's mentioned, right? It's like, sometimes it's that story, sometimes she's Phoenix, sometimes she's not. It's, I don't know, I guess we're going with with the old retcon now, not instead of the (laughs) several new ones we've gotten. Now, the Phoenix Force would impersonate Jean, would go Dark Phoenix, and would kill the Asparagus Aliens and, in order to save reality, took its own life. The X-Men, and the creative team, of course, thought this was the real Jean Grey's final bow. Then, Don't Dare Call Me Kate joins the team. We get a little bit of new information here, peppered in from Hoxpox. Um, Xavier and Mora would approach Magneto. They fill Magnus in on Mora's uncanny lives and their plans for mutant kind survival. Now, Magneto would agree with them, but would still fall back into his villainous ways every now and again. The New Mutants would be introduced as the next generation of X-Men, which, uh, 40 years later, we're still waiting to see bear fruit. Uh, Rogue joins the X-Men. X-Factor is formed when it's discovered by the Avengers and Fantastic Four that Jean Grey still lives. This would reunite the original five under the guise of mutant hunters, when, in actuality, they were locating young mutants and trying to keep them safe while training them to effectively use their powers. From here, apparently, absolutely nothing happened 
in the entire X-Men lore until Mora faked her own death via the legacy virus. So, um, yeah, the 1990s didn't happen. Uh, it looks like we're omitting like 20 years of lore here. It's pretty ridiculous. Now, Krakoa would return to Earth, and for some reason, the handbook tells us again how Betsy Braddock was in Quinan's body at some point. And I know it's a running joke here, but I'm not joking, I promise you. It might sound like I am, but I, I assure you, they do mention this again. Uh, I recently put together an X-Lapsed bingo card that I shared on the Facebook group here, where every square except the middle one says, Betsy Braddock once occupied Quinan's body. Because uh, if you were to tick it off, even one box at a time, you'd be getting bingo pretty regularly. Uh, the center square is Quentin Quired dies, which, I mean, you could just mark off at any point in time. From here, we jump into the Morrison era. Cassandra Nova would slaughter 16 million mutants during the genocide of Genosha. Uh, then, nothing else happened for the Morrison run until the very end, where Jean Grey dies. And uh, this would actually be her first death, despite the fact that people always joke about how Jean always dies, which, uh, I mean, she, she doesn't. You know, she wasn't dead that first time. Uh, from here, Scarlet Witch's No More Mutants boner. Uh, the mutants were winnowed down to 198. Kitty Pride gets stuck in a bullet, which I'm guessing we're only mentioning because that was a contribution of uh, bulletproof genius Joss Whedon. Cyclops would form the mutant nation of Utopia using, uh, you know, Asteroid M, which would uh, sink to, uh, to Earth here. Cyclops would assemble X-Force as a black ops team. And Magneto would grow to respect Cyclops and his desire for mutant kind to survive. Uh, Forget-Me-Not actually gets a mention here. Okay. Uh, Cloak and Dagger would briefly join up until Marvel decided that they weren't mutants anymore. I don't know why we'd care about this. Then Necrotia happens. The whole thing with Selene and the, the virus or the techno-organic whatever is that brought the uh, characters back to life. Uh, some briefly, some forever. It would be revealed that Magneto was secretly working with Namor in order to erect a pillar under Utopia in order to keep it afloat. The Atlanteans would live around the pillar, which would bring the two races a little bit closer. Kitty comes back. Hope Summers is born, the first post-M-Day mutant birth. Cable would eventually take and raise her through the future, but first, a big ol' battle that saw the X-Men get pretty well-wrecked. They'd emerge victorious, but not without taking their licks. Cyclops' X-Force would be discovered, and uh, many of the X-Men would be displeased. Hope would return from the future as a young adult. Cable would be thought dead. We'd see more new mutants emerge. We had the, uh, the lights, the five lights. They'd appear in Generation Hope, which was the uh, Hope's team book. The X-Men would get a PR woman, Kate Kildare, in order to help improve their public image. Okay, so we skipped the entirety of the 1990s. But we mentioned Kate Kildare? Are you serious? Why? I mean, maybe a thing or two happened in the 1990s, in the late 80s, right? I mean, Inferno, uh, Extinction Agenda, Executioner Song, The Age of Apocalypse, Onslaught. I mean, we had some pretty big stories there, but no, we, we jump all over those and make sure to give a couple of sentences to Kate friggin' Kildare. Who wrote this? Um... From here, mutants vs. vampires, which sucked. Uh, then magic and the Nagari, which we already discussed in the magic segment. Cyclops would assign the new mutants to cold cases, which we discussed during the cipher segment. Then during the Chaos War, many dead X-Men and associates rose from the grave, including Maura McTaggart. Whoops. 
And uh, yeah, this is the second time in only a few years where they pulled this sort of Rise from the Dead gimmick. Then we had Age of X, which we already discussed. Then Schism, which we've already discussed a few times, in which Cyclops forms his extermination team, Wolverine forms the Jean Grey school, they have their you know, philosophical uh, debate over whether or not... Uh, we've talked about this. Uh, Hope and Cyclops discover the Cable was still alive, and this led to the X-Sanction miniseries, which was a sort of kind of lead-in to Avengers vs. X-Men. The Phoenix would return to Earth, and thanks to some Tony Stark hoodoo, would splinter into five bits. It would go on to possess Cyclops, Colossus Magic, Emma Frost, and Namor, who was uh, now playing nice with the X-Men. Storm's marriage to the Black Panther was voided during the war when Namor flooded Wakanda, killing thousands. Hope and the Scarlet Witch were able to drive the Phoenix Force away, only after Cyclops went Dark Phoenix and murdered Professor X. Now, this would serve to reignite the mutant gene, and so mutants would begin showing up with a little bit more frequency. Post-AVX, we have the Unity Squad. This is Uncanny Avengers, a uh, mix of Avengers and X-Men together with Havoc in charge. Uh, the remnants of the Extinction Team would bust Cyclops out of prison, and then they'd free Emma Frost as well. This was when Beast went back in time to the uh, young original five to bring them to the present in order to try and maybe knock some sense into Scott, or at least maybe scare him straight, I don't know. Uh, the original five would remain in the present for, well, far too long. Wolverine dies. Then Axis. The X-Men were turned evil, but then got better. Xavier's will is read because he is dead, of course, and he turns out he left everything to his murderer, Cyclops. Cyclops decides to sign everything over to Storm in order to keep the uh, Jean Grey school open, and he'd even go so far as to eventually send all of his new students to the Jean Grey school to, uh, to attend and to learn. Cyclops would hold a uh, peaceful display of mutant pride in Washington, D.C., then Secret Wars and the Terrigan Bomb. Now, the Terrigan Mists would kill Cyclops, which uh, we didn't find out for, like, months and months and months of nebulous and uh, just plain bad storytelling. IVX happens, and, uh, no. Uh, the Jean Grey School is moved to limbo by magic in order to protect the mutants from the lethal mists. Old Man Logan joins the team. Medusa would destroy the Terrigan Mist Cloud, saving Earth from mutants, but uh, failing to show us that we had any reason to care about the Inhumans, so we still don't. Storm turned over the leadership of the X-Men to Kitty Pride. The mansion would relocate to Central Park. This is, of course, the Blue and Gold era. Jean Grey returned from the dead in Phoenix Resurrection, which we discussed in our Phoenix Resurrects Lab series, and then X-Men Red happens. Havoc would start up a team that appeared in Astonishing X-Men volume whatever the hell it was. Uh, Wolverine's back. Wolverine comes back. Then Kid Cable kills Old Man Cable, sends the time-displaced original five back to their rightful time. Then Age of X-Men. Then Krakoa. And uh, we've spent 199 episodes talking about everything that's happened since Krakoa, so uh, we probably don't need to go too deep there. So, I mean, what did we learn here? Basically the same thing we've learned in covering all 12 of these entries here And it's, a uh, Marvel has, uh, certain things they want us to remember And certain things they really don't care if we remember So, uh, this one in particular I mean, leaving out great big swaths of history here Um, I mean, the entirety of the late 80s into the 1990s Through the 1990s is not mentioned And, uh, I think that that's, uh it's a bit disrespectful considering just what an influx of fans to the X-Men came in around that time, right? 
the second half of the 80s, you know, Claremont was firing on all cylinders here, still coasting on on a lot of goodwill that was built up in the, you know, first half of his run here. So people were still flocking to the X-Books. They were still the top sellers. They were still big into the 90s, right? The Jim Lee stuff, the uh, X-Men Volume 2 sold, you know, 8 million copies. You gotta assume a lot of new people came in there. Then you had the cartoon that showed up a, a year and change later that, that brought in a whole new group of fans, the action figures, who, you know, people were just huge onto these X-Men books here, and they didn't even give it a mention. But again, don't don't forget who the, the X-Men's PR manager was, right? So silly. So silly. But uh, I feel like I could probably go a lot deeper into the X-Men's history here. I mean, any of us could, right? But I'm trying to use this handbook as a, uh, a one-and-done, you know? Um, because if you buy a handbook, and I think we've probably said this several times throughout this uh, 12-hour episode to this point, if you put out a handbook, um, you shouldn't need to go to Wikipedia to, to fill in information. A handbook should be... It should tell you what you need to know. And it shouldn't leave things out. Uh, it should maybe not mention little things like, you know, Kate, uh, Kate Kildare or whatever it was being the BR manager. And I, I'm, I apologize if I'm, har- if I'm harping on that. But it just struck me as a bit wrongheaded. It's like... We're going to focus attention on certain bits that don't matter. And I mean, the, the 90s stuff doesn't matter as far as X of Swords is concerned, but neither does the PR manager. So why not mention the stuff that some of us will actually remember fondly rather than a one-off? I don't know. But I think we're done here. <laughs> I've, I've taken up a whole lot of your time here, so... Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. So uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me, if you made, made it this far, first, thank you so, so much. Um, if you'd like to get a hold of me, talk about anything we covered here on the show uh, from beginning to end. I mean, going all the way back to the first episode and even before that. Any X stuff you'd like to discuss, I am ready, willing, and able to talk about... Well, just about anything. So feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. So you can find us there. Uh, for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our group is 90sXmen. And for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. It's available anywhere you find noise on the internet. And if you dig what you hear there, at least appreciate the effort that goes into it, uh, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, all that stuff that I say pretty much every day. Now, uh, one more giant thank you to everyone who was involved in putting together this episode. I know it was a long time coming. Like I said at the start, this was supposed to be episode 112, well, it's uh, 88 episodes later, <laughs> and uh, thank you all for your patience and uh, putting up with me during my uh, tumultuous move that is still not done yet. So thank you all, and thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to everyone who's ever reached out. Thanks to everyone who's ever, you know, clicked that little heart on social media when I send something out. It, uh, it means more to me than I think uh, I can adequately put into words. So thank you all so much for sharing so much of your time with me, several days' worth of your time with me, uh, perhaps. Uh, it really just it means the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But with all that said, I will let you finally 
get on with the rest of your day. <laughs> Until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh